We who are about to die salute you. How's it going, everybody? It's Chris and Chris with Murituri Monday, episode 13, otherwise known as season two, episode two. And uh, hey, we made it two weeks in a row. How about that? We didn't do too bad. You know what I'm really disappointed in, though, Chris? I'm disappointed with the start of our show. Hmm. You know why? You didn't play the MASH thing like you said you were last episode. I know, I know. And people, I, need, I, a, people need a taste of how that, <laughs> that epic <laughs> song would have introduced this moratory show and I, now I will, <laughs> I will put it on the end of this episode <laughs> i i actually i i exported it out last week and as it's exporting i'm like oh crap i forgot to put that in there and then i check and i already i already dumped the raw audio and i'm like oh man i gotta i'll either have to like try to stitch the music out that i put in and put the mash on the top of it or i eh, will just do it next time so this week oh. Great. We will have the MASH theme as our outro music here. So uh, no uh, no weird song from Rent that uh, that nobody's guessed why we used. I, 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 there's a very, very important reason why we use that song, and nobody's guessed. So uh, I, I, I don't know what the point is. What, what is the reason? Okay. Uh, well, well you know, if you're familiar with the song, it's counting down the minutes, seconds of a year. You know, five oh. that, 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 uh, of a year. So these Morituri here, in case you guys don't know, once they undergo the process, they might mention this once or twice an episode <laughs> or an issue. Uh, they are doomed to die within one year. So, uh, so that I, is I'm, the significance of the Rent song. I am finding that out along with our faithful listeners. <laughs> and it took me to episode two, season two, to understand. I just thought it was just a very nice, relaxing, mellow outro. But now it's a multitasker. It's a multitasker. So uh, there is that. Um, now, before we get into our regular stuff here, I, I do want to thank everyone for the very warm reception to our return. Um, we know we kept you guys hanging for several months. And... Uh, the reception we got from coming back was uh, was more than we could have hoped for. It was uh, very nice. Uh, everybody was very happy to hear from us again. And it uh, feels like we picked up right where we left off. So that was uh, wonderful. And uh, we thank you all so, so much for that. Uh, uh, sometimes, uh, <laughs> you know, if we disappear for a bit, it's like we come back and then we just start clogging people's, uh, you know, pod podcast queues. And they're just like, oh, these guys are back. What they, who, who do they think they are? They had, a, my, uh, they had a break, but we brought it back, brother. We did indeed. I, I do have to say, I would like to say one thing about the reception as well. You know, Certainly. just to just to know that people... Uh, you know, really, really appreciate us coming back, and we really appreciated all the comments as well. So, Certainly. to all the folks out there, the Jody Yardens and the Green Lantern, and everybody else who's out there who uh, who left us a comment, Joe thank Cabrera, you, number yeah. one. Yeah, Joe Cabrera, mm-hmm. awesome. You know, we really, really, really appreciate you guys listening every single week. So, thank you yeah. for that. And boy, we have a good time recording this. And I wish you heard the first two minutes of this show. <laughs> 
because uh, maybe maybe one day Chris will will drag that out of the archives. But, Probably uh, not. <laughs> for, but, uh, fair enough. <laughs> now, before we before we go into our uh, our recruit update here, you, my friend, you made an error last week. Oh. I, I remember I, I, I saw you you actually filmed yourself beating yourself upon the back with a Captain Lou Albano LJN action figure because it's the heaviest one. And I was wondering why you were punishing yourself so badly. And you said that you made an error that you just can't live with. And I wanted to offer you this platform as an opportunity to apologize to our listeners. I accidentally said during our new universe discussion that Mark Grunewald was over kickers. Mark Grunewald had nothing to do with kickers whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was actually DP7. Yes. It was Mr. Tom DeFalco who was actually over on kickers. So my apologies, you know, to all those new universe folks out there who uh, who were hanging off my every word and was like, this guy doesn't know anything. God damn it. <laughs> and and of course to Tom DeFalco, we wouldn't want we wouldn't want anyone else to uh, to get the credit for that. No, so no no Tom no Tom, we really need to make sure you get credit for Kickers Inc. Man, <laughs> we re- you really need to live that shirt every day, brother. <laughs> So so yes, that is our that's our corrections department. <laughs> and, uh, I suppose now we can uh, we can go right into our uh, recruit update. Oh yes, why not? So let's dive right into the middle of it. So last week we actually saw the very demise of Flash Forward, who exploded into a a, a capsule and got kicked out the side door while our other recruits uh, were escaping the horde. So and also Lockshot, who we thought was dead actually survived so two of them are barreling down the road but we're going to catch up with our other teams so we're going to catch up with the red watch and our other displaced recruits in a parallel universe um we have recruits dreamscape splinter red and med all of which are surrounded by a seemingly fully deceased members of the original black watch and future versions of strike force leader harold everson hmm so if you if you didn't know that we had three guys who jumped to a parallel universe to escape the horde, and they met up with the original Black Watch and a seemingly very much alive Viking slash Harold Everson. So we really haven't got to the bottom of it, but I guarantee you today you'll get the gist. Anyway, days have passed now. All men are healed up from their battle wounds with the horde. Med is actually in a private meeting and has been debriefed by Harold on happenings on this Earth, this 1987 Earth. And, uh, you know, with the with the HQ attack and their subsequent subsequent escape to this reality, uh, you know, he's sort of getting the Coles notes version of what this is all about. Harold notes that there are things about the process that not everyone understands yet, but mentions that this sort of afterlife universe is sort of it's called time point. It is very much real and very much something that process creators have no idea that actually exists. So Mm -hmm. they're sort of off the grid. So they're sort of, you know. Just sort of hanging loose on another another parallel universe, but know what's happening in the real world. Now, Med, he's fascinated by all these reveals, as Harold assures him everything's going to be okay and that all his friends are safe. Boy, he's wrong on that, by the way. <laughs> anyway, Harold notes he must, uh, you know, he must use these new recruits to find Dr. Tolima back on Earth-87. So, you know... Um, and use Dreamscape's powers to allow, you know, the Red Watch the ability to cross back over to the real world and liberate the headquarters from the Horde, and give Mr. Do- Mr. Tolima, you know, all this information about the uh, the parallel universe. 
that they know was essential to perfecting the moratory process. So they've got a mission in mind. They're going to bounce back to real time, and they're actually going to intervene and help Tulima hopefully get to the bottom of this horde problem and potentially perfecting the moratory process so nobody else dies. Mm-hmm. Now, both men return to the main compound, and they inform their team as they prepare that, that they are – as they're preparing the universe jump, that they are hitting the horde in a direction they don't expect. So this is going to be like the ultimate drop bomb. Now, Med pulls Dreamscape aside, and he tells him of the plan. And Scape nods in full agreement, but notes that he really doesn't trust Splinter Red as of right now. Hmm. Hmm. As the team makes preparations, Dreamscape opens up the portal back home. This time, um, a whole new moratory. Watch... uh, you know, watch the combat as the uh, he basically they're looking through a window and they see that, you know, they're still in battle with the alien hordes. So Splinter Red, God bless him, decides he's going to stay back and monitor things from afar in the control center. God bless him. You know, you guys go ahead. I'm just going to hang out here at the monitors. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Real team player, this Splinter Red. But anyway, the team who seem to know him despite just meeting him. Uh, simply accept that, yeah, you know, this is great. No problem, man. You hang tight. You know, watch us. You know, watch us, uh, you know, take, liberate the uh, moratory headquarters. So anyway, which makes Med more suspicious, and he mentioned it to Dreamscape as they make their descent back to Earth-87. Now, upon their arrival, Talima's armed security guards stop the new arrivals dead in their tracks. The doctor is stunned because this is the first time he's seen Harold and his Black Watch members alive so he rushes to greet them and he's completely blown away he says harold everson what in god's name and he orders the guards to lower the weapons as he's approached by med who slows talima's approach informing of their new discovery this new parallel universe now future harold is flanked by his two black watch recruits and smiles to his old mentor mr talima and he turns to dreamscape nodding suddenly dream uh Dreamscape shoots Dr. Tolima dead. Ooh. Med turns to his friend in horror, and suddenly the Red Watcher's attention is now turned to Med, who is now surrounded by people he thought he knew at gunpoint. Harold coldly turns to his teams, speaking suddenly alien into an earpiece. And it's deciphered as, we have infiltrated the facility, and we are locating the star brand now. Oh, boy. There I think you go. It, it, it might be in Pittsburgh. It may be in Pittsburgh. <laughs> but shit just got real, folks. That's a fact, Jack. Yeah, this is a uh, it's heating up more and more every week. I, I look forward to this as much as I look forward to reading the story. So this is <laughs> it's always a fun time. <laughs> I try. I try. But now we are here for a double sized, double priced, huge, huge. 13th issue. It's Strike Force Moratory. It is very, very huge. <laughs> and uh, it is Strike Force Moratory number 13, cover dated December 1987. The story has a very nice title. It's Johnny, We Hardly Knew Ye. Which uh, I don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool. Uh, yep. Written by Peter B. Gillis, pencils Brent Anderson, inks Scott Williams, letters Phil Felix, colors by the newlywed Max Scheel. Uh, edits Carl Potts, editor in chief Jim Sh- uh, Tom the DeFalco, kick, the Kickers <clears throat> Inc. guy, the Kickers Inc. guy, the guy who's responsible for Kickers Inc. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> him, him. Uh, a cover price, a whopping one dollar twenty-five USD. 
$1.50 Canadian, 40p UK. This one hit shelves on August 25th, 1987. Now, as mentioned, our cover informs us that we're in for a double-sized issue pitting Morituri versus Morituri. And uh, we can see here many of our familiar faces are uh, squared off with perhaps new Morituris. Now, it's a... It's a, it's an interesting and nice little dog pile scene, but as a cover, it's still kind of not great. Yeah, um, I, I know what you mean. Like, there's there's a lot going on there, but uh, number one, I think half of the excitement is that if you're reading this book sequentially, you have no idea who half of this page is. So yeah. <laughs> right now it's a bunch of randos, but uh, boy, we'll get introduced to these uh, douchebags very soon. <laughs> We sure will. Um, now, the bottom uh, little where the UPC symbol usually goes, we're uh, told that there are two additional features in this comic book to, you know, buff it out to the double-sized uh, uh, page uh, page count. We have uh, a few pages out of the official handbook of the Murituri universe, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like, and a primer on how Peter B. Gillis and Brent Anderson make and destroy Strikeforce Murituri. I think that's a really good look in the window of how this book was made, too. And when you really take a look and step back at some of the characters, storylines, and all that stuff, as we'll find out a little bit later, maybe there's really <laughs> some actual truth to some of this. There but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Anyway, issue 13 begins with an unbelievable uh, Brent Anderson splash page. And I, I mention every single time, he's just got one page that is just like perfect art that you'd want like an original if you're grabbing a piece of original art this splash page would definitely be uh issue 13s it's basically a picture of a depth and she's off on her own and she's sort of celestial you know what i mean you see planets through her and she's sort of um sort of in her own orbit and processing and analyzing things with these giant hands and almost like ghost like really in form and there's a hordian craft speeding underneath with our heroes aboard now, our moratory, Ruth and Aileen, ponder how long it's going to be. How will it, how long will it take to get back to Earth after last year's destructive trip to space? And boy, did some stuff happen last issue. We lost our boy, Robert. Mm-hmm, which uh, sure did. And boy, did he take a few people with him, though, Sheehan. <laughs> I got to say. But they agree that they need to get there soon for Jaylene's sake. Now, Jaylene, she ain't doing very well after that no. last uh, our last fall from uh from space here so they're orbiting towards earth hoping to get there quick enough to save jaylene as well and it's weird because last issue wasn't it wasn't entirely made clear that jaylene even made it on the ship no you know uh, it looked like she was still in the trophy room analyzing it didn't look like she made it on the ship to to see to open this issue and see that she's actually with the rest of the team was kind of shocking to me i didn't uh i thought that was going to be kind of the uh uh, kind of the the trauma of this was losing both members in that blast, but uh, Jaylene somehow made it, so uh, they are trying to get back to make sure she can survive here. Now, Aileen and Ruth, uh, they're seen huddled around Jaylene's bed. She is deep in analyzation mode here. She's kind of even like in a trance-like state, uh, analyzing. Now, all the information uh, she took in is uh, she's dictating out randomly. Now, while the crew, who include the annoying as hell Eversons, uh, they're dealing with zero gravity, uh, Pilar rushes into the room with recording uh, crystals in order to capture Jaylene's potential last words, because uh, it seems Jaylene is in the act of dying right now. She it's, is- inter- it's interesting when uh, when Pilar <laughs> rushes in. So you say she came to the room with recording crystals. Mm-hmm. So liter- literally it's that. It's like yeah. crystals that record audio it's it's mm-hmm. like a 
Forget your CDs and audio tapes, folks, or your, MP- <laughs> your, your MP3s. We got crystals in the future, so we just got to see that. Pretty cool. This is Fortress of Solitude stuff here, and uh, uh, Pilar realizes that she may have spilled the beans just a hair too early uh, to Aileen about her dear friend who she becomes overcome with grief. Uh, she got the realization that her friend Robert passed away, and it, it's just really, really a rough, a rough scene here. Uh, Jaylene breaks her incantation long enough to console her friend. She says, don't cry. He's very close. Come to take me home. My true life is about to begin. Remember, she is uh, she is religious and uh, she uh, does believe that after death, there is something much better waiting for her. I got to listen, I, I I do really admire people of strong faith. I, I do Absolutely. have to say some Absolutely. sometimes they're, you know, they're annoying. And sometimes we cast people aside for their different beliefs or whatever, because, you know, what we believe generally is what we believe to be right. And, you know, sometimes we we look past others beliefs. But adept here really, really, you know, turns Christianity into something that's admired here, in my opinion. I, I really, res- really respect her beliefs and she brought it to the team. And it really, uh, you know, it, it's really a good focus for the team. It helped Robert focus himself until he became like a lunatic madman bent on, yeah. you know, Actually killing every single member of the killing. court. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. But anyway, her faith <laughs> is so strong. She ain't afraid to die. You know, she actually welcomes it. She knows that all her friends are going to join her, you know, one day, you know, maybe even a little less than a year. Who knows? But anyway, (laughs) um, because this powerful scene, you know, of two friends, we've only known these folks 12 issues, but they're already like family, man. And it just speaks to and I say this every single show. It just speaks to the strength of these characters. Like Mm -hmm. they're just you're rooting for them as a reader. I I root for this team every single time. You know, I, I want I want them to survive. I want them to do well. And Aileen who's really grown on me, clutches her friend's hands just minutes before she passed away, uh, before, you know, spilling all the Hordian secrets. Anderson just, I mean, just captures Aileen's sadness. Oh, my God. This guy really, really emotes. Like, you talk about Brent Anderson's work. His work Mm -hmm. on how he, just a human face, just the, you know, a slight... How he does eyes and how he does tears, it's just, it's legit, man. It made me feel oh, really emotional. Like, when I was looking at it, I'm like, yeah, man, like, I'm, I'm feeling this. Man, now, meanwhile, on another deck of the ship, people that we don't really care much about, <laughs> our, good, <laughs> our good friend, the douche, William <laughs> William Gucci And Toxin, they struggle with ship. Now, I do like Toxin, so I'm, I'm not going to tar yeah. her with the same brush. Um, but they're fooling with the ship's gravity drive as Gucci fumbles about, and he's messing with wires and plugs, and everything's going everywhere. And they are joined by good old Louie, who may have caused all this stuff inadvertently. <laughs> Oh, poor Radian. He's one of the last standing original members, Mr. Louis Arminetti. So, uh, you know, Louis up to this point, just to fill our faithful listeners in, has been making a deal with an alien horde to give up key information to get cure to end the moratory process. So basically to make sure that they don't die after a year. So he signed his, you know, he signed on the dotted line in blood and even mm-hmm. sold out his friends. Now, he's tried memory <laughs> several times. To you know, to give up this information to his friends, but they they trust him and they just don't care for whatever reason. I don't know why. He's like, no, I did this. You know, I I, I really uh you know I, I betrayed you guys. And they're like, ah, oh, Louis, we know that you you know we you sent us to the horde so we can wipe him out. So he's just giving up. So he's you know he's dealing with it quite well. <laughs> um, 
They deal, of course, when he went to the um, when he went south with his team and caught on to his ploy. Louis came up with this phony excuse. He was trying to fool the aliens into giving them their location, uh, you know, of their treasure ship, so Jaylene could analyze their secrets. That's how he put it. But you know, obviously, that was not the case. No. Ruth, aka Toxin, buys this story hook, line, and sinker. So <laughs> nobody, you know, nobody's really. Even though Louis is trying his best to tell him, no, I'm not a good guy. You know, I sold you down the river. They just want to believe that he is a good guy. So they're yeah. they're giving him this pass, even though two people, you know, one is dead and one is on the bed, you know, partially dead. You know, thank thank you, Louis. Good for you. Good job. <laughs> and while he's he's team, doing more damage than the horde. <laughs> yes, man. He's wiping his own team out, you know. And they've seemingly forgiving Raiden for, you know, his insider trading deal, we'll call it, and yeah. discusses, you know. And they now discuss the, you know, the situation where they disobeyed orders because of Louis's plan. Ruth explains to Louis that had they got, you know, that they had gone secretly to talk to his enemy, which accounts for, you know, all of them getting not only jailed but killed by the Padilla for being traitors when they get back to Earth. So they're in some trouble, man. Mm-hmm. Even though if they manage to get home, they got some people waiting for them to, you know, put some locks on them. So it's not, it's not looking good for our moratory. So Ruth ponders for a moment you know, or about not returning home. And since they have this ship, they can just maybe keep on going. I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's take a, let's take a left turn at Albuquerque and keep on sure. going. Man. But anyway, uh, Aileen and the others, you know, they join Will, Louie and Ruth on the deck and they inform the others that Jaylen has passed. That's mm-hmm. right. She actually died. Yep. Believe, believe it or not, but never fret. They actually recorded her Hordian ramblings on these crystals. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the <laughs> thinking is. They they take this very well. I, I don't know. I don't I don't know about you, but we we were recording guys. Speaking of recordings, I know they're talking about crystal recordings, but we sure. were you ever a music downloader back in the day? You know what's funny? Um I was always and, and remain like petrified of doing that. Because I, <laughs> I, I know like the uh we had things like what, like Napster and uh, and LimeWire and oh, Lime all Wire. those uh, all those uh, you know P2P things and always scared me. Uh, I, I know people have done it and they've gotten like emails from like very threatening emails and I'm like I would just crap my pants. <laughs> it's it's not worth having that extra Billy Joel song, you know. It's, it's, so, so so back so back in the day first when Napster first came out. Okay. I mean, you know, it was it was fair like there was no real legalities around it at first, you know. It was what I mean? before people, that was all yeah, set up. Yeah. yeah. And of course then Metallica and a whole bunch of other people got on the bandwagon and drove it into the ground and it became sure. this whole copyright thing. But anyway, previous to that I got myself a CD burner. Now, I had this guy who worked at a, uh, you know, he worked at a movie theater. And every time I would go down, and he reminded me of one of the guys off the Big Bang Theory, the guy with the lisp who hates Sheldon. Mm. So every time I would go to the theater, he'd say, so, Quith, you got a, you got your CD burner for your computer? And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, no, no, Dennis, I don't. Anyway, he kept taunting me and telling me how to get one. So finally, I just broke down and got one. And boy, was it a revelation. I was making my own CDs instead of like Chris's Driving Tunes, Volume 10 on audio. All of a sudden, <laughs> now I had them on CD and I was making collections. So I was sort of the big man on campus in my family. So my brother would come down and he'd want a CD burn because, you know, he could do it. And uh, anyway... I just went and got a CD DVD recorder, and man, I was king of the blanking hill, brother. I guarantee you. 
But you talk about LimeWire. LimeWire was nothing but a virus trap. I can tell you mm-hmm. uh, how many times that I walked down in front of my computer and all of a sudden there was like adult friend finder on the screen oh, because I Lord. downloaded a virus <laughs> or something. And it was to the point where I was downloading all this stuff on like uh, dial-up. So I would literally sure. have to like, Set twelve songs, yeah. yeah, twelve songs to download, and then come down and in in the morning it'd be like, hey, look, I uh, still only have one song left, twenty minutes left to download. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Anyway, everybody seems to be taking uh, Adept's death a little, almost too well. You know, they get a simple, oh, that. It's like an afterthought. Girl. Yeah. Yes, that poor. I mean, even the Eversons are like, oh, that poor girl. You know. They've done nothing but complain ever since we met them. The whole them, time. You know? yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe Harold was right. Maybe he got the whole Fresh Prince. Maybe parents just don't understand. I don't know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, anyway, the gang's conversation is interrupted abruptly when the douche, he sees the earth before them and notes that Canada appears to be on fire. Canada is on fire. What? Can, your Canadian <laughs> brothers, my home country is on fire. Burning. Mm-hmm. Burning. But anyway. <laughs> It is now to the, it's now up to the team seeing the horrific aftermath of the horde nuke attack on Moratory HQ. So they're only now seeing what everybody was uh, experiencing while they were up in space. The horde took advantage and they nuked the place. So they crazy sure time. Did. Yeah. Now speaking of Earth, we hop back there and we meet a balding fellow who looks like a perhaps Chris Hansen should offer him a seat. You know, <laughs> uh, put it that way. Yes. Now. Sir. <laughs> He is hunched over a communication device, and he gets word that Beth Neon, you know, our faithful military commander, she passed away. And this is another weird afterthought sort of thing here, where we didn't get to see it happen, which kind of feels like we're being robbed in a way. <clears throat> Boy, this this guy looks creepy, man. He uh, let let, let me put let me put it this way: if you have children, you're not letting them anywhere close to this man. No, 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 and. Uh, he probably, you know, he, he's probably driving around in one of those like big brown cars, you know, the ones <laughs> that your parents told you to stay away from. He's the one in those cars, so definitely don't go near him. Ugh. Now, you see, as an act of love for her man, our former rogue clone, Commander Beth, she took the life-ending Moritori process, which gave her the amazing, amazing and uncanny powers to uh, make plants bloom. Um, <laughs> Well done. And she, and she has finally succumbed to the process. Now we need a new commander, and uh, old Pedo Pete here is the perfect candidate. Uh, once he receives word of his new post, he walks into a common area, which is populated by another brand spanking new set of Murray Turry recruits. This is Generation 3. Oh, my and, God. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but it's like, I think we were just getting used to the latest group. You know, we have Scaddy Cat Toxin and Scatterbrain, which, which which was like a jarring shock to have these new characters here. And now there's a half dozen more. Oh, my God. It they, is. They're, they're, they're not giving us any time to absorb here. Like, we're we're getting bombarded. They're stealing our moratory members and just filling them in. With, with real cruddy ones here. <laughs> <laughs> now, we find out that this new commander, his name is not pedophile pete it's not um we'll still probably call him that but his name is actually yuri pogorlik pogorlik pogorlich sounds very russian <clears throat> it like does yak, like very yakov smirnov 1980 type of stuff going on here 
I love this country. <laughs> I, I think I think old Yuri here was like a uh, like a reject from the Rocket Reds or something. But uh, right. we'll probably just call him Yuri because uh, I don't know that I even said that. I, I know I didn't say his last name right, and I know I will never <laughs> say his last name right. So Yuri, which I think I might be saying right, will be less offensive to everyone. Um, now one by one we meet the new recruits and. Ugh. Mm. Yes. Now, we had a an instant distaste for Will Deguchi. Deguchi, however we say his name. <laughs> These guys are even worse than that. Um, first up, Hard Case, and, and not the one from the Ultraverse. I was just going to say, haven't, <clears throat> that sounds familiar. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I, Hard Case had the cover where he's like throwing something heavy at the reader and says, Catch! Oh, it's so lame. <laughs> it is. It is rotten. That the the Ultraverse. That is one of the most jarring covers. If you've seen Hard Case Number One for Ultraverse, it is the most awkwardly posed first it, first issue cover of any character I've seen. Oh, and oh, it's really bad. But anyway. and it was written. It was written by Peter Gillis's successor on this very book. Ah, oh. so, so it you all know, comes back. You know, the only thing that's worse than the Ultraverse Hard Case. Hmm. <laughs> the Strike Force Moratory hard case. That's <laughs> true. Now, notably here, he he is with the style here of 1988. He has the very the very thin porn mustache, you know, <laughs> uh, just like half the team members from what it seems like. Are they um, stock? Are they stockpiling porn stars here? Is this was happening? They might be. They might be. They, they, this was for the uh, the triple X version of the uh, the moratory soap opera that they're making. <laughs> this was for the porno parody of that. This this guy was going to play Will DeGucci because he looks just like him. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what's it going to be called? Stunt cock moratory. I don't know. <laughs> don't Google that, friends. Don't Google that. But uh, we would like fan art. <laughs> <laughs> no we wouldn't um now he's got a clean cut appearance and he dresses in almost like a military ceremony cadet uniform here like a like a dressed up like marine colors you know yeah, exactly um, what his powers going back to the uh the joke we just made here he makes soft things hard <laughs> so yes he could be in that uh that uh that uh that that parody uh film i i, uh, I wish we were i wish we were joking but we're not we're not joking. We're not joking. Uh, he fortifies molecular bonds, making things, quote, ultra hard. Now, <laughs> I, th I think there's a market for that. In 2020, yes, he could make, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of our uh, fellow podcasts like to shill for uh, something called Blue Chew. And uh, <laughs> we, we would like to shill for Hard Case. Uh, <laughs> well, Chris, you know, when I when I wake up in the morning and I come down over the stairs and I see my wife and I get my coffee and I just pop a Blue Chew. <laughs> he's shown using his powers uh he's he's folding a paper plane makes it super hard and he throws it at a tree and it goes right through it um now this clown he claims that he joined the team for duty and honor Ooh, look, look at you up. big man yeah <clears throat> hate this guy already now Next up is a fellow named Sheer, or he goes by the name Sheer. He's a German-born Turkish factory worker turned Murray Turi. His real name is Walter Vazio, Vazio Glue. Vazio Glue? I don't know. Uh, he, he, looks, 
He, he looks kind of like if you're familiar with professional wrestling, he looks a lot like uh, Seth Rollins in the uh, in the face. Uh, Seth could play him in a movie if he uh, if he maybe went off the CrossFit and uh, maybe started eating more carbs. Um, <laughs> well now, now, his powers are to be able to find an object, uh, an object structural weakness and then cut it up from a meter away. A.K.A. Mow the lawn. literally mowing the lawn this is like this is like one of those dagwood sandwich powers here it's like (laughs) it's like you'd figure like he could work in tandem with another person who can cut it up like he can spot it and then someone else can cut it but he does both (laughs) yes i do have to say being uh it's not the strangest power we're going to run in here today but it's It's probably one of the most useless it's true (laughs) god Anyway, anyway, third we meet Brava. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, a very jacked up female, and her name yes. is how would you pronounce this? Domin- Dominica Contreras. Dominica, Dominica Contreras. Yes. Contreras. There you go. You gotta have the twang. <laughs> roll Contreras. Yes. A former worker in an observatory in Peru. Of course, you know those mm-hmm. famous observatories in Peru. <laughs> in Peru. You hear about them all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> Special moratory was because, well, you know, <laughs> observing is hard, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Just look at the watcher. He can't do it. <laughs> well done. Uh, her power is that she grows exponentially and she grows. And as she grows, her strength multiplies, you know, exponentially with her. So sure. <laughs> she gets bigger. She gets stronger. That's basically what happens here. Mm-hmm. Now, to picture her, she's a long raven haired lady she's got like a blue bodysuit with armored shoulder guards she has a belt with pouches i mean this girl would fit perfectly in a rob liefeld comic or, or something from larson back in the 80s man she, she's like, gotta be in brigade or something oh man like yeah. tailor made i'm <laughs> sure you know what i'm sure rob liefeld had seen her and he's probably got 500 of these characters in his books that's where he got it that's the start right here <laughs> yeah will showed it to him yeah yeah <laughs> Rob goes, hey, pouches. <laughs> That's the Shoulder genesis. Mm-hmm. Anyway, where she's really strong, see, she lifts her two teammates overhead to showcase her strength because, you know, she's super strong, you know. <laughs> well, basically, yeah. basically, when you look at this, they're removing characters, so they're killing people off. So she's basically Robert's replacement. She's she's female Robert. Robert. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. That's it. Um, Who else we got, Sheehan? We got... We got a familiar face here. Ooh. We got, uh, if if you've been following along, you might, though I wouldn't blame you if you didn't, you might remember Greg Mattingly. Mm-hmm. Now, Greg Mattingly, he was the fella who signed on to play Harold Everson, Viking, in the soap opera or the hollow vid or whatever the they called vid. it. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so we have someone who was just so driven <laughs> by Harold Everson that he became basically Harold Everson. Um, now, his powers match Viking's old power set in that he could divert and reflect any powers thrown at him. However, he seemingly has more accuracy than his inspiration, Harold. Commander Yuri tests his powers by actually opening fire, blasting him up close with a <laughs> laser cannon. And, and sure enough, Mattingly has mastered his powers enough, and he redirects the blast against a wall. And uh, this uh, blast spells his new codename, which is backhand it's spelled oh. in flame 
this this has like there's definitely some inside humor going on here. They're they're absolutely they're they're definitely playing games with us here. When yeah. you say someone's name is backhand, oh there there's something to that, man. <laughs> we have backhand and hard case here, which uh I hope they don't work together. Um <laughs> Now, impressive talent here. You know, uh, we figure this fella could probably have a career as a skywriter when he's done with his gig. <laughs> after his contract's up. Uh, and I think he only signed on for a year. But uh, oh, oh, too bad. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, next up is uh, <laughs> good old Commander Yuri, a.k.a. Pedo Pete. He's going to introduce us to yet another Ooh. complicated name. Yeah, I'm um, glad you're saying this and not me. OK, I'm going to give it a trot. Ready? OK. <laughs> Ayaka Bandaranaiki. Bandaranaiki. I don't know. Good enough. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. Anyway. Ayaka is her name, I guess. So that's what we'll call her. Anyway, Ayaka. she's yeah. Ayaka. Puyaka. Ayaka Ayaka. <laughs> 619. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. She's the team's African princess. And she's literally codenamed Silencer. Now, that's a bit of a weird name for a girl considering her look. I mean, she's literally a... If you look at her, she's like... Uh, how would I describe it? Just like typical African garb. You know, mm-hmm. she's got the... Um, you know, she just basically looks... Take a, take a look at, uh, you know... Any anything African related, she wears the traditional garb. She's a yeah. uh, Afri- African American skinned. You know, she she definitely has that entire vibe going on. Absolutely. So, so which is weird that she's called Silencer. That's not the first thing you would think of when you're doing a character like this. But guess what her powers are now. Hmm. I'm going to formally apologize to Adept, which had, on episode <laughs> one of this whole series, I said that she had the worst powers of all time, having analyzation powers. Well, we finally have one that is probably the worst power set in the history. a new contender. Here it is. <laughs> and our champion, um, <laughs> the silencer, can actually damp out any sound in a specified area. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. <clears throat> she can damp out a I don't Man, I'm going to war. I want someone to damp out that sound. Right? You figure, like, <laughs> you probably want very keen hearing in, in war. Um I, I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, her whole backstory is that she lived in a place called Gabon, and, you know, the Horde invaded her area and killed her people and stole her land, and hmm, that sounds a little bit familiar. A little mm, bit. Does it not? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a very generic and probably a little bit thinly veiled attempt at diversity here, if you ask me. But, we'll uh, learn she more is, about that later. Yeah, she's literally a checkbox for like exploited cultures. Not mm-hmm. that it's a bad thing, mind you. It just it's super forced and superficial. She really yeah. stands out on this team. All these other ones, you know, have their superhero garb, and she's like, you know, African queen mother. It's true. Really, really odd. But anyway, we'll see yeah. how she pans out, dampening her sound. It's true. Now, uh, somehow, Silencer seems like a new original concept because we're about to meet John Cronella, who. Uh, he might have the most useful powers out of the entire group here. He is the uh, the wonderfully Liefeldian named character in the crew. His name is Wildcard. Oh, oh, oh. Wildcard. <laughs> Spider-Man uh, starring Wildcard. Mm-hmm. Now his design resembles something like maybe like a five or six year old would create. Absolutely. His design really it's like so many weird elements that you'd see like. Like, one element that he has would, like, be an entire character study. But he's got all these weird elements on him. It's it's literally like 
like if you remember the the combo man remember combos the yes, uh the pretzels with the cheese in them they made like combo man which was like an amalgamation of like every marvel hero where it's like Cyclops' visor, but Iron's Man, Iron Man's mask, Captain America's shield, but Spider Man's uh, you know belt, or it's all these like different things here. It's it's all in this fella wild card. Now he's he's got a uh, blonde hair, and he's got the Van Dyke goatee. So if you look at him quickly or slowly, he looks like he looks like a Ollie Queen. He looks like Green Arrow. Absolutely. Very very much. Um, now, oddly, this design, as mentioned, he's got more. He's got a lot of apparatus. He's got a facial tattoo, or maybe paint over his left eye. Uh, he looks like uh, sort of like Road Warrior Hawk eye paint, if you're familiar with that. <laughs> he's dressed in like a two-pattern purple shirt, which would clash with anything, especially tight blue pants. <laughs> And he's wearing, like, the Intercontinental Championship belt around his waist. <laughs> it's true. It is the oddest costume that I've seen. Like, it's it's just, uh, like, a, it's literally like... It's a mismatch. Took, it is literally a mismatch. Hey, why don't we throw a tattoo on him? Hey, how about this shirt? No, let's half that shirt up. Why don't we give him the Intercontinental title? Hey, <laughs> how about he tight needs, pants? All he needs is, like, a... And a hook end, <laughs> and he'll, he could be. That's the only thing that would make him worse here. Oh boy! Now, uh, it, it's like Wildcard's design would just it would fall off the uh, drawing board and hit the hit the garbage. It's not not oh, great. Uh, we do get an origin story for this fella, and uh, it said he see, signed up for the process because the horde took his father captive as a slave. Now, key to this story is that he worked with his father in a clothing store, which I guess there explains his. Wild fashion sense. <clears throat> and he did so until the Horde came to take his father. So uh, he was a haberdasher, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> now, for those who don't know what a haberdasher is, <laughs> it's a <laughs> seller of small things. These small things sometimes traditionally include men's hats, which led to the American definition of men shop. So there you go. There's your oh, definition no. for folks who don't know what a haberdasher or a haberdashery <laughs> is. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, it's it's definitely uh, one of his lines that he says <laughs> when his father gets uh, gets captured. He says he was a haberdasher for Christ's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the best line of the entire series right there. It's I don't probably know. Probably it. Yeah. But his his design aside, his power set is that he can duplicate any of the moratory's power. I mean, mm-hmm. amazing. Would you not agree? Oh, finally, absolutely. finally, someone's got some powers like he can literally take anyone's powers. But here's the hook, people, as long as they are nearby. Yes, you have to be. It's a proximal power. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so say, for example, he was with our uh, our African queen silencer. He could only dampen silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which doesn't make sense anyway brava for example uh is shown near him and he's mimicking her powers so he knocks over a tree you know it's a it's a small tree no doubt and he he just drops it down with one punch and the the sound effect is stupid that they use he knocks <laughs> over this tree with one punch with the sound effect that says whack w-a-k <laughs> Oh, my God. I'm going to show you what happens when you do that to Cronella, he says. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor, oh, poor wild card. This character is our new beating pole, at least for this, ep- <laughs> at least for this I, I episode. I can't wait. He's going to supply us with so much material for the rest of this run. It's going to be great. Can't <laughs> anyway, wait. 
with that, the new leader, Yuri, tells his new ragtag of moratory recruits that they have a press conference in the morning and go get some rest, people. Yes, and we're we're almost exhausted talking about these new people, too, because, yeah. you know, it's a lot to take in, man. Sure is. Commander Yuri, uh, listen, you really folks who are listening, if you got an ep- if you got this issue, take a look at Commander Yuri. This guy is definitely inspired by someone. I just can't place it, but he's definitely like drawn straight from somebody. He's it's modeled after someone. What do you think? I definitely think it is here. And this this story, this issue uh, has has like a little satirical uh, strip that we're going to look at at the very end of the book where it shows how Peter Gillis and Brent Anderson put their thoughts together and how they come up with new characters and how they decide who people are going to die, how, how and who will die in an issue. It's it's all very silly and it's you know it's comical. But when the way they draw Peter Gillis in that looks a lot like Commander Yuri here. Hmm, I'm going to Google that guy. I bet I bet you it's that's exactly what they're doing here. They're it's, using it's almost got to be. Absolutely. Now, uh, we have Hard Case, Sheer, Brava, Backhand, Silencer, and Wildcard. Uh, they're here, for better or worse, and uh, I don't know about you, but I instantly love them. Um, just <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, we, we don't like them that much. Just like we didn't really care for Toxin, Scaredy Cat, and especially Scatterbrain when we first met them. But, met them. but th- these ones are, uh, I don't know, th- th- this little like, character dump feels different than that in a way uh where those characters felt like fill-ins these characters feel like replacements and they're supposed to feel that way so i think yeah. we're supposed to have like an a- an adversarial sort of uh, opinion of them right off the bat so good job guys you make characters it's, it's, we don't like it's it's funny how they uh they produce these folks so when they introduce the other three scaredy cat toxin uh pilar and uh when they introduced those they they didn't immediately make you hate them so they made them as like the standoffish new recruits who were you know somewhat snobbish but you know you didn't despise them like you hated them the fact that they were coming in and they were stepping on their turf but these guys just seems obnoxiously you know just yeah. over the top to the point where you they want you to hate them so yeah absolutely uh, now we jump back to the original team, our team. Uh, they're aboard the Hordian ship, and we see uh, that the uh, the Mustache Brothers here. We got Louie and Will the douche. They uh, both men are trying hard to figure out the controls of the alien craft as they barrel through space on autopilot. Uh, and uh, you know, Will calms everyone's uh, nerves here, but uh, momentarily. Uh, Adept before her passing figures out the basic controls in order to set autopilot to send them back home. So. They're, they should be good here, unfortunately. <laughs> they, that was nice of her. <clears throat> there was real, real, real solid she did for them before passing away. Now, they are, in fact, rolling into the waiting fire of a horde fleet. Louis, who is a little less calm, is uh, looking at the panel of the lights of the ship, and he questions one light in particular that uh, that is glowing red. <laughs> and uh, if you've ever looked at a control panel of any sort, maybe on your dashboard or anything, if you see something glowing red, no good. No boy, no. You don't want something glowing red. Um, now, Toxin, uh, thankfully, since Adept is dead, Toxin reveals that she has been studying Hordian aviation and Hordian language. Of course. So, uh, so we don't have anyone to analyze and figure this stuff out and translate, so we have someone who's been you know, hitting the books hard, thankfully. Uh, she's able to deduce that this light is on a temperature gauge, and here comes the panic. The Horde have been hitting them with laser blasts from a extreme distance. So these are very, very weak shots here, but they are slowly but surely 
raising the temperature of the hull of the ship up to max here. Yeah, so I mean, it is just uh, they're they're really dialing it up here unbeknownst to the team. They're literally cooking our team inside their own ship. It's true. It's true. Uh, it's, true. <laughs> it's crazy. I, that's a you know what? That's that's actually some genius writing because you don't smart. think of that. Yep. So you, you think of uh, what I like about one thing that you said there was um, they have these buttons. So if you're familiar with sci-fi, if you watch Star Trek back in the day or Battlestar Galactica growing up, I mean, talking like 70s and 60s stuff, you mm. know that spaceships were full of buttons. Now, sure. what they did, nobody really knew, but you buttons, always had a dials, pen. sliders. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's crazy when you think about it. Like, like, what do they actually do? Have you ever seen like those large government computers that you see like like from news reports in the 70s and early sure. 80s and all that stuff. And they're like giant wall size computers and they're full of buttons and bleeps and pullers and levy. You know sure. what I mean? <laughs> like, do they actually do? Did anyone actually do anything with those or are they just there for like, visual <laughs> purposes? For show. <laughs> but anyway, our poor team is being cooked on 350, which is always my favorite temperature for cooking everything. I don't know about you. What, what's, oh, yeah. what's your what's your what's your oven temperature of choice, sir? Uh, when I when I cook Italian food, it's always 350 for 35 minutes. So there yeah, you go. There we when go. You went through just Italian food specifically. Huh? <laughs> just Italian food specifically. You yeah, put that, on. That seems to be the go-to for uh, for Italian food. Uh, <laughs> usually, if I'm cooking something like if I'm trying to roast vegetables or something, it'll go up to 450 for a little. There while. you go. There you yeah. go. I I only do pizzas, the frozen store-bought pizzas on like the 400s, but everything else is 350. Yeah. That's just for information. So what is your temperature, faithful listeners? We'd like to yes, know. Yes, we'd like to know. <laughs> anyway, back I, I to... I just put uh, it on warm. <laughs> back Do you to people. preheat, folks? <laughs> <laughs> We're going off the deep end here. We're we reaching here. <laughs> anyway. Back to the Eversons. In, inside our, uh, our pressure cooker here, the Eversons worry that our team... Um, they're they're basically you know scaring the crap out of them further by noting that we're all gonna suffocate, we're all gonna starve, right? I mean <laughs> exactly. True. But guess what? The douche has a plan. Good old William DeGucci. He recalls mm-hmm. that first when they fired up the ship, it jump started basically and launched them away instantly, and they were able to avoid the horde. It was like a quick burst. So he figures that if he shuts the ship off now. He can restart it and it will jumpstart them in reverse and take them back past the horde, past all the fire, and bring them to, back to Earth safely. <laughs> what do you think of that idea? If I just turn, if I just works, turn the right? switch off and we'll <laughs> yep. just do the reverse and I'll turn it back on and we'll jumpstart right past all the fire and right to home. <laughs> I mean, it, it, like, it works when it works when the computer's not working. You shut it off and start it again. <laughs> you know you're running out of options when you're cooking inside <laughs> your ship. <laughs> Throw the fucking switch. Do it. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get out of here. <laughs> anyway, with the horde fleet surrounding them, Will punches it and boom. It literally zaps them out of harm's way, almost in light speed, you know, sending them to Earth very much alive. And they, you know, they get there and they crash, but they seem to have crashed. They sort of materialize. They're going so fast that they actually materialize inside a building. So half the ship is literally stuck inside the building. They're moving that fast. So they instantly scare the public thinking that, hey, this though, you know, it's a horde ship that just crashed into this building or is coming out of a building. And they think that it's another horde attack coming their way. You know, this the current team of Moratory have done nothing to help their public image. That's for sure. And I guess, you know, the citizens days are restless, Christopher. They sure is. Now, as they are surrounded by security, Pilar jumps from the ship. She declares that they are Moritori and ain't nothing to worry about here. 
you're not in danger. We're the good guys, remember? <laughs> now, the guards seem to take that perfectly well, and uh, it smiles everywhere. They're, they're just happy, and uh, they are absolutely starstruck. Because uh, I, I guess we're in Detroit. We find out we're in Detroit, and uh, this, the mortuary are uh, celebrities in Detroit. It's like, hey, they're in Detroit. <laughs> now, hey, it's Will DeGucci. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Said nobody. Love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> now the public begin to swarm the moratory. They ask him questions. They're looking for autographs. It's like the Beatles just landed here. And uh, one person wonders, hey, where's the big guy? And, uh, you know, that's uh, another reminder that Big Bobby, yeah, Big Bobby, a.k.a. Marathon, he didn't survive that last mission and guiding his moratory brothers and sisters in a kamikaze attack on the horde. Process took hold last episode, last issue, uh, took hold of Robert, and he sacrificed himself uh, in order to give his uh, brethren a chance of a successful ex- escape. Then, in a grim scene, Aileen emerges from the ship carrying the uh, also dead body of Jaylene, a.k.a. Oh, Adept. man, this is rough. Absolutely. Uh, Aileen places her friend on the ground and, in a tearful goodbye, welcomes her friend back home. You know, you made it. You're home now. Uh, another just gorgeous Anderson piece here, uh, um, beautifully rendering Jaylene's uh, or Aileen's emotion here. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> he's not going to be on the book forever, unfortunately, uh, but Man. he is the best artist for this book. Oh, I can't wait till we get to uh, your buddy. Even, oh, I'm not even going to say his name. I'm going to save it. But there's a certain artist coming up and his <laughs> name starts with Mark. And boy, is he going to get it when he starts, is all I'll tell you. Anyway, I'll let that I'll let that sit. Thank you, Brent Anderson, for uh, helping us along so far with these 13, or at least 12 issues. Sure. We did have that uh, that one uh, issue. Uh, <laughs> anyway, good old scaredy cat, Mr. Will DeGucci, actually does something useful here. He broadcasts anger over the people to allow them some cover. Well, Louie's giving some security, you know, some incoming security force a light show, blinding them momentarily so they can make their escape. So the douche hops into one of the saucer jet things and commandeers the thing by, you know, gracefully ejecting the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time we've actually seen, you know, any bit of like a legit, you know, aggressive side of the douche yeah. here. That's cool, man. I, I got to say, I'm, pre- I'm pretty he's, digging that. He's coming into his own a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Now, Aileen is having a very difficult time. I mean, her friend just died. She's literally there on the ground. Uh, you know, with everything that's gone on, she's curled up in the fetal position. She wants her friend back. And, you know, she's tired of all the deaths. And she's also carrying a baby, which we found at one of the last issues. So she's got a lot going on. Emotions are taking over. This time, we're back with the third generation moratories. Um, and Yuri is handing out orders for the first mission. It's not tracking down the horde. It's tracking down and arresting their predecessor, you know, the predecessor moratory brothers. So he's mm-hmm. basically telling them, attack the moratory. So moratory mm-hmm. versus moratory is a coming. Now, mm-hmm. Sheer, he's the only one who seems to have any sense here. He protests, rightfully pointing out that they've already forfeited their lives. Rather than fulfilling the actual mission of the moratory, now they're being used to fight each other? Yeah. What? What is this? And, you know, uh, Yuri is an, an empathetic guy here. He's a sympathetic fellow. He gives them a generic, hey, sucks to be you, <laughs> before sending them out. He's I'm like, awesome. yeah, it's like, you signed up, you do what I tell you, do it. Man. Now, we rejoin our team, and they're hiding out in an old auto factory trying to plan their next moves. Toxin points out, at present, Strike Force Moratory are outlaws. 
Ooh. A scaredy cat suggests that maybe they just keep doing what they're doing. They just keep fighting the horde, support or no support from the Padilla. Screw the Padilla. We have a job to do. Let's just fight the horde. And uh, somewhat surprisingly, Will Deguchi, he agrees with her. <laughs> and uh, actually, actually makes a really cogent point here. He says, you know, fighting the horde is going to be much better use of the last few months of our lives than sitting in a court martial somewhere. Which stands to reason makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, however, Toxin, she ain't feeling it. <laughs> the voice of and, reason, yes. Yes, and she's pretty. You know, she's definitely the voice of the people when it comes to this whole book, mm-hmm. and pretty insistent that they just surrender. She hopes that you know, perhaps Beth Neon can pull some strings for them. Boy, did she miss out on some action because mm-hmm. uh, the commander that they once knew no longer exists. My uh, my good lady Toxin. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Anyway, Aileen wonders aloud if Neon survived the nuke attack a few issues back. You know, the discussion is interrupted when poor old Mr. Deguchi senses an incoming threat. He as he's useful. Like I, I can't even believe I'm saying it. It's wild. And natu- and naturally incoming are the crappy third generation of moratory. <laughs> <laughs> the newbies are already nearby. They're you know, they're sort of standing around with the thumbs up their ass trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> And the strike force attacks him from behind, which, uh, you know, I got to say is not the most heroic of moves that we would have hoped for, but whatever, <laughs> we'll take it. They deserve their ass kicked. So anyway, Toxin drops Brava with like the toxic kiss right away. And Louis squares off against Mattingly, almost looking like his own, you know, his own brother, yeah. good, old, uh, good old Viking. And he's zapping him with some good old UV rays, you know, only having the uh, Mr. Faux Herald. He repels him right back at him. So the yeah. battle is on. Now, Aileen tangles with Hardcase, and it's here that it comes out that Beth Neon is no more. Because uh, they're like, hey, just you know, tell Beth. She'll tell you that we're good guys. And like, Beth's dead. Um, now, Pilar does not take this news well, and she lunges in, punching the new douche square in his puny mustache. <laughs> new douche. New I douche. <laughs> the new douchey. Um, now, a silencer swoops in, and a wild card st- tries stealing a power, but he only winds up, like, he steals, I think, Shear's power and winds up destroying the ground beneath them like a goofball. And <laughs> all of the Murray who don't have flight shoes fall into the hole that he makes. Oh, how apropos. Isn't it? Anyway, anyway. Good old hard case. He's busy hardening stuff up. So he hardens up <laughs> some glass and just chucks it at the originals. <laughs> Here you go. Here's some hard glass. Anyway, good old silencers around and she silences the area, which is uh, enough of a distraction to uh, confuse Louie, of course. And uh, he gets hit with a few of the shards of glass. I guess mm-hmm. that is a somewhat useful power. I mean, sure. you, could do, you could do like gunshots and nobody will hear you and it just That's hits true. you. That's yeah. true. <laughs> I just I, ju- I just don't know if I want to go into battle with a a silence dampener or a a, a dampener I should say that yeah. dampens silence I don't know. Anyway, God bless Toxin because she does the Lord's work and she KO silencer. <laughs> she insists that the newbies just stop and listen for a minute. Hold the phone here, people. Settle down. <laughs> anyway, the <laughs> unfortunately our fake ass Green Arrow he ain't having this. He doesn't <laughs> comply one bit. And so Pilar hops on his back, and although she's, you know, it <laughs> looks like she's going to deliver, like, a poison rana, <laughs> and she proceeds to choke him out with her legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like they're doing a chicken fight here, and she's just tied his, uh, tied her, her legs around his neck. <laughs> and suddenly, Wild Card begins to glow. Mm. Now, Darn. Deguchi, yeah, Deguchi tells Pilar to vacate her chicken fight because he knows what's about to go down. 
Wildcard is flipping out. He's shambling around the battlefield, lamenting the fact that it looks as though he's already uh, going to succumb to the Moritori process. He's a now, haberdasher, damn it. He is, damn it. Now, as the Kirby crackle starts to appear around him, he does something interesting. He focuses on Aileen, copies her power, and proceeds to melt down to nothing more than bone and hair. Now, Aileen is on the ground, and she sees this, and she wonders why he would take her power right before succumbing to the process. Uh And also, in like a very weird bit here, she wonders if she just watched someone dying her death. Hmm. That's a very interesting thought, actually. Why? Why do you think that he chose that power? What? What do you think? You know, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to reveal anything. But uh, it, it is. It is very weird. I. I. I think at this point, without any kind of hindsight, we might think that he would have known that it would have been the least destructive power. There you go. Where like it, he wouldn't be popping and killing everybody. He would just be melting. Uh, that's what I'm thinking it was. Uh, it's it's going to play out kind of strange. Yes. Now, this somber and sobering event is enough to get everyone present to finally cool their jets. <laughs> Our good boy, Mattingly, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Faux Viking, he loses his ever-loving shiznit. He so. does. So he actually got to see firsthand what he's gotten himself into. And, I mean, you know, he's just a dude hired to play a moratorium in a soap opera. And he died like seven issues in. This should not be news. But anyway, for some reason, he's just coming to the stirring relation, realization that, wait a second, I'm actually going to die here. What, what have I got myself into? <laughs> and he like, he like runs out with his hands waving over his head. He's like, oh, no, I want to go home. <laughs> I want to go home. That is hilarious. And you know what? Honest to God, that's what it would be. I mean, you know, everything sounds like a great idea at the time. I'm sure a lot of folks who signed up for the military and all that stuff, once they got themselves into heavy battle, are like, oh, shit. What did I do? Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, God bless him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so um, after he just loses it, he, like, he runs out of the place. He's scared to death. And Scaredy Cat is concerned that if it was for her attack that sent Wildcard to his death. You know, it's she's concerned that... Hey, geez, I just killed one of uh, our fellow oh, brothers, oh, non-brothers. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Deguchi comforts her and assures him that it was just the, you know, it was just a process. It was nothing more. So, you know, trying to be the uh, the voice of reason here for the voice of reason. <laughs> one of the voice <laughs> of reasons in the book. The amalgamated moratories, they kind of put their differences aside finally. I mean, finally, I guess, after the death of somebody and someone else running, I mean, they're, you know, their numbers basically went down a little bit. So, all of a sudden, they're on even terms, so they decide to just, okay, we got to relax here. The oldies decide to return to the base with the newbies so they might, you know, at least try to explain themselves to the new powers that be. Oh, boy, they get to meet the new commander. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to think of this douchebag. But anyway, outside, it's like a full zoo. I mean, the press are everywhere. Crowds are everywhere as they head back to the ship. Um when we wrap up, we reveal that Jaylene is, in fact, actually dead. We didn't really get confirmation entirely, but she did 100% die. And, in fact, her body has already been taken for an autopsy. Aileen, one of her best friends, she's really not taking this in stride, as you would know. I mean, she's an emotional person anyway, but her mm-hmm. friends are dying left and right, and she's just not taking it well. Yeah. And that is the wrap-up. And next issue... It's going to be All My Trials. Hmm. Enough said. What do you think about that? It's funny. It says enough said, but I don't think that All My Trials really doesn't explain much. Uh, no, it doesn't. 
<laughs> like, like I, and you know what? Probably when they're making this book, as we'll see a little bit later, maybe they don't even have a clue what's coming. They might not. They might. Not. Maybe it's not on the dartboard. <laughs> now, before we get into the you know bonus features of this issue, uh, what, what did you think of this story? Oh, really? Uh, actually, I, I'm on two minds with this one. I did really enjoy the uh, you know we lost one of one of our team members there, Jaylene. Uh, you know, adept. She passed on, which was which was a big blow. Uh, we got to you know we got to see the teams revel. You know dealing with the fact that they're losing their team members. And then we mm-hmm. got to see these new recruits, which were, which were a bit of fun. I chuckled a lot when sure. I was, uh, when I was reviewing them there, you know, the fight was a little, little messy and scrappy, but, uh, overall I definitely enjoyed this book. It's, uh, extremely long winded, <laughs> but, it uh, is. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's definitely not one of the worst chapters in the entire series. Uh, just a, just a fun, a fun go through here for sure. Yeah. And, and, and like, like we were saying here, we did, uh, we did have a little bit of fun with these new characters, but, I really think that the way we were introduced to them and the fact that they are like semi generic and they do feel like a few of these characters are only there to replace characters we've lost. I yep. think we're supposed to have like an adversarial adversal sort of feeling towards them. We're supposed to feel like these people are interlopers, you know, like they don't, what did they do to, to earn this? You know, how is, how is, uh, what's her fit? How is, I don't remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> the, the new Robert Brava. Oh, Brava, like, yeah. What? It's like, wh- why should we like Brava? And you know, why why should we let Ra- Brava take over for Robert? You know, we get like that kind of territorialism. And it I, is. I, I think it's, that's. It's, yeah, it's I true. think that that's intentional. I think I, I hope it is because uh, otherwise I'm a very petty individual. <laughs> <laughs> no, because and easily swayed by fiction. One one of the things that I think is happening here is that I think we're starting to lose a sense of our team because yeah. we really we really grew up with the uh, well you know within one year anyway. Sure. It's 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 funny because they've just gone through an entire year, which is basically one full moratory cycle with the team, and they're basically killing them all off. So you know we're starting to see as readers the moratory process with this entire book as a whole. It's yep. almost like an analogy for the, for the title itself. So, you know, the old, the out with the old in with the new, whether we like them or not. And one thing I will say is that more and more, every single issue, the second generation is scaredy cat toxin and Pilar are growing on me more and more. So I'm, I'm, sure. I'm enjoying their presence. And the fact that we brought in another half dozen of the other ones really says that, you yeah. know, business is picking up. Yeah. Business is picking up. Yeah, even like uh, like Will Deguchi here is coming into his own, and he actually feels as weird as it is to say he feels like a veteran. You know, he feels like someone that's been with us for far longer than he actually has. And uh, I mean, what what do we have from our original team here now? Two characters? Is it just it's just Aileen and Louis? Yes, man. There were, we're yeah. down to two. Two. That's wild. That's wild. But yeah, I, I echo a lot of your thoughts here. This was. Uh, um, I don't know that this needed to be double sized. I don't even know if the main story was double sized for for all we know, uh, with all the add-ons. But uh, it did feel a, a bit long. Um, the 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 scenes. It seemed like there was just a lot of different scenes here, you know, that could have been fleshed out further in subsequent issues or something. But you know, I, I guess we can only complain about decompression <laughs> so much, where it's good to get a lot of information at once. So. Uh, Basically disregard everything I just said, um, but I I, <laughs> I thought the fight was uh, the fight was good in that um, I mean Yuri here we have Yuri who's a pretty interesting cat um, 
he's it looks like he was like chomping at the bit to hear that neon is dead like oh yeah definitely. he's like answering the phone as soon as like is it, is it my turn now is it my turn now and the first thing he does is he sends this untrained group against the people that they trained you know against the the people that the padilla trained to be killing machines fighting aliens they're sending these brand new fresh-faced dying people to fight the people that they had trained to do their job. It's very weird and it doesn't seem well thought out and it almost seems like a publicity stunt. It's a, it that's really, exactly what I thought as well. It seemed yes. like it was just orchestrated to, mm-hmm. you know, just cause news because everything around this whole episode, you have the media outside, they're swarming, yeah. there's autograph seekers. So it's almost like a stunt. And I think that's what Yuri yeah. is, uh, as a commander, wanted spectacle to, de- to debut his yeah. new team, right? Yeah, because there's that, that saying, you know, there no, there's no such thing as bad press, you know, and it uh like if you've ever worked somewhere where somebody uh somebody got a position of authority after a little while you know somebody took over for a manager and then all of a sudden like everything everything changes just a little bit like it's nothing that really even you even notice but like suddenly like all the memos need to be reprinted with this person's name on it you know it's like (laughs) and you're wondering it's like why are we wasting why are we wasting ten thousand pieces of paper to print out the same thing with one name changed on it and that's what I'm getting from Yuri here. It's like very superficial change, but he wants everyone to know that there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new commander, uh, you know, was, was sending these poor kids out to do whatever. It's uh, now, it, it now, definitely now, expected. Th- now, now, think about that. How does that parallel the Marvel Universe at this time? What is different here? Hmm. Jim Shooter is gone from the Marvel hmm. Universe. Right? Who takes over his role? Who takes over Jim Shooter? Two-fisted Tom DeFalco. <laughs> Kicker's Inc. Mr. Kicker's Inc. Tom DeFalco <laughs> took over. So is this an analogy that we're moving on? We're, you know, we're we're changing the thing, the way we do things here, and you're going to like it, and that's the, you know, and the fans are going to like it. You're going to, we're going to give you five new characters, and you're going to just love them. You're going to eat them alive. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that is a very, very good point. It's a... Because, I mean, you know, moving Shooter aside and putting DeValco into the seat was not done quietly. <laughs> Definitely not. Oh, my God. I I picture that whole ordeal. You know, when it says that Jim's, you know, when you hear memos that, oh, so-and-so stepped down or has, sure. you know, gone into a new role. You're like, you know, it's a thinly veiled thing. No, I, I think they had to physically remove Jim Shooter from Marvel offices, kicking and screaming. <laughs> and I bet he punched a couple of them along the way, too. I want to I want to hope so. Yeah. And he, and he slapped the secretary on the ass on the way out and asked for a coffee. <laughs> That's what he did. It'll be on the curb. Come on. Now, uh. <laughs> With that, with that all said, uh, we definitely want to hear what you all think about this first year. I mean, we're in the second year now of the issue of the issues here, and it's a uh, it's a very similar book than it was when it started, but it's also wildly different than it was when it started. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But uh, let's get into some of the bonus features of this double sized, double priced issue. We've got the official Strike Force Moratory Handbook, which if you're familiar with like the official handbook of the Marvel universe or like who's who in the DC universe, it's, it's that basically um, the next several pages. It's a pretty decent primer on many things moratory up to this point. We learned a little bit about the Padilla Institute it started off as a school and basically wound up picking up where the United Nations left off where, where, you know, the world was starting to fall apart. Uh, they have representation from uh, 
a lot of places around the world here. We have the USSR, so uh, I guess we can assume there never was like a, a glasnost and uh, you know, yes. fall at this point. Yep. Um, which, I mean, in fairness, it was 1988 when this came out, or 1987 when this came out, so there was none yet. So uh, we also have Asia, we have Canada, we have there the Americas. My, yeah. my Canadian brothers who just got nuked in this book, by the way. And I don't know why can Canada and the Americas are separate. We're, we're on the same continent. Um, we also have Europe. We have Australia and Oceania. Or Oceania. I've never been able to say that word. And also Africa. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's... I mean, that's an interesting group of countries we got there. But sure. we're going to move on right there to the Black Watch. I mean, can, how can we beat this... Any, any more to death than we can. I mean, starting on issue one, we had Harold. And, I mean, yep. Harold carried around the last stand of the Black Watch comic book. Everything in the first four to five issues centered around people's passion for the original moratory group, the Black Watch. I mean, we've seen their origins. We've seen their deaths over and over and over. We might as well just list them. Yep. So we got good old Mr. Clinton Rogers. I mean, he was a farmer from Decanter, Kansas. That's about pretty well all we know about him. Yep. We got... Woodrow Joshua Green, now good old Woodrow, he was a, he was Canadian, he was from mm-hmm. Toronto, Ontario, and he was an industrial designer, that that served him well, didn't it, he gave up that career <laughs> too soon, then we got Bruce Higashi, <laughs> boy, did he have the right job, he was from Hiroshima, Japan, and he was a stress therapist, now mm. there was a couple there that we didn't really even get to see, so ones we brought back in like the recruit storyline, Aaron Ray Leonard. Was that anything to do with Sugar Ray Leonard? I would say it did. Probably. Then we also then we had Patricia Lynn Sobrero. And they mm-hmm. both died in the garden. You know. They they said the the surviving trio only had literally one mission. They right. were literally Yes, they infiltrated the horde base in Cape Town, South Africa, and that's literally the last thing we saw of them. Mm-hmm. That's the you only know, it, mission they had. Like yes. you hear them like like the like the legacy of the Black Watch and like the the regal majesty of the Black Watch that came before, and you figure that these dudes were just like kicking ass around the country, around the world. They had one mission, one. Oh yeah, and they blew it. <laughs> Not only did they blew it, but they had an entire nation praising these guys. I mean, these guys were these guys got wholesale slaughtered. Legends, yeah. But the media actually spun their efforts and mm-hmm. you know created them like iconic heroes that were celebrated propaganda and everybody heroes. wanted to be yeah they were propaganda heroes they wanted to be everybody wanted to be the black watch mm-hmm. everybody did and we saw this you know we saw the the one mission that they had in like the, the crappiest issue we had which was the cats issue mm-hmm. we saw rogers who was killed in battle we saw woody he succumbed to the process while escaping on a ship with bruce and poor old higashi Hagoshi, depends on which way they spell it is <laughs> assumed to have perished in the resulting ship crash, but we learned a little something a little bit later there. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we we actually we actually did learn something. There was only one mission, folks. Yeah, that's all they had. <laughs> uh, we have another page here, which is the Roll of Honor, and this is just a list of the frontliners that we've lost over the course of the past thirteen issues, and it includes Lorna Rayburn. We know her as Snapdragon. I believe she passed in issue four or five. Uh, Harold Everson, Viking, he died in issue six. Robert Greenbaum, Marathon, he died last issue, issue 12. And uh, Jaylene Anderson, Adept, who passed this very issue. Uh, now we go to the most boring page. Um, <laughs> anytime you look at one of these, like, 
you know, who's who's or like the uh, the G.I. Joe special strategy, whatever the hell they used to call them, where they just list the characters. They'd always have those pages where it's the equipment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yes. Oh, it's so dull. Um, what were we they called? Have... The, the, the G.I. Joe ones, was it called Call to Order or something? Whatever it was. I can't remember something what like, the Order of Battle or Order some... of Battle. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is basically just a page showing the Horde ships and it's very dull. We've got uh, the small range two man bumble bomber. We got the short, the small range dart ship. Uh, we got two large scale spacefaring quote home ships. Uh, one measure, measures 15 miles in length, the other 10 miles in length. Uh, we got some mid range uh, flying apparati here. We have uh, the scorpion strafer slash bomber, and it looks like a scorpion. Of course. Uh, yeah, and we also got the breach assault ship, which looks like a random generic ship. They, they all look like put, random generic ships. They do. They're like super generic. They've got like parts of familiar spaceships, but they're, I don't know. It's just something not well thought out. It was like, here, here's a design. We'll go with that. We'll call it something. We have an extra page. Can you fill it? Sure. <laughs> Speaking of filling pages, we also go through <laughs> the known alien races. We meet the Melodar or the cats, as we call them. Unfortunately, we met those folks mm. in a horrendous issue. The only issue that I despise of this entire series so far. Absolutely. We also met the healers. Now, these were these gross things that actually caused people's skin to seal up over their faces, <laughs> which was uh, they were they were rough, man. That was one of my favorite ep- uh, issues as well. Yep. We got to see the translators, which were basically complete ripoffs of face huggers from aliens. And they, the horde, for some reason, wear them sometimes. What they do with them, I've got no idea. <laughs> But I don't. I, I fear. I shudder to think what they do with those face huggers. Maybe to use them for hugging elsewhere. I don't know. Could anyway, be. then we have the tall ones. You know, they were the race we saw when the horde slaughtered during the cats issue. So mm-hmm. absolutely, the, the unfortunate cats issue, which keeps popping back up. Then finally, we have the uh, the actual backup feature here, and uh, this one is a uh, you know a short story here. It's called How Peter and Brent Create and Destroy. Strike Force Muraturi, and uh, <laughs> it's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's a, a satirical look at how the folks behind this book put everything into motion in uh, you know, creating this book and the characters and all that good stuff. And uh, it's still drawn by Brent Anderson, but it is a far more cartoony Brent Anderson. And uh, the issue, or the story at least, opens in Chicago, and we enter Peter B. Gillis's astoundingly messy office. <laughs> now is gillis the guy you said that looked like the uh the new commander yuri yeah yeah you know what it definitely if, if anyone has this mm-hmm. there's definitely definitely the inspiration is definitely there 100 yeah. and his his office is a disaster now oh it's awful. i don't i don't know if he's in a like a, a loss prevention office or something because he <laughs> has like a million monitors which i have no idea why he would have that there he does. He does. I, I don't know if he maybe he likes white noise. Maybe he likes uh, combative, uh, you know, <laughs> audio, audio uh, stimuli. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> now we, we can see here that he is a Mac user because he has a how to outsmart your Mac book or something like that. Oh, of course he does. Of course he does. Now, he also has several televisions, as you mentioned, on the back in on in the background. And he's currently watching a lot of different shows here. He's got I Love Lucy on one. He's got Star Trek on another. The Cat in the Hat on another. He's playing Pac-Man on one. Uh, there's some game show, I think, on one. Uh, one screen just says, humans mean nothing, which uh, I, I think that's just some existential cliche to maybe show us how deep he is. Uh, 
unless it's a reference to like some obscure sci-fi show that I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I haven't heard of that before. Maybe our uh, our listeners can help us out. Yeah. Humans mean nothing. What does it mean? Help us with that. So one of the things that I see on the reference shelf as well, he's got like a ton of stuff on his bookshelf, which I noticed. And it's, there's tons of Fantastic Four stuff, but there's a lot of different things there as well. So mm-hmm. some of the books say, like, for example, Dead Languages. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> Mystery in Space, Strange Tales, Thor. But they also have an interesting one, and it's the Rocketeer. Yep, it's true. Not, it's not true. even not even a Marvel book, but they, they've got it there, which is kind of cool. And they've also got a book that says Herbie. Mm-hmm. The Could Fat you... Fury, you think? I I I don't know. Is it related to the uh, the ill-fated Herbie the robot from the Fantastic Four cartoon back in the Could day? Be. And Could then be. there's a book that we don't know the name of. We only see a portion of the spine, and you only see S E X as the last words. Oh, mm. how cute! Wah, wah, wah. What a pervert! Yeah. What <laughs> what a pervert! I say. <laughs> Up in the corner, he's also got the Orson Welles fan club book or not a book a a poster which yeah. looks a lot like Him. peter gillis <laughs> informs his uh style choices <laughs> really weird anyway now that we got that out of the way we shift over to good old brent and boy brent is just he looks like the most relaxed guy in the world mm-hmm. he's just lounging in his san diego studio apartment and he's being attended to like all these voluptuous or just one voluptuous women and boy does she look good in her leopard print bikini woohoo mm-hmm. <laughs> Good old Brent. I knew he was a cool dude, see? But yep, one thing yep. that strikes out at uh, at Brent, what's one thing you notice about Brent here? It's kind of mustache. The porn stash. <laughs> here we are wondering this entire time, you know, where why all these people have the stashes. You know, why are the, why are these characters being drawn with these pencil thin porn stashes? Now the entire know. time, yes, Mr. Brent Anderson actually has one. Oh man. <laughs> Oh, man. On his desk, he's also got how to draw pictures of April Campbell. Now, I don't know what that means or who that is, but interesting piece of little thing there. It's a very different vibe for sure compared to uh, Peter's office. But uh, Brent ain't feeling it. He's burned out from all the deadline pressure. And uh, you know what? I don't know why he's burned out because the shooter just left. So the wheels are off this thing here now. He should. That's probably why he's relaxing. He's actually on chain from his desk the first time while Shooter had it. But anyway, hopefully this doesn't mean that the rest of his the rest of this book will be drawn by Will Sportacio. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Anyway, Peter tells him that he's got a buck up, Buttercup. Otherwise, they're going to face the wrath of Jim. No, Carl Potts. Mm-hmm. Now, now I don't know about you, but when you think about Jim Shooter, it's like a really razor sharp name, Shooter. Oh, yeah. Then you got Carl Potts. Very soft. <laughs> anyway, Peter shares his idea for the next double size or the double size issue that we just read, Strike Force Moratory number three, and it says we'll have six new characters come in and fight the old ones. We'll call it When Titans Clash. You know, it's taken literally right out of a book of like how to make attractive comic book stories from, you know, old Stan Lee ideas, you know, which also has a footnote of thanks to Stan Lee there as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Brent, Brent is down with creating new characters. And while preparing a martini suggests, why not go for an even dozen? We can do 12. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Peter assures him that six is more than enough. Uh, in the background of Peter's panel here, it's funny. We see pictures of the original Moriturri's on the wall. 
Some of them, the dead ones, have darts embedded in them. Oh, which, man. Which might inform us how these decisions might be made. You know, which one's going to die? Throw a dart. Boom. Oh, Harold's going, you know. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, now, Brent heads out to the beach, but not before lambasting a woman, maybe his wife, for cutting his sandwich the wrong way. Ooh. And I, and I got to wonder, if assuming you do cut your sandwiches in half, how do you do it? Do you do straight across or diagonal? Okay, so as a kid... As a kid growing up, going to school, it was always like diagonal. Okay. okay. It was always, I had corner to, have, to corner. Like, corner to corner. That's how I always used to cut it. Funny as an adult, I like that thing cut right down the middle. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. why that is. I feel I get more sandwich and less, uh, less Air. crust. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> know what it is, but I, I, I'm a hat. I'm, I'm an in the middle guy right now. How about yourself? You know, I, I'll do it straight across usually unless I feel fancy, and then I'll go corner to corner to make it look fancy. I, I don't take pictures <laughs> of my food like so many people do these days. I, I should when I do a sandwich, though, because now when I'm making a cheesy. when I'm making a grilled cheese, I like mm-hmm. to have cut on the diagonal and not in the middle. Mm-hmm. Weird. Okay. Okay. It's really strange. I don't I, eat I'm, grilled cheese. Oh, I can't. Man. I can't do hot cheese. I don't know why. I, I could do hot cheese like an Italian food or on a pizza, but I can't do just like straight hot cheese. <laughs> what have you been doing with your life, Sheehan? <laughs> I, 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 I don't eat cheeseburgers. I only eat hamburgers. I don't eat yeah. che- like che- cheese hot dogs. It's always just regular. It's, now, yeah. I went to, I'm going to call a place out and I, I, I can't stand it. It's called TGI Fridays in Canada. Okay. Okay. Now, it's, I, it's I, went a place. On, I, went, I went, yeah, I went on a business trip. And uh, I wanted a cheeseburger. Everything mm-hmm. on the menu was always something. There was always something there I didn't like or was a specialty thing or something okay. like that. So I'm looking at the menu and I'm like, okay, cheeseburger and fries. Nailed it. Got it. Perfect. Write the book. Anyway, out comes the cheeseburger, okay? Now it's a nice thick sandwich, you know, really, really nice impressive piece of meat in the middle. But on top of my damn burger is mm. actually cut up cheese from a block. Like it's just sliced like, and put on okay. top. Okay. So it wasn't was, melted or it was not melted. It was still hard. It was melting as I ate it. And I was like, what is this crap? I was like, I asked for, do you have just processed cheese? And no, we don't use processed cheese here. We use cheese slices, real cheese. And I'm like, this tastes like shit. <laughs> I literally said that. <laughs> it was garbage. It was anyway, it was one of those things where, and my wife always tells me that I'm a pain in the ass when it comes to restaurants. So, mm-hmm. you know, I always challenge people. So if there's something I don't like, I'll just tell them, hey, you know what? This is really not. And I'm, and I'm pretty good with it up front. But sure. when it gets to the second or third time, I, I get increasingly nasty. Oh, yes. but this this drove me crazy because I had already sent one meal back because I didn't like it. Oh, because Oh, here's what it was. So I'm a nacho connoisseur. OK, it's mm-hmm. right on my Twitter profile. I eat nachos. They brought out nachos. They had the wrong cheese on it. There was no jalapenos. There was no peppers. It tasted like ratchet ass. It was garbage. So I sent that back. I said, I just want a cheeseburger. Thank you. And they screwed that up too. Chris, I'm still angry over that right now. I got to be honest with you. So that's, 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 that's my bread cutting incident. Move on. <laughs> anytime i go to it's uh, moving like from new york to uh to arizona or actually anywhere outside of new york um you know every week we'd go to mcdonald's you know yeah it's just a thing you do and uh, i would always order like uh just the regular the hamburgers you know it's, yes. i think like one of the yep. value meals was like two hamburgers you know Perfect. so i would order that and you know I, we came out here and i order it one thing about new york that they don't do anywhere else i've been in this country where i bought a hamburger 
they don't put mustard on a hamburger in New York. And that's the way I like it because I don't even let mustard in my house. I hate <laughs> mustard that much. I, I, if There are two things that I don't allow in my house. It's mustard and ranch dressing. I hate them Ooh. both. Oh, wow. So, like if I have. If I have like friends or family over who want that, it's like okay, well you bring your own mustard or you bring your own your your own ranch. I don't buy that stuff. That stuff doesn't go in my fridge. It doesn't mingle with my food. Oh my! Don't do it. But uh, yeah, going to McDonald's, they put mustard on hamburgers out here, and I well, they, I, I they, flipped. They, oh, they do here as well. Absolutely. Oh, I flipped out. I'm like, what the hell is this? I didn't ask for mustard, and they're like, mustard comes on. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It's what are you to be, talking about? It's supposed to be ketchup, some slimy pickles, and like yeah, some onion bits. And it's, no, no, we put mustard on it. And it's so really everywhere strange. I go. <laughs> yeah. So so what do you do now? So when you go anywhere else, you specifically ask, do you? I have to. Yeah, I have to be the biggest like baby pain in the ass. And I, I don't eat at fast food places anymore uh, since I started my weight loss regimen. I, I, I haven't had McDonald's in years. But uh, like if we're at a restaurant and I'll buy, I'll get a hamburger or something, it'll be like – it always has to start with like, what do you put on your hamburger? And they're like, oh well, we put this, 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 this. Okay, I don't want any of that. <laughs> well, or I'll just say, I'll just say, let's start with a dry hamburger. And they'll look at me like I got three heads. I'm like, no, no, we're gonna do this piece by piece. And it's like, what kind of lettuce do you have? Like, you have those big leaves or you have shredded? Oh, big leaves. Okay, I don't want that. I don't want the big leaf because that that thing just comes out as soon as you bite into it. It's like I don't want tomatoes. Okay, what kind of onions do you use? Do you use like slimy ones or like or like raw ones? Oh, we use raw ones. Okay, cool. Put them on there. It's like oh yeah, oh, yeah. oh man, I'm a raw onion guy as well, no doubt. Yeah. So do you, do you guys don't have Harvey's restaurant there, do you? Where you make your own burgers? No, no, we okay, have Fuddruckers, so, which is sim- similar. Okay, so we have Harvey's here in Canada, and what mm-hmm. Harvey's does, they it's it's basically Subway of burgers. So you okay. go in and there's a whole buffet thing where you can add all the stuff. However, yeah, like you don't you don't rock. touch it. You still have to tell the person that, you know, They'll I want I want this and I want two jalapenos and I want this and I want this and I want this. But it would make your, you know, it makes your perfect hamburger. You know what I mean? Sure. And the slogan is Harvey's makes your hamburgers a beautiful thing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there. I'm sponsored. <laughs> this this episode sponsored by Harvey's. There you go. Mm-hmm. Folks. <laughs> and Fuddruckers. Why not? Yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> But yes, I, I am a major pain in the ass ordering food. And uh, my wife says that if I ever ordered anything over a uh, like a drive through, like I uh, my accent, I guess, really comes out. <laughs> Indeed. And she's like, no one can understand what you just said. I'm like, I, it's like I said, no cheese, no mustard. What's wrong with that? They're like, no, no, she, they, they did not understand you. And sure enough, she's always right. <laughs> and then I go in and like, like I asked for this without cheese or mustard. It's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, I did. Really did, <laughs> but yes. Back to our story. Yes. <laughs> now we have here, um, Brent asks why the Mori Tories, because we're going back to the story here. Why are they going to be fighting each other? And Peter kind of loses his cool here, and he just says, "Don't worry about it. You know, they're fighting. Don't worry about it." Which really feels like the way comics might be written in 2020. Don't oh, worry about boy. anything. Just make it happen. You know. I think this is exactly how the any of the DC versus Marvel crossovers ever happened. <laughs> it's like, just, don't even think about it. Just do they're it. They're just going to fight. Don't worry about the details yet. <laughs> now, Brent goes waiting in the waters, and he readies to create the new characters. Uh, Peter digs through his drawers, tossing a Doctor Strange cape out of the way, looking for something. Back in San Diego, Brent is also looking for something. Now, it turns out that that something was darts, more darts. Now, Brent tosses... <laughs> 
<laughs> Brent dozes the first dart at a wall, and it sticks in a post-it note that reads, Physical Strength. So now we know the powers of this first new character. <laughs> Peter fires a dart with a slingshot into another set of post-its on the wall, which lands on Spanish. So now we know their nationality. We might be talking about Brava here, I think. Um, Now, Brent asks what his name will be. What is this new character? What's his name going to be? Which prompts Peter to look over his shoulder at a poster of Chris Claremont. Now, (laughs) Chris Claremont is doing the the classic Uncle Sam, like, I want you pose. (laughs) And the words (laughs) under him reads, Claremont says, is there any reason it can't be a woman? (laughs) <laughs> this is very 2020 of them it's very 2020 and peter suggests that they call her dominica so yes oh, this man. was the creation of brava we have just seen the conception and the creation <laughs> of brava and after three hours of dart throwing later we've got a fully flushed out team <laughs> <laughs> include such traits as socks must always match yes <laughs> and and has bad breath. Now, which one of these team members do you think has bad breath? I think we're just going to go ahead and guess. Hard it's case. hard. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. got that halitosis. <laughs> oh, man. I've got a guy at work right now who eats garlic <laughs> who eats garlic all the time. And he eats it in front of everybody. And it it's one of those things where, like, you know how Steve Ditko smells like <laughs> rotten onions? Same thing. It just He just reeks out of his pores. And, like, doesn't matter if he was in the elevator. He can't get in there for, like, five minutes. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> creeping death and nobody's got the guts including me as a store manager i don't want to tell him but anyway there you go <laughs> anyway good old brent he's back on the beach he's lounging out in a hammock after a grueling day of work and i you know grueling in quotation marks <laughs> peter is sort of dressed like henry the eighth there and he's feasting on some turkey legs to celebrate a job well done uh, okay then <laughs> but the only thing left to do is to decide who dies and of course uh, but before they can do that, another phone rings, and it's good old Carl Potts, the editor. Now, he's calling with just a gentle reminder that this book is running late. Now, the difference between Carl Potts and Jim Shooter is that there would be no gentle reminder. You know, <laughs> these these guys would not be on a beach. They would not be in different offices. They're chained they'd be, to a desk. They'd be knocking on DC's door at this point. Yes, they would have, like japanese water torture done to them you know they'd be getting they'd be making sure that this book ain't running late so anyway i don't even recall this book being late do you no it's not no no, no, i'm pretty sure it wasn't anyway brent and peter each throw a dart you know which hits a photo of carl potts oh poor carl potts Mm. carl potts was 35 years old Oh. oh poor guy (laughs) <laughs> oh, now uh yeah that's uh that's the story portion and uh it was silly it was fun um not sure i would have wanted to spend the extra you know money on it but uh yeah it was what it was back in no, the, the 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 extras it was this was definitely a cash grab i don't know why they didn't do this in issue 12 or 10 or something just to make it yeah seem like it was something special nope issue um, i guess it was unlucky 13 there you go yeah it almost feels like like this was like maybe supposed to be an annual I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe bet you, I bet you you're dead on with that. Could be. Yeah. Um, now for the rest of the book here, the unstory pages here, do you think we have a letters page? Hell no. <laughs> no letters page. <laughs> that that would, uh, that would actually mean that they would have to get letters for, <laughs> for the, for this book that nobody seems to know existed back in the day. It's true. Uh, you think it came with a bullpen bulletins? <laughs> Hell no, it did not. No, but, uh, sir. 
But your boys ain't going to leave you high and dry here. We actually dug through our long boxes to find another Marvel book with a December 1987 cover date in order to bring you the goods. So, yes, we do have bullpen bulletins. No, it wasn't in this book. Uh, (laughs) Now, as always, our bullpen bulletins start with a quote of the month. And it is, I admire you, Daredevil. I admire your relentless concern for the rights of scum. But I ain't you. Ooh, and, uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, uh, it comes from Wolverine in uh, Daredevil number 249. <laughs> oh, I got to do the next part. It's all about two-fisted <laughs> kicker's ink <laughs> celebrity, <laughs> Mr. Tom DeFalco, as he's getting comfortable in his new role as editor-in-chief, and he enlists. No, no, no not editor. Enlists. I changed it here. I changed oh, his title. Editor-in-chief. <laughs> <laughs> he's the editor-in-chief. <laughs> And he enlists two times, two-time butt-diving champion, Mr. Mark Grunewald, as his number two. Well, God bless him. And Mark will keep up his regular duties while assuming many, many more, I'm sure. Probably probably without a pay increase along the way. <laughs> so he's now, like, the character coordinator for Marvel. I don't know what that means, but that seems like a kick in the ass for sure. <laughs> so if Wolverine already starts appearing in 87 books a week, we, we know who's to blame right now. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, in other news, we have uh, Mary Marvel staffers Jumpin' Jack Morelli and our very own chromatic Christy Max Scheel have gotten married. I didn't know Max Scheel was a woman. I didn't either. Actually, I honestly thought it was a dude, but I guess not. I thought they were two different people because sometimes it's Christy Scheel, sometimes it's Max Scheel. So I thought maybe they were husband and wife or brother and sister or something. I guess that that'll that's what you get for assuming. I guess um, you know what you know what assuming does to us, brother. It's true. It's true. Uh, we also learned that Danson Don Perlin has become a grandfather, so congratulations, Mazel Tov. Um, Chris Claremont, he wrote a science fiction novel called First Flight. Mm. Now, if you go into that expecting anything like the X Men, you're going to be disappointed. I've never read it. Have you? I looked at it. It <laughs> <laughs> was a crap. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, yeah. Now, also, if you feel as though Chris Claremont is already too wordy as it is, ain't seen <laughs> nothing yet. Uh, our final piece of news is that Stanley is uh, busy making movies and TV shows still. Uh, yes. Of course, none of these came out until very, 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 very late in the future. But uh, he's out there making them. So, well, which, which seemed to be like a running gag in the bullpen bulletins, like throughout the 80s and into the 90s. It's like, oh, Stan's in Hollywood. He's kicking ass in Hollywood. <laughs> Boy, was he making some classics here. The Punisher and Captain America. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Up next is our profile of good old karate kid legend Ralph Macchio. Oh, wait. Uh, not, oh, that one. not that one. Not that guy. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, his gig, he's the editor on Captain America, Daredevil. Fantastic Four and Thor. That's a laundry mm. list there, brother. Now, his, fast, his past freelance credits include Marvel 2 and 1, which I couldn't stand. Doctor Strange, <laughs> garbage. Uh, Thor, trash. Kiss 2. <laughs> Whatever Kiss that 2. <laughs> <laughs> and there was also a Black Widow strip in Marvel Fanfare and Solomon Kane. Boy. Ooh. Ooh, how did he how did he get to the big leagues getting on cap and daredevil and all that stuff when all he did was that dredge i don't know anyway his current freelance work (laughs) and we made fun of this one was avengers but not the avengers you remember back in the day folks nope the crappy ones that didn't sell five issues back in the 80s (laughs) then we had the marvel movie adaptations which were like house two (laughs) now his hobbies include tennis 
which is which is understandable. Like I sure. I don't I don't mind a game of tennis before I got fat. I really did enjoy the tennis. <laughs> and uh quoting the honeymooners, you know. Ravi boy. To the moon, Alice, to the moon. <laughs> Watching pugilist exhibition pugilistic exhibitions, sorry. So boxing matches, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And my personal favorite, hanging signs on Danny Fingerot's back. Oh, just those those hijinks of those Marvel stuff. Oh, those rascals. Mm. Oh my god. <laughs> Look at him putting a sign on his back. Well, that's incredibly funny. Classic. <laughs> Vintage <laughs> Ralph Macchio. <laughs> <laughs> so his pet peeves are coming to work before noon. Wow. How's that a pet peeve? I, I guess Jim Shooter did run a tighter ship. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like traffic. I don't know who does. And he doesn't hmm. like baseball fans. Hmm. Hmm. So well, he, came, was, he was born in Queens, right? So he's probably a Mets fan, which... As a Mets fan, you grow not to like baseball fans too much because they're always making fun of you for being a Mets fan. <laughs> now, his greatest accomplishment was playing bumper tag with William Shatner on the Jersey Turnpike. Hmm. I'm not sure if that's anything like butt diving, but who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite as prestigious. Uh, it might be it might be similar, but not as prestigious. <laughs> now, his oddest habit, he likes to replace staples with paper clips. We all have our fetishes. Now, when you ask this guy, you know, why did he choose comics? Well, he had nothing better to do after grad school. How about that? That's inspiration. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's what you want as one of your uh, your top brass in your company, I would say. Now, in other news, good old Ralph would also like us to know that he went to grad school. Ooh, mm-hmm. look at you, big boy. <laughs> <laughs> High school people thought Ralph was quiet and dangerous. Uh-huh. Dangerous. When when someone puts on your yearbook that you're dangerous, chances are that uh, you know you're going to end up on the evening news doing some horrible act of indecency somewhere. <laughs> and here we go. This is my favorite. Here we go. Here we go. Remember we talked about last time when you know people always put in like a book that they've read and it's always got to be something like oh, high yeah. end or high Infinite art. Infinite jest. Yes. <laughs> Infinite <laughs> jest. Well, his last book that he read that he didn't read, by the way, was called. <laughs> <laughs> was called. Papa was called uh, Papa John by John Phillips. It was an autobiography about the band The Mamas and the Papas. Look mm-hmm. at you. Look at you. <laughs> wow. The last good book he didn't read. <laughs> yes, exactly. The last good movie he saw was The Untouchables. I'm not a um, I'm not a gangster movie guy, but The Untouchables was fine enough. They had a huge cast in that thing. His favorite mm-hmm. performers were boxer Sugar Ray Leonard. So I think mm. that's why uh, maybe in one of these books we actually have a Ray Leonard in here. Yeah. He likes John McEnroe, which is, you know, the fiery tennis player back in the day. Sean Connery, which was Zardoz, our personal favorite guy, who likes his, his, his ball snugged up in his little red uh, mankini <laughs> thing. And Sigourney Weaver, who I always found un, unusually hot. <laughs> it's funny. I spelled her name wrong in the Google Doc, and it, oh, yeah. it auto-corrected for me. So Sigourney was in there. Yeah, I was very pleased with that. She will not be misspelled Sigourney or anything like that. No, it will not be done. Anyway, who'd play him in a movie? Duh. (laughs) His name is Ralph Macchio. Uh... (laughs) The Karate Kid. Uh, His influences? Stan Lee, because you have to put that there at this time. You have to. Uh, Ed Norton. Mr. Billy. And Big Willie Shakespeare, a whole lot of Shakespearean dialogue and themes in that little house too adaptation back in the day. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Hot garbage right there. His unfulfilled ambition in in comics, create a villain as good as Doctor Doom. Well, you failed on that one. 
What what villain did he create that was of any use? Do you remember any? Nobody. <laughs> Nada. So you <laughs> failed on that one. Uh, worst part of his gig is taking phone calls from jerks. <laughs> wonder if he's, if he's got any particular jerks in, in mind. I don't know. But anyway, when nobody's looking, Ralph works. Oh. Yeah. This these guys are, I don't know, they're sticks in the mud. What should we know about Ralph? Ralph's got high political ambitions. Ralph <laughs> Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio for 2020. There you go. Mm-hmm. He'll replace Trump. He's huge. <laughs> Macchio's got the he's got the style, he's got the charisma, he's he's got everything. He's he's, he's, he's gonna do it. <laughs> why don't you why don't you run us through the old uh, mighty marvel checklist, Mr. Sheehan? The mighty Marvel checklist, our final well, our final bit before the ads, anyway. Uh, Strike Force Murtery number 13 gets a blurb. Shot your face. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this wasn't in Strike Force Murtery number 13, but <laughs> hey, they, they, they shared the wealth here. We get double special double-sized issue with a 30-page story, background on the Murtery universe, and more. AKA, we didn't read it. <laughs> basically, basically. <laughs> now, I only included this next one because I know you have a soft spot for it. The three Spider-Man titles are In the Mad Dog Ward. Oh, did I hate this era of Spider-Man. It's literally the only comic that I've ever manually destroyed with my bare hands. <laughs> I could not stand the cover art. I did not like the storyline. And then I get on Twitter and I see these asshats. Oh, my God. Spider-Man in the, in the Mad Ward. Mad Dog Ward is the best. And I'm thinking, you're an asshole. That's all I can think of. It just... Shut up. You everybody knows that was garbage. The only reason that you got this book is because you bought it in a twenty-five cent bin because your dad was cheap. That's all. That's the only reason. <laughs> Move on from that crap. Oh boy. Uh next one. We're only mentioning this for one specific particular reason. It's four, number three hundred and eighty-six. And it says new creative team, a new direction, and Thor's dead already. (laughs) They weren't long killing him off after shooter. No, no. And and this comes to us from our new editor in cheese himself, Tom (laughs) Nafalco. He did kickers. (laughs) He did kickers. Um, Captain America number three thirty six, the return of dot 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 Steve Rogers. So uh, (laughs) that didn't take long, did it? Shooter's out the door, Steve Rogers is back in right away. It's like, I think like two episodes ago, we talked about Steve Rogers giving up the shield. <laughs> He's back already. Uh, then these two I'm including for a particular reason. Daredevil number 249 with Wolverine. Oh, of course. Listen, Daredevil didn't Daredevil didn't sell a nickel on the uh, on the old spinner rack back in the day, of course. So Hold they that put, thought. Oh, Wolverine, there you go. Hold that thought. Alpha Flight number 53 <laughs> featuring Wolverine. Speaking of not selling a nickel on the, on the spinner rack, Alpha Flight, and I will say, and this this is uh, one of my favorite catch lines as a human being, is that in Canada, nobody gives a shit about Alpha Flight. How about that? Moving on. But looking through these uh, these last two solicits here, I wonder where that character coordinator is at when we need them, right? We got Wolverine showing up in at least two books that aren't his home books at this point in a given in a given week or a month here. It's wild stuff here. Uh, now we've got not many ads. A lot of the ads were the same as the ones we uh, we've been covering uh, last month. Uh, we do have a Chips Ahoy ad, which is one of those like fold in ads, like the old yeah. Mad Magazine things. Those are pretty cool. I always love those. So this yeah, so, one, this, yeah, this, one you, this one you fold in, 
And so it's basically the whole picture, if you could picture this, it's someone with a Chips Ahoy cookie in their hand, and it's got portion of their wrist, okay? So when you fold it in, his wrist cuff is actually a bit of a bitten cookie, so it looks like you took a bite of your cookie. Mm-hmm. And you have little, so, like, lines, like yeah, you know, sound so, lines from biting so, that cookie. So then after you ruin your comic, <laughs> you quickly realized, oh, it's just a cookie bite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now and, you're... Uh, now your moratory number 13, which was exactly 25 cents and a quarter bin, is not even worth that in real life because you folded a cookie, you idiot. <laughs> now, this actually comes with a riddle. It's uh, how many bites of a Chips Ahoy, cook- Chips Ahoy exclamation point chocolate chip cookie does it take before you bite a chip? Mm. I'm going to guess one, right? It, it, it doesn't give us an answer. <laughs> it gives us just the picture. but uh, The answer will appear. It will. It will. Um, we have a really cool Fall of the Mutants ad here. It's like, oh, it's really awesome. It's here, like a horizon shot with just a pile of dead mutants um, uh, just lined up going into the horizon line here. It's really, really cool stuff here. Uh, I remember. Question for you. So out of this entire photo with all the uh, all the mutants that are dead, how many of those those uh, mutants that are in the photo actually died in this crossover? I don't think any of them did. You are correct, sir. Steal my money and call me Andy. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw this ad, I was uh, when I was collecting the the ElfQuest uh, Marvel Epic comics, and God, this this ad brought me in every damn time. It's just yeah. it's just a really good love ad. It. Here. I do. It's really cool. I'd love to own the original art for this. It's awesome. Oh yeah, and it, I'm looking at it now. We've got Artie Maddox in there. <laughs> Little yeah, Artie. That's pretty cool. Hanging, uh, he's laying on like Psylocke's hip. So, uh, I see that go. up there. That's oh, brutal. <laughs> and then our final ad. We mentioned that we'd have a contest, a zittle contest, which is disgusting. Oh. <laughs> uh, now, uh, this is funny here. You can solve the oxy zittles, and oxy, in turn, might solve your transportation troubles here, transportation problems here. If you're able to answer these, you could find yourself in a Nissan 300ZX. They're giving away a car. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you, I uh, bet you, damn, that it would have like pimples on it, like plastic pimples on the car. <laughs> You're driving down the road. It's the like... Oxymobile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Each of the wheels looks like a pad, you know. <laughs> oh, but uh, yes, uh, the the two questions that you must answer are: What would you call two pimples born on the same day? Oh, very important stuff here. And then the other one is, what do you call a pimple that keeps returning? Okay, what? Are, let's tell us. Solve the riddle. Don't keep our readers in suspense, Chris. Now the thing of this is, I never, I never actually read this ad before <laughs> until <laughs> this morning. And, I bet uh, you the first one is Twimples. It is. It is Twimples. <laughs> um, and I was trying Give to figure a- out what a pimple. What a pimple that keeps returning is. I never could figure that one out. And then I read the ad. And the ad says the missing Ziddle names are cleverly concealed in the paragraphs below. So like 30 years I've been looking at this ad. And I never realized <laughs> the answers were there. I'm a friggin' idiot. <laughs> so what was the but, answer to the, to the one that was returning? Okay, let me try to find it here. Let me try to find it. It is, okay. <sighs> Come back name. Uh, 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 yes it says here uh pimple enemy number one so before the acne you got 
uh, got rid of turns into come back me and pays you a return visit. Start using OxyClean. Wait, <laughs> OxyClean? That's a Billy Mays stuff. Oh, my God. What is happening here? The rip off. Oh, maybe Billy oh. Mays ripped this off. He might have. You might have, oh, yes. I bet he stole the car too. He jacked the oxymobile. <laughs> that's that's how, that's what he did. That's what he did. Yes. Yeah, so uh, now you know you have the answers. So if you want to cut this coupon out, you could print it out or something, cut it out and mail it to uh, to the to the Siddle sweepstakes. <laughs> you know what? It's just it's just as well at this point because you've already ruined your back cover by folding it in to get your stupid uh, chips Cookie ahoy. Chip. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, yes, we have solved the riddle of the Sphinx, the riddle of the Zinx. I don't know. Um, And we have (laughs) covered this book from cover to cover. So all's good. And uh, I I do believe that's uh, that's all we've got this week. Well, that was a that was a boatload of uh, moratory madness right there for uh, for the folks who've been uh, who've been missing us, who've been waiting on the edge, just waiting for episode 13 to roll out. I hope you were super served here today, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, before we do jam out, uh, how about you plug yourself? (laughs) <laughs> I've never been asked me to plug myself before, but I will, <laughs> even if it is on air. No, I'm yes. <laughs> anyway, you can find me over here on uh, on the Twitter machine at our at Charlton underscore hero. You can also find me in my ret- some of my retro ramblings, which uh, which is off and on, <laughs> depending on if we have Superblog team up over at uh, the Superhero Satellite over on WordPress.com. And uh, I might be even hanging out with Mr. Sheehan for a, a little surprise project, which we'll mm-hmm. reveal a little bit later on, maybe. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon, see? Very soon, very soon, yes. Uh, watch this space. There is a, there is something, you know, I, I can't promise it'll be big, but I can promise it'll be long, which... Oh, it will. Might be part of that uh, that Strike Force Moratory parody movie. Um, uh, this is a, a big project, uh, perhaps the most ambitious uh, pod project that I've ever started, and uh, I do look forward to delivering it very soon, sooner than later. Uh, even though just, I have drugged my feet. Just as a little teaser, it's going to be really cool, man. <laughs> hmm. Keeping it real in the field, man. But uh. <laughs> That's about all we've got. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Ace Comics. Um, also, uh, every day at Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. Also, Chris and Reggie.com, Chris and Reggie.Podbean.com on all the noise aggregation sites you can find. And uh, before we jam, just want to thank everyone so, so much for the warm reception last week and uh, for returning this week, uh, assuming you did. If you're listening, you did. So, thank you. Um, really means the world to us. And uh, we. Uh, we really uh, need it in order to keep motivated. So uh, <laughs> definitely, thank you so so much for hanging out with us, choosing to spend part of your day with us. Uh, Absolutely. Yes, and uh, we will uh, bid you adieu, uh, let you get on with your day, and uh, let you know we will talk to you again real real soon. See ya.
total. Salute you. everybody, welcome to episode 14 of Moratory Mondays. Uh, Chris and Chris here to break down the 14th issue of Strike Force Moratory on uh, what is a uh, pretty busy and hectic uh, weekend here at the channel. So, uh, pretty big weekend, but uh, we're moving forward into uh, into our regular Monday fair here. How you doing, Chris? Oh, we're basically essential workers at this point. I think we're, so. We're, we are providing the masses with necessary quarantine required listening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And we I want to thank think, every. Okay. I, I, I think I think we even had that that international border thing going on there, didn't we? I think it's the literally the only thing that uh, that Trump and Trudeau agree on right now is that Moratory Mondays must, must come out every Monday. So. Yes, it's I've true. been told it's, by uh, by Justin. It's been, yes, it's been signed into law. Uh, uh, Governor uh, Doug Ducey of Arizona has uh, has signed it into law here. They closed down all the hair salons and spas, but Moratory Mondays is still open for business. So uh, we want to thank everyone for sticking around and coming back each and every week since we've been back. Uh, this is, uh, I guess you could call this season two, episode three after our uh, long hiatus. But uh, we are keeping them out regular and uh, hoping to continue for the foreseeable Absolutely. future. Um, now, before we get into our issue, uh, we might as well hop into our recruit update. Uh, when last we left, some shady stuff was going on. How about you catch oh. us all up? Oh, boy, did some stuff go down, and we are right in the middle of things. So when we last saw our recruits, we had Med and Dreamscape. Now, they were flanked by the Red Watch and, of course, a very alive Harold Everson leading the charge, a.k.a. Viking. And they returned in a blaze of glory. They're headed via portal to Earth-87. Now, that's the world of the moratory that we know and love in the comic books. And their trip uh, is created via portal by our own moratory recruit, Dreamscape, who brings our team straight into moratory labs, where the process creator himself, uh, Mr. Dr. Tulima, is uh, ready and willing to greet them. But uh, we see something a little bit uh, crazy go off the the charts here. We Mm -hmm. actually get to see Dreamscape suddenly turn heel and cold-bloodedly murders Dr. Tulima right in front of everybody, revealing that the Red Watch and Harold himself, even though he's reborn, is not what they appear. So now poor Med, seemingly now alone, is surrounded by his friends, except they've gone super hostile, and he begs the, uh, the foe Harold to explain what exactly he's doing now. Why has he betrayed the moratory after being reborn? We don't know. You know, he, he betrayed the very cause that he gave his life for. It does, you know, it. Uh, we have some loose ends here, my friend. So sure. Harold, Harold smirks and notes that the very source of the power of the manifestation process of the moratory, the actual power source is the star brand, which we know from U- New Universe fame, and is contained... Mm-hmm. According to their their uh, contacts, it's contained somewhere in this facility. But he said, you need to help us do one further thing. And Harold motions the watch to push Med 
and he forces them at gunpoint towards a large capsule at the back of the research facility. Now, Med has no idea what's happening here. He sees this giant capsule in the back. Med watches in horror, of course, as the Red Watch assassinates all the poor other scientists who were attempting to flee. They all get mowed down, you know, trying to avoid shooting attacks, but they're not successful. So he's watching people die left and right around him, scared for his own life. Harold steps over to the container, and he easily inputs a code, which unlocks the vessel. Now, steam sears out of the corner of the vessel, and the chamber opens, and it reveals a very large Hordian form, very much deceased. Now, Harold, who is clearly not Harold, begins speaking in half-human, half-alien speech, clutching his earpiece, and mentions what sounds like Commander Thunderfist, a fallen Hordian commander, is the person who's actually in the, uh, in the capsule. He forces Med to put his hands on the parish leader and says, in no uncertain terms, bring back the commander or perish beneath our flame. Now, Med, of course, focuses attention on the hulking Hordian body as his hand starts to glow. You know, his moratory powers are working or flowing through the sick Hordian form. And suddenly, almost like a resuscitating surge, his eyes of the expired commander just shoots open, just as if he's like shocked back into life. Now, Mm -hmm. Viking grabs him, throwing him halfway across the floor from their leader, who instantly reanimates back to life. So, you know, he's alive and well after getting the shock to the system. And he motions to the Red Watch, utterly cold now. You know, with Med's usefulness now expired, he just says, kill him. Anyway, in the back of the laboratory, blasts ring out. So they roar out right through the lab. When Harold, who is assisting the Hordian commander, hears not one, but two bodies hit the ground. This Mm. was certainly not Med. He turns around. He knows something is up. He sees uh, he sees the smolding bodies of his own original black watch. Now the red watch laying on the ground and emerging from a portal in a large silver plated, fully almost strife like armor is our good friend Splinter Red, who last episode who stood back and he's sporting a very large shoulder cannon and he motions toward the Hordian commander. He says, your veil has been lifted, comrade. Both of you Hordian scum should be dead. We will make no mistake this time. To be continued. Mm. So it looks like our good friend, um, our good friend Splinter Red, has been on to the con the entire time, and he's come to Med's rescue. So it's going to be interesting times as we get to see Moratori versus Moratori slash Alien Betrayers next it's episode. True. Wow, absolutely love that stuff. This is a, uh, it's it's just ramping up, and it will continue to ramp up. And you know what? We're gonna be uh, actually getting a letters page this issue where. Uh, <laughs> Wait, for 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 what book <laughs> are we covering a different book? <laughs> Believe it or not, Strike Force Moratory has a letters page, and one of the letter writers actually gives himself a Moratory name, like as though he's part of the crew here. I think. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, uh, give, uh, maybe we might give that person a, uh, a membership. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll try to track him down via Twitter. Once we reveal his name, they, if somebody knows this person who's still alive, they get honorary membership into our Absolutely. recruit Absolutely. <laughs> so this, he might be showing up anytime. You never know. But, uh, but for the reason we're here today is of course, strike force moratory number 14. And, uh, we're not in 1987 anymore. Believe nope, it or not. We are we are double uh, double eights here, my friend. Nineteen eighty eight. 
Absolutely. This is the uh, third calendar year of this series. So uh, it's getting it's getting, you know, some rings. You know, if we cut if we cut this title in half, there'll be there'll be three rings there at this point. Um, <laughs> now, the book is called All My Trials, which uh, last time out said all my trials, enough said. And we weren't exactly sure what that could mean. Uh, we had our ideas, of course. And uh, those ideas were well, pretty much on point. But uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> about a trial. Yeah. <laughs> This one was written by our, you know, our normal team here. We have Peter B. Gillis uh, doing the story, Brent Anderson on pencils, Al Williamson on inks, Phil Ooh. Felix on letters. Al yeah. Williamson on inks of Star Wars fame. Love you, brother Al. There you are. All uh, right. Colors from the off-the-market Max Scheel, as we learned last uh, last episode, uh, she got married. Um, assistant edits, Mark McLaurin edits Carl Potts. The Cheese, Tom DeFalco. Oh, 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 what book? What book, Chris? Uh, uh, DP, uh, Mark Hazard. Um, uh, which one is it? Kickers Inc. Kickers Inc. Oh, there <laughs> he is. There. <laughs> He's responsible, people. Flank him. Now, this one had a cover price of 75 cents USD, 95 cents can, 40p UK or UK. I, I um, like this because this was our last chance in Canada before we broke the dollar. Before we broke the loony here, people, we're at 95 <laughs> cents on the cusp of breaking the dollar, and it would never go back to this. So no, 1988 no. was a glorious year. It was the end of the non-folding money era, so uh, it's a uh, scary times ahead. Um, now, this one came out uh, allegedly, uh, according to Mike's Amazing World, on September 1st, 1987, which... I'm not entirely sure of because if that is accurate and if Mike's Amazing World's uh, numbers for the issue prior are also accurate, they're only spaced one week apart, which (laughs) I I just don't see that. (laughs) Brent Anderson churning those babies out. He is just killing it. Um, Speaking of killing it, we have uh, I think we finally have a great cover. We have like a classic cover here. Um, now this one, it's a, it's like a black cover and it features our original moratory members, which are, you know, the surviving second and first generation members. They're standing in a, a stark spotlight and there's an accusatory finger pointing at them. The story title of all my trials is included, which, uh, which tells us right here that the trial in question will likely be something along the lines of the dreaded court martial that we heard about last issue for our heroes. They should have named this the strike force moratory get fingered. Yes, they are. They are fingered <laughs> and pointed. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> up in the up in the corner box. So an interesting corner box. I'm a big corner box fan. I don't know about <laughs> you. Oh, but absolutely. up in the corner we have uh, good old Radian. He's actually got his full form. And then you got like the floating heads. So you mm-hmm. have you know you got Scaredy Cat, you've got uh, Scatterbrain, you've got Toxin, and what appears to be Aileen. I don't know if that's Aileen. It's it's one of the it's, it's a odd. very it's a very unusual version of her if it actually is. But uh, I was questioning myself, but I I believe it to be true. But anyway, the uh, looks like the second and the remaining first generation, which is down to exactly two people here right now, are going mm-hmm. on trial this episode. Absolutely, they absolutely is. Um, now we we hop into the issue here and. Uh, Hey, you remember how the Moratory uh, escaped from the Horde's Jupiter Proximal Base in the Hordian Pod last issue? Uh, yeah, okay. Okay. of course, of course. <laughs> well, it would seem that they weren't alone. We had a single Hordian stowing away uh, with them here, I, I, at least if I'm understanding this art right. 
And uh, <laughs> of course, of course they did. You all listen. Behind every door is always a horde trooper. So I guarantee true. you, there was it was only a matter of time before horde. You know, we had a stowaway amongst our midst. So we know that there was exactly one door on that escape on that escape pod. <laughs> There's one horde in there. If there were two doors, there'd be at least two. Um, <laughs> And it's here where we where we meet this Hordian soldier here. Uh, now, uh, we're not supposed to understand him. You know, he doesn't have a translator. But, you know, through the magic of comic book editing, we do get like an inside look at his thought process here. Uh, he's there. He laments his bad luck. And, of course, he does confirm that he does not have a translator. The one he brought with him is, is dead. So he won't be able to effectively communicate with any of the Earthers or wherever he thinks he might have wound up. Exactly. Now. He rummages through the crashed craft, and he only manages to find a single weapon, a small sidearm pistol. So his big firepower, there ain't none. It's just little pistols. Now, he peers out of the ship, and he sees the relatively busy and illuminated streets of Detroit, Michigan. Mm, so now, so think, think about this for a second. Hmm. The only thing that of all places to land in the middle of Detroit City, and you're mm-hmm. armed with just a little gun... <laughs> and this is in so, the future. If we, sorry if about we your know, luck. If we know anything about 80s movies, Detroit goes to pot in the future. <laughs> That's true. Now, in order to clear a path for him to escape, he tosses an EM pulse grenade, which I, I thought he only had a little pistol. Huh? I don't know. He doesn't even have pouches. So this is one of the most under-blinged Hordian troopers I've ever seen. Yes. So every, Every time we've seen a horde, a horde trooper or Hordian trooper, they've always had, you know, trinkets hanging from They're them. They're covered in had, flair. Yeah. Yeah. He has like the most basic. It's like, you know, giving someone a T-shirt and saying, here's your uniform. You know what I mean? It's like extremely basic. Although he has like gladiator, you know, uh, wristbands, like metal wristbands. And sure. the weirdest mid-thigh protectors. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but it's it's a very basic <laughs> uniform for a guy, and I don't yeah. know where he's putting his uh, EM pulse, but uh, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? He's got one. Yeah, he's he definitely has one because he lobs this thing into uh, into the square, and uh, the EM pulse that emanates of it shatters all of the lights in the area. It's like there's spotlights and floodlights and all sorts of lights. They're all shattered, and uh, this also causes a lot of the civilians to scatter. One woman, though, decides not to run away. She's just there. <laughs> and uh, she is quickly murdered by our <laughs> new alien friend. Yeah. Well, up to, up to this point, we looked like we were seeing a very different, you know, a very different version of a horde warrior. You know, someone who wasn't an animal, someone who was confused by a war he didn't start, you know. And, and you're almost starting to go, hey, you know, he start, he's thinking like a rational human being here. Then all of a sudden mm. he murders a, murders a woman in cold blood, which... Uh, right? Which are uh, which lays the groundwork for things to come in this issue. So uh, this is this issue alone is one of the best character perspectives you're going to see on the horde. And, sure. Uh, and probably our, our views of how we treat people who are different or people from uh, other races will differ after this book. So Could it's, a pow- it's, it's a powerful one. Yep. There's a it is. And, and you know, going back to uh, to the observation that he isn't wearing a bunch of flair and a bunch of trinkets. We might be able to assume that this fella is just really, really low on the pecking order, you know, like he might just be a, a you know, an, a, a just a, you know, a, a foot on the ground, you know, a a barely into the army or whatever they're calling the uh, Hordian forces uh, 
conglomerate. You know, he's brand new. Maybe he hasn't collected flair. He hasn't collected trinkets. He's uh, this is one of his first, you know, out of the base sort of scenarios here. I and, do like uh, that. I do like that analogy. That's good. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, and, and you know, like like you said, the the t-shirt thing. What was it in Star Trek where they just wore like the plain red red shirt? They're just a <laughs> if, uh, like yeah, a brand new if, and expendable. Yeah, if you're a red shirt, you knew you were going to meet your demise. Basically, that was the entire <laughs> joke behind the original Star Trek series, and it continued on. But yeah, <laughs> he, he looks like he's literally wearing a red shirt. So I don't know yeah. what this ever done. <laughs> now from here after this uh you know cold-blooded murder of just a random woman we shift scenes to triad north carolina which we would know in our time as the greensboro raleigh durham area and uh in this triad north carolina north carolina even an industrial plant is just ablaze roaring fire here now the firefighters surround the place in preparation of battling back those flames but then the Moritori show up, all three generations of them. So, you know, we got Louis and uh, Aileen from the first gen, all three second geners, and the slew of third geners we met last issue. Now, they coordinate their powers and work together in order to stifle the fire, and the entire operation is a rousing success. It's almost as though it was uh, planned to be such a rousing success. Yes, you think uh, you think the and the media, of course, was on hand to capture all this. Uh, sure. All this, uh, you know, bravado happening here, and uh, just go through exactly what we're seeing here. Yeah, yeah, because this is like a like you tip the first domino and then all the powers kick in. It's interesting here. <laughs> we start with uh, Brava tips the first domino by using her strength to control uh, like a like a, just a roaring fire hose, you know, just this like a fire plug just spurting. Hard case. Well, it's a thought <laughs> that counts. He uh, <laughs> he solidifies the resulting foam from that hose into something they call a fireproof rod. I don't get it. Like, out of all things that you can create, like, his powers, his entire power is to take things that are, you know, I, I, I guess not hard, <laughs> non-soft yeah. or non-hard items, and make them hard. That's his entire power base. That's it. And, and his contribution to the team is to make a fireproof rod. Yeah. I guess so. I, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> the next domino uh, includes Scaredy Cat, who, if we remember from the past few issues owns boots that allow her to fly okay she can fly and she's super fast instead of using her uh flying boots she runs up this fireproof rod to get closer to the fire so it's almost like they're Ah. making sure everybody gets to display their powers here for a particular reason i wonder why that would be i wonder because scaredy cat doesn't need this damn rod but she uses it anyway uh, our buddy Backhand, who is the, uh, you know, the, what is it, uh, Mattingly, the uh, the fake Herald, yes. he uh, uses his uh, powers of deflection to fire back the blasts of heat. Yeah, and this sort of makes sense here because it's it's actually a great use of power. So we it didn't is. really get to see much out of Herald because he, he died so early on in the series. But, you know, his use of his, uh, his power is actually better than when Harold used them. I mean, I mean yeah. it leads the question, like when you consider like some of the great plot holes in this entire story, like are the moratory members powers created like on demand? Like, do they specifically give you a certain power set? Like take an example, like backhands power, which are a direct tribute, you know, to Harold. Uh, is it an intentional power or something that had to manifest and just see what, what happens? You know what I mean? That's very he, interesting. Yeah. Was he lucky enough just to get his idol's powers or was it bestowed upon him? I mean, think back when 
when the moratorium creator was was tasked from the upper brass to create an army of adepts. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, this seems like they can simulate or replicate power sets, and they can yeah. make like any power they want, which begs the question: Why would someone make powers for a character to be so underpowered, like Silencer? I mean, yeah, or or Beth Neon. Yes, I mean it, it doesn't even make sense. Flower blooming, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean she did. Now that's another that's another plot hole because she took the process on the side on the fly. Nobody even yeah. knew she took it. So did mm-hmm. she give herself flower growing powers? This is one of those, uh, you know, one of those giant gaping, you know, holes in the entire in the entire series, which sure. I don't think ever give really gets explained. But anyway, food for thought, I people. I, I'm not sure they do either because it, it it is it is very. Uh, you know, a suspect that the guy who played Harold in the soap opera has Harold's powers. You know, it's very, very suspect there. Um, now, speaking of, uh, you know, lame powers here, uh, Silencer, <laughs> she gets up there and quiets the roaring flames in order to hear and locate the workers that might be trapped inside the burning building. <laughs> I mean, example right here. I mean, she silenced the sound, you know, I'll, I'll, I mean, albeit she's saving folks, obviously. I mean, you know, but this is her only contribution to the team's efforts here. Literally, she makes noise stop happening. <laughs> but how does she how does she make just the fire stop? I guess You'd, she can. I guess she can. Uh, she has. Is she that powerful? Is she that focused? I guess she's like her own audio editor. I mean, I guess she has. <laughs> I don't know. I guess she's her own uh, her own version of GarageBand with Apple or she's, something. She can just get in there. Filter. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, uh, our buddy Sheer, uh, Seth Rollins here. He uh, destroys some falling debris as to not injure anyone who's on the ground level. Well, at least we get to see that you know his cutting powers can have at least some use. I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, Louis and Aileen. Well, Louis, well, Louis tries, but uh, they use their powers to uh, bust through some locked doors. <laughs> Interesting note here, if you're following along with the book. So Louis, whose only powers are like it's basically radiation. He can he can illuminate things with his light powers. He can blind people, do different things, flash, you know, flash light and all UVs, this type of things. Yeah. yeah, UVs and all that stuff. So Louis usually <laughs> tries to open a door. With his light powers. I mean, seriously, <laughs> you go try to open any door in your house. I, 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 I ask anybody, go grab yourself a flashlight. Make sure that the door is closed, at least closed, doesn't have to even be locked. <laughs> and now turn on your flashlight and try to open that door with your flashlight. Let me know how you made out. <laughs> I, can, I, I can tell you, you're going to be there for a while. Just just a heads up. <laughs> anyway, it's an luckily, all-night job. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, he had... You know how the only way that the door is going to open is that people see light from behind the door and go, what in the blue hell is, is that, that light? Yeah, yeah I'm going to open this door. <laughs> Lucky he had Aileen here who could actually do something about it. So It's true. It's true. Uh, our buddy Will DeGucci here, he sends out a calming message. You know, his, his psychic powers here to control moods or influence moods. Uh, so everybody is cool under pressure here. He's keeping everybody light and on task. It's funny. I mean, we gave the douche a really, really hard time. I mean, you know, he looked like a douchebag. He still looks like a douchebag. However, we're finally getting to see that his control being able to manipulate emotions is actually very effective. So, I mean, sure. A lot of these powers start to grow on you get to see their use. But, uh, you know, obviously this particular time, everything is seemingly almost 
too too well planned out. Too here. convenient. It, seems, it yeah. seems like everything is gelling exactly at the right time, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, you know what I wouldn't have given to have his you know power with someone like Silencer as an add-on. I mean, think about that for a second. It's a weird power to have a dude. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, are, are you going to give like this power that the douche got? Like, it doesn't seem like it it fits with a male character back in the '80s. Now, in the True. 2020s, oh, think about this. I mean, what a power that would have to be able to control emotions. I mean, think about the uh, those poor new warriors characters got that got skewered on the internet that Marvel tried to release. Oh. Boy, oh Snowflake boy. and Safe Space and Screen Time and oh boy, I, I poor poor Marvel. When 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 the, when that tweet first came out, I, I very nearly responded to it and and would have said something like, "In the time since this tweet came out, fifty comic stores shut down." But uh, <laughs> but since we are in such a weird nebulous time where things are shutting down, I didn't want to uh, I didn't want no. to make that comment. Good, so, good call. so I won't, and I didn't, and uh, you never heard it here either. Um, <laughs> well done. Now, <laughs> Toxin, uh, old Ruth here, she deactivates any sort of. Uh, well, toxins that they, they might have breathed in during the process of fighting back this fire. Which, which you think about the times we live in, we could absolutely use a toxin in 2020, you know, sure. for the obvious, obvious thing that will remain nameless here at the, this particular podcast. Certainly. But this would be the best power set of all in modern times. <laughs> if you're building a uh, army of moratory toxins, we could have the problem solved and just move right on. <laughs> best 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely. But this entire scene is a real tour de force here. I mean, we're seeing the moratory at their best. They're gelling. It's almost like if you're watching a choreographed dance. Yep, Hmm. this is uh, Cirque du Soleil superhero time here. Absolutely. Now, the media, as they do, are just swarming around our team. Now, Toxin, Ruth, our designated voice of reason here, she gives an interview and lets the public know that they were just in the area and they were beside themselves with happiness that they were just there to help out. They were in the right place at the right time. Now, another reporter approaches our phony Harold, so an old backhand, uh, to inquire about the rumors of there being a court-martial up for the original team. And uh, Mr. Mattingly here, he's kind of like, you know, he's kind of like, aw shucks about it, you know, he... Uh, he basically says it's nothing more than rumor and innuendo, but doesn't really, you know, doesn't really comment all that much. Brava, our powerhouse here, however, she gets right in the reporter's face and tells her to back the hell off. Uh, <laughs> she says, uh, you know, she wants it known that the original moratory, they are heroes and they should not have their reputation slandered in any way. It almost seems like they're making up ground with the new recruits in this issue because they really started out on a bad foot for a reader. Yeah. I mean, they really, when I first read them, they were grating on my eyes. I mean, it oh, was, I hated them. oh, I hated their guts, even the way they spoke, the way they dealt with the, uh, you know, the, our moratory that we've grown to love here. But it seems like this is almost like a giant apology letter from last issue. Please like our new moratory. <laughs> you know, they're, they're great. We swear. <laughs> Absolutely. But I do like the uh, Brava is is pretty cool character here. I think I like how she got right in the uh, reporter's face. So Brava, uh, not, went, not playing one, the games. One, one interesting panel with Brava. So this particular panel where she gets in the reporter's face, it's interesting because she's wearing almost like an Axl Rose headband. Yes. <laughs> And she has the weirdest set of female underwear I've ever seen on a particular <laughs> character. It's like large and modular. It almost like it locks in or something over the top of her hips. It's like very cube-like <laughs> underwear. I don't know what to think of it. 
She must have got it from Cable's bedroom, I think. <laughs> Cable's closet. Uh, now, you're, not uh, getting, you're, not, you're not getting inside those, Chris. No, no. Just letting you know. Uh, now, a, a van arrives to uh, take our heroes back to base here. So they, they don't even get to, like, fly themselves home. A van actually comes from the Padilla to pick them up. Now, we hop back to Detroit. If you remember, we had our stowaway Hordian. He's, uh, you know, confused, uh, frustrated. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. And uh, we find him waiting in a parking garage. So he's kind of like lurking in the shadows here. Uh, he's trying to sound out words on in the parking garage. He can barely make out any, uh, you know, English words. But uh, as he's doing this, a family, uh, a mother, a father, and two children, they enter the garage to head toward their vehicle. This Hordian rushes them. And although they're unable to actually communicate, he is able to make it plainly clear that they are going to be giving him a ride somewhere. And so they load into the vehicle and they call up these, this weirdly prescient GPS navigation system <laughs> on the dashboard. Oh, boy. I got to take a break here for one second. Sure. So I got to tell you about my first ever altercation with the GPS system, okay? So... <laughs> Back in the day, I didn't have a cell phone that could access, you know, Google Maps where everything is so on demand. You just literally call out, you know, call out to Google and it'll tell sure. you exactly where to go and give you directions and give you your arrows and all that stuff. Nope. Back in the day, they had these manual ones where you had to plug it into your computer and download maps. And it had a really, really basic, basic screen display. OK, so I was training and you know, I was in Buffalo, New York, working for a, uh, a large retailer. And uh, I had no idea how to get back to my hotel. No idea whatsoever. I, I, I got there. Uh, I got to work by on a wing and a prayer, stopping in gas stations <laughs> and just asking, you know, where do, where do I go to find this building? And, you know, after several hours, I finally made it there. But I didn't want to do that again. <laughs> so anyway, one lady I work with said, hey, I, you know, I have a GPS. You can you can borrow the GPS the entire time that uh, that you're here. And I said, oh, great. Very cool. Yep, I went in and plugged it in. And guess what happens when you don't download the proper software onto your GPS, Chris? It it bears oh, old maps. Yeah, it sure does. It bears old maps. And when it gets confused, it does some very weird things. So yes, I had to turn does. off I had to turn off into a turnpike, which apparently didn't exist on this map system. So it had only one thing to do. So here it was, there was only a right turn to take. And my GPS starts and it goes, and obviously I merge into the lane and I could not get in. So I've never seen this. I'm from Newfoundland. I'm not used to four lane traffic and not only four oh, lane yeah. traffic, but four lane traffic that is so tight that there's not one ounce of breathable space in between cars. Like mm -hmm. you could not slip a sheet of loose leaf in between these cars because they were so <laughs> tight. I'm like, and people are gr like growing behind me. Like I have a pile of cars collecting and people are just easily merging and you know, it's a nice casual flow. And, and then you get Chris, the Newfoundlander who've never seen this type of traffic before, just <laughs> stuck and shell shocked. So anyway, I literally, how I got into the four lane traffic, I literally closed my eyes and just drove. <laughs> anyway, <Boy>. I had <laughs> to take a right turn. However, this right turn did not exist on this GPS. So the entire mm -hmm. time that I was in the car, my GPS panicked me. So all it was going was turn left, turn left, turn left, <laughs> left, 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 left. And it did not stop the entire time. <laughs> I was ready to throw this thing in the garbage until they downloaded the proper map. So there you go. Thanks for indulging my GPS story. Move on. Now, I actually have one myself here. Uh, oh, great. Awesome. I, I've talked about it in on, on other programs, but I spent a few years repairing windshields. I was a mobile repair technician, so right. I had to uh, 
my the cell phone I had at the time, this was like 2011 ish. I had a an HTC Evo, Ooh, which uh, oh yeah, I was I was a badass with that thing, and uh, I was able to pull up maps with it, but it took forever. So because uh, I mean this was before. I guess it was before, you know, the phones were, the technology was there to like be a, like a 24 seven use sort of a situation. So like if you needed to go one place, okay, you could pop it into that thing and it'll drain your battery. You know, like the 10 minute drive will just kill your battery because you're, you know, using the GPS. But now I guess things are made with that kind of in mind. So, and I'm sure they're tracking us everywhere we go anyway. So they have to make sure that the batteries are good. <laughs> but uh, back then I had this Evo, which would have had updated maps and stuff. But uh, I couldn't rely on it to get me through the day because it would just die. Uh, it would one one customer, and I would have like a dozen a day. One customer would kill my phone. So I went to a Target and I bought a Garmin Nuvi. And uh, this was you. You yeah. went high. You went high tech. You went Garmin. Oh, totally, totally, totally. And this this was 2011, which puts it about one year before all the Garmin Nuvis came with free updates for life. So I got the one that did not have the free updates for life <laughs> i bet you bought uh, it because it was cheaper didn't you i did i did <laughs> i bought it i think it was like it was like 90 bucks and this is at a point where like ramen noodles were kind of like gourmet to me <laughs> where, where, where i was financially so this was like a big spend but it was just to you know make sure my my day went well and uh, so i had this newbie uh the the last time that it updated was like 2010 and uh we have a lot of uh, like rural areas outside of uh, the Maiden Phoenix area, and uh, a lot of my jobs were in these rural areas, which were like on sides of mountains, in the middle of the desert, just all sorts of weird places. And uh, one place was up in a town called uh, New River, which is probably eh, about a half hour, maybe a little bit more north of the, the Phoenix metro area. And I'm pulling out, and I go, and it's you know I'm following the direction, just like you said, it's like turn left, turn right, and it takes me off road. So it says turn left and I see a path. It's it's not a road, but it's a path. And I'm like, oh, wow. OK, this is cool. It knows where I'm supposed to go. So I go and it, it weaves me through and it weaves me through perfectly like turn right. And wouldn't you know it? There's a dirt trail right next to me to the right. So I turn down there and I'm trusting this thing. <laughs> and I go for about I want to say maybe maybe 15, 20 minutes uh, on these dirt paths. And uh, and then it's like uh, it's like your destination. It was like in like 2000 yards, your destination will be on the right. I'm like, oh, freaking hey, cool. I could just go and I'm going and I'm going and I'm going. And the uh, the path is getting narrower and narrower and narrower. <laughs> and then the path stops, not at a dead end, but at a cliff. <laughs> at a cliff, there is nothing in front of me. And oh, I, I get out of the car, I go around the front, and there is like a 40-foot drop. And uh, and I can't get signal on my phone because I'm in the middle of the woods. I'm in the middle of like, like – I'm on the side of a mountain in the middle of the woods. And I'm trying to call the customer to find out like – I'm like, am I supposed to drive off a cliff to find you, you know? And uh, so I'm trying to call them. There's nothing, no signal, no nothing. And I'm driving a uh, a Chevy HHR. Um, now if you're familiar with, uh, like a PT cruiser, it's kind of like that. Oh just yeah, long. absolutely. But I worked for a rather well-known and large, uh, windshield repair firm who decided we didn't need windows in the back. So 
we had our like our name, our company logo plastered all along the sides and the back of this this little rig. Oh, no. So the only windows in this car were like the passenger side window, the driver side window and the windshield. There were no other windows. And the road was so narrow or this path was so narrow, I couldn't turn around. So I had to put it in reverse and baby myself back for like a mile. <laughs> oh, man. And I, I finally got back to the street. It, this this took me the better part of like three hours going backwards um, because there was nowhere to turn until I got to like one of the main little branches of this of this dirt path. So I could make, you know, like a little K turn and just get out. And I finally call them up and they're like, like, oh, we thought you fell off the cliff. And I'm like, and I'm like, you know about the cliff? They're like, yeah, we were going to warn you about that. The GPS sends people off a cliff. <laughs> like, you couldn't have told me that five hours ago? <laughs> Would that not have been a part of the entire recall process, we'll call it? You'd think, you'd think, because it's like, it's like, yeah, I'll be there in 20 minutes. My GPS says I'm 20 minutes away. It's like, oh, you're using a GPS? Well, there is a cliff you're going to fly off of. I didn't get such a warning. So, uh, Oh, my God. GPSs can be scary. They can definitely be scary. I, um, I think the I think the moral of our story, folks, is to spend that extra hundred dollars and buy the get uh, the updated the, the updated version. <laughs> awesome, awesome. But I didn't die, so that's all that matters. Um, but back to our story here. Uh, this Hordian, he's looking at this like oddly prescient GPS navigation system on a dashboard, and he points to New Orleans, which uh, at least gives the family a basic direction that they're going to travel. That's a long ride. Um, <laughs> That's a long ride, indeed. We we actually did pull this up on Google Maps. This is a 1,067-mile drive. Uh, according to Google Maps, this would take you 15 hours and 17 minutes. So uh, this poor that, hostage family is in for a long ride. And that car has some great fuel economy. It must, right? Because you're not going to get gas with an alien in the car, right? <laughs> <laughs> so i mean this horde obviously this hordian troopers you know he's got some basic survival skills he plans on living he's got no plan of doing a kamikaze run and all that stuff the fact that he has a plan means something to me so he just sure. doesn't do the obvious thing and hijack a vehicle and hope and pray he can drive it without any issue nope he carjacks you know and forces a family to drive him somewhere i mean this is this is actually some sound reasoning skills you know what i mean think sure. about i i grew up in the you know I mean, when you think about let's let's talk about movies, for example, one of the ones that I point to all the time is like Independence Day. You got like Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum and they they commandeer an alien craft in this one, of course. Right now, of course, they know exactly how to you know, they don't really know how to drive the ship or how to communicate with aliens. But all of a sudden they learn how to drive it like a boss just out of nowhere. You know what I mean? (laughs) Escape and destroy the mothership now. You know, of course, that that's a little bit off the cuff, but I love the movie, but I can't even drive a standard card, let alone an alien sports craft. <laughs> and I don't know, man, listen, standard cars, I I don't even understand. Do you have a standard car or do you have just, you know, an automatic? You mean like a manual transmission? No, manual I have no automatic. transmission. Oh, my automatic. God. Yeah. Yes. Who? What? What kind of people in 2020 buy like a uh, a standard transmission? I, I just don't uh, I don't understand yeah. it at this point. Unless, unless you're driving an 18 wheeler, I, I don't I don't know why you would. Have I, I, I I think I think it's the it's back to the GPS story where someone's trying to save 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Could be. It could so, very but anyway, well be. But anyway, I digress. Back to the moratorium. Well, not not just yet because I actually. Uh, I have some, not not really stories, but anecdotes about driving a uh, standard because oh, I, I used to. Oh, please do tell. 
I used to run a uh, a uh, dispatch for a trucking company, and uh, some of the drivers would just like pull in and like leave their rigs and then go home and uh, not park them when they needed to go. <laughs> and so like at 6:30 in the evening, I'd be the last one left, and I'd see like three trucks just lined up blocking off others other you know warehouses, and I'm like, crap, I got to get those back behind the gate. And uh, my first time. <laughs> I'd never driven a, a standard. I'd, I'd never driven a manual transmission. So I didn't know what a clutch was. I, I never no. was brought up on that. So I start this rig up and I'm sitting there thinking I'm like, I'm like cool as hell. You know, I'm like, I'll just pull this back. What's a big deal. And, and <laughs> it was the worst thing in the world. Lucky, lucky enough, there was uh, there, there just happened to be other people at other warehouses uh, that saw that I was a complete friggin' idiot, and they're like, "You need that back behind the gate." I'm like, "Yes, please." <laughs> well, well, uh, the only time that I've ever really attempted to like actually take a you know a a, a manual transmission vehicle mm-hmm. out on the road, you know, we don't have the best weather here, Chris. So I mean, when sure. you get snow and all that stuff, it adds it you know another area of complexity oh, to your entire drive. So. We had to go up this hill, and it was called Memorial Drive, and it's on it's on quite a slant. You know what I mean? So one of the one of the bad things about a standard transmission is that having to shift gears when you're on a hill and on you're sort of yes. <laughs> so I had no idea. I was not, you know, I managed to get across a parking lot and shift gears and all that stuff. But when it came to a hill, here it was icy conditions on the road. You're slipping as it is. Now you're on a hill, not knowing really know what you're doing, oh, and boy. you're you know. You're grinding the gears. You're going, uh-huh. and your car is moving backwards. It was one of the yes. most terrifying experiences oh. I've ever had. And not, even when I got it to stop, it would still slide. I was I was yep. just absolutely horrified. So when I got out of there and you know collected the hair that had fallen out <laughs> off my head, <laughs> I said, never again am I driving this piece of crap. And that was the end of that. Oh no, no, because like even like when you're sitting at a stoplight sometimes and you have a car with manual transmission in front of you. Like, they don't realize that they let off the clutch, so they start rolling backwards into you. <laughs> yes. It's like, what are you thinking? You're, like, nailing on the horn, but it's a red light, so people start freaking out. They start staring at you, and I'm like, this idiot is going to hit me. <laughs> and it's going to look know. like I hit him from behind. Yeah, and oh. you would have been blamed, too. You would you yeah. would have been, yep. What, do you hit a guy? Absolutely not. This moron no, has a manual transmission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. But we digress, and uh, we we return to the new Moratory headquarters here, and it's there that that our originals, the first and second Jenners, they await their meeting with the high muckety mucks of the Padilla, and uh, we learn here that uh, it, they appear to have the complete support of the third Jenners. Unfortunately, I don't think the third Jenners get a vote <laughs> in the upcoming yeah. trial. Yeah, exactly. It's good that they did this, but it always almost seems a little bit too easy. Like there's not even one ounce of dissension or distrust. I mean, you think about where these characters were last issue. I mean, they were literally battling each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And now, I mean, they should have at least had one of the characters, you know, that were sort of sitting on the fence or skeptical. Like doubting Thomas, this. yeah. Yes, but no, it didn't exist. Every Everyone's good. Listen, every, everything's good with the rockers, Chris. That's all you got to know. <laughs> and suddenly, Louis is not as uh, forthcoming with the fact that he tried to turn on the team. He's like, he's like, oh, you guys like us? Cool. Yeah, yeah we're good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about that time that we got to the alien horde ship to steal, <laughs> to steal uh, information. Yeah. Yeah, that was, was all about. That was the plan all along. <laughs> but uh, 
Now, we, we've been playing with this concept a little bit throughout this episode here because uh, it's alluded during this scene that uh, that fire that they fought back in Triad, New North Carolina or whatever was a uh, maybe it was a publicity stunt. That's not uh, they might have been uh, the Padilla might have been able they're trying to, to spin the current distrustful situation. Yeah, they're in damage control mood, and I think it's it damage control mode. And, you know, it is a smart move. The situation seemed like a little bit too convenient, so it had to be something, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. having a showcase where all the moratory, you know, were showcasing their powers, all except Louie trying to open the door with <laughs> with a with a, uh, with a light, with a you know, could showcase their powers. But, you know, it was almost a little too easy for it not to be a stunt, so I'm glad they sort of came out and said that. It's true, and it, I, I think it's pretty cool because it shows just how easily the public is swayed to uh, to trusting the moratory here. The, the big rumor was, I mean, the, the reporters mentioned it, the, the big rumor was that, they, that the first and second geners were up for court-martial, for treason, you know, yep. against humanity. So this shows how easily it is, easy it is to sway the, uh, the public to, you know, get everybody back in the good graces. It also shows a distinct difference between the old way and the new way. The uh, the Beth Neon and Tulima way, they don't seem like they would do something like this. No, no. But no. with our with our buddy Yuri, you know, the new commander, this just seems part and parcel propaganda and uh, and you know uh, thought control. I, I think it's it's a really uh, subtle way to show. The, the distinct differences between the two eras and two I don't, regimes. I don't, I don't recall seeing Yuri in this particular issue. Is he, he actually not. in it? No, he was ah. not. Not even ah. on a screen. No, not even on a screen. Weird. But, uh, Strange. Yeah, but, but to hammer this point home, a hard case, uh, our fake Harold, oh no, no not, not our fake Harold, our, our other mustached man, he <laughs> says, uh, well, I hope our mission did the trick with the public. To which Aileen says, sure, smooth things over so the traitors won't embarrass the Padilla. So there you go. There's your plot. confirms there. it. Yes. Now, as they wait for their court-martial, uh, Ruth Toxin is informed that she has a private vid call waiting for her, and she decides that she'll take it in another room. She goes in there, screen lights up, and it's a, uh, imagine this, a thin-mustached man. <laughs> no way. <laughs> named Nikos. <laughs> And what one thing of not only does he have the thin porn mustache, but <laughs> this guy has earrings and not spacers like you see people wear today. It's like full on female earrings. So I mean this <laughs> yeah. guy this guy's a banger. He's stepping up his porn game for sure here. It's, you know it, it's you know what's funny is that how how things become like like disasters in the fashion world. Like earrings right now on a male are like a fashion wasteland, you know what I mean? Sure. Like you see, you see guys right now and it's trendy to have like a ridiculously large beehive beard and like mm. full of sleeve tattoos. You know, you're, you're peppered from top to bottom. You know what sure. I mean? It's just not my personal taste, but you know, I'm not one for being trendy. I'm, I'm the guy still wearing the wrestling t-shirts in public. So, you know, I can't speak to any of these fashion statements, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but I do know that, uh, the type of earrings that Mr. Nico was wearing would, uh, would get you a beaten back in 1988. He is uh, he's very forward thinking this. Nico. Yes, sir. Yes. Now, yes. Now, he he is called to tell Ruth that he is very proud of her, which prompts a very heated argument. Now, it's kind of it's kind of nebulous here. We don't know exactly what these two mean or meant to one another here, but it is alluded to that these two were at one point romantically involved and that Nikos was a rather abusive piece of crap. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> now, it looks like. 
It was Ruth's experience with Nikos that was like the final straw and ultimately led to her forfeiting her future and undergoing the moratory process. So it's like he led led her here uh, by his uh, mistreatment and abuse. Um, now, after verbally letting him have it, she disconnects the call. I think we got a nice character touch here. You know, we're finally sure. starting to get a look in the window at some of these, uh, some of these newer, well, not even newer. They're the second gen recruits, but mm-hmm. it's strange that up to this point, we didn't get to really see much about them, but it's, it's good to see. We're starting to see that now. So yeah. it almost, it almost seems to happen too late in their, in their game. Like, you know what I mean? We're just getting to know these characters and then they yank them away from us. Not saying sure. that we're going to see that here with Ruthie, but uh, you know, but anyway, what's strange is that, you know, it's easy how easy it is for an outsider to just make a video call to the moratory. Like no one screens calls in this place. You can just pick up the phone and contact one of these media superstars. Like, can you just contact, like say for example, you want to talk to the, I don't know, the general of the U S army, just pick up the phone and call him. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's the way it works. <laughs> well, I mean the, the moratorium. Oh no, that wasn't a call. That was a disc that they flipped into Radian's lampshade. Yeah. The moratorium, <laughs> the, the horde didn't call him. They, they, they gave him reason to call them. Correct. But uh, now we jump back to the carjacking here, and uh, really, really strong scene. This is a uh, this is a really this is like a series highlight scene that we're going to be Big playing time. out here. Uh, now this family, this poor family that's been taken hostage here by a by a creature that they can't understand, who is pointing a gun at them. You know, they're trying to keep themselves cool, though they do understand the realities of the situation and the distinct possibility that. This Hordian, this this alien uh, who they've been, you know, schooled to, to learn has been trying to take over the planet, they figure that there is a distinct possibility that this Hordian will kill them as soon as they get to their destination, which, I mean, you can't blame them that. Exactly. Now, the Hordian himself seems kind of unsure, uh, unsure of himself, unsure of the situation. He doesn't seem comfortable at all. Uh, real depth, which I wasn't expecting to see here, and... Uh, he even views this family as somewhat noble in their bravery here, their ability just to to not crack up and not give up. Uh, they, they, he sees them as noble and, and almost gets like a begrudging respect or maybe just a begrudging understanding of them here. Um, exactly. The family. Yeah, this this is great here. The, the, and then the family, they make sure that they tell one another that they love each other. Uh, you know, this is a theme that they've been the, the whole ride here. You got to figure they don't know what la- what what heartbeat is going to be their last so they want their family members to know how much they love one another it's great stuff it is man this is this is super well written you can really really feel like the undertones of like the terror and unease yeah. you know you got you got the father trying to protect his son you got the boy crying saying that he's scared and doesn't want to die and i mean Reading that as a father, that is powerful stuff, man. If I had to put myself in this, this, you know, this person's shoes, you would do anything to protect your family, you know, if you really, truly cared about them. Uh, But, you know, it's a case study. You know, you're talking about your gravest enemies, what they might be caught up in a war. You know, chances are they didn't start it. They got to do things that they normally wouldn't do, like commit, you know, unspeakable acts of violence. You know, these supposed animals like our Hordian here, uh, you know, shows that. They've got their values, too, and it's a great mm-hmm. lesson in, in these times. You know, this is an incredible book, and this story keeps flowing and flowing, getting more enjoyable as we go. And as, at this point, there's still no burnout or fatigue. Like, I thought we nope. would be at this point, you know, we would start to be on our downward slope. But, man, this one just keeps chugging along, and a scene like this with just so much powerful emotion, it yeah. just – 
it just speaks to the power of this book and why people should be reading it. I just, I just love this man. And this is one of the oh, true highlights of the series, man. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, now we jump back to the headquarters of the mortuary here and it's trial time. And, uh, what we have here is basically our team, you know, sitting in chairs and, uh, video screens where the Padian elites will, you know, show their faces here. So it's not an in-person thing here. It's a, it's a, you know, one of those, uh, it's a remote <laughs> court martial, I guess. Yes. Um, now, one of the Padian elites, he shows up on the video screen, and the first thing out of his mouth is that this is not a court martial, nor are they looking for to, to, to lock anybody up. They're not intending to have anybody locked up after this. What they are really, uh, you know, unsure of here is whether or not they still want to be in business with the originals, uh, considering the fact that they may have willingly, you know, gone against orders. Yeah, it still seems like a pretty big deal not to lock people up, you know what I mean? They're going through yeah. a lot of trouble here to get this point across. Absolutely. Now, uh, one of the newbies here, Sheer, he stands up and he starts shouting at the screen. He reminds them that the originals have already surrendered their lives for the cause. Like, like, what more do you want from these people? <laughs> uh, to which Brava, uh, you know, the, the powerhouse here, she yanks him back into a seat and says, you know, cool your jets. We'll we'll worry about the yelling later if it comes to it. You know, keep cool now. But if it comes time to yell, we will do it. Just not right now. Um, Aileen, who has kind of just been on the, the sidelines here, she looks on and she wonders if uh, they're going to be doomed to, you know, something like busy work for the rest of their lives here. If you remember, you remember Jaylene, <laughs> they put Jaylene in that box. You know, she was in that room just analyzing for the rest of her life what they intended to be the rest of her life. And uh, she's worried that, you know, they're, they're going to see a similar fate here. They're not going to be imprisoned, but they're going to be taken off task, basically. Exactly. And uh, she's also wondering uh, what might happen when the brass finds out that she is currently with child, which is a great question. <laughs> also a great question. When and where did she even have time to conceive this child? Think about <laughs> it. When your every move is monitored in a lockdown facility, you know, I think the big drama here is on uh, on days of our moratories here is who is the baby daddy? Who do we it's do? True. Who is it? Like who was, uh, you know, who was the, the wheel man here behind this whole incident? We don't know. We don't know a name, but we could probably hazard a guess that he, he probably has a mustache. <laughs> right? I, I think that, uh, yes, I think that you are correct, sir. And a pencil thin <laughs> one. <laughs> chances are this bugger has a mustache um now brava she she chooses to speak on behalf of the originals and she reminds the command that uh Jaylene, while they were away she managed to bring back some very important horde data now the brass claimed that anything Jaylene brought back was nigh on incomprehensible or just way too sophisticated for earth science so Nothing she brought, everything she brought back was for naught. You know, it was a, it was oh, basically boy. a wasted emotion. Um, now another big wig starts talking and he repeats the purpose of this meeting. Uh, you know, remember the, it looks like the originals willfully disobeyed orders, which is something that the Padilla will not put up with. Now the originals are blamed for the destruction of Muratory Mountain and the loss of hundreds of human lives. Uh, they, they may not be completely wrong there. Um, <laughs> now, Scaredy Cat stands up and lets the big wig have it. There's, there's a, really a whole lot of pent-up emotion and frustration on full display here. It's really good stuff. Uh, she blames the Horde for the destruction. She's like, you know, let's not get this twisted and blame the Moratory. They didn't pull the trigger. It was the Horde who did it. Th those are our enemies, and they're the ones who want to see us dead. Yep. Uh, she, 
She also blames the Padilla for wasting what was left of Jaylene's life by locking her up in that room. And uh, the general gets a little bit snippy here. He says, uh, what I'm hearing is I want from a bunch of children, which, uh, I mean, okay, Dick. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> well, some some people just don't understand. <laughs> no. Mean, meanwhile, back at the carjacking, <laughs> we have the father now. He basically assures the rest of his family that once they arrive in New Orleans, Nolens, that they're probably going to be deep fried by their hordian passenger. Jeez, you know, thanks. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Anyway, and so he makes a decision out of nowhere, and it's the right one, to slam the controls right, sending the vehicle through a barricade and off the overpass. You know, at the father's command, the mother actually grabs the two children and starts heading for the hills. So they land pretty safely, you know what I mean? Uh, Thank God. Just in time, just enough to uh, get them away from the horde. Anyway, the dad actually stays back trying to fend off the uh, the Hordian raider while, you know, trying to give his the mother of his children and his children time to flee. And this is a pretty awesome scene. I got to say it really Mm -hmm. captures, you know, um, you know, what desperation you would go through to make sure that, you know, your family stays alive. And of course, Brent Anderson, once again, like right right on the top of his game. And, man, the way he depicts faces, he shows desperation and shock in these faces, and it is a thing of beauty, man. Somehow and always like it's like yeah, desperation and hope in the same face. It's like optimism and desperation in the same face. It's You really just got to see this artwork. It is just – it's something else. I'd like to ask him one day, you know, exactly – I just don't understand. Like you say, it's like two or three emotions in one panel. You know what I mean? Like it's you, wild. you, you feel his work. That's how good that his facials are, man. Like it's Perfect. really, really good. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't talk about men's facials very much, but I mean, he's got great <laughs> facials. I will tell you that. He does. <laughs> anyway, anyway, one of the last scenes, and it's pretty harrowing because it leaves us on a little bit of a cliffhanger. The horde, the hordian, uh, he actually fires his sidearm in the the direction of the escapee. So. You know, thoom, thoom, all of a sudden. So he shot him right at his uh, escaping mother and kids. So things are looking dire. It's true. But first, back to HQ here. And it's Toxin's turn to speak. Uh, Thankfully, Toxin, our voice of reason, will will lay it all out there. And uh, she appeals to the brass that the first two generations of Muratori should be allowed to keep fighting. Because after all, they are heroes who have already sacrificed so much. The bigwigs agree that the strike forcers are heroes, but they are not going to suffer in subordination. You know, they're not going to have yep. uh, people tell them what they're going to do. And so Ruth's all screw this noise and she proceeds <laughs> to kiss all four of the original moratory members. Now, an interesting note here is like we get. And of course, the reason why she's kissing them, she's actually applying a toxin to them. Yes. So a lethal toxin. So if they actually, you know. It, that that activates, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but anyway, one of the interesting notes is the way they display the kisses. So mm-hmm. we see her full on kiss the men, flush on the lips, not a yeah. problem. Like it's very evident. But then when she has the kiss the women, it's flipped around. You only see the back of the woman's head, and you know yep. you don't get to see the kiss. I was just wondering, was this like a comic code breaker at the time? Like is no lesbian kisses on like the. <laughs> On the on the short list of stuff there, I wonder. I don't know. It's, it I'm, I'm glad weird. I'm glad you bring that up because I didn't even notice that the first time through. I just, uh, you know, you see her kissing the men on the lips, and you just assume. And actually, I have it here in our script that she kisses them all on the lips. I didn't even pay any mind to the fact that it was obscured with the women. It is. You you see the yeah. men they get kissed full on. I mean, these guys got porn stashes. You don't even know where theirs <laughs> mouths have been. 
all right (laughs) actually we have a pretty good idea where some of their mouths have been and it's not a good scene but yeah i think that almost has to be a sidestepper of the code there um just not wanting to make waves um now toxin she explains to the breast that she just placed a lethal toxin on her partner's uh face's lips and all it would take for them is to lick their lips to activate it and she says that quote they'll be dead before they hit the ground now the big wig thinks this is outrageous preposterous and uh demands that she nullify the poison immediately she says no unless they're let off the hook the brass thinks this is all posturing but she more or less begs them she's like go ahead call my bluff just see how much see how much we're bluffing here and uh and just as things starts to heat up we're back in nolens back in nolens and the uh, the Hordian uh, has recaptured his family hostages. Now, he has them all on the knees. This is similar to like a Walking Dead scene where he has everybody on their knees and you have Negan walking back and forth with a baseball bat. But anyway, here we have the Hordian. So mm-hmm. he ponders what he's going to do with them. He's actually captured everybody. But this one, he actually admires their bravery. So he actually spares them. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what? I got to be quite honest with you. I did not see this coming, but it's no, also... Neither. Also one of the most powerful scenes in the entire book. Here's here's an alien race, one that they're warring with that they call animals and they have no humanity and, you know, all kinds of unspeakable acts have been done by their government and all that type of thing against, you know, the human race and the moratory. And uh, this guy actually shows a conscience and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he actually lets this family go. He actually lets somebody go and he walks away to fight another day. And this is this is a beautiful, beautiful Beautiful scene and probably why issue fourteen is one of my uh, one of my favorites, man. It's just amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's great. I mean, uh, if we go back through like the litany of abuse that the horde has, uh, the the atrocities that the horde has committed here, I don't remember if it was the first or second issue, but when they were doing the shooting stars, Ooh. like they were throwing, they were dropping a human one at a time through the atmosphere so they'd catch fire, and people would see them as falling stars. And then I mean, they uh, they uh, invaded a uh, basically a, a theme park and they severed the mm-hmm. heads of all the people, women and children, and he put them inside these put them devices. In the robots. Yep. Yep. And they uh, their pain actually fueled the power of the robots. I mean, them. you're you're severing people's heads. I mean, this 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 is a race that was out for blood, man. But yep. you actually get to see that this is this is not what this race is all about, or at least in this guy's case. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's you such know, such an awesome contrast to. Yep. And it adds such dimension, and uh, it makes you it makes you hopeful that uh, that Absolutely. maybe you know maybe the horde it can be reasoned with. Maybe there's maybe there is another way. And uh, this scene was just uh, phenomenal, just an awesome awesome scene. Um, but that's not the end of the issue because we need to figure out what's going on with this court martial, and we do head back to headquarters here. And uh, after a pause, the Padilla brass decide that there shall be no reprimand for the original moratories. Wow. So, yeah, so after a deep breath and a, and a sigh of relief, Ruth informs her partners that the antidote to the poison is ethyl alcohol. So uh, it'd probably be best <laughs> if they all head out to the bar for a round of stiff drinks. Um, <laughs> but first, she needs a moment alone because she needs to go cry over Nikos. And his earrings. And his stupidity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just think about this for a second. Think about some of the some of the big trials that you've seen play out on TV. Just imagine during the O.J. Simpson trial to you know to sway the judge to to prove him not guilty that he went around and he just poisoned people in the audience. 
don't know if that would pass, man. I think that would be uh, that would be not 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 something that you'd want to do. But anyway, no, probably uh, not. That, that's the end of that issue. And boy, it was a great one. And this time, and the next next issue, look what we got coming up. It's called The Cure Part Two. Yes. So maybe there's we're going to be digging more into that Hordian cure for the uh, the moratory process. It's a uh, it's ramping up, folks. This is a uh, we can't say it enough. Check this book out <laughs> for sure. Uh, Run, don't excellent, walk. Excellent stuff. Yeah. I, you know, and, and all these times, every every time we record one of these, I keep meaning to check if this is available on Marvel Unlimited, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of our friends are subscribed to that. And uh, if you are and it is on there, no reason not to check it out because it's, oh, uh, it's all job. there for you, especially these, uh, you know, these first 14. You can skip the cats issue if you want. But, uh, <laughs> but when you see Will Spertancio flip past everything else Whoa. is solid gold. Um, now we usually put like a, the solicit for the issue, um, before the issue, but this one kind of spoils things and, and it's a bit misleading as, as well. Um, but the solicit for this issue is a family is taken hostage by one of the horde, but the moratory can't save them. They're too busy standing trial for treason. I can't believe how misleading this is. It just don't even yeah. like, it's pretty clear to me that, uh, you know, that, Marvel did not give a crap about this book as, you know, this assumes, number one, that the moratory or the authorities had knowledge of this even happening. You know what I mean? So do they know that this is happening and they just kept the moratory back so to stand trial? There's there's not even there's zero illusion that that even happening in the story. No, so no. to say that our heroes are too busy to do anything, I mean that's that's pretty stupid. These it blurbs is. are clearly written by people who haven't haven't even read the story or even got any idea about it. It's crazy what written, they do. With yeah, they probably haven't written read a single issue of the thing. It's uh, absolutely not. Yeah, just ask someone in passing. Hey, so and so, what's the book about? Oh, we got a carjacking and a trial. Okay, perfect. We got this. I got this figured out. Yeah. Oh, boy. But, uh, you know, this month, as we mentioned earlier on the episode, we do have the mail strike, a letters Whoa. page. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And uh, we're not going to read everything. We just got some highlights here that we want to uh, bring up here. Now, the first letter comes from Session in Seattle. And uh, we're going to read some quotes here. He says, the most captivating thing about Strike Force Moratory is the way most of the inexpendable, which I think he just meant expendable, uh, characters croak. And then uh, Session goes on to say that he used the premise, or she, here, she used the premise of Strike Force Moratory for a class assignment. They say, when I asked my class if they would die to save Earth, four hands went up instantly, five were delayed, and at least five weren't paying attention. So I, I guess it's the thought <laughs> that counts there. Um, now, are you ready to be vindicated, sir? Yes, sir. Because we have some vindication coming. Oh, please do. He ends his letter with, uh, every person that I've met pronounces moratory incorrectly. So. Really? So I was wondering if you could settle a few dozen bets and give us a basic pronunciation guide. To which the editor responds, just for the record, it's pronounced Moritori. Bingo. M-O-R-E-I-H-T-O-O-R-E-E. Moritori. Moritori. There you go. That's it. Right there. <laughs> we, we were right all along. There, oh, here we were. wrong. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Who was, who was that guy who uh, got up all in our face saying we mispronounced Moritori? Moritori, Moritori. Kiss my ass, Moritori. <laughs> well, you guys have all been wrong. Myself and Chris were right the entire time. <laughs> See, we are we are knowledgeable. 
podcast uh, podcast uh what, what did bobby heenan call himself broadcaster we're podcast journalists <laughs> yes. yes well done <laughs> Now, uh, the editor also suggests that Sessions' class assignment require that the students actually buy several copies of Strike Force Moratory. And uh, don't bother asking your parents, kids. Just buy the thing. This is fraud at its highest <laughs> level right here. I can guarantee you that these letters are phony. I mean, think about it. If if this wasn't fake, then guess what? I'm blaming those kids who weren't paying attention for the reason this book got canceled. Yep. <laughs> what a pile of crap. <laughs> Our next one comes from Mike in Massachusetts, and he says, I'm pleased with the handling of Jaylene Anderson. Too many times, especially in the comics medium and its second cousin, the movies, I've seen Christians displayed as arrogant, ignorant and narrow minded bigots. Thank you for introducing the first likable Christian I've seen in comics. Pretty loaded uh, letter there, isn't it? Wow, wow, wow. We've said this before, actually. Did we write this letter? Hmm. We might have, or are we? Are we maybe our uh, our num de plume is Mike in Massachusetts? Uh, <laughs> now the editor replies with Christianity was a deep part of of uh, Jaylene Anderson, and she was a wonderful person. We agree that there seem to be a lot of negative Christian figures in the media these days, but we're not here to push propaganda in any direction. So uh, take note, current year creators. <laughs> this yes exactly right when you're talking about what we see on the on the uh on the page in 2020 i mean mm. this this is just a breath of fresh air man it, there's no agenda 100%. there's no comics gate this is just putting out great comics on the rack every single week every single month and that's what this is about and this is absolutely one of the best elements this book had was jaylene her bible and all man it was mm-hmm. it was good you know what they didn't present her as being too preachy but you know what? It shows basically the strong, what the strength and what faith can do for somebody. And I think that was the entire message. Whatever you believe respectful in, respectful and earnest. Yeah. Yes. Whatever you believe in, if you know, if faith gets you through the day, then it's a good thing, man. And I think that's what we can take away from Jaylene. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and side focusing. note. Side note. Urgent side note. Ready? Oh. Yes. So I did my I did my homework. So Marvel Unlimited does oh, yes. does have the entire moratory ser- uh, series. For you to read. And not only that, they have during uh, current times, (laughs) that's how I'll put it, uh, they have it for free for the entire month. Well, there you go. See, that is uh, that is definitely something you all should do. uh, So your excuses are out the door, people. (laughs) We want book reports starting next week. Uh, (laughs) But uh, no, uh, Jaylene's faith here was uh, was one of the one of the great elements here because it 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 treated it very even handedly wasn't dismissive um wasn't used as the butt of jokes wasn't used to make her uh look uh, arrogant um and i think that's the way it should be with with all uh with all faiths all uh you know all points of view um you know faith or not faith i think that uh, everything should be treated with respect and let the reader decide if it's something that they uh that they want to that, that that they can relate to or something that they can't wrap their head around that's for them to decide it's not for you know some some 20 something sharing an apartment with 15 people writing for marvel to tell you how to think 
Exactly. And you're talking about you're trying to create a cross section of personalities, lifestyles and all that yes. stuff with these characters and they're all merging. I mean, this would it would be a different if this book got like super preachy and like sure. the entire team was Christian and they were like Bible force moratory or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'd be a different sure. story. But I mean, this is one character, one set of beliefs and they're, they're showing a cross section and the way Absolutely. that they have people interact with her. Some people believe some people dismiss other people go buy in and they're curious. It was perfect. It was great. It was very, very well done. Very subtle and uh, just speaks to the talents of, uh, of Peter Gillis here. He's uh uh, this this book will be much poorer without him. Trust us on that. We'll, oh, we'll get there. Yep. Now our last letter comes from a guy named Justin, who goes by the uh, the moniker Freeze Frame. Hey. Hmm. Hey. In, was was he like an original recruit or what's happening here? I think he might uh, he he might be one of our honorary members here. He uh, emanates from California and uh, darn to Freeze Frame doesn't sound like a new recruit to to me. What's his power? Um, what's his power? Is a wonder the uh, the advantage of flash photography? Is that what this is? That's yes, the benefits of uh, flash photography. <laughs> um, now he he says uh, Strike Force Moratory is one of the best, if not the best, comic on the stands. The only thing I don't like is that it doesn't have a letters page. <laughs> really. Now, Instead of replying with, uh, you know, hey, this book don't get no letters, uh, the editor just gives some glib, you know, BS answer about, uh, you know, the, some silly, funny, haha, you know, reasons why they can't do a letters page. But uh, I think uh, I think we're on the same page here, thinking that the book bright doesn't get very many. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is a pretty ominous, <laughs> this is a pretty ominous sign right now. If you you think about it, it's from editorial. <laughs> And not only that, you can really tell that they don't have any interest whatsoever in carrying anything Shooter-related forward. I mean, Jim Shooter used to be their editor-in-chief. He is no longer with the company as of a few issues back, and they don't want anything to do with this guy or anything he had his hands put in. They're just shifting gears. And, you know, with the new universe and anything tangentially aligned with it, I mean, it's it's just a, you know, they're trying to dismiss it. They're trying to put it on a boat and send it out in the middle of the ocean and forget about it, basically. Even the epic line of comics kind of kind of hit its uh, hit its nadir here, you know, started going downhill and just uh, started, you know, ex- experimenting with a lot of things that I'm sure Shooter probably wouldn't have greenlit. Very, yep. very strange uh, times here. It's uh, th- there's a mandate in the air, it feels like. Um, exactly. I mean, we're, we're, we're speaking with hindsight and completely out our asses. But it, it, there there is a feeling here that there that there is a uh, th- that these moves are are manipulated these moves are uh, pointed um but uh one thing that do- we do get in letters pages in marvel comics is the uh is the silly uh, closer of uh, make mine marvel it'll be something silly some little joke and that will end with make mine marvel like until something something happens make mine marvel and uh <laughs> we like to share those with yeah unfortunately there's only one this time um which is shockingly small uh, usually like every letter had it or all but a few but uh, only one. Uh, do you wanna do you wanna hit the the folks with it? Till Mephisto and Pluto get in a snowball fight and make my marvel. Yikes! <laughs> wow, that's hilarious, Chris. I I just fell out of my seat. Mm. Uh, <laughs> what a daft sod that guy is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real knee slapper. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't know when the next time we'll have a letters page is. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully we'll have a a, a couple more. Uh, as, as 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 Roddy Piper once said to uh, Morton Downey Jr. on WrestleMania 5, yes, I've got a lot of time on my hands, people. He said, oh, you're a real knee slapper there, Baba. <laughs> <laughs> you 
<laughs> but now into our normal bat back matter here, we have bullpen bulletins. And as always, it starts with the quote of the month. Now, this quote comes from Spellbinder in Spellbound number four. What's your favorite Spellbinder story? Uh, it got to be this one. <laughs> probably Spellbound number four, yeah. That's, that's, uh, in that's it, the only one I know. <laughs> in it, Spellbinder, who, whoever that is, says, you're lucky I didn't disintegrate you or turn you all to elephants. Man, I really got to find the first four issues to get just grasp the context. You need the context, of this, of this yeah. Quote. <laughs> and if that is the quote of the month, that really tells you the uh, the level of quality Marvel's putting out at the moment here. Uh, <laughs> if that's the best they've got. Especially after we just read this issue of Strike Force Mortuary here, which was full of great lines. Instead, <laughs> Spellbinder. Yeah. Oh, boy. Now we do have some news. Uh, first item Lethal Larry Hammer, who. Uh, came across as a pretty miserable fellow when we profiled him a few episodes back. He uh, steps down from his staff editorial position in order to focus on more freelance opportunities. Uh, Larry Hammer, you know what that means. You know what step down means, Chris. Sounds I've political, been in doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I've been in business long enough to know that folks who are step down, quotation marks, are, you know, they're normally pressured to make that move. They're either forcibly removed like Jim Shooter and the army <laughs> trying to take him out of Marvel. Or, you know... <laughs> But 90% of the time, let's be honest, it's not by choice. So too bad, Larry. (laughs) You know what? Too bad, Larry. That's for you shitting to bed on the last half (laughs) of G.I. Joe Marvel. There you go. That's what you get. (laughs) Enjoy your freelance writing, pal. (laughs) We learned that melancholy Mike Higgins and redoubtable Ralph Macchio will take over his duties. He actually got replaced by two guys. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yes. <laughs> AKA this, this dude was overworked. Then HR gets involved and, you know, we're going to have two people spread his workload over two people when, you know, someone else gets the job might've needed some help. You know, I guess we're crying foul here, but guess what? Mm. Bye Larry Hammond. your crusty socks. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, now our, our next item is uh, the Marvel staff. So the crew, the bullpen, they give editor in cheese two-fisted Tom DeFalco a birthday present. Oh my God! And it's his uh, his own personal robot, um, which uh, might be a slam against Mark Grunewald, uh, or or maybe it's something a little bit more salacious and dirty. Nope. Do you know why they gave him a robot? Because the robot actually appears in Kickers Inc. issue number two. Just saying. You serious? That's the main villain, the robot. So they gave him a robot. Oh, my goodness. See, it's all based around kickers. Everything and the entire universe revolves around that new universe series. Wow. I was afraid it it was something. I was afraid it was something kind of kind of gross. And I'm glad it's not (laughs) Um, because I don't want to think about Tom DeFalco that way. Uh, Or a robot or anything electronic around that man. Especially with a guy named Two-Fisted Tom DeFalco. I I fear. (laughs) I fear what that man does with his fists. That's Especially with Mark Grunewald. I don't know. Yeah, that's very true. That's very to true. Each your own. Um, Listen, man, everybody's got their vices, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No judgment. Um, <laughs> we have a profile here. Ricochet. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> this is Anne Nocenti. There you go. And uh, we learn uh, that her current gig is she is the editor on X-Men, New Mutants, Classic X-Men, and endless other X-Mutant projects. Wait a second. Wasn't Classic X-Men reprints? It was. So why would you need an editor on a classic reprint? Oh, they they put in um they put in like a backup every oh, month. Oh yeah, right, right. So yeah. you are right, you are, right you are. So maybe that's what she's editing. 
And maybe so they, she has the maybe she has to go through to make sure that some of the dialogue doesn't necessarily reflect old time sensibilities. We'll say that's possible. That's possible. Now her past credits include Spider Woman, Beauty and the Beast, which I, I believe was a Beast and Dazzler miniseries, a Long Shot, Star Wars, Spider Man Annuals, and Bizarre Adventures. Oh, man, honestly, I'm not even a big fan of any of that stuff. I no. mean, her i got to be honest, her Star Wars stuff was hot garbage, complete garbage. <laughs> you know, Beauty and the Beast, I don't even know who that was written for. I mean, yeah. you're talking an X-Men book that seemed to be aimed at, I guess, teenage girls. I mean, it was like a little love story type of thing. Not, yeah. not, not great, man. Now, Bizarre Adventures, I did see lots of these kicking around. I've never, ever owned an issue of Bizarre Adventures. I always wanted one, though. I don't know about you. Do you ever have one? I don't think I do. I, I don't think I, I the, the the name stands out to me, and I'm sure I've seen them in passing. I don't think I ever actually plunked down any money for them, though. Uh, one of the things in that list there, Longshot, um, I was so psyched to get that because the Marvel trading card said that Longshot's first appearance was Longshot number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, shot number one, the miniseries. And it, it has a uh, you know some fantastic art, but the story is uh, definitely not something that I that I dig all that much. Um, I think it uh, if I'm unless I'm conflating them here, I think it was a uh, very Mojo heavy and uh, Mojo oh, I could no, take or leave. Mo- Mojo yeah. is terrible. And <laughs> what's what's Longshot's power? Or yeah, Longshot's powers is luck or chance? Luck, luck. Yeah. And he has hollow oh, bones. Man. Yeah. Oh yeah. And four fingers on each hand. So. But, two uh, fists. I'm DeFalco. No, go two ahead. Two fisted long shot. Now, her current credits include Daredevil, Spider-Man, one of your favorite stories uh, that I used as our as our corner image last uh, episode. <laughs> He's got up here. <laughs> the He's Mad got, Dog yeah. Ward. Uh, also, the Inhumans graphic novel. The new long shot miniseries. I don't know if this means there was another one or if they're saying the same one. And uh, you're talking 88, so it had to be the same one. Okay. And uh, now this one, I don't know what this is. The Someplace Strange graphic novel. The hell is that? I have never heard of that before in my life. The Someplace Strange graphic novel. I probably should have Googled it, but uh, I. I, uh, Oh, wait, there there it is. Someplace Strange novel by Anosenti. I guess it came out. Wow. And what's it on? Is it like based on any Marvel characters or just its no. own thing? No, no. It's uh, uh I'm looking at the uh the Amazon link here. It it looks like it was uh, probably reprinted, not under the Marvel banner. I don't know if it ever came out under the Marvel banner. It was drawn by John Bolton. Uh the uh, our synopsis here is two brothers, masters of childhood fantastical imagination, vow to kill the boogeyman, freeing the world from half seen monsters hiding under beds and in dark basements. Oh. Along with art punk nihilist Joy, the journey to a world of magic where ordinary rules of existence no longer apply. And yet their fears and the dangers they spawn are as real as the waking world. Dark Horse is proud to present the new edition of this long out of print modern fantasy. Written by journalist and comics writer Anne Nascenti with art by John Bolton. Something strange dares you to open your mind. Doesn't uh, sound like so a bad premise. Sounds like Monsters, Inc. I've never seen it. Oh, never, uh, Mike and Sully. Never mind. Okay. Huh. I wonder if that, that's a maybe they they ripped off Anne Nascenti here. She wants uh, <laughs> she needs her uh, credit for well, sure. I, well, it was it was by Dark Horse, so nobody read that crap anyway. <laughs> <laughs> man, these these projects, man, like nobody in their right minds at the time wanted those. I don't know what it is, but I think it's just a case of like, hey Anne, 
Come over here, you know. And when you're done doing those, uh, what do you do with this? Uh, we got this new comic. It's called Popples. Yeah, it's going to be huge. Let's go ahead. We'll do that. <laughs> I think they just got her right crap. <laughs> here, Anne, here's something for you to do to keep her on the payroll. Maybe she had there a nice ass. I don't know. <laughs> now, her hobbies include acting, oil painting, piano, shooting cool, shooting pool, not cool, uh, any and all sports events, eavesdropping on New Yorkers, and getting in her truck and driving anywhere. Mm. Fair enough. Cool. She she is most proud of her upcoming Daredevil work. Ooh. Have you read that? Uh, what was her Daredevil work? What specifically? Uh, it was with John Romita, and it was very much uh, it was very angry work. Uh, I know some folks who really like it. There's some of it that I like, but some of it is John John Romita Jr. That John Romita Jr. Yeah. Oh, this is around the Inferno era, correct? I believe so, yeah. Like uh, Typhoid Mary would show oh, up, uh, Kingpin. Oh, oh, um, oh, oh. Actually, you know what? It's pretty good. I just couldn't wrap my head around John Romita Jr.'s artwork at the time. I just thought okay. it was hideous. It was, but, it was blocky, yeah. It was blocky. Yeah, I, I did buy it, though. I did buy it. I do have I'm those sure, issues. So. I'm sure I've got it, too. But there are some issues there that like border on parody, where she's like like trying to be satirical. Um Typhoid Very, Mary's a satirical character anyway, literally. I mean, she's violent as hell, but I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a shot in the dark, but anyway, sure. yeah, I did. So Anne stole my money. So I did buy that stuff. There you there go. There you go. There you go. Now, uh, Anne was born in Manhattan. Uh, so I don't know why she's eavesdropping on New Yorkers since she is a born New Yorker. Um, her greatest non-comics accomplishment is, uh, staying alive and sane. So I'm, I'm taking that to be that she's a Bee Gees fan. She, <laughs> she's a ladies' man. No time to talk. No Chris. time to talk. Uh, <laughs> her oddest habit is to forgetting to eat and sleep. Funny, I've I don't think I've ever forgotten either one of those. No, <laughs> well, you're you're not you're not as busy as Aunt Nascenti. That's that's the thing. <laughs> I, I guess so. Now, who would play Aunt Nascenti in a movie? Aunt Nascenti says Aunt Nascenti would play Aunt Nascenti in a movie because she's an actor, don't you know? Oh, what what's she been in? <laughs> exactly. exactly um why did she choose comics well for two reasons love and money Ooh. was she trying to get busy with someone in the office was this the deal was she just know. a like a, a copy person <laughs> that's a good <laughs> question uh now people in high school she says never paid attention to her Ah, uh, see, this is what happened to her. She's she, she's the writer because she's the scorn lover who never found a <laughs> husband. You know, she found her husband in bed with the next door neighbor and then had to go tell his wife about it and all that type of stuff. Right? <laughs> now, the last good book she didn't read was uh, The Bone People by Carrie <laughs> Holm, a 1986 book here. Uh, the blurb is a work of unfettered wordplay and mesmerizing emotional complexity. It weighs in at a whopping. 450 pages. <laughs> I'm sorry, sister. You didn't read that. <laughs> the, la- the, the last book you read was the instruction manual of your typewriter. That <laughs> Because it broke. Because you were chained down to your desk at headquarters. That's why. <laughs> you didn't read that book. Come on. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, I, this is something I, I, I think I'm going to make my own profiles for people. And we'll ask people what, what was the last good book they didn't read. And uh, Infinite we'll find out. Infinite Infinite jest. That is always the answer. Uh, it's like the last the last good book I read was the first eight pages of Infinite Jest. There we go. The book has eight thousand pages in it. Um, oh, man. The last good movie she saw was My Life as a Dog, nineteen eighty five film. 
Ah, see, that's a shot at Marvel. See, <laughs> she's got issues. Apparently, she's treated like a dog, right? <laughs> now, if if we we had video, I'd cue the footage of Vince McMahon and Trish doing the whole dog thing. See, there that's 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 what's going on. She's treated like trash in the workplace, and she's <laughs> she's acting out, baby. Now, this is a foreign film. This is a Swedish drama that hit U.S. theaters in 1987. It, I think this was a popular movie to say was uh was good. To, you know, say was like of your favorites here. This is a uh, you know, this is a Citizen Kane, a contemporary Citizen Kane. Uh, people oh, will think God. that you have uh, good tastes. Um, now, uh, biggest influences include Alfred Hitchcock, The Symbolists, and The City of New York. Which, I mean, she doesn't say Stan Lee uh, explicitly, uh, and I don't think he was living in New York City at the time. So uh, I guess Stan just doesn't show up on her radar. Oh, you know what happens when you don't when you don't uh, give reverence to the Godfather? You know, you mm-hmm. go ask Larry Hammer. Go ask yep. Larry Hammer, and this go is ask not his empty chair. Yep. <laughs> this is not going to end well, sister. <laughs> you don't piss on the Godfather. <laughs> it's true. Larry Hammer was the only one who didn't credit Stan Lee in his profile. So, uh, yeah, go check with uh, his empty office and see how that worked <laughs> out for him. Now, Anne's unfulfilled ambition is to draw a story, and I don't believe she ever gets that opportunity. Well, poor baby. Now, the worst part of her job is telling talented new artists that she has no work for them. (laughs) Good Lord. Yeah. We've got we've got nothing for you. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, man. When nobody she should get a job with the WWE. That's true. We have nothing for you. We got we got nothing for you, Drew McIntyre. (laughs) Now, when uh, nobody's listening and likes to sing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure she does. Listen, if a tree actually falls in the woods when no one's around, doesn't make a sound, uh, think about that. <laughs> Both Anne sings when no one around. Is she actually making a sound? <laughs> does Ooh. she even exist? Are we just huh. role Are we just role players in one person's story? Is this God's plan? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe I'm overthinking this, Chris. I don't My know. My mind has been blown. <laughs> now we, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to sleep until we hear Anne Ascenti sing. We, we need to get her to sing. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to be all out of sorts for the rest of my life. I just opened the doors this for the is, questions of humanity right this here. This is an existential crisis right here. This is uh, We apologize to the listeners here this, for any kind of uh, harm this is bringing to you and your, and your worldview. <laughs> Man, oh, we don't actually exist. We are literally just voices simulated for your own life. We actually just – we're just pawns in the, our listeners' ears. That's all we are. We don't really exist. We're not real people. I'm shattering over here. Man. Too much. I, I, <laughs> I need those new, new warriors to calm me down. Um, now, what the world should know about Anne Nascenti. Nothing more than what she told them. So uh, That's great. That's all don't I require, ask. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no follow-up needed here. <laughs> you win, Anne. <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> we have oh, our man. mighty Marvel checklist. Strike Force Moratori gets a blurb, but it's for the wrong issue. What is going on? Strike Force Moratori <laughs> number 16. Are they even trying? Are no. they even trying? No. But uh, we do get a glimpse into the crystal ball here. Strike Force Moratori 16. This is episode 14, looking at Strike Force Moratori number 14. Uh, it's Grudge Match, written by Peter B. Gillis, penciled by Wills Protasio. Oh, and no. by Scott Williams. So, yeah, Wills. So- Coming back. So we went from Al Williamson and Brent mm-hmm. Anderson, and now we have Wills Portacio and Scott yes. Williams. Oh, man. We, <sighs> do. 
Maybe so, I'll tap uh, out on issue 16. Maybe the moratorial process will kill me before I'm able to <laughs> do that show with you. I don't we, know. we just got to keep our fingers crossed that there are no cats in the issue. Um, oh, no. And we'll be good. Oof, now, uh, now, Captain America 339. Uh, I'm including this one for two reasons, and uh, it's the two reasons that they list here in the blurb. X-Factor's foe Famine is on the loose, which uh, tells you how high up in the pecking order Captain America was at the time. <laughs> one of the horsemen, the, the lamest horseman, is, is fighting it's Captain the, America. It's the Paul Roma of the, yes. uh, of the whole deal. It's true. And also, see the Captain's new shield. I don't remember that. I don't either. What was yeah, new about it? I don't know. I, I can't... I, I can picture a few times where he swapped shields. This was certainly not one of those times, but uh, I... I guess I could be mistaken. Did he ever have um, that lenticular shield that his action figure was packaged with in Super with the Secret Wars? Wars. Yeah, <laughs> when everybody had shields for no apparent reason. I know he had like a holographic one after uh, after Heroes Return, uh, but uh, that oh, was yeah, yeah. short lived. But uh, I don't remember one in, in 1988. But uh, weird, you know, weird. maybe maybe one of the listeners can send us a photo of that. Uh, I suppose we could have we could have researched it, but uh, we didn't. Um, <laughs> It's not worth the Google, Chris. No, probably not. Uh, Punisher number seven. I included this one because, uh, man, the Punisher forays into the world of toxic waste. (laughs) (laughs) Man, this series was just a drop off a cliff. This is, oh, this is so bad, man. That Punisher solo series. Man, I was digging everything Punisher at this time, and they put out that solo series, and it was just like... Yeah, we're just going to – yeah, it was done by Mike Zeck, and, I mean, it was beautiful. It was yep. hardcore. It was 100% Punisher, and then they put out its solo series. I don't know what it was back then. Like, they had Wolverine. They launched Wolverine solo series, who was hot as balls back then, man. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the first thing they did was take away his suit, took him away from the X-Men, and they sent him over to Madripoor yep. as Patch. What? Yep. I don't want Patch. I want Wolverine in a suit interacting with the X-Men. Like, what kind of garbage is this? I don't. Oh, well, man. The, the rumor is that uh that Claremont was trying to tank the mini because he didn't want to do an ongoing. That's the rumor. I don't know if it's true, but uh I think. <laughs> I mean. Well, they t- they tanked it. They- <laughs> I hate I hate I hated that Wolverine title. I hated it. Thought it was complete garbage. Same with the Punisher series. I mean, my God, you. Like, he, he almost didn't interact very much at all with the Marvel Universe. He was fighting no. street-level thugs and, you know, military guys. And it was, oh, it was just so not what I wanted at the time for both. And, I mean, those two characters, Wolverine and the Punisher, were, I mean, they were molten hot at the time. Oh, and this is what you do to them. The entire style, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I don't get it. Speaking yeah, of books that are not hot. <laughs> yes, Star Brand, number 11. And in it, the true nature of the white event is revealed, written and penciled by John Byrne. Oh, man. So shooters out the door. The Gone. new universe concept is they're trying their best Loundering. to make sure that, yeah, yeah. that this doesn't sail. But John Byrne gets on the book. And I'll tell you what. He really made a difference on this book. This was same as like Alan Moore jumping on Swamp Thing just before, mm-hmm. you know, doing the entire thing and you know revitalizing the character he really did a good job with Starbrand. I, I would recommend his his few issues that he did of uh with the Starbrand series because he tried to take it to the next level but man there was nobody left reading this thing and marvel went out of their way not to push that, it 
to bury that yeah. new universe. And here's John Byrne, you know, a guy that, you know, brought new heights to, you know, things like Fantastic Four and to uh, the X-Men back in the day. And they stick him sure. on Starbrand just to die because, I mean, you had, you know, you had the, you had these new artists starting to bubble up. You know what I mean? You had uh, the hot new artists that were appearing and these old guys, the old guard were being pushed down the line. You know what I mean? What a mm. shame. It's true. It's true. And uh, we didn't mention them individually here, but all the X books are in the process of wrapping up the fall of the mutants. Uh, we it wasn't we a bad those ads. It wasn't, oh, it was wasn't, a good one. Yeah, yeah it was all right. It was, it was good. Yeah. And we looked at those ads over the last couple of months or last couple of weeks worth of shows. Um, and here they are wrapping it all up. But uh, speaking of ads and wrapping up, we do have some and uh, they're mostly new. Uh, I feel like we were getting a lot of repeats there for a while, but uh but yeah, I guess like uh, I guess the new ad uh, the new ad line started now, so we have some new stuff here. The uh, first one is the M&M's Quartz Watch, which is a uh, ah. wildly stylish, um, and uh, <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> you can have it for nine dollars ninety five cents American and three proofs of purchase. I like how calling it a quartz watch was something you know attractive back in the day. Yeah, it's that a was a perk. quartz watch. Yeah. It's like calling. It's like it's like having a Casio today. Look at your watch. It's a Casio. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like the the very basement of uh, of watches. But I mean, just no. take a look. I mean, yeah. these watches oh, you man. would not spend a dollar twenty five like <laughs> at a dollar shop to buy these. I things wouldn't right expect now them today. to work a day. No. I, I would expect those to last maybe like fifteen minutes and then just sit on your wrist dead. So they're cheap plastic. They've got like M&Ms in the face of the mm-hmm. the thing. They've got a green and a red strap. Band, yeah. Uh, yeah, a band. And uh, it, it, it's hideous looking, to be quite honest with you. Now, uh, in the ad, so they have an arm reaching into a bag of, uh, of M&Ms, okay? And the arm is similar to a snake. So they have it like, like almost a like an... Yeah, it's almost like a W. It's 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 snake like, but all the way through the arm, they have different M M&M and M watches. Now, one thing that's that sticks out to me when I'm looking at this M M&M and M quartz watch ad <laughs> is uh, M and M's. The bag of M and M's that they show, they just say M and M's plain chocolate. Mm-hmm. So I don't. Do they still have that in the U S? Because yeah, they do believe still, so. They're still yeah. called plain. They're still called plain. Yeah. <laughs> We do not have that here in Canada. Those the uh, brown bag M and M's are just called M and M's. There's no criteria to them. Oh, you know what? You might. I, you know, I, I don't think I've looked at a bag of M and M's in a long time. You might be right. I do remember yeah. them saying plain in my childhood, but yeah, yeah, I I don't recall whether or not they do. I think it's just uh, it's just M and M's and peanuts right now. Let's see here. Um, I'm looking at a bag right now. It just says milk chocolate. There you go. Yeah, M&M's Bingo. milk chocolate. So, yeah, it doesn't say plain anymore. I, 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 yeah, I, I miss that. I think it should say plain. I think that's uh, <laughs> they gave it character. Yeah, it specifies. Yeah, you get, really got to know. Now, they say that this watch is actually valued at $30, but now wow. you're only with three proofs of purchase, you get it for $9.99. That's a lot of money back then, man. Sure. So you had to buy three bags of M&M's. They were at least a dollar each. Yeah. Right? So you're, you're paying – you know, at least 75 cents or two a buck. Or 50, 50, yeah, 50 cents, 75 cents, yeah. Were they 50 cents? We, we didn't I, have that luxury here in Canada. We, we Paul. But, but yeah, I mean, look at the money you're spending here. I mean, you're spending basically $12 for a $1 watch, and they're telling you that it's a $30 <laughs> value. Good Lord. And did you have to pay shipping? 
I gotta see. Um, Check this thing out here. It does not say shipping. Uh, it does it say allows, that allows six to eight weeks. Yeah, six to eight weeks. By that time, the child has grown up and no longer fits on his wrist, and he's gone through university and <laughs> life has gone on. And the he's offer actually be too old. <laughs> yeah, the act. The offer actually expires September thirtieth, nineteen eighty-eight. So there you go. Yeah, and the, and if if Mike's Amazing World is right, this book hit the shelves on September first, right? So you have a month to uh, order your M&M's quad color watch. <laughs> oh, and they boy. had a they had a few little quotes there, just funny quotes, right? So they had yeah. Charles Dickens saying, "The best of times." Get it because okay. it's a watch. <laughs> they said it's a classic M&M thriller, and that was sent in by Delicious from the Candy Times. Boy. Oh, I mean, just the hijinks keeps on keeps on rolling. Mm. You're a real knee slapper there, Bubba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Pounder bags from Snack Reviews is truly a celebration of our time. The fun never stops. Of our time, False. get it? False. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you want to uh, have your name as Pounder Bags either. <laughs> Jesus. That, that could be a new recruit. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, <it was> Chris. <laughs> oh, boy. Um <laughs> Now, the next ad is an old favorite of mine. If you've uh, read comics in the mid-'80s, this one will jump off the page at you. This is uh, where you could join the Tang brand breakfast beverage crystals soccer team, featuring the only soccer player I know by name, (laughs) Pele. Pele or Pele, or how you say his name. It's definitely Pele. Yeah, that's the only soccer player I could name you. Um, And uh, I do love that they have – they have like this little thing under the word Tang brand. They have brand breakfast beverage crystals. Jesus, what? Like who? <laughs> you think about it. okay, so it's obviously a sign of the time. So they have Pele on the poster. It's it's actually mm-hmm. a drawn poster. It's not even a picture of Pele. So I don't know yeah. if he actually knew he was sponsoring. <laughs> <laughs> but I look at this from a Canadian perspective, and I mean soccer, literally, or or international football, whatever you whatever you want to call it. Uh, was not popular enough. And you know what? Pele was not even a name that even really transferred over unless you were a real sports fan in Canada at the time. So, I mean, this was not something we talked about in high school or, you know, growing up or whatever. So it's really, really strange that this... So how big was soccer in the States at this time? Do you know who Pele was? Was it on TV? We certainly didn't get it. I I played soccer as a kid until my parents let me stop. So, uh... That oh, was, yeah, I played, uh, that was, I played soccer. I played soccer in gym class and things like that. But, but I that mean, was uh, about it. And I think the only reason I knew Pele was from this ad. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Instant recognition. That's it. Now, now, think about this, though. Do you think that the, that Tang would survive this day and age? Well, it's still around, number one. But okay. who in the right mind loads up their kid full of Tang in the morning? To be quite honest with you. How much yeah. sugar is in that? All of it. All the sugar in the world is in a pack of Tang, I'll tell you. Every it's bit. True. And we, we got to set up – I think we got to we gotta actually set up a voicemail box here because I, I want the listeners to call in and try saying brand breakfast beverage crystals. <laughs> They're playing with you. That's Tang for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, for this, you, you could join the, the Tang uh, soccer team. And uh, in order to do so, you need one Tang label and 60 American cents. And that will get you an action poster of Pele. We don't know if it's been drawn or if it's a photo. 
He has um, no idea. It's definitely drunk. <laughs> he has no idea. <laughs> it's it's him holding like a can of Coke, but they spray painted Tang on it or something. Um, you also get the official Tang soccer team Iron On patch. Uh, okay. I was all about the Iron Ons at the time. Sure, sure. On your on your denim that. jacket. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you could be a Goonies and part of the Tang soccer team. Um, and, and How cool would you be busting yeah. into an arcade back in the day with your Tang patch? Look at this guy. He's serious. He's got a Tang patch. He's on Team oh. Tang. If we can bring that 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 Tang uh, device from the other ad from a few months ago, that <laughs> that would make it all the better. Um, you also get a rebate catalog for Spalding soccer gear. Okay. Okay. You also learn Pele's best soccer tips, which would <laughs> probably Lord. probably go really well with that George Brett's secret of baseball VHS that we we talked about a few episodes ago. So you've now mastered two sports, um, plus a membership card, which uh, I think that might be what the re- the moratory recruit program is missing. A membership card, uh, I think, would move a lot here. Oh my God, like I can't even believe this. Like this is a fully and only sixty cents. Only sixty cents. This is and what? and a Tang uh, label, of course. So. Oh my uh, God! This is yeah. unbelievable. This is like a, a massive deal. This Heck is one of the deal. best deals ever in comic books. Even though Pele had no idea he was attached to. <laughs> That's how they could afford to do it. They're not paying him anything. But I mean, listen. I mean, Tang Tang the company must be dying this day and age. I mean, everything is getting away from sugar. Sugar is the enemy, people. I mean, do you remember when Coke and Pepsi came out with their zero lines? Oh, yeah, yeah. Coke Zero, and then they switched it to Coke Zero Sugar just to make sure that they knew that it was sugar that was zeroed out. <laughs> <laughs> then then they switched it out, and they put all kinds of different sweeteners, and then you have, you know, aspartame, and, you know, you had people there going around with, like, metal plates in their head and freaking out and sure. all kinds of weird stuff going on, and you had people going blind. Oh, it was just all just a whole thing, but anyway, sugar for me was always the thing I grew up on because my dad actually sold Coke. Okay. So we didn't have any of these restrictions as a kid. So it's a wonder that I don't have diabetes and, you know, I still have all my limbs and I can see. So it's a miracle <laughs> because I tell you what, part of his thing, he was a wholesaler. So every, everything he had, he owned. So his, okay. all his product he physically owned. It was his inventory bought and paid for. So what sure. that meant, we had an unbelievable amount of Coca-Cola in our basement. So Saturday mornings when I would get home from school and all, when I would get off school, I'd be sticking on VHS tapes. I'd have a stack of VHS tapes, and I would start going with a nice bag of Hostess chips before my parents got <laughs> up, and I would start going through Coke cans. And, I mean, by the time that they would get up in the morning, I would have six or seven of those things smashed on the table, and they would You're look at wired. me every time. Yeah, they were like, Chris, you can't drink that much Coke. At the time, we didn't know it was bad for us, so. Sure. Like, okay, sure. mom, don't worry. Yeah, and and then you know, I, I blame my parents right now for for my morbid obesity. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mom. Now, let me drink all the coke. <laughs> now to answer some questions about tang here, the first ingredient in tang is sugar, of course. Uh, it's, it's all the sugar. All the sugar. An eight ounce serving of tang contains 24 grams of sugar. That's part of a balanced <laughs> breakfast, right? Wow. Oh my God! You attach your cereal to that. My God, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a dumpster Bouncing full of sugar. Oh. Yeah, no. uh, there is a Tang Zero Sugar though, so um, that that does exist in the world. You can you can get that if you. That's uh, probably you probably dare. sweetened by stevia. Ah, uh, stevia. It's not sugar. It's stevia. Shut up. Either stevia or Splenda, probably. Maybe it's and a they, maybe it's that that, they, that weird 
fr- uh, like apple flour, uh, the apple sugar or whatever it is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cane sugar. Well, yeah. cane cane sugar is actually sugar, but it's sugar, anyway. sugar, yeah. But uh, yeah, sugar is uh, is definitely the enemy here. I I cut out sugar from my diet, and I and it, just in the past like year, I've dropped like eighty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm telling you, man. Oh, it's true. It's uh, all I drink now, and I and I get crap for it anytime I mention it. But I, I drink seltzer. I drink flavored waters love now, it. and that's Absolutely that's love a, it. Oh, it's it's the best stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, sugar is a uh, is dangerous stuff. It's very very dangerous. And uh, but but Tang, by God, I would love a glass of '80s Tang right now. Pour it up, some ice. <laughs> There's so much sugar in it, it smears all over the ice cubes. Oh, it's just delicious. Frothy <laughs> on the top. <laughs> love it. <laughs> we gotta we gotta figure out a, a way to a way to do a Tang taste test here. We might oh. have to do a. A sugar-free versus full sugar taste test. Here okay, we're doing it. We're doing it. That is the next <laughs> challenge. That's the next challenge. We'll do a we cup have, of sugar-full yep. and sugar-free. You gotta have original tang. You gotta have original tang. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, not the drops because be... you can get it in drop form. That's not the same. I tried it. It's not the same. Really? I didn't. Oh, you need oh, oh the, the little you need the powder. Yeah. Okay. You need the powder mixed up in that jug that had the flowers on it that every every household had. <laughs> yes. The little yellow flowers. The and, one that uh, you yeah. out the backyard when you make some tea twice a year and then forget about it yeah see everybody's on the same page canadians and americans <laughs> it's the great unifier the, the jug right. of flowers on it um another ad we have here and this is another popular ad this is the ad for the official marvel comics tryout book damn i love this ad and i always it's wanted awesome. to do it it is awesome here and uh you know we talked about the great deal for the pele club here this here is also a really great deal for $12.95, which might sound like a lot here, but you receive pages that you can color, pages you can ink, pages you letter, pages to script, pages to draw, pages to plot, and a how-to on how to make it all come together. These are all 11 by 17 heavyweight Marvel artboard for 13 bucks. Damn, that is really cool. Yeah. That is really, really cool. That Man. So the only time that I've ever drawn on actual comic book, like actual legit comic Board. book paper, yeah, yeah, on those boards or whatever, I drew for a, um, let me see, it was a newspaper called The Muse that, it, that was at my local university. Okay. And uh, so I asked them, I said, hey, you guys looking for cartoonists? And they said, sure. And I just pitched my idea. They thought it was okay. So they gave me a full packet of this these art boards. Oh, Wow. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to take me forever to fill in. A, you know what I mean? You're trying to – these things are big, man. Like 11 oh, yeah. by 17, and they're – it's a lot. You know, I was I was going to hand in like a sheet of exercise paper from one, one of my books or whatever. <laughs> That's what I thought I was going to draw my stuff on or like from a sketchbook. But no, sir, these art panels were huge. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, they shrink them up, of course, when they publish them. Yeah, but that's yeah they're all story, squared but. up. Yeah. I always wanted to do this, though, man. I don't know about you, but as a kid, I was a super fan of drawing. I loved oh, it. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. I yeah. had all kinds of creations I had. Now, none of these were particularly original when you think of their names. So I had this guy, wow. Power Man. <laughs> wow. Hey. That's that's super original. Uh, he, looked, he looked like, let's see, Andy Gibb from the Bee Gees with sunglasses. And he shot Very light cool. rays out of his hand because he was a total ripoff of a Strike Force Moratori character, which I was reading <laughs> at the time. No joke. He was actually inspired by that. Then I had another guy who was a combination of the Punisher and the Joker mm-hmm. and Michael Ironside from V, and I called him Madhouse. Hey. 
I like that guy too. He was one of my favorites. He was a crazy guy. And then I had, I was a big uh, War of the Worlds fan. So mm-hmm. I like the aliens with the extra long necks and all the different things. I like okay. the spaceships and all that stuff. So I drew the aptly named alien guy. Oh, very cool. And his body was Rambo's with the uh, because that's that's what I drew. I ripped off Rambo's body every time and gave him a machine gun and a big alien head. That was Alien Guy. So those are mine: Power Man, Madhouse, and Alien Guy. Maybe one day I'll I'll draw a sketch and toss them up on Twitter for everybody. There you go. I I, uh, I drew a lot too, and I and I'd make up characters. I can't remember any off the top of my head here, but uh, I was very much and this is even before I knew who Rob Liefeld was, but I was very much in that same sort of frame of mind where if like there was like a single blank bit on the page, the picture wasn't done. So like my character would have an eye patch, a headband, a tattoo, armbands, uh, boots, uh, you know, blades on the boots, blades on the (laughs) armbands. Everything had to have like, just like so much on it. There was just a, just an accessory. He's a haberdasher for Christ's sakes. (laughs) So yeah, exactly. So instead of pouches, it was just a whole bunch of crap. Uh, at least you can put things in pouches. I mean, it, with all the spikes I used to put on my guys, I mean, they couldn't go to the bathroom, they couldn't get into a car, they couldn't do anything except like just stand there and pose. But uh, that Who was uh, it. Was all about the pose back then, man. For sure, for sure. And yeah, and you're not kidding about those pages being huge. I uh, I was helping a friend put together a, a comic. Probably, oh boy, probably around the turn of the century, and uh, I had drawn a few pages for him, and my art is is not good, um, but he needed something, he needed some work done, so I, I did some, and I remember I had to buy a tabloid size um, scanner, because, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, because, I mean, there was no way to, because everything I had was so primitive, everything I ever really do, even when putting the, these shows together is is basically by the seat of my pants here. Everything that I use is, is free. You know, I use whatever free thing I can make work. And uh, it was always the same back then too. So I didn't have Photoshop. I didn't have, uh, you know, high tech equipment. I didn't even have like the right pencils and pens, you know? Um, But I did have the 17 by 11 paper and it just uh, trying to line that up because I didn't have a photo editing thing. So I would load it into like Microsoft Word and I would try to <laughs> assemble the page. Perfect. <laughs> so it was so just uh, you know garage uh, you know work here, and uh, and so I had to finally get this uh, this tabloid printer, this tabloid scanner to to scan the work in, and uh, I think I used it three times. Probably spent like three hundred dollars on it. Oh my it, God! Did you ever get your money back? Holy hell no! Shit. Hell no! I didn't. I was an wow. idiot. I'm sure I put it on a credit card that I that it took me you know ten years to pay off, but uh yeah it's it was there next to my Palm Pilot until I th- until we threw it. Out. <laughs> well done, perfect. Yes, but, uh, but yeah, those papers are big. That's uh, that's basically what I'm, <laughs> I'm getting at here. But uh, now th- what's cool about this uh, in a Strike Force Moratori context here is that this little project would be won by one of your favorite artists. Oh my um, God, I'm not aware who won it. Who was it? Well, it's a fellow who's going to be getting his feet wet working for Marvel with uh, this very book soon. Oh, no, no. Very Don't soon. say it. it does, his initials are not MB, are they? They are. Oh, I quit. I'm done. <laughs> this is the end of this podcast. Screw that guy. It was won by Mr. Mark Bagley. <sighs> One of your favorites. No, sir. Favorite? 
uh, does not is not the word that I would use. It would start with an F, but it would definitely not be favorite from what I described. Mark Bagley and his elastic-looking plastic surgery botch-style figures that he does. Just <laughs> terrible. Terrible. I, I don't think it's that bad, but uh, <laughs> your Man. point is well taken. <laughs> Another ad we have here is a big one for Konami NES games. Woohoo! Yes, uh, sir. Two-page spread here with a whole bunch of words on it. Whip, dribble, spin, rescue, duck, hurdle, bombard, screen, roll, dive, pass, evade, sprint, raid, dunk, hurl, loop, leap, capture, stab, defend, shoot, invade, blast, escape, attack, jump, and swerve, bro. (laughs) Indeed. Well, man, I love Konami. So the first three games I ever got for the NES were, Mm -hmm. there were three. First was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, an absolute gem. The next was Nintendo's own Pro Wrestling, which I Mm -hmm. absolutely loved. And the third was a game that I would play a million times over, and my kids and I still play to this day off and on, which was Contra by Konami. Oh, okay. Okay. And you could could bang out that Konami code. Oh, absolutely. and the proper code is, and people screw this up sometime and add an extra button in here, but it's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. And then it's, of course, B-A, and then you have to hit start. So that is the proper Konami code. I hear people saying select start and another up, and I'm like, well, you shut up. It's not the Konami well, code. Select start is if you're playing two players. No. It is up, sure. up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, start, and it hits. you got to literally scroll down. To select, you got to put it on two player, and then you let the screen roll, add in the code, hit start, and your two players will work. I select always did select start. Well, select start would actually move it down to two player. That's yeah. But if you but if but if you do that manually before you input, mm-hmm. it's it's already there, so you already go into two player mode. Huh. And dun, dun, dun See. Huh. And did you know My that my whole the life's kid, been a lie? You know that the Konami code is not only specific to Contra. It's for like oh, a ton it's of a them. bunch. Yeah, yep. done a bunch of those. Yeah. I remember, and I didn't have any internet. I didn't have any code books or anything like that. Now I got a ton later on, but hmm. uh, I rented the game Life Force one time, which is also sure. a Konami game. It's a like a shooter. Yeah. yeah, it's a shooter, and you go through alien, you know, alien spaceships and bodies, and you fight all kinds of things. You're in a spaceship type of thing, and it's just a side scroller. But anyway, my my friends and I were like, hey, you know, that code worked on Contra. I wonder would it work on Life Force? And, of course, we tried it a couple times. It didn't work. And the third time we tried it, 30 men. And we looked at each other like, yes! Just like we... <laughs> Just like we unlocked the secrets of the world, you know what I mean? It was unbelievable. But, I mean, there's tons of games. Today, uh, now it's different combinations, of course. So there are Konami codes for the Castlevania series. There's certain games that it works with. Gradius, the series is. And it even, up to Dance Dance Revolution, even modern games, the Konami code is still in use. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, it's, it's, it's different variations, so, you know, check your cheat codes, but there's definitely cheat codes. But what games were they talking about when they were talking about all these whip, dribble, spin, and all that stuff? What games did they actually promote here, Chris? Well, we, we actually don't have Contra in this list. Uh, we have Russian Attack. You remember Russian, Russian Attack? get it? Get it? Yes. The Russians? They didn't want to say it. Very clever. Yes, and I, I remember not liking that game because I think you died in one hit, and I never liked the games where you died in one hit. <laughs> um <laughs> Track and Field. Okay, Track and Field. I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to bring up Track and Field 2. Yes. Okay, circa 1988, I think. 
mm-hmm. anyway, track and field two. I had just got the NES Max, which was the controller, and it had okay. a little circle in the middle, and it was like a handheld one with handles. Sure. And it it had turbo buttons. And, buddy, I destroyed Track and Field 2 with my turbo uh, NES Max. I mean, I flatlined that game and made it pay for its sins. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I did. Love it. No cheat codes, just the NES Max. I guarantee you. you go. The master of the shot put. And you know what? I would challenge any idiot who's out there listening who wants to challenge me in Track and Field 2. Come to daddy is all I got to say. Oh, we might have to set that up. We, we can get we can get us a Twitch channel, right? We can there you that go. They'll be, they'll, they'll be sorry for that. <laughs> we also have Top Gun, which garbage. I never played. Never garbage. played. Absolute I, garbage. I, I heard like a lot of people have trouble landing the plane, but I never played it, so I couldn't. It's, what, it's one. It's one of those with the bad sound effects too. It's like Top Gun. Terrible. The voice clips in 1988. That's that's awful. Castlevania. Castlevania, of course. That one needs no introduction. Um, We have Double Dribble. Loved it. Basketball game. Fun. Good game. A Stinger. That's a. I think that's a shooter with a submarine. Not familiar. Never heard of it. Uh, The Goonies two. Whatever happened to the Goonies one? Is there a Goonies one? That never came out here. That was a Japanese only, and I believe it came out on the Nintendo Arcade, like the Versus Arcades that were out here in, like, you know, pizza places and stuff. But, uh, yeah, Goonies 2 was uh, one of those – for me, it was, like, a very claustrophobic game because you'd go into yeah. those, like, those like 3D, like, first-person perspective rooms where, like, yes. you turn – I never knew what direction I was facing. I got all claustrophobic, and it's like, okay, yeah. i got to stop before I pass out. So we rented that for a birthday party. We had a bunch of games, okay? So mm-hmm. here's how here's how long I played uh, Goonies too. So like you said, now they had those three D games, and you had no direction where you had to go. Yeah. So the game was inserted. We listened to the music and the animation. We played it once. One guy looked at it and said, "That game shit," and it was ejected and tossed out. And never played again. <laughs> That's Goonies too. That's our it review. Did have people. a really good uh, Cindy Lauper uh, soundtrack though. <laughs> I had Cindy Lauper's the, the good enough one. Uh, uh, yep. <laughs> and then the last game on this ad is Gradius. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not much into shooters, but uh, yeah, it's there. It's fine. Uh, the last one we have is a subscription page, and we've already talked about subscription pages, but I included this one because it has a Christmas theme, and I, I love these. Um, Me too. It's a it's like a picture of a fireplace with uh, like Spider-Man's legging hanging from it, like his stocking. Um, yep. And there's a fully decked out Christmas tree, a bunch of gifts pouring out from the bottom there. And uh, this here, Ed, offers you a special nine-issue subscription for only $5.25 plus $2 postage, which uh, is kind of like a one-issue subscription these days. <laughs> no doubt. You know what's <laughs> funny about these, uh, the Marvel the Marvel subscription pages, especially the Christmas ones. And I always default to the Hulk one where he sat down with his, you know, with I don't know Santa, if it's a, uh, yeah, with the beard done or the, or no, the one, the one where he's actually by the fireplace, he's got his robe on, he's got oh, his okay. legs crossed and he's having like a coffee or something sitting by the fire. And I, these were always comfort food for me, man. It was just something oh, that you'd seen the, seen the comic and you would spend time and you would go down through and you check out the titles and you'd look at oh, the yeah. price. 
and you'd always want to order them, but you never would because you didn't want to. I never, I never ever wanted to damage my comics, so I never would, you know, put scissors to cut out that little form to send it off. You know what I mean? It was always oh, a mind block to me for some reason. But and <laughs> I did end up subscribing a couple times with mixed results, as I've told people over and over and over on this uh, podcast. But uh, <laughs> nope, subscription pages equals comfort food for me, and uh, I, I, I wish there was more of them, and I wish I bought more. So there you go. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, the uh, you're right. This is a, a total comfort food here. You could just uh, and you could tell it's prob. This was probably like a quickie drawing that somebody put out. Just like, okay, we need the Christmas one. Just get it done. And uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's like, hey, you got a fireplace? Put a put a Spidey thing on it. Well, like it, like like, uh, like like everything with uh, with anything that was in a Strike Force moratory uh, book, it's rushed. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's true. Just get it out there. <laughs> Although one thing that this this ad had that not many others did, they had the magazines. So they had they Savage Sword of Conan, and they mm-hmm. had the different things like Marvel fanfare. They had Tales of G.I. Joe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Conan the King, ElfQuest for seven bucks. Hell yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but ElfQuest wasn't specially priced, was it? Um, Let's see no. here. Yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, it was an epic book. So it was. A, I think it was a, maybe a little bit higher. Really? I never, ever thought of that. Yeah, G.I. Joe might... certainly wasn't. G.I. Joe was standard at the time. Same with oh, Gru the Wanderer. Okay, maybe maybe I'm wrong then. Maybe, I don't know why there would be more. Uh, Not only maybe, that, you only got nine issues. Now for seven yeah. bucks, you're still you're still saving a couple bucks. You're still winning. Time. Yeah, yeah, but you got to pay two dollars for shipping. But are you really winning, Chris? For each title. <laughs> but that that's that's for Canada. That's for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, Marvel. Yeah. And then <laughs> then it would then it would arrive in a crumbled heap. Yes, if you're lucky. Thrown, thrown at your doorstep. <laughs> if it comes at all, it's coming crumbled. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> oh, okay. well done. <laughs> that gets us cover to cover on Strike Force Moratory number fourteen. Another wonderful issue. It just feels like the uh, the floor beneath us is getting cr- more and more and more creaky and wobbly. We're just waiting for it to fall out. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's, there, there's a bag about to hit us. It's about to hit us, but uh, that is about all we've got. Uh, before we jam, uh, how about doing some uh, some plugs? Well, certainly, I'd love to, sir. So if you're interested in hearing, uh, well, not only hearing me, you can hear me more on the archives for Moratory Mondays right here, and you can also check us out a little bit later this week as myself, Chris, Mark Radlish, and hopefully some others. Uh, we'll get together and we're going to discuss over on the W2M network on TV party tonight. We're going to be discussing the debacle known as WrestleMania 36. So <laughs> put on your cinematic shoes, people. We got, uh, we got some wrestling to talk about. And mm-hmm. if you really want to, uh, really epic and you got lots of space on your phone. You want to check me out as well. My contribution to Claremont to Claremont, which is, uh, which I'm sure Chris will discuss over here. Mm-hmm. But, uh, when you think about epic, uh epic podcast there's none more epic than the uh the adventure <laughs> you just put us on my friend why don't you talk about it yes uh, i mentioned at the open that this has been a very busy week at the channel and uh the reason for that is that we launched from claremont to claremont an x-men podcast where we're going to be looking at the uh the entirety of the x-men's offerings from the time chris claremont uh left or was walked out or decided to walk out and uh till he came back in 2000 so this is a uh, you know, it's in theory, it's like a nine-year project. I don't know that it will be, but we'll see. <laughs> We're gonna play it by ear. <laughs> but uh, yes, it is. Uh, it is long. It is epic. It is uh, 
the first episode, which is available now at uh, at, at ChrisandReggie.com, ChrisandReggie.Podbean.com, 90sXmen.com, on all your sound-getting device applications, it is uh, 10 hours long, uh, a 10-hour-long <laughs> episode where we go in-depth on eight books, eight X-Men comics uh, that came out during a cover issue, cover month, uh, October 1991. And also there's a segment where we discuss what was going on in Wizard Magazine as it pertains to the X-Men. So we're going deep. This is a deep dive. And uh, as the X-Line grows bigger throughout the 90s, so too will the program. So this is a uh, wild endeavor. Uh, (laughs) It might be uh, it might be one of the dumbest things I've decided to do, but uh, we're going to do it and we're going to have fun doing it. And so far, uh, feedback has been uh, all positive. Uh, people seem to really enjoy the fact that uh, that we're actually giving a fair shake to this uh, oft maligned um, era in comics. It's so, true. And if yeah. you do like if you do like our Moratory Mondays, you're going to love myself and Chris's contribution uh, to well, Chris is on pretty well everything, but yes. Mr. Char- <laughs> Mr. Charlton Hero here, I have one segment, and we d- we discuss some of my favorite schlock X-Force 1 through 3. So if you if you like what we do here on Moratory Mondays, come on and see some Rob Leefield, man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, now, you can also you can also find me at uh, Chris is on Infinite Earth, still doing the daily grind on uh, on blogging over there. Uh, also at Twitter uh, on uh, on Twitter at Ace Comics. Hey, aren't uh, you that UK comic store? I, well, I I might just be. Good, <laughs> All right. I was gonna say I was gonna say good day, mate, but that's the wrong that's the wrong you, uh, accent. You do to, uh, curbside pickup. <laughs> oh, I forgot. We're not allowed to talk about that stuff here. Carry no, on. We, we don't. We don't. We don't discuss real life here. Uh, this is all about Earth eighty seven. So. <laughs> we, Amen. We can talk about other things. But uh, yes, uh, that is all we have for you this week. Um, we want uh, feedback. You know, hit us up wherever you wherever you can find us. We would love to hear from you. Love to hear uh, how you like the the show. How you like the books uh, if you're if you're going to try out strike force moratory you know, we'd love to hear your thoughts especially if you're if you're just joining us for the first time and you decide to start off we want to know what you think about those first few issues because uh they are uh, they are a lot of fun and uh i think they could be kind of a shock to the system to the uninitiated so i think uh that'd be pretty decent conversations and discussions so that'll about do us um but uh don't fret we will uh, talk to you again real real soon See ya.
Happy Monday, everybody. We are about halfway through Moratory Mondays. This is episode 15, where uh, Chris and Chris are going to break down Strike Force Moratory number 15. How are you doing this week, Chris? Oh, let me tell you how I'm doing. It's getting me going. It's keeping me moving on. <laughs> on my system. I'm plugging on and on. There you go. Sounds like you need <laughs> some TLC, maybe a little TLC. <laughs> Maybe later at the end of the show, maybe we'll have some TLC. Who knows? <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> no, I'm doing great, Chris. Uh, you know what? I'm super excited to get dip into some Moratory Monday after a busy week uh, at work, dealing with the, uh, the, the, the troubles of the universe. Yes. But I guarantee you, there'll be none of this on this show, because we're excited nope. and we're ready to talk some Strike Force Moratory. Yeah, and we're almost halfway, brother. Just about. Just about. We're on the cusp of the halfway point here. And uh, it's been a little bit of a uh, sad week here. Uh, I'm still dealing with uh, pangs of loss over Schitt's Creek. How about oh, you? Oh, boy. Now, I have not seen the entire episode as of yet, but uh, okay. I'm about three quarters of the way through. So I haven't seen the finale, but I think they've already spoiled it on the commercial for me. So yeah, it, yeah I, I will agree. Fabulous, fabulous show. I mean... You talk about the levies and uh, what they mm. what they did with not only their own career, but uh, boosting the careers of Moira and the entire gang. Oh boy, unbelievable! Oh, absolutely, it's been a, it's been a highlight of uh, of the television viewing for the past you know five or six years, and uh, the seasons are just they're, they're regrettably short. They're only thirteen or fourteen episodes each. And but I think uh, I think that's what keeps, I think that's what keeps us vital though. So there's it's just, true. It's true. You, it keeps you anticipating every single show, and if you haven't seen Shit's Creek, you oh, really, really, really have to uh, get uh, get on the go with Johnny Rose and his family as they take over the little motel and take it over from Rolling Shit. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's a fact. And it's uh, <laughs> me and the wife. We watched it on uh, Wednesday. Uh, it's on here on the Pop Network either Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember which. We always watch it, uh, you know, uh, on the DVR or on demand, so we don't have to deal with commercials and stuff. And uh, we uh, watched it the same night as we watched the series finale of Modern Family. Oh. Uh, did you ever watch Modern Family? Now, no. That is one show that I may have seen two episodes of the entire run. Okay. I don't know if I'm a fan, but it always sticks out to me as something that I'm going to be going back to. So it looks like it got enough of a buzz. And I, and I know every single character every time I see him on TV. I'm like, oh, Modern Family, Modern Family. But I can't relate it to anything. So I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, that show has been on life support for about five years now. So, oh, ter- uh, terrible, bad show. Uh, they no, the show started off awesome. It was an awesome show starting off. A lot of fun. Um, the real, uh, just interesting dynamic between all these characters. It was just a pleasure to watch for the first. Uh, it, it it ran eleven seasons. I'd say like the first five or six were are kind of like must see. They're really good. So um, do they do they struggle from um, cousin theory? Halfway, no. uh, halfway through, these you know, start getting they new did, characters. And... They, they did. They, the new, new children were introduced. Um, side characters were introduced. So yeah, they did add to the cast, but they also fell into that other, uh, you know, TV tropey thing where they all became kind of cartoon characters. Oh no! So, so they, yeah. So basically, a lot of shows. If you don't know what we're talking about, there's a lot of tropes that that occur during regular sitcoms. And you know, back in the '80s, we got to see a lot of them, especially with the Cosby Show. Oh so sure. When, it, when, when the cast, yeah. yeah, Full House. When cast became interchangeable, or people had to leave because of contracts or or other situations or what have you, they would always replace them, and they'd have this mysterious cousin who would show up, <laughs> yeah. or 
or or even better, a character who wasn't supposed to be popular will all of a sudden take off in popularity, and then the show began to center around these certain people. So Steve Big Urkel. Bang, yeah, yes, Steve Urkel, Happy Days, right, right on back to the Fonz. You sure. had, uh, yeah, Family Matters had Steve Urkel. It all became the Urkel Show, basically, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every, everything everything changes over time, and sometimes it's to the fans' detriment. But uh, hopefully, by the sound of it, it was to the fans' detriment. If if you're only halfway through and the the last five seasons were on life support, that doesn't sound promising. Yeah, it's like uh like one of the kids was like a nerd, so like her entire character became about like you know solving quantum theories and stuff, and uh, another one was a ditz, so she became like a total vapid airhead. Without they they just went from three dimensional characters to one dimensional characters, and uh, watching that because that that finale was two hours long. Wow, long for a finale. sitcom, that is crazy. Long finale. Um, and we watched that, and then immediately followed it up with Shit's Creek, and it was like going from <laughs> just like the the most dumb, dismal thing in the world to something that I actually like I'm mourning the loss of because Shit's Creek was uh, just awesome the entire oh, way yeah. through. Yeah, and, that uh, came that came out of nowhere. That was a uh, oh for sure. That was that was a CBC show here in Canada, and yeah. uh, CBC is not known for their breakout material. Trust me. <laughs> so uh, speaking speaking as a Canadian, you know, when when things break out here in Canada and become popularized in the U.S., it's it's a cause for celebrations. Like yeah, yeah, they like our stuff. <laughs> not only bare naked ladies for two songs, they <laughs> like know. our Shit's Creek. So when Wait, I saw Shit's, yeah, go ahead. Bare naked ladies have more than two songs. Oh, shut your mouth. <laughs> One one day I'm going to do one of my stirring renditions of a Stephen Page Bare Naked Lady song and and tune thy rills, sir. That's what I'll say. (laughs) Is we uh, we were watching um, back like the channel that uh, Shoots Creek is on here is pop the pop channel, which used to be the soap opera network or TV guide channel, which kind of took over the programming from the soap opera channel. So you'd have like. Uh, like three or four hours of like 90210 in the midday. Ooh, ooh. Yes, sir. And, Good. Oh, hey. Me and the wife were me and the wife were hooked on that show. Celebration. Uh, it was one of those shows that I was kind of embarrassed to tell my wife I liked because you know it's 90210. But uh, and she made fun of me for it at first, but then she watched it and fell in love with it. And uh, we kept seeing these commercials for Shit's Creek during Beverly Hills 90210. We're like, what in the hell could this be? And. Uh, <laughs> They kept showing like the same commercial over and over again, and it looked like it would be the most annoying thing ever. But we watched it and and instantly fell in love with the show. It's 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 really a wonderful show, and if you haven't, it, it's like the the Strike Force moratory of a of a half hour uh, comedy series. If you haven't seen it, make 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 it uh, your uh, your mission to uh, to check it out. It's on a bunch of the streaming uh, scenarios out there. It is the rebirth of Eugene Levy, sir, and it For is sure. amazing, amazing. And Dan Levy breaks out as a megastar, so there you oh, go. Oh God, yeah, no, awesome, awesome Man. stuff. So, yeah, so that is a that is my uh, sad tale of woe for the week. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we have uh, another tale to tell, and uh, we're gonna open it up with an update on our recruits. All right, so before we begin, I'm just going to do a little recap so everybody is caught up so you can get the full emphasis of this particular episode. Mm-hmm. So in the last in the last few weeks, we saw one half of our recruits uh, use dimensional portals to return to Moratory Earth 87. Now, two recruits, their Dreamscape and Med, had previously jumped to an alternate dimension, and they were avoiding a swarm of Horde invaders. Of course, they found themselves in a difficult situation. Uh, Dreamscape used his powers, and he created a portal and got them the heck out of Dodge. Now, of course, 
they ended up finding themselves in Soviet Russia, where another war, a parallel war, was taking place as well with something called the Red Watch. So it mirrored a lot of what we saw with the Black Watch of Moratory Earth, just a little different. Mm-hmm. Now, during this battle, of course, they when they got there, they realized, okay, we got to get the heck out of here as well. But before they did, they saved an injured soldier named Splintered Red. Now, he's a giant armored, almost cable-like character from battle. And when they teleported, they came to a very familiar part of the world, which they, you know, they, they laid their ground on. And they met up with something called the Red Watch. And their leader was Harold Everson, who was long deceased. He was known as Viking from the early, early part of our moratory story that we cover here. And uh, he was very much alive. So it's definitely a parallel, a parallel universe version of him, but very, very much alive and along with the original Black Watch members. So mm-hmm. when they got their bearings around them, they formulized a plan. They want to jump back in time to Earth, you know, back to Earth proper in 87. And they want to bring their newly found tech that they've been eradicating the Horde with back in time. So they're actually going to do some time travel, Terminator style, and go back and wipe out this Horde at their source. So now the the recruits, our new recruits, were flanked by a very much alive Harold Everson, two members of the Black Watch, and uh, they're headed to Moratory Labs via portal. They're going to visit the process corrod, uh, creator, Dr. Tu Lima, who uh, couldn't believe his eyes when he gets to see them as they teleport into the laboratory. Now things start to go bad as we get to see that the Red Watch and fake Harold uh, <laughs> their mood changes, <laughs> and they reveal they're not here for any pleasure cruise. They're not, they're not even not what they seem. In fact, um, they're, they're Hordian traitors. So they're, they're actually working for the Horde. So these new recruits met in Dreamscape have to deal with these Horde people who are now dead center in the heart of a very much unprotected Moratory Labs. Now, Dreamscape takes a turn himself. So Dr. Tulima is shot by his own recruit, Dreamscape, leaving only Med to defend for himself. Now, we get to see that secrets are unveiled when Foe Herald uses forces med to use his powers his powers of resuscitation so he can bring people back to life and different healing powers and he has to revive a fallen hordian leader which has and the reason for them coming to the lab in the first place is one of their hordian commanders the dead body was in the laboratory being tested on so now with the leader now revived med's usefulness of course to uh to this renegade team is no longer so harold just before we pulled the plug on last week's episode, ordered his death. But before tragedy could strike, another portal opens up, and guess who it is? It's good old Splinter Red, who managed to stay behind, and we thought that he was pulling a fast one on his own recruits and up to something. But he was not only up to something, he was actually protecting his team members. So he arrives ready for battle, full cable armor, with a large shoulder cannon over his shoulder, and despite the recruits' apprehension about their Soviet friend, this guy's no Hordian supporter. He's out for blood. But before we dive back in there, we're going to touch base with our other two team members who are still escaping, getting in a dodge in the Hordian's uh, sanitation vehicle. So we meet up with Forcefield and Longshot. And, of course, they are as well fleeing uh, the Horde troopers. So Horde troopers are tracking them down. They're on hover bikes. But they're in a sanitation truck, and they're barreling their way down through the forest. So they actually had to take a turn to evade their pursuers. Now, Lockshot leaps back into the back of the vehicle, blows out the back window with his eye blasts, and he starts shooting these people, one at, like shooting ducks. So as they're flying towards him, he manages to take out at least three of them with his blasts and even knocks down several trees trying to create barriers and obstacles just to slow the people from coming at him. But the vehicle sways and rocks as they hit bumps because they're in the woods. They don't even have a clear path. This guy is just driving. 
with the pedal to the metal. And, you know, the other guys are flying through the forest on the hover bikes, chasing them down. You know, Force Field uh, manages to place the vehicle in a protective barrier because that's his powers. He can actually put shields over everything. So he's trying to protect himself. But, you know, he's getting bombarded with blasts. He's getting hit with trees. Stuff is slapping all over the place. And they manage to get, you know, they manage to shake shake loose their uh, their pursuers. So Lockshot starts to celebrate, and it appears they have shaken him off. But celebration is short-lived because Force Field screams. He tries to slam on the brakes because they were at the end of a cliff embankment that they couldn't see, almost like your GPS thing. This <laughs> last week. <laughs> but it's too late for the brakes, and the vehicle skids off the cliff, sending our hero, sanitation vehicle and all, plunging to their doom. Now, here's where it gets good. Back at Moratory Labs, we get to see Med, and he's, uh, he's in harm's way, but Splinter Red moves into position. Foe Herald and the Hordian commander stand defiant, and they laugh at the two remaining recruits. As the door opens, they hear seemingly waves of in- incoming Hordian troopers in the hallways. I mean, they're commencing on them. Splinter Red motions to Med to get behind him as he locks his cannon on the Hordian commander and fake Herald. Now, Med looks around in horror, and this room is starting to fill up with Hordian warriors. And they're, they're surrounding the uh, the commander and, and evil Harold. Now, Harold grins as his army swarms the laboratory. He motions the Dreamscape, his fellow traitor, and orders him to seal off the room and trap them in. Trap in his remaining teammates so they can overwhelm them. Standing over the fallen, murdered Dr. Tulima, which he killed, he's surrounded by a sea of dead scientists as well that occupied the room. Splinter Red opens his mask and grins. He goes, Comrade Dream, time to turn the lights on. Dreamscape smiles, and he begins to shine his energy all around, and the bodies, including Talima, disappear as if they were a illusion the entire time. He opens up a portal on his right, and out comes sanitation vehicle and all, lockshot and force field, and they crash land right in the middle of the laboratory. Both men emerge, they, they get together, and as they can see, all the good guys... As they get their bearings, they're standing together once once and for all. So all our recruits, well, except one who, who passed on, are all together. Now, Fake Harold laughs as he reveals himself as the Hordian warrior, and he lowers his chameleon device so he can actually see that he is actually a Horde warrior who is just concealing himself. He adjusts his communicator so he can speak in English. He said, this is where it ends, humans, the last stand of the moratory. We will be triumphant for our warriors. You cannot stand. You must submit to us now or perish. Anyway, he says, five against an army, those odds cannot be overcome. The battle has ended, and it belongs to Thunderfist. That's the Hordian commander. Splinter Red, however, has alternate plans. He laughs to, he laughs to the horror of his teammates, and they're, they're pretty panicked. He says, five against an army, you say? You forgot about our sixth moratory. Commander Beth, showtime. The entire lab disappears, and we see the entire lab is just an illusion. Everyone finds themselves in the middle of the garden. Mm. The horde looks on in shock as this is an elaborate trap. The garden foliage very much comes alive. Uh, is this this living weapon, this ecosystem, and the essence of Beth Neon, and the ultimate battle is about to begin. Next Ooh. is the last stand of the moratory. How about that? You zigged instead of zagged there. Yes, sir. So uh, Mr. Splinter Red had a plan the entire time. He's been living in the past, and uh, he mm-hmm. came up with a plan. He just had to lure these people into position, and bam, right to the garden, ready for slaughter. Love it. Fantastic. Wow, but that is not the only Moritori story for today. <laughs> we 
we get to hop into the actual issue we're going to be covering here. Now, that one is Strike Force Moratory number 15, cover dated February 1988. And uh, the title is dot, 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 that is the question. Okay. Boy, they're not wrong. They are not. Um, now, story, Peter B. Gillis. Pencils, Brent Anderson. Inks, Al Williamson. Letters, Phil Felix. Colors, The Honeymoon's Over, Max Scheel. Uh, edits, Carl Potts. The Cheese, Tom DeFalco. And, uh, <laughs> and check it out. We have, for two regions where this uh, book is uh, shown as on sale, there have been a price increase. This, is, yeah, this has gone up to $1 USD and up to $1.25 Canadian while staying 40p in the UK. That's because so, nobody knows what 40p means anyway. That could be an does. arbitrary number. Though. Is it $10 one week and $5 <laughs> the next? We don't know. It's just 40p. Who cares? That's it. It's You might have it in your pocket. You might not. Um, <laughs> now, this one went on sale on October 6th, 1988. And uh, this cover, eh, I'm not a fan. How about you? I can't, you know what, this is the third uh, such cover when you see Moratori draped in some fashion of vines or fighting some vines or fighting a garden, you know what I mean, or fighting some monsters. Sure. So this cover is somewhat familiar. Uh, I didn't mind it so much, but yeah, I'll tell you what, it is getting a little old, I will tell you that for sure. Yeah, like if, if I was still digging through the bins for this book, uh, you know, I would think every time I saw this one, I would think I had it already. And, Absolutely. Uh, this, this it, appears to be one of the early early 10, 10, 10 issues or whatever. Yeah, it just looks so similar. And on it here, uh, the, the Moratoria, they're fighting some uh, rather perverted-looking tentacle-covered hordes <laughs> that uh, we will meet as we get deeper into the story here. Um, now, the solicitation for this issue doesn't necessarily spoil anything, so we can, uh, we can actually share it at the start here. Uh, the solicitation reads, They were transformed into Earth's greatest heroes, knowing that they would die within 12 months as a fatal side effect. Now, one of the moratory, Radian, has a chance to find a cure for the terminal consequences, but his quest for that cure may cut the lives of his teammates even shorter when he leads them into a trap set by a band of super-powered alien Hordians. And uh, Is that so hard? Is that so hard, Chris? Is that so hard to make one paragraph about a book you're trying to sell? Well, it would have been better if the solicitation for this this solicitation was like three issues back because it ex- <laughs> it, it describes that story instead of this one. <laughs> oh man! Radium, he led them into a trap like what like five months recording time and like three months <laughs> issue time. way back in season one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> But uh, here we were being revisited by it here. And just like last time with the bullpen bulletins, we had like we had the blurb for issue 16, which we're not even going to cover till next time. So <laughs> such a disaster with the, with the, the way Mar- they're put Marvel together. Comics did not care one iota about they this book. Not, no, no sooner. No, no sooner did our man shooter leave than they this just <laughs> this was <laughs> a, a very, very low priority. Um Ugh. I don't even know if uh, the cheese even knew this was coming out. Um, now, into our story proper here. And uh, our story does open inside a church. And uh, there we meet our man, Louis Arminetti, or Louis Arminetti. And uh, he is here to ask some tough questions. Uh-huh. Yes, he's approached by a nun, and she instantly recognizes him as one of the Morituri. He asks her if suicide in the form of undergoing the moratory process is tantamount to a mortal sin of despair. 
And uh, well, that's the question that I ask my nuns every time I see them. <laughs> I don't know true. about you. It's Excuse true. Me. You Excuse to me, ma'am. Uh, I'm just wondering if this moratory process is tantamount to the mortal sin of despair. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. It does. It really does. Uh, now, she assures him that it is not. And uh, she attempts to assuage his concerns by talking about uh, how all a number of brave sacrifices that have been made throughout history, you know, naming some holy martyrs and uh, whatnot, just to uh, try to set his fears aside here that, you know, he is doing something for the right reason. And it's not it's not the same as if he just, you know, put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. Absolutely. Now, he reframes the question and then he asks if hypothetically if it were possible to maybe get out of this pending doom and he chose not to, would that then be a sin? Which is interesting food for thought here. And uh, she asks him to maybe sit down for a bit so he can elaborate because she doesn't really quite understand the scope of his question, but he declines. He uh, chooses to leave the church and head back to base instead. I like that Louis conflicted. You know, when you think about traitors, he's not a traitor in a classic sense. So, all he wants to do, basically, I mean, his his motive is is admirable. So he wants it's to find altruist. a cure. Yeah, yeah. He he wants to find a cure, not just for himself, but for everybody. But he can't seem to pull the trigger on the damn thing, which is no. which is such a shame. But no one knows how much damage that Louis has actually done <laughs> by yes. trying to do this. So inadvertently, he's actually caused deaths. You know, in in his yeah. wakes, in his search for the cure. So I mean, you can squarely place the deaths of Robert and Jaylene on, on you know Louis's ignorance. I mean, he has literally the weight of the world on his shoulders, and that's why he's in church hoping to uh, you know back off some of that drama off him. So sure, yeah, Robert, Jaylene, and also the hundred of uh, workers in Moritory Mountain. I mean, uh, he's got a lot of lives, uh, you know, squarely on his shoulders here. Uh, now we jump back to base and. Uh, Stop us if you heard this one before. Uh, we get a scene that uh, is getting a little bit long in the tooth here, if we're being honest. It's <laughs> it's a training sequence in which uh, wow, Command- <laughs> right? How novel! Uh, now during uh, during this scene here, Commander Yuri makes the Murray work in ways to where they can <gasps> make all their powers work together in order to attain a goal. And uh, it's like we're getting this like every issue now, isn't it? This is like a workshop, a strike force moratory workshop. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know. The writer seems adamant about, you know, for some reason wanting to specifically fill those readers in on their power sets for every moratory. Yeah. You know, there's easier ways to do this at the cost of the story, man. Just think about one of the, and here, here's me. I'm actually going to say it. So some of the books published today actually do things right. So they actually have a little chunk of storyline in a little tiny page that recaps where our heroes are and what, you know, what we should know about certain characters. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's necessary. Marvel, Marvel specifically does a pretty good job of filling the reader in, you know, where, where they pick up now. Is it, is it the best way to do it? Should you be able to follow the story and understand? Yes, you should. But in the event of, uh, you know, the tragedy that is 2020 comics, it's, it's a good, useful tool. So why not have a story recap instead of every single time having to put people through a training session to show sure. off their powers. I mean, come on, this is this is burning valuable time. I, I like that you called it a workshop because it's almost like Gillis is challenging himself to come up with creative ways to have them work together. It's uh, oh, oh, they're stretching the bounds here for sure, for sure. Now, the task that Yuri gives them is to stop an oncoming train as quickly and as painlessly as possible. Um, to start, Sheer, our, our Seth Rollins-looking fellow, here he he attempts to carve his way through the tunnel. But 
he's not strong enough. I mean, his powers, his powers seem a little bit limited than I thought originally. I didn't expect yeah. him to be able to stop the train per se, you know what I mean? Or be able to dig an entire tunnel, but I expected him to at least do a little bit more damage with his powers. I mean, <laughs> this guy's got like glorified grass cutting power. So I think I might have slightly overestimated the guy. Now the ending of this book might, uh, might change my mind, but, uh, as of right now, I wasn't convinced that Sheer was, uh, what he says he is. Yeah, it's it's these new uh, members here, and we're going to get deeper into them as we go. They remind me of one of the big problems I have with some of the current year uh, comics here, where you just get these weird ensemble casts, and there's always like a couple of characters who have like the the funny ha ha powers, you know, like yeah. during a uh, during like the Bendis run on Uncanny X Men, he had gold balls. This, uh, <laughs> Come on, you're not. This fellow, are you really trying? You're just trying to say balls. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy named Gold Balls, and he created Gold Balls, which came, which was useful exactly once, you know. And it's like, <laughs> but the rest of the time we get to laugh at the he he he. We get to write Gold Balls. Th- that's what these these new moratori kind of feel like without the crassness. It's just like powers that might come into use once, you know. Um, where like how we wrote off Jaylene early on and turned out that she had like the most adaptable powers that there were of adaptation. This just doesn't feel like something that's going to be of a whole lot of use. Maybe they can prove us wrong uh, or prove me wrong. Um, now Aileen, she hops in and she gives Sheer a hand. Uh, she tries to melt part of the wall away, man. Her powers are, they're badass. And I mean, you know yeah. what? Uh, if she's given more time, she can pretty well do the most damage out of all of them, to be quite honest with you. She can sure. melt molecular bonds. So, I mean, she can make stuff melt, basically. So if she had enough time on this train, she could literally dissolve it into thin air. But, you know, it takes time to do that stuff. So yeah, there you go. For sure. Uh, Louis and fake-ass Harold, they team up together, and they try to disrupt the train's laser sensors. And uh, <laughs> goes without saying, they are unsuccessful. You always get this one guy at work who like half asses his efforts, you know. So say for example, you know, you got a you got a team and they're like lifting a very very large unit, but you know, four or five people have to lift this thing. You always get that one guy who sort of got his hands under. You can tell that he's doing absolutely nothing, you know what I mean? <laughs> and when you're talking about fake Harold and Louie, I mean, they're trying to distract sensors. Come on, a light, a light bulb and a deflector. <laughs> Come on, let's let's be honest. They prove useless again here. Once again, yes. Now, hard case hardens Brava's arm, and she rushes into, uh, well, to put it bluntly, she runs in to punch the train. Uh, this this only men- this only manages to dent the train, not absolutely stop it. I mean, it's a decent use of, of hardening powers. I mean, I don't know where you go with hardening powers, but anyway. But why not just harden the entire team and stand in front of the train? Right? No, no. This, <laughs> am I being am I being stupid here? This is like that uh, that like tired old uh, cliche stand up joke. It's like, hey, if the black box always survives the plane crash, why not just build the whole plane out of the black box? It's <laughs> they, they, I don't know why. It's like let's just use Brava, not not the other eight <laughs> super powered characters here. Um, Sheer, you know, uh, he's a uh, not uh, not satisfied to fail just once. He jumps back into the fray. And he uh, lands on the front of the train, and he attempts to use his powers to cut through it. But he is frozen in place by our man Deguchi, who, uh, in a very weird use of his power, I don't understand this power set here. He says he can sense through Sheer, 
that the train is rigged to explode if Shear were to cut into it. Ah, huh? so he so he created well, he's trying to create panic so he doesn't blow up everybody. I guess that's what's happening. But how does he sense that through sheer? <laughs> don't <laughs> <laughs> maybe sheer knows more than we're letting on. Mm. Ooh, perhaps Ooh. Um, hard case gets back into the battle here and he uh, jumps onto the train and he hardens the laser scopes on the lasers. And this actually seems to work. They, they yep. can't, you know, focus uh, their uh, their beams. Uh, silencer then. <laughs> Dampens the noise. So uh, Louis can zero in on the inner works of the train, and then he does something? I'm I'm, I'm just going to say it. Silencer is pointless. Gold there, balls. There, there is gold balls, 100%. <laughs> There's zero use for this character, Chris. I mean, yeah. there needs to be something else here. I mean, all we have right now is, is an excuse for a stereotypical African queen with volume control. That's yeah. basically what she does. I mean, why not have, like, the strength of a lion or speed or something? Jesus. Yeah, or, or since her since her power is basically powerless, is, is worthless, th- they should show that. You know, they yes. should show that. It's like, it's like, yeah, make it quiet. Oh, that helped, you know? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they should play with it. Absolutely comments. play with yeah. it. Um, now, Aileen and Sheer, they use their powers in tandem somehow to, again, do something. Uh, this isn't clear how they're stopping the train, but whatever they, whatever Louis, Aileen, and Sheer did, it managed to stop the train. Uh, the art doesn't really show exactly how this worked, uh, and I really couldn't hazard a guess as it as how it did work. No, it's it's really weird. I don't I don't know. It was I, I don't get it. I, I yeah. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now Yuri, uh, the commander, he tells them that they took too long stopping the thing before. Blipping <laughs> off the comm screen. Um, uh, a classic boss, right? You guys yep. took too long. You're stopping an incoming train with with a silencer, a reflector, and a light bulb. Come on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now we rejoin the tr- the team after the dust settles during a little bit of R and R, and they recount this latest training session. And uh, you know, the only thing that justifies this training session actually of having occurred here is brought to light here. Uh, it's brought to everyone's attention that Toxin and Scaredy Cat, that's you know Ruth and Pilar, they were left out of the proceedings altogether. Like mm. they were there physically, but there was never a you know a proper opening for them to pitch in and stop this train. And uh, I wonder if this might have been done on purpose. Think about this: you're you're at a workplace and you have that one person, maybe in a union or maybe who's vocal against something, and mm. they stand up for all the yeah, whistleblower. And guess what happens 99% of the time to whistleblowers, unfortunately? They get moved to the back of the bus. They yep. get every, you know, they get so much work that they can't keep up and you try to write them out and get them gone as fast as possible. So, mm-hmm. you put them I'm somewhere think, where they're not going to complain or they're not going to notice things. Yeah, you you move and, them out of sight. Right, and good old Ruthie, she's mm-hmm. got a mouth on her, so she's not going to sit back and just let people take over her, you know what I mean? So, you know, you got a situation there where literally last episode they were on trial and Ruth used her poison powers to actually poison people yep. <laughs> into to make them literally prove them not guilty. So, I mean, you're talking about someone who's a bit of a renegade there, but it looks like it's come back to haunt them because they're not part of this little team anymore here. So looks mm-hmm. like, I mean, curbing the second generation of recruits is a little strange, but to me as a reader, it endears me to them. So, you know, I'm starting yeah. to pick up. More and more every single issue that I like this second generation of teams, including the douche. Yep, you for know, sure. 
Even sure. the dude, she's he's grown on me, but Ruth is one of those people who speaks out against authority, so you know, she's on a blacklist type of deal. I think that's what's happening here. And one that's of her friends. Be, yeah, yeah, that's gotta be it here. Um now Louis, uh, as they're all rela- relaxing here, um, he looks over at Aileen and he thinks to himself just how tragic it is that she's pregnant. And as the moratory will die within a year of going undergoing the process, she will die before giving birth. Listen to Debbie Downer. Holy cow. He is full of doom and gloom here. He is <laughs> he is listening to some real dark music right now. Um, now, he hopes that the Padilla don't find out that Aileen is pregnant. Otherwise, he assumes that they'd probably turn the child into a test subject. Uh, he then, with his thoughts, leaves the room. He seems to care a little bit more about the kid than Aileen because, man, he ain't he ain't sparing her no words, sir, on the guilt trip. <laughs> Holy cow. I'm getting, you, know, you, you know what? You think about the times here. You think about sure. it. I mean, we're in we're in 1988 mm-hmm. and we I think we're around, you know, the explosion of the whole pro-life controversy and all that stuff. So we're, I'm getting a little bit of a vibe on that in this entire story. And I think this is where some of this comes out because it's really, you know, it was really pitching a tent in the late 80s. You know what I mean? Sure. So. I'm thinking that this may be an attempt to be a little bit timely when it comes to, you know, what do you do with a baby, you know, on someone who's going to die and, you know, controversy surrounding different uh, different pro-life choices and different things like that. So, I mean, you know, I think they're touching hot buttons here, Chris. You might be onto something there. The more I think about it, because, like, the fact that you brought to, uh, to attention there that he's really not too concerned with Aileen. Uh, no. That goes back to that argument where it's like, well, the, you know, the the parent, the the parent or the uh, potential parent should be responsible because the child didn't do anything. The child didn't choose, you know, to to be uh, to be born into the moritori world here. You know, we don't. It. It's a, it is an interesting um, sort of parallel with real world stuff of the day, and uh, we won't go into it. But I mean, it's a, it's very uh, very interesting food for thought, and uh, it's, it's Papa don't preach material. <laughs> Where is Danny Aiello when we need him? <laughs> She's in oh, trouble boy. deep, that girl. <laughs> she is. But she, she'll probably keep the baby, right? <laughs> um, now, we do follow Louis with his thoughts topside because he has a phone call to make. And on the other end of the line is Dr. Tulima, who we haven't seen in a little while. The old now, crusty uh, <laughs> creator of the moratory yes. process, Dr. Tulima. <laughs> now, Louis inquires about this moratory cure. To which Adrian Tulima reiterates that he was working on a cure at one point before the Padilla redirected his efforts toward perfecting the process. You know, they it's, wanted it's, more Jaylene's. Yes, it's interesting that they avoid that entire topic here. They do. Yeah. They Why do. is and that? I, Why do you think that is? That whole story plot point of making an entire army of adepts is out the window. So why is that? It's weird. I don't, because you know, as we get deeper into this issue here, this whole conversation gets called into into is kind of made suspect here. Um, yep. A lot of it feels. Well, we'll get into it. We'll we'll get into it and we'll reflect when we get there. Um, now, uh, our our Dr. Tulema he reveals that he'd been working with a colleague on the cure, and this colleague unfortunately was killed in a horde raid. Louis asks a very pointed and very convenient question. Which is, was your colleague's body ever found? Talima says no. Mm. Eh, no. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Now, Louis disconnects the call, wondering if perhaps Doc's partner wasn't killed, but was perhaps instead captured by the Horde. Then he thinks a little bit more, and he thinks about the video he'd been given featuring Bruce Higashi of the Black Watch, and uh, you know, showing him alive and well, and 
having been cured of the process. And our man Louie here, he's really unsure what's going on here, but he intends to find out. If you're on the outside looking in, it certainly looks like our team are being intentionally limited to a one-year lifespan on purpose yep. as to not let their, you know, let these super-powered human beings get out of control. You know, it, it when you think about it, it's a pretty harrowing thought, but consider... Think about the Justice League if they existed in real life. Imagine the real world, real world problems you would have if a team like a superpower team like the Justice League ever went rogue on society. I mean, I would you be? It. Yeah, you'd never be able to take them down. I mean, you could talk about your Avengers and all that stuff, but there ain't nobody stopping the Justice League. <laughs> no. I'm telling you right now. No, mm, absolutely not. Now we hop back into the uh, the main part of the base here, and um, Yuri is talking to the team, but. He's interrupted when the alarms begin to sound, and uh, the commander dispatches the team. I want to talk something about here. So if you're going through the first issues of Strike Force Moratory, you know that when those alarms sound, that these heroes literally jumped to their feet. I mean, they could oh, yeah. not wait to engage in battle. It was a badge of honor. It was something they were excited about. They wanted, you know, they literally went on missions when they weren't allowed to. But right now, it seems like the enthusiasm is completely gone from the core. You know, the the originals who were excited to go into battle, and you got some newbies here filling in roles, but I mean, the biggest difference between the two teams, between the originals and now, seems like the mojo is gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you had no generation. Yeah, yeah, you had the first team who was excited to get into war and all that stuff based on moratory propaganda. Then you had Generation 2, who were basically hero worshippers. You know, they loved the Strike Force, and they wanted to do exactly what their heroes were doing. And then you got this weird third generation with Sheer and the gang, and they don't seem to outwardly display any of that joy or even purpose that the original gang had. And, I mean, it's really... I mean, you don't get that scene where they're jumping and leaping into the ship. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, shit, the alarms are going off. Here comes the mm-hmm. horde again. You know what I mean? So the the mood in the room, as Taz would say, has changed. Yeah, and I hope I hope that was an artistic decision, not to have the big leaps here, because yeah. that's one thing that we always pointed out in those early issues. It's like they're always leaping, no matter what. They're <laughs> jumping to get to the battle. And no, that is not here. And you know, it, it, you almost get like that weird sort of uh, sort of like corporate boy band sort of feeling with this third gen where it's like you got it exactly right. Yeah, it's like it's like, OK, well, we need this sort of character. We need this. It's either the, uh, you know, the corporate boy band or a Jim Lee superhero team where it's like, it's okay, like it, we, it's, got, we got the one with the claws. We got the bad boy. <laughs> we got the, we got the one who could do the healing thing. It's we got the psychic. It's just very, very uh, tropey and cliche. It's like the first time that they ever introduced the moratory thing. It was like a volunteer type thing. And they were like, well, you know, are we going to get anybody it was like a to apply for this? Yeah. yeah. Is there anybody going to be going for this? And then all of a sudden you get these other people who are just wandering in off the street, wanting to be their heroes and different <laughs> things like that. And then it became, like you said, you got Yuri just basically creating a team of soulless boy band material yeah. people. For sure, and and it's so much of it is, it's like they're going back to the old uh, Black Watch playbook where they're, they're building this on propaganda. Like the la- the mission we we read last issue was a propaganda mission. It was a it was a sham, and uh, it seems to be that this is a whole bunch of uh, spin control and uh, and uh, perception that they're trying to uh, push in front of the the public here. Now they deploy on their supersonic jet, and before we know it, they're flying over Candy with a K, India. Mm. which uh, I guess is actually part of Sri Lanka, or maybe it wasn't always. I, I didn't look too deep into it, but uh, I, there is I a failed. kingdom of candy in Sri, I, Sri Lanka. I didn't, I didn't do well in geography, so I can't tell you. 
I didn't do well in geometry either. Um, (laughs) As they're flying over Candy, uh, they find that the entire city is burning. And it looks as though the Horde is trying to raid a pharmaceutical plant. Our heroes land, they deboard, and go on the attack. And initially, right off the bat, it looks as though this group of Hordians are going to be easy pickings for the gang. And in fact, it's all the new people that are able to cause them to withdraw all by their lonesome. We have uh, Brava just beating the crap out of one of them. Sheer presses his hand into one's chest and shears its heart in half. Hold that thought. Uh, Hard case, he bashes like a big wooden rod and picks up the the, uh, splinters. And then, like, makes, like, wolverine claws, and he starts slashing at them. And, Don't you uh, think that he would just harden the wood and just hit them with the full wood? Why not? Why just pick the splinters? I Yeah, I think that just looked cooler on the panel. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's got to be it. <laughs> now, so it looks like this is just going to be a, a walk in the park for the, uh, for the moratory here. Unfortunately, this was all a tactical ruse, because mm. the Horde only wanted to draw the moratory in, so... They could, they can unleash an attack with the all new, all different Super Hordians. Dun, dun, dun. This is like Turtles too, right here. It is, it is. Now these are those gross Hordians from the cover, and they've got these like weird fleshy claws, like almost looks like lobster claws, but they're flesh, and uh, like tentacles, <laughs> yeah. like a like a like a sack of tentacles bursting from their bellies, and uh, the tentacle, the tips of these tentacles are a little bit suspect looking. Um, <laughs> penile in nature, I would say. Some are very, very penile. They look like they could be a tang phone from that ad. Um, some look like mouths, kinda. Others look like like weird, like nasty clusters of cow udders. Really, really unpleasant to look at, and probably just as unpleasant to draw. And what color are they? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just pointing it out, Chris. I'm not... I'm just pointing it out. It, it seems like the horde designs seem to change from issue to issue. You know, we get like extreme vari- variations. I mean, you take a look at the horde we were introduced to in issue one, right up to now. It always seems like there's almost a mutation process going on, or something. Like, like, are the horde experimenting on themselves? Like, are they trying to, you know, become moratory themselves? Have they ever thought of that? Like, why not take the process and add it to themselves? Because I mean, ideally, all the horde do anyway is steal. So you think that they would steal the process and stick some of their, you know, lazy ass horde troopers right in there, or even some cats, and <laughs> send them out to battle. That that is an awesome idea, though. Um, like the moratory fighting fire. I mean, the the horde fighting fire with fire. You know, it's like yep. If if the if the moratory can barely beat back the regular hordians, imagine super powered ones here. Yeah. And uh, well, that's exactly what we see here. The Super Hordians go on the attack, and uh, it's pretty elementary. They tangle up the heroes in their gross tentacles. Now, Louis, our main man here, our you know one to grow on character, he is just standing there like a doofus. And uh, <laughs> Ruthie has to yell at him, like, "Hey, you have powers. Your friends are getting hurt. Maybe do something." <laughs> I love this. I mean, Louie is standing there like a complete dolt, and Ruth is mm-hmm. giving it to him. I mean, she's looking around. She's surveying the damage, and she's got no intention of dying, okay? She is no. the leader, and her whole mission is to make sure that she's surviving, of course. But she can't do this unless these other idiots play their part, you know what I mean? <laughs> so... 
I mean, Louis, Louis's no longer useful in battle. I mean, he's conflicted. No. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. He knows that his superpowers, they're not super useful in the heat of battle. I mean, he's a, he's a giant lampshade for God's yeah. sake. There's only so <laughs> many times you can flash the enemy until they're like, okay, let's just wear sunglasses and he's useless. Yep. <laughs> but I love Ruth. I love Ruth asserting her de facto leadership again. It shows, yeah. you know, it shows the real dilemma of this whole team. I mean, who is in charge? I'll tell you, no one. <laughs> And nobody wants to be in charge. Oh, so Ruth has to just take it on. Okay. She Yeah, she has to shoulder the burden. Since Harold passed, I mean, nine issues ago, uh, there hasn't been a true leader. Nobody has wanted to pick up the mantle. Robert did for a bit, but he was insane. Yeah. Um, Ruthie is the closest thing that they have to a, you know, a straw that stirs the drink, you know, to so to speak. And, uh, you know, after she yells at our man, Louie, he... He decides to use his UV powers, but he does it in a very, very strange way, which I didn't even realize he could do. He actually uses his powers not to shine light, but to send a verbal message to the Horde. I don't know if this is like blowing in a dog whistle or something, but whatever the case, (laughs) Louis was able to transmit a message that said, ignore the others. I'm the one you want toward the Horde. And wouldn't you know it? It works. When they hear this, the Horde is commanded to stand down by the Gentle Inquirer. Now, that's the same guy who presented Louie with the possibility of a cure in that little video chip a few issues back. Yes. And so, everybody stands down. The Moratoria are left laying, you know, they're not, they're not killed, they're just left there. And Louie is taken captive and carried by the tentacles uh, onto the Hordean spacecraft. It takes off, leaving the moratory behind to both lick their wounds and wonder aloud just what in the hell their weird traitor teammate might be up to. Boy, and we switch quickly. They We see Radian at Horde HQ, and he's in South America. Now, he's walked before the Gentle Inquirer and dun, 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 Bruce Hagashi of the mm-hmm. original Black Watch. Remember the Black Watch, Chris? The Black Watch. I, have we ever talked about them before? <laughs> <laughs> They're the original moratory. If you're listening for the first time, there's a group, there's three men, and Bruce Hagashi was one of them, and they were the idols of the current, or the, the moratory people to come. And uh, they died in their first battle, or so we thought, mm-hmm. but Bruce Hagashi remains alive. Now, Hagashi is strapped to a bed, and he urges Radiant to leave, claiming that in this case, the cure is much worse than the disease. Mm-hmm. So the inquiry suggests Louie pay Bruce no mind, you see. Don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about, see? <laughs> but anyway, Bruce is there obviously against his will. I mean, unless unless he's just laying there for pleasure waiting for a massage. I don't know. But Louis is definitely there voluntarily as such. And he won't suffer. And he actually doesn't. So this is a very odd conversation. It is. Uh, now, he assures them that there's definitely going to be a price to pay for the cure. Now, what that price would be, I guess we are yet to find out. But mm-hmm. anyway, oh, and he also confirms, by the way, that they did indeed abduct a Dr. Tolima cure-seeking associate, Mr. Dr. Ledbetter. There mm-hmm. you go. Dr. Mm-hmm. Ledbetter, the, the so-called associate of Dr. Tolima. Now, uh, back at Moratory HQ, Deguchi, Pilar, and Sheer are in a full-blown argument over Louis' actions. Now, Sheer is uh, hes getting a little bit mouthy. He's very, very <laughs> ticked off at Louis' seeming coward, cowardice and betrayal. Deguchi, you know, Deguchi, I don't know what's going on with him here, but he offers to separate Sheer's head from his shoulders if he doesn't watch his tone. 
<laughs> I had a teacher named Doug Linthorne. I'll call him out here now. He's a good, <laughs> he's a good dude, but he always used to threaten his kids, and I'll, I'll even do his voice because I love it. He said, now, boys, if you're not going to listen in my class, I'll sever your head from your shoulders. <laughs> But anyway, just look at the douche here asserting the, this newfound guts he's found somewhere. I'm loving this. It's great. It's great. Uh, now, just then, as the argument is still going on, a TV monitor fires up. And on it is our man, Radian. And he is on the air to deliver one hell of an address. And it says, I have learned something terrible about the leaders I served that I sacrificed my life, my life for. There is a cure for the moratory process. We don't have to die. He goes on to explain that the Badia had withheld the cure because they didn't want to have a bunch of superhumans running around the earth after the war ended. Uh. Yeah, Louis then renounces the Badia and says he'll never work for them again. Now, upon hearing this back at HQ, Aileen goes into an almost twisted fit of laughter. Like, she has completely cracked up here. Love, 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 love yes. this scene. I mean, yes. you got you got to feel ki- terrible for what these kids have gone through. I mean, over the over the course of these 15 issues, for basically no reason. You know what I mean? These kids have been mm-hmm. put in jeopardy, according to Louie. Now, Anderson's version of Aileen here is just an absolute, and I say this every single episode, but man, he's just a master at drawing this woman. Oh, I mean, yeah. her la- her laughter not only can showcase laughter, but it's just brilliance with like sheer emotion and just cracked depression going through it. It's amazing. It's amazing wow. what emotion that Brent Anderson captured with a pencil. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. And it just everything about this scene is just... Uh, it's master master class level it's just it's wonderful stuff here um and, and like as much as the emotions are conflicted on the team it's like as a reader even you're just like wow that is yeah absolutely there's something going on it's uh there's definitely a lot of uh, of of pent up feeling here now we uh, jump over to another area of moratory HQ where commander yuri is getting all up in dr talima's area like he's uh, dj ran um, now, now Tulima tells Yuri that he told Lou all that that all he told Louis was that a cure was possible, and he really doesn't even have any apologies for his actions here. And uh, he even goes as far as to dare Yuri to lock him up. He's like, "Yeah, go ahead, lock me up, take me off the case, and then you'll see what kind of kind of warriors you'll get. And then you, then you'll have to come and you know get me at a lock up to save your ass." <laughs> and uh, this heated conversation is interrupted by. Louis returning to base. They look out the window, uh, a craft lands, and Louis exits that craft. Now, Louis is immediately run up on by Toxin, who is incredibly disappointed in him. She's, uh, <laughs> she's like, you know, I don't even know how you're showing your face here anymore. He insists that he only did what he had to in order to protect Aileen's unborn baby. Now, Aileen, she does not react well. She does not want to be on the hook for any of this. She's like, no, no, don't don't put this on me, kid. Uh, now, then Sheer approaches, and uh, oh, this, is where, this is where business is about to pick up. You know, he calls Radiant out for being a traitor, and uh, they wrestle for a bit. You know, and then Sheer's using his powers to do some gardening, actually. He, he does shear some trees, some limbs off trees, so he does get his gardening gig in here. Um, now Louis insists that, you know, he's not a traitor, you know, this is not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm on your side, you know, then Sheer 
lays his palm on Louis's chest and shears his heart in two. Jesus. Yeah. This is uh this was a shocker. Oh, so totally. as, as as we spoke off air, I mean, I do not recall this one bit and it took me, me by surprise when this actually happened. I, I was I was like, man, he's how's he going to survive a sheared heart? I I could not believe it. And it had more impact if I was booking this on the fly, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Sheer was an odd one to actually do this to Louis. So, you know, if if I was writing this, I probably would have had a more powerful scene, maybe with Aileen, you know, melting the molecules and burning his heart out of him or something like that. But, you know, it just shows that these newbies, they're not above killing their heroes. So no. it's the old saying, never meet your heroes. You're going to be disappointed. You know what I mean? And wow, what the case yeah. was here. This was a pure shocker here, man. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sheer, he's a uh, he's a loose cannon here. And and Louis, you know, <laughs> He, he like like we mentioned earlier, he's no good on the battlefield now, and he's really no good in a fight either. Nope. Um, it, it's almost like he was like submissively allowing uh, Sheer to do what he was gonna do, just so long as he could you know maybe get a few words in instead of a few punches. Now, uh, with his heart severed in two, Louis falls to the ground, and in his final moments, now this is weird. He tells Aileen that there actually is no cure. What? There's no cure. Also, Dr. Talima never had an associate named Ledbetter. So uh, this, the conversation from earlier, a lot of the stuff going on here, it was all a ruse. Louis was just calling the Horde's bluff. You know, they he asked about the, uh, he asked about Dr. Ledbetter. The uh, gentle inquirer said, oh, yeah, we, we took him. Yeah, we took him. But there never was one. So Louis knew that the Horde was full of crap. And, uh. Mm. Now, he he does tell uh, Aileen that, you know, he did this because if there was a cure, he, he knows it would have been a mortal sin to ignore the possibility of a cure here. He had to learn the truth for his own sake and for his fellow Marturi. Now, Louis goes from crying to an almost like calm and serene look on his face. And he mentions that he's happy that he died in battle and didn't succumb to the process because this way was less of a suicide you know, it was less taken Yikes. out of his uh, out of his control or, or, you know, just as a result of his immediate actions or whatever. And uh, with that, he dies. Louis yeah. is dead. Yeah, this is uh, this is some heavy stuff here. This this yeah. really, really took me by surprise. It's just something yeah. that not only did I not see coming, I should have seen it coming because, you know, you should always expect somebody to pop off in these books because that's mm-hmm. the entire the entire trick behind yeah. Strike Force Moratory is that you never know who's next. But boy, I didn't see this. No, no, it's wild. Uh, you know, Aileen, she's still there with Louie and she closes his eyes and gets up and walks away. And which was which was nice. You know what I mean? It's her yeah. teammate, respectful. You know, and, she she's she's saying her goodbyes to to her friend. Right. But now, speaking then, of respect, um, now uh, Sheer, he walks up to Louie, and just when it looks like he might have a begrudging respect for his falling teammate, he hocks a loogie in Louie's dead face. Oh, man, this was, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow, man. I, I don't know. The Louie character, you know, uh, is the fear in all of us. I mean, you think about, mm-hmm. you know, what stuff that we get fed as as the public. I mean, from our government, from religion, from our studies, Jesus at work. You, I mean, you never know what is truly the truth out there. You know what yeah. I mean? 
So when you get a character like Louie who is trying to expose some of the lies that he's being fed, I mean, you kind of got to get behind that because everybody wants to know the truth. And sometimes it's a real hard thing to swallow sometimes. Mm -hmm. But this was a powerful death, man. And you know what? The originals are are down to just one right now. And, of course, the mystery child. It's true. Wow. uh... Wow. Yeah, I never would have expected this. Um, it's been a very long time since I've read this deep into the series. And uh, and truth be told, uh, before I uh, read this, uh, I usually will collect all the ads and the bullpen bulletins that we talk about um, during the you know the back end of the show. And I was just flipping through and I was taking pictures and, and you know getting ready to upload some images. And I saw you know Louis laying there with uh, with you know like liquid. Like under his eye, and I'm like, oh, Louis. I figured, oh, it ended with Louis like learning a lesson and crying about it yep. or something. And then, you know, going back and reading it and seeing that uh, Sheer just, you know, spits in the dead man's face. Ugh. Oh man, that is that's a statement. And uh, and I do I do lo- I love your uh, your your call of Louis being the fear in all of us because it's true. I mean, he is. Uh, like he's questioning everything, but at the same time he wonders if he should be questioning everything, and he's kind of scared to ask the questions, but knows he has to ask the questions. It's a very tragic and very multifaceted character, um, and, and to think that you know he was probably created with his death date in mind is a is a pretty cool thing that they they were able to cram you know this much gram into a character. Um, uh, before uh, you know, sending him off uh, to the afterlife here, just a hell of an issue. Um, and and again, we we say this like every every single week, but it's like I didn't think it was going to still be this good this long. <laughs> well, we're ha- we're literally almost halfway through the book, and yeah. this thing has not let down, with the exception of the one the issue, that's, yeah. which shall remain nameless <laughs> until I named it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, ne- next week, next next time out, we have uh, the Wills Portacio issue, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, but uh, yeah, just a, an amazing amazing issue here. Uh, and I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Sheer. I mean, Sheer killed a moratory. Sheer killed one of their own. That's that's that that'll probably be revisited, right? I mean, there, there, there's going to be some comeuppance for that. There's got to be. There would hopefully, yes, especially with uh, you have one remaining original team member. You think there would be definitely some animosity right there, sir. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and and part of me is wondering, like, did did Louis learn anything on, on uh, while he was there? And uh, why did he why did he even do that news report? You know, so think about this. Something really, really is rotten in Denmark here. So he goes, sure. he takes the trip, he takes the trip. He goes to, you know, the, the horde headquarters or whatever. He meets with the inquirer. Um, you know, he's got Bruce Higashi, the, uh, the guy there on the bed and all that type of stuff. And they let him go. Number one. So he mm-hmm. comes away on scathe to talk to his friends. So there's something, there's, there's something disjointed here. I, I don't know. Something, something stinks. There is, there's definitely something afoot here, but uh, we will get deeper into that as we continue through the series here. Uh, we'll enter the the back portion of the program here with a look at our. Oh wait, no, there is no letters page, of course. Uh, nobody <laughs> writes letters to books that they don't read, so. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> and nobody reads Strike Force Moratory, so there are I wonder, no uh, letters. W- would they take our letters if we wrote now? 
We should try. <laughs> well, I think we should do that. We should uh, start a movement. And uh, then maybe they'll finally get the green light on that TV show that everybody's been begging for from this. Um, yes, please. Now, the uh, into our bullpen bulletins, our next year, our, our second favorite part of this year, uh, we do start, as always, with a quote of the month. And uh, h- how good is your uh, your Norse accent? Oh, I don't know. Let's try it out. Give it a go. Behold the savage tempest, which I have summons to blast ye back to the Stygian slime from whence ye came. Mm. Quoteth from Thor, from the book Thor, number 388. <laughs> Amazing. And, uh, and if that's the best quote of the month, I guess they didn't read Strike Force Moratory, did they? Definitely not. Um, no, because that's crap. Um, we have news. We have news okay. items. Uh, the new, all the news you can use for, you know, February 1988. Um, the Marvel Fan Club is a go, and uh, this ain't your daddy's Merry Marvel Marching Society. This is the DeFalco Age Marvel Fan Club. But they, they put a lot of thought into this thing. So much so that they didn't name it. They asked the fans to to suggest names. <laughs> Boo! This sucks. You know what? <laughs> Fan clubs were huge back in the 80s. I remember sure. it used to, you know, there was all kinds of things you used to be able to, to you know, right away. On, if it's your favorite TV show, your favorite book, your favorite whatever, there was definitely a fan club. And you can send away, you know, uh, a coupon or whatever and get some stuff mailed to you. And it might be some, you know, 8 by 10 photos of your favorite celebrity with a signature. You know, it might be some stationery. The only one that I ever really signed up for was the Archie fan club. Really? <laughs> Okay. Yes. So the entire thing was Archie used to have a little insert, um, one insert page in all their issues. And basically, if you could write, you could write a little story and possibly be published in Archie Comics. And of course, to me and my friends, that was amazing. Oh, my God, mm. we can get our little paragraph published in Archie. This would be amazing. One of my friends actually got published. Oh, no kidding. Believe it or not, his name was Kyman Tom. He was my friend growing up, and he's the guy who uh, who had all the comics that his mother invested a ton of comics into this guy. So he oh, stole okay. everything from me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not bitter, Kyman. I, I love you. But but anyway, he got published, which was wicked. We were all very happy for him. But they published his name wrong. They published it as Tom Kyman. Oh oh. Oh, that's but they did. But and not only that, they edited his uh, his paragraph as well. So they they condensed it on their own. Why didn't they just write it and steal his name? I don't know. But anyway, for my part, I never did get published. I don't know because of my my crappy grammar. Uh, But anyway, one thing that I did get was some amazing Archie swag. So I got a Archie notepad so I could write my stories. I got a pen, a pin and a membership card, sir. And if anyone goes on my Twitter, which is at Charlton underscore hero, it's my pinned tweet that I have there all the time. And it always says, we're called good bloggers start. <laughs> and it's all right there. You can, you can actually see the little kit that I got. So there you go. Very cool. I think I was part of a Nintendo fan club and I got a, oh, I I got like a pin. To. Yeah. I, I wasn't really, I, I have always had attention problems. So like the thought of sending something in the mail and waiting months for something oh, to come back, it. maybe. Hate. Yeah, I could never actually get on get on board with it. But uh, I was actually digging through in a comic shop here um, probably within the past year or so. Uh, this is a comic shop that is – they don't do new books. All they do is a, is a – like they have a, they've got like a room full of bargain books. They've got uh, old trades, a bunch of out-of-print stuff that they don't charge ridiculous amounts for. It's just like a uh, – it's like it's like a, like a comic graveyard kind of where – gotcha. 
you just uh, and, and like you walk in and it just it just stinks of the old newsprint, but like not not really in the good way. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so, but it's like it's a, it's a great little shop and uh, i was digging through one of the rooms there cuz there's tons of rooms here in this shop and uh, one of them had just like like garbage like it was like a stack of like entertainment weeklies and time magazines that like he was going to throw out and in it i found the uh the 1989-1990 fandom directory which what? is yes it's a uh, it's a bound book a uh, full of fan clubs, fan groups, just regular people with their addresses to to make pen pals. This is the oh, way God. that people, the fans, communicated before the internet. And uh, I'm looking at it now, and it is it is one thick book here. Let me see. There are 489 pages in the oh no 496 pages in this book here, and it is a just a cavalcade of different fandoms, comics, Star Trek, sci-fi, uh, you know, medieval stuff, uh, television shows, uh, uh, the Prisoner. I mean, just amazing stuff here, uh, all broken down by like state, by city, so you can actually meet up with people. Uh, that shared your fandom, and and in here oh there's God, also this, this, this was like elongated twin uh, Tinder. <laughs> it is <laughs> <laughs> instead of swiping right, you got to write a novel. <laughs> yes. Is, uh, do you like pina coladas and Dennis the Menace comic strips? We'll find uh, out in eight weeks when you return my mail. <laughs> yes, but uh, I, I just thought this was an awesome little uh, little uh, a piece of ephemera from from just fandom history and, oh man you got to put that up on twitter man I've oh i will that thing. will yeah and and it's just so weird that it's like right like right now i mean you and me met on twitter you know it's Absolutely. like with very little effort it was just like hey how's it going you know <laughs> we even <laughs> we even did a gi joe project i had no idea we, we worked together, we did it together yeah that was awesome <laughs> and uh and just thinking about back then it's like you had to buy a stamp or you had to put gas in your car to drive somewhere and uh and also in here are all a lot of the uh you know the uh, you know on board you know sort of legit uh, uh fan clubs i'm sure like the, the archie one is probably in here uh there's probably all sorts of uh legit on the level sort of things and uh like the, the you know the fox the fox five kids club <laughs> afternoon oh cartoon it's unbelievable oh yeah insane stuff here um, can't wait to see it can't wait Oh yeah, for sure. And we want to know what kind of fan clubs everybody else was into as well here. We want to, we want to dig back. We want to pretend that this is 1988, 1989 every time we're doing this. Uh, so we can forget about the worries of, uh, of our our full modern society. In that particular one is the Scott Bayo fan club in there. You know, it probably is. Oh, publish it. We got to get on the go. Oh yeah, we gotta we we gotta actually get that get the fires of the Scott Bayo fan club restoked. I want uh, Charles in charge of me, Chris. Yes, yes. <laughs> there is a new boy in the neighborhood, and he lives downstairs. <laughs> it's understood. But I, I did try. I wanted to get like a little John Stamos fan club going. I thought that'd be fun, but uh, but uh, because awesome. Because our love can save him, apparently. Uh, something I could share as well. Um, but yeah, I think we should uh, we should definitely play with some fan club stuff here uh, in the future. Uh, but back to our bullpen bulletins here. Uh, Doug Murray of the Nam he wins the Veterans Achievement Award for entertainment from Bravo. That's not the television channel. It's actually the Brotherhood Rally of American Veterans Organization, and uh, he beat out the movie Platoon. 
Which is amazing. So yeah. the NAM only began in 1986. So, I mean, Just really, yeah. yes, it only had a year and a little bit under its belt at this point, and it beats out Platoon. That's wild. Mm. Man, oh, someone, someone was in bed with somebody. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, this is stuff that Marvel's printing, so we don't know how truthful it is. Fair, they fair, might have, they might have. If we look up the Brotherhood Rally of American Veterans Organizations, it might be like CEO Tom DeFalco, for all we know. <laughs> um, we don't know. Uh, now, another uh, another little news bit here. Mobius, he wrote, a, he had a graphic novel called uh, Upon a Star that had been selected for eligibility for an award of excellence from the Mead Paper Company. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm back. I'm back. Go ahead. You, you're not a, an airtight garage fan? You're not a Mobius fan? <laughs> Mobius is uh, is that type of art that you look at when, you, uh, when you're when you under the influence of some substance that you don't want to report to the, to the authorities. To HR. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Another bit of news here is that Bob Budiansky's profile is included on this very page. Oh, here we go. Thanks, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah, right yay. here. We don't need news. Um, I do <laughs> want to note here that it is that it is nice that we're finally getting a bullpen bulletins page that isn't just like blindly kissing Tom DeFalco's ass for several paragraphs <laughs> over and over again. I love it. It's nice that we're getting back to normal here and we're actually just reporting news instead of, isn't our, isn't our new boss great? He's great, right? <laughs> isn't he great? He really he is. He's great. His have cigars you heard are great. That have you, his kicker's ink is fantastic. <laughs> the best thing under the sun but um into our profile it is as as reported in the bullpen bullens it is bob budiansky uh his job is he is the editor on air raiders visionaries willow uh, yeah elvira oh go ahead yep so air raiders and yes. it's interesting because i'm looking at these properties so you have willow which is a uh, a steven spielberg movie you yes. know or, or was it lucas no i think it was lucas think, george lucas maybe yeah it was my gosh yeah. yeah it was definitely george lucas uh you had visionaries which was you know a cartoon that gets a ton of respect from the 80s that is really unfortunately not that very good but the action figures i don't know if you've ever seen a gi joe action figure or not a visionaries action figure have you ever seen those um, you know, I'm trying to, did they have, and, and this is me being completely ignorant here. Did they have like holograms on their chest? Yeah, they did. They okay, were, exa- okay. they were exactly made specifically, exactly like a GI Joe, except they, they had holograms on them and it came okay. with holographic accessories and, and vehicles. So, I mean, they were like an ethereal GI Joe line basically. So not, not so bad. The they they got a pass. Were the holograms like heat activated? Like you could touch them and a picture would show up or am I thinking of a different one? I thought they were lenticular, like you they turn them to the side okay. and they, yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure. Like I have a few visionaries, but they were just, you know, you turn them to the side and they flash. So it was, oh, a, gotcha. it was a bit weird. But two that were complete garbage were Willow. So if you have ever seen the movie Willow, or even if you haven't, you should see the toy line. There was a toy oh, line? Oh my God. So no do you way. remember? Oh, yes, sir. There was. As we go. Oh, yeah. So here's how bad Ooh. these are. So you expect them to be G.I. Joe-like because that's the popular franchise at the time. Instead, They're not articulated. No, sir. So if you picture uh, D&D uh, miniatures that you buy in like hobby stores, that's exactly how they made the Willow there figures. It was mind-boggling. It's like somebody got the license. We're like, we got to make some figures here. And this is what they put out. They weren't articulated. They had little bases to make them stand. Yeah. You could do absolutely nothing with these. They were now, just there for display. 
Yes. Now, Air Raiders, which actually had its own Marvel Star comic, is another thing. So, you know, they had a lot of lot of uh, toy lines that were just basically vehicles. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we had the big mask trend where you had, you know, the transforming vehicles and, you know, you can go from a transport truck to a base headquarters and you had like miniature figures. Now, they mm-hmm. weren't three and three quarter inch like the popular size. They were smaller. Well, Air yeah. Raiders actually took it a notch down from that. So they had, you know, flying toys. So they were basically – it's a place called Airlandia they lived in. They had all these flying spaceships. So it was based around aviation. You know what I mean? Okay. But the figures they had were so minute that they fit in – you know, they, they fit inside the vehicles, but they served no other purpose. They had very limited articulation. The colors were extremely basic, but they have a lot of love, man. If you take a look around the internet, there's Air Raider stuff everywhere and it doesn't make sense huh. but I mean, they have an air raiders twitter they've got everything still going on so wow. these toy lines baffle me but willow was an all-time low i have someone should be shot for that <laughs> and what did uh visionaries get a uh, marvel comic as well yeah oh, visionaries uh, obviously because yes. it's in the damn it's in the damn bullpen bulletin yeah yes sir so <laughs> vision visionaries had its own comic willow had its own limited series of the uh like of the movie adaptation yeah but wow. speaking of movie adaptations Oh, which what one do you got to present us with? Well, we also have an Elvira uh, one, but then okay. also the uh, the Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night movie adaptation. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. That one. We all know Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night. Yeah, or the, Disney, maybe it's right? The em- it's Pinocchio and Geppetto. Yeah, that one. Yeah, right? yeah. It's got to be. You know, the sequel. On the actual page here, and it says Emperor of the Night, but I think it might actually be Empire of the Night. Uh, but uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I'd never heard of this before, and uh, so we did a little bit of research on this. Uh, Pinocchio and the Emperor, Emperor of the Night came out in 1987. It actually hit on Christmas Day, 1987. It was a flop. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> it cost $10 million to make, and from then till now, only earned $3.2 million back. I have never heard of it, and the me fact either. that it actually made $3.2 million blows me away. It's true. It's true. And uh, now the synopsis, because I, I, I read a couple of synopsises here. I didn't just do the Wikipedia. Uh, now, <laughs> it makes this sound like, like a real piece of garbage here. Uh, it, it's like... It's you know how like like there'll be like a Disney movie and then they'll do like the direct to video uh, sort oh, of sequel yeah. where it's like it's like, well, it's still Disney. So it's not, you know, it's it's still good. This is kind of like the like the Walmart brand uh, Disney film <laughs> the, here. The five dollar bin classic. Yeah. The, the great value. Um, <laughs> now, now, our man Pinocchio, he has a sidekick, not Jiminy Cricket because Disney owns Jiminy Cricket. This is uh, a sidekick that was a wooden glowworm that was turned into a real glowworm that uh, Pinocchio accidentally named G. Willikers. Oh. So uh, yeah, so we don't get uh, we don't get the the conscience cricket. We get G. Willikers the worm. Um, and uh, it looks like in this one Pinocchio is like reverted back and forth from puppet to re- real boy form a few times over the course of the movie. So <laughs> trash alert. Yeah, no doubt. Um, now, another thing that Mr. Budiansky is is uh, responsible for are Marvel press posters and toy company storyline development. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Air <laughs> Raiders, for example. All those <laughs> issues of Air Raiders. How did that go for you, Bob <laughs> <Like> Budiansky? <laughs> now, his past freelance credits include penciling and plotting Ghost Rider, 
also the Submariner limited series and quote various other stuff. Yes. Various AKA other stuff. Air Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't understand. It's like you're being interviewed for a reason, buddy. Various other stuff. <laughs> I do not want to bring them up, he says. Yes. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, now, his current freelance credits include being the writer and occasional cover penciler for Transformers. Okay, so, so uh, guess what? That was fairly popular at the time. If you're looking his, at... Yeah, yeah, that was his toy company storyline development gig there, I guess. Hmm. Now, his hobbies include stargazing, skiing, uh-huh. 60s pop music, and snorkeling. <laughs> you notice like what the difference is between this guy's hobbies and our hobbies, Chris? Hmm. <laughs> His are extremely cheap. Well, uh, well I guess <laughs> skiing can be uh, reasonably uh, reasonably expensive at times, sure. but it's a it's a one shot deal. You buy your skis and you're good. But man, think about the hobbies that we do. I mean, I you know I collect some stuff. We were into sure. comics. I mean, we're you know we have expensive habits. But this guy, stargazing <laughs> and snorkeling and 60s pop music. I mean, think about it. How how much money are you actually going to spend on a Beatles, Rolling Stones or Beach Boys album? You can get the you can get Thrift all store. of those. Yeah. yeah, you can get all of those for 5 bucks. <laughs> you know for what sure. I mean? But anyway, sure. I'll I'll agree with them on the uh the entire 60s rock thing. That's that's pretty fun. You know, I I can't ever since I heard that uh I think it was Little Saint Nick from the Beach Boys. There's a there's that line in it that says Christmas comes this time each year. And it's like, well, no, no crap. Of course it does. It, it's Christmas. <laughs> I, I, ever since I heard that line, it's like I can't listen to any Beach Boys song, Un- unless of course John Stamos is playing the drums on on Kokomo. Kokomo, oh, loved it. I love Kokomo. I don't care. And even seeing uh, Uncle Jesse <laughs> Uncle there Jesse. playing the drums, I was like, yeah, <laughs> love this. <laughs> Uh, the work uh, that Mr. Budiansky is most proud of is penciling the cover of Ghost Rider number 35. That's April 1979 cover date. Uh, awesome. The story's oh, it, it's a really cool looking cover. It's uh, called Death Race, and uh, it's a really good looking cover. Um, surprising. I, I wasn't yeah. expecting when, when we when we looked this one up. Now, uh, oh boy, we get into the comedy here. Uh, his pet peeves include filling out questionnaires. Yeah. <laughs> get it because he's doing that right now oh, oh my Lord. god what oh. a guy hi oh, jinx i need yeah i need sheer to massage my heart after that one um <laughs> he was born in the bronx <laughs> so listen to listen to this about the bronx mm-hmm. so i i grew up in a very sheltered island okay <laughs> so mm-hmm. my only experience with the bronx was stuff that i saw on like 80s vhs movies like you know these <laughs> weird obscure ones like you know that when you see the bronx it's like they're they're overtaken by cyberpunks and there's yep. fires and flames and shit's going down in the bronx so anyway when i went to new york on one trip during you know i think it was 87 uh, myself, my father, and my grandfather went there. We had to pass through the Bronx. And man, I was petrified in the back of that car. The first thing, I remember burying my head and just hoping to get past there. I, was, I felt like I was going to be shot, and of course I was in no danger. But, you know, I felt that way because of the way these, 70, these 80s you know, VHS movies made me feel. And when I did pop my head up and I saw a fire in a barrel, I said, oh my God! Oh my God! <laughs> Yeah. I, I think it was all fires and barrels, break dancers, and uh, and terrifying robots. That that was I, the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> I survived the Bronx. I'll just let you know. 
Sure. Now, we, we, one of one of our good friends, uh, Joe Cabrera, is a Bronx boy. He'll have to fill us in on uh, yeah, on, the real on, Bronx, on the real Bronx, or or just or just you know uh, justify everything you're saying about the uh, cyberpunk uh, terror. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you that's what's happening at the Bronx right now. Cyberpunk terror. For Tell all us we, all of it. <laughs> yeah, for all we know, Joe Cabrera might be a, a Bronxian cyborg. For all we know. Right now, he's listening to this show over a barrel with fire. With his cyberpunk <laughs> girl with the laser eye. <laughs> break dancing. <Yeah. laughs> oh, we're going to get canned. I've only been to the Bronx uh, anytime I went to a Yankees game, which was only like two or three times. So I, look, I don't really have look, any stories. Look at look at us upsetting the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm from the, uh, the, the other B, B, B borough. So there you go. Um, now, Mr. Budiansky, his greatest non-comics accomplishment is catching a line drive in a baseball game while playing for the Marvel team. So that's kind of comics adjacent. Huh. Yeah. His oddest habit is giving undue importance to trivial facts. It's, uh, we, we can't relate to that. I was going to say, it's something that we might share with Mr. Budiansky <laughs> here. Um, we, have a, uh, we have an obsession with the minutia ourselves. Um, now, who would play Bob Budiansky in a movie? Tom Hanks, and uh, in fairness, there is a resemblance, at least from his caricature. He actually looks a bit like David Letterman more than Tom Hanks, but looks, I digress. Oh, yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, he actually really does. He. But I can, I can see Hanks pulling that up. Yep. For sure, for sure. Do, do, a, you think that, do you think that Tom Hanks, like, when he gets past his COVID outbreak, mm-hmm. uh, that he would actually play Bob Hanks <laughs> in the movie? <laughs> You think that's at the top of his list? <laughs> He's gonna. It's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be breakdancing in the Bronx, the Bob Budiansky story, yeah. starring Tom Hanks as a cyberpunk teen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> who who makes a wish on a machine to to grow into Bob Budiansky. Um, oh my God, Zoltar! So I was in Florida. <laughs> listen to this last mm-hmm. year, and guess what I found at a orchard. What's that? A Zoltar machine. Yes, sir. Really? Indeed, I did. I have photos and everything, sir. And I did will you make provide. A wish? I did it all. I, I, you know, I wished I was small, and you know, instead of being big, and <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I found it, man. I found Zoltar. Uh, there is no truth in advertising anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> can't, can't trust uh, the robot machine. Um, now, uh, why did Bob Budiansky uh, decide on comics? Well, we're, we're glad you asked. He thought it would be more fun than civil engineering. Uh, right. okay. Jokes on him. I don't know. Jokes on us. Who knows? <laughs> uh, people in high school thought that Bob Budiansky was somebody else. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, now, his favorite performers here, uh, and I'm not sure if this is a, a political statement by Mr. Budiansky, but uh, we'll, let, we'll let the listener decide. Uh, his favorite performers include the Talking Heads. Bruce Springsteen, Elvis Costello, and Ronald Reagan. Hey, Ronald Reagan is not a performer. <laughs> He's the, the last... president. He's confused. He is. He is confused. Now, the last good book that he didn't read is The Panda's Thumb: colon, More Reflections in Natural History from 1980 by Stephen J. Gould. <coughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. Now, if uh, you want to know what the panda's thumb is, it's a collection of 31 essays by Gould, who is or was, I don't know if he's still around or not, a Harvard University paleontologist. Now, uh, the recurring themes of these essays include evolution, 
teaching, science biography, probabilities, and common sense. Oh, the last good book that he read was Ramona by Beverly Cleary. She's 104 <laughs> today, by the way. 104. Happy birthday. We love you. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, nice try, Bob. Yeah, nice try. Yes. I, I wonder if they, they just look for like the most pretentious book oh, they could yeah. find. 100%. Yeah, too bad Infinite Jest wasn't out yet. Um, <laughs> now, uh, the, the last good movie that uh, he probably did see was Robocop. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> I love that. I love Robocop. I got nothing bad to say about it. The comics, the books, the action figures. I love every bit of it. So, yeah, good on, good on you, man. I'll give you that one. His biggest influences include Gardner Fox, Stan Lee, John Buscema, Jack Kirby, and Steven Spielberg. Look at this guy. He's collecting paychecks. He knows where his, his bread is buttered, sir. Yeah, he gets to keep his job. Uh, he, he saw what happened to Larry Hammer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now... His greatest unfulfilled ambition is to write, pencil, ink, and color a book starring a character he created, which uh, tells me he's not a current day creator. Oh, my God. And if you look down a little bit further, the worst part of his job is stapling all the comics together before they ship to stores. Oh, that's a real knee slapper. <laughs> Mr. Downey, your real knee slapper there, Baba. Wait, oh wait, wait. God. So Bob Budiansky staples all the comics together? Oh, my God. What a oh. turd. <laughs> <laughs> and when nobody's looking, Bob also naps. And what people should also know is that he's actually much better looking than his character. Yes, sir. Really, he is. Really? Are you, are you? Are you really? <laughs> we haven't seen any real pictures of you, but uh, we'll take your word for it here. Um, to wrap up our bullpen bulletin page, we have the mighty, mighty Marvel checklist. And as always, we start with Strikeforce Moratori. Uh, number 15 gets no blurb. What a shock. I'm shocked and dismayed. Uh, <laughs> now, the X-Men line of books are still in the fall of the mutants. Uh, last time Man. out, we said that they were wrapping them up. Now we're still in them. So uh, I'm convinced that the fall of the mutants might actually last longer than Strikeforce Moratori at this point. <laughs> Feels like it. It's going to be the Fall of the Mutants, the Mad Dog Ward, and then Strike Force Mark. Uh, but, but also, they, they had a couple of solicited that were at least a couple months off. So last time out, so we had yeah. Sledgehammer number one, which I bought immediately off the rack. Uh, but that had no blurb as well. Then no we had. Blurb. But we thought it would be funny to mention that Sledgehammer had a comic because uh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy who made Sledgehammer who's a complete ass? I, I I don't remember his name, but I do remember that he did. He has gone on many uh, rampages. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't I haven't had a side word with him, but I haven't I also haven't reviewed Sledgehammer. <laughs> True that. I liked it, <laughs> even though it lasted only two issues. I liked it anyway. Was the second one that one had a had like a dude in a Spider-Man suit on the cover, right? That is correct. Yes, they that were trying one to. I have. That they one were I trying have. to garner money because Spider-Man was in it. He's hanging yeah. in the window. Yeah. That one I do have. I don't have the first issue, but I do have the second. Now, you may not know, folks out there, that I am the proud owner of the first appearance of Wolverine. That's right. Hulk number 180. Yep. Number really? One, number 180. Oh, not 181. No, 180. I, I own 180. <laughs> you, have the, you, have the, you have the, let me check my Wizard magazine here. Uh, let's let's see what they say. What, is, what, is, what does Wizard say here? Uh, oh, uh, Cameo. Sorry. You, you, you don't win. <laughs> You don't Screw win. Screw you, one. hippie. I do. 
it's the first appearance. Call it what you want. Anyway, on this one, Hulk 340, which actually pairs off Hulk versus Wolverine again. But uh, mm. people need to know that I have the first appearance, okay, in 180. Let, let me check that again here. Cause, uh, <laughs> no, it's a cameo. Cameo. I hate people specifically who have Hulk 181. I hate you all. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, you could buy the facsimile copy, get, oh, get like get like ten of them, have them oh, all slabbed, and, and then right, uh, and then sell right, them on, on eBay. Right, um, right, right now you can't you can't hear it, but I'm giving you the finger all the way from Newfoundland <laughs> to Arizona. I felt it. Uh, <laughs> also on the docket this month was uh, Thor three eighty eight. Now Thor loses his most prized possession. Gee, that oh. never happened over the course of time in that book. Mm, I, I think that was the only that, that was the only that, plot point they ever did was I, Thor losing his freaking hammer all the time. I, I was thinking maybe he was losing that uh, like a creative team that people actually liked in, in Walt <laughs> Simonson. <laughs> you know my thoughts on Walt Simonson Thor. Oh, I, I share them, but uh, but people for the most yes, part liked yes, you're it. Right. You're right. <laughs> and of course, Daredevil, Born Again trade paperback. I like Love. I like. Born I like again. I like Born Again. Yeah, oh, it was fine. Loved Born Again. That's yep. that's the that's the treadmill episode that that never happened. I I I wanted to do Born Again so bad. Uh, yep. That is such an awesome little story. But anyway, what else yeah. we got? We got ads and not very yeah. many of them. Not very many. We only have I think we only have two ads for you today. Uh, but uh, one of them you're very familiar with. Yes. And this is a uh, this is one this is like a uh, I think Rob Liefeld planned this one because you have to turn your book sideways to look at it. It's a <laughs> it's a child holding a uh, spacecraft with a man, little action figure flying out of it while he is shooting a laser at his television screen. Now that toy that he has was the XT7 jet, and it's from mm-hmm. the show. And I know it well because it's a Canadian-American show, and it's from 1987 to 1988 called Captain Power and the mm, Soldiers mm. of the Future. Now, this bad boy ran exactly 22 episodes in Canada and the U.S. It was in syndication, of course. But what we're looking at here was the toy line. Mm-hmm. So this this kid had the toy that almost everyone back in 87, 88 wanted, and it was the, uh, the good old XT-7 jet. Now, what was the big deal about Captain Power, you wondered? Well... It was an interactive toy that you can actually interact with the TV, Chris. Yes. <laughs> Imagine that. Yes. So you had, there was actually a whole line of video uh, of VHS releases that came with this thing. So it came with one, which was like a demo tape with your jet. But there were also three ones you could buy. Now, they were called Future Force Training, Bio Dread Strike Mission, which is excellent, by the way. They can all be found on YouTube right now, by the way. And the other one is called Raid on Volcania. Hmm. So this was absolutely amazing so the whole idea behind it do you remember the light gun that came with the uh the nintendo yeah the zapper the exact same technology so basically yes so basically captain power itself was like a almost like a 3d um computer generated computer animated part live action television show okay about (laughs) you know a bunch of uh uh, I guess guerrilla fighters in the future or whatever, captained by Jonathan Power, and they fought, uh, they were called the Soldiers of the Future. And, of course, they were involved in a 20, 22nd century war called the Metal Wars, and they fought jo- um, uh, Lord Dread. 
So, you know, okay. that's that's what the entire show was about. But the the actual stuff itself were amazing. So the figures, you know, they were in, in the direct line of the three and three quarter line. So G.I. Joe and Star Wars, they were compatible friendly. Mm-hmm. But the toys themselves were great. So they interacted with the TV. So the, the show was done in 3D, you know, CGI special effects. And they had light sensors in the show. So the show was full of like bright explosions and all that stuff that would calculate hits on your jet. So after your hits took so many hits, after your jet got hit by so many so many hits or whatever, your figure would fly out of the cockpit and you're you're out of the game technically. Okay. Okay? But you fought the same missions over and over because you know you're you're playing VHS adventures. Now you could also tune in to the TV show every week and play you know live with the TV show, which was kind of cool. Now the one thing that anyone with a grain of sense would understand was. you just avoided all your explosions by just tipping your jet away from the TV and nothing ever hit you. <laughs> <laughs> so you took zero hits, baby. <laughs> you are a winner. Yeah, wow. but uh, no, this this was fun, man. Did you, uh, were you familiar with Captain Power at all or nothing at all? Nothing at all. I, You know, I, I want to say, like this kind of reminds me of... Uh, God, like they, there was like a bunch of this sort of a thing, either cartoon or live action back then. I remember like Photon was one. It was like a sort of like a laser tag sort yes, of thing in absolutely. space. Yes. Um, just uh, what was it? Photon, the ultimate game on planet Earth or something like that. Uh, and then Captain Power I've heard of, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Or at least I don't remember ever seeing it. I know I never had the figures or, or the, uh, the, the, the plane, the jet. I never had I never had the the jet myself and my brother had the uh, the Lord Dread basically um, the the evil version of the spaceship the black one one of the mm-hmm. bad things about the entire ship though was you know the trigger that that launches your figure out is very very touchy so okay every single time you were hit it sent like a reverberation through your machine you know what I mean it vibrated ah uh, so any time it could kick yes. you out. Yeah, so sometimes you didn't even get to your your number of hits that you were supposed to take, and your figure just went flying randomly, or it would just oh, it would just happen when it was just there. So I mean, there was lots gotcha. of flaws with it, but uh, the figures themselves were pretty cheap. They had little you know pin joints that were put together, and they had a weird combination of hard plastic and soft plastic. So the body was hard, and mm-hmm. the the arms and the legs were soft pliable plastic, so you could literally like bend them. It was really odd, but oh, cool really? collection. If if you see them at a um, if you see them at like a flea market or something, grab some. They're they're worth having, man. You know, I remember uh, like the first line of the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures. They had that oh, yes. sort of hard, soft thing where, like, the bodies uh, and the tor- the torso and the like limbs, the appendages were all hard, but the heads yeah were, were squishy like were squishy yeah. rubber. Yeah, it's like uh, I think like two or two or three out of my four from the original were squishy, and then like one of them had a hard head. Yeah. So yeah, it's very very uh, weird stuff there. It's uh, I, I love learning about this sort of stuff because this is uh, I, I never would have given this a second thought. This would just been an ad I would have went past. So I, I love doing this uh, this portion of the program and learning a bit more about uh, some of this stuff here. And the hopefully... show it, the, the show itself is all on you know it can be found anywhere any streaming service you see like a uh, a YouTube or a Daily Motion you'll find episodes of Captain Power. But very it's cool. uh, it's readily available. Sometimes you've got a deal between mm-hmm. you know delve between the sheets a little bit because you know yeah. copywriters pull it down all the time but it's it's pretty pretty available How about that and uh our second and final ad is uh is a lame one it's a uh, chips ahoy stripes betcha bite a stripe i don't know like i like chips ahoy cookies 
I don't recall ever having striped chips ahoy. I I do remember them. I do remember having them. I remember uh, like uh, these feel like the and I'm probably conflating or, or or contracting time in my mind here, but I feel like these came out and then like a month later the sprinkled ones came out, like the sprinkled oh, chips yeah. ahoy. Yeah, yeah. And so and so like the striped ones kind of just like fell by the wayside because everybody wanted the sprinkle ones instead. So so we don't have like here in Canada the ones that I see on our grocery shelves right now are regular chips ahoy. Then you mm-hmm. have Chunks Ahoy, which is the ones with the, the larger chunks of chocolate sure. and more. Then we have the Soft Chips the soft. Ahoy. Yeah. And then you have those in a couple of varieties, so you can get them in different different flavors or whatever. But that's yeah. where it stops. So you cannot get striped. You cannot get sprinkled. I did find uh, like the most perverse cookie I'd ever seen ever uh, while oh. I was in the aisle that day. And it was like the Ultra Stuff Oreo. Like oh, this thing yeah. is like. This thing's like like four inches thick. <laughs> yeah, and it's like filled with white stuff in the middle. It's filled oh. with white stuff. Squoozed between oh the cookie. My. Betwixt. Betwixt the, the <laughs> cookie wafers. But I'm like, why 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 weren't these cookies out when I wasn't on a diet? Oh, I know. They're oh, so good too, man. But I like bet. you, you You've always dreamed, like when I was a kid and you had just a basic Oreo. Of course, I was the kid who popped the top off and licked the white out. And, the, oh, okay. Yeah, I might take a small bite of the cookie, and that, but normally that went in the garbage. Okay. But I always dreamed of, man, wouldn't it be great if you had like three times the white stuff in the middle? And boy, sure. do they exist right now. Yummy! Because I used to take the double stuff ones, and I'd, I'd break them in half, and then I'd put the two cream sides together. So I'd have oh, like a look quadruple you. stuff. Hell yes. yeah. I, I was always an in, in industrious young lad, and uh, that's, why <laughs> I, that's why I struggled with my weight as a grown-up. Um, but it's... <laughs> I saw that cookie and I was like, you got to be kidding me. There's just so many cookies now. And uh, when I before I started dieting a couple of years back, it felt like it was just boilerplate cookies. And now it's like this carrot cake flavored Oreos and cinnamon bun flavored Oreos. It's like oh, man. The world. Vanilla and, Oreos are so good. <laughs> oh, man. Why, God, why? And the, uh, the coconut ones. Damn. Oh, mm. but. Yes. can't eat them anymore so uh yeah that's uh that's probably it um the this ad here uh, if if anybody cares is a uh is like a jumble a word jumble thing um where you can uh put the words fudge delicious rich chocolate chip cookie into order which i just spoiled for you um <laughs> you bastard i know i i just ruined the game here and uh if you put the the the, the right coded letter together you get the final statement here. Uh, you get the, you know, the the final Jeopardy answer of betcha by the stripe. So. Yeah. Now, now these were they like were they dipped in chocolate as well? Because I know there are some like the the Keebler kind that have like the chocolate like back and the stripes. I, I don't know if chips. Well, I don't recall them here in Canada. I'm not saying they didn't exist, but mm-hmm. I do not recall a chocolate back Chips Ahoy. So okay, so maybe maybe I'm I'm conflating my cookies right now. But uh, yeah, that's a that's it. Soup to nuts. Strike Force Moratorium number fifteen. Oh right. <laughs> no, uh, we uh, we had a, a good time doing this here. Uh, do you want to do any plugs? Well, certainly. Uh, I would like to plug my Twitter, which uh, you can check out my Archie fan club uh, yes. days right right on my pinned tweet right at the top. So if you want to join the Archie fan club, I don't recommend it because you ain't getting my stationery, baby. 
and he might spell <laughs> your name wrong and edit your uh, edit your material anyway. So why <laughs> why not? Just just write him and tell him, hey Archie, I'd like to write a letter, but why don't you just write one for me? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my Twitter is at Charlton underscore hero. And uh, you can find me uh, over here hanging out with Chris on Moratory Mondays. Uh, we recently did uh, over on the uh, with the Radlish and Broadcasting team over on the W2M Network. We did a WrestleMania recap as well. And uh, who knows when Superblog Team Up could pop up very soon. So uh, keep posted for that. And that is Chris Bailey for Moratory Mondays. Beautiful, beautiful. You can find me uh, a bunch of different places. Uh, over at Chris's on Infinite Earths, I had a very sobering and painful week um, this past <laughs> week. I I spent the past six days reviewing Flash Forward, the very recent uh, F- uh, Wally West miniseries from DC Comics, oh, which you poor man made me question why I still buy DC Comics um, because uh, I, and I think it, it came down to the fact that I'm an idiot and I am part of the problem. I do not recommend that series. And uh, if you do check out Chris's on Infinite Earths, you can uh, watch my descent into absolute madness over the, pe- the course of six days. It's uh, not a pleasant read. It's not my best stuff. <laughs> but it's, but it's <laughs> It real. is good. It's really good to see you cut loose, sir. I really, really enjoyed every one of those. Yeah. I was with you. High-fiving you the whole <laughs> way through. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not really uh, in... In, in the game for retweets from DC Comics pros, so I can, you know, pretty much say whatever I want. That, that ship has sailed after that article. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. But, uh, yeah, if you're interested in finding out why uh, I, I disliked it so much, you can definitely check that out at Chris's on Infinite Earths. You can also find us at chrisandreggie.com. Also find us at 90sxmen.com, where you'll be able to find all of our From Claremont to Claremont materials, uh, some written stuff, some uh, – well, we have the one episode out so far. We'll be uh, putting the second one together in the coming weeks to have out, hopefully, the uh, beginning of May. So look forward to that. But uh, I think that's just about all we got here. Uh, Anything uh, else for the folks? That is it, my man. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next Monday. See ya! Monday in America, and you know what that means. It's uh, time 
for us to break down yet another episode, issue, sode, whatever you want to call it, of Strike Force Moratory. It is Moratory Monday with Chris and Chris. How you doing this week, Chris? I got a call recently this morning from Lady Gaga, and she was begging me to say, could you please join the One World concert? And we said, yes, we will provide mm-hmm. Moratory Mondays, episode 16, as part of this whole campaign. So this is what we're doing. We're an essential service, and we're here for you. Mm-hmm. Speaking of essential services, we left off our recruit update last time on a, a bit of a cliffhanger, a bit of oh, a yes. uh, nebulous cliffhanger. Uh, before we get into the nonsense, how about you uh, You set us straight on exactly where our recruits stand at the very moment? Well, certainly they are at ground zero where recruits Med, Dreamscape, Splinter Red, Force Field, and Lockshot find themselves united inside a cleverly concealed moratory garden training center. Now, they've, they've gone back there, so... With a little bit of help from new inter- interdimensional recruit Splinter Red, he altered reality to actually trap the Horde army and that false Red Watch uh, in what they thought was Moratory Labs, which they assumed contains the power source that caused the Moratory powers, which they thought was the Star Brand. And of course, an interesting caveat as well, it also contained their deceased leader, Thunderfist, who they had all intentions of reviving, and which they mm-hmm. did, with the help of one of our own recruits at, at basically gunpoint. But anyway, <laughs> now, our team basically has them trapped right now, so they're all locked inside the garden, nice and neat. Now, as our team looks on, they're fully uh, they're fully aware that they are together in this, despite not even be formally introduced. I mean, half of these people didn't even know they existed. At the time this whole outbreak happened, they were in different parts of the building. They didn't get to meet each other. But right now, they they basically understand that, hey, we're together <laughs> against this monstrous horde. So <laughs> right now, the horde has their backs against the wall. And Splinter Red right now is actually using his powers for the first time. And he's projecting things. He's actually altering or splintering reality to project things that aren't there, which confuses our enemies. And he actually, while they're confused, he levels the front line with his massive concussion cannon. So he's blowing away people left and right where they're dealing with inanimate objects they don't even understand. Lockshot himself engages with foe evil Harold, launching eye blasts at him. Now, Harold, of course, foe, foe Harold, uh, fake Hordian Harold, is actually redirecting them. But he takes one in the shoulder and he's actually injured And as his army is just dropping like flies all around him. Now, Dreamscape, he uses some of his extra powers. He creates inanimate dreamlike distractions all around, redirecting the horde to shoot at these objects they don't even know. They don't even really exist. Now, our odds improve even further for our heroes as the Garden, which is now the embodiment of our former commander, Beth Neon, her essence basically lives inside the garden, and it's creating all kinds of vine-like barriers, entangles waves of the horde troopers in the hallways with vines and obstacles, and, you know, basically blocking them in and crushing them as, you know, as their screams roar out throughout the uh, throughout the entire complex, the Hordian troopers begin to run away, but it's basically the entire area is completely concealed and they're at the garden's mercy. So the security systems are eliminating any way to escape and just blasting them off left and right. Now, Harold, he repels the vines. This is the foe Harold. He's able to repel the vines and moves in on Dreamscape. He tosses them up against the wall, uh, actually using a deflective blast from Lockshot. So he's using their own powers against them. He engages Lockshot. Now, both of these guys, Lockhorns, are basically locking up like in wrestling. Physical combat. Force Field, on the other hand, decides to protect Dreamscape, who just took a tumble against the wall, and Med while all this is happening. Now, Splinter Red 
has opened up with his cannon a direct line to the revived Hordian commander. He's got him right in his crosshairs as this savage alien commander who's basically stepping forward to come after Splinter Red, stepping on the dead bodies of his own people. And, I mean, there's blood all over the garden, dead bodies all over the place. The putrid stench of Hordian blood is all around them. The video screen, which monitor Earth, show actually show the Hordian mothership actually starting to pull away from the Earth atmosphere. So... Certain victory is at hand here. Now, the Hordian commander actually stops atop of one of the Hordian dead, and he holds a detonator. Of course, the famous detonator with two buttons, <laughs> which <laughs> that uh, brings the room to a standstill. Everybody sees what his game is. Thunderfist actually proclaims that he's about to commit genocide with a single push of the button. And if he presses the button, the mothership that has left orbit... They didn't start running. They're actually preparing to launch a final nuclear strike against the Earth. With the recruits lowering their weapons, they know this is the moment where everything can end. Then the Hordian commander clicks the trigger. Next up, finale, The Last Minutes of Earth. The actual last installment will occur next episode. Oh boy, I mean, this uh, this reminds me of the season finale of... Uh... The third season of Melrose Place, if you remember that. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Where? I actually do. Where? Where the entire place goes up in smoke. <laughs> I love that that whole story with uh, Kimberly Shaw, who's played by uh, What's-Her-Face. Uh, oh, man, uh, Marsha Marcia something or other. Uh, she played Brie on Desperate Housewives as well. Oh, yes. Um, and, and she's, like, totally lost her mind. And she rigged the entire Melrose Place apartment building to blow and uh, they almost stop her from doing it. And like she comes out of the laundry room where she was hiding out, and she's like, "It's like, no, no, you guys, all you you misunderstand. It, it, it's not what you think. It's not what you think." And then she clicks the button. She goes, "It's actually worse." <laughs> and the whole place explodes. <laughs> that was unbelievable, actually. Like I don't think I don't think anybody saw that coming. So that was quite a shocker for oh, the absolutely. for Melrose Place, especially. You think like it's it's like a Beverly Hills nine oh two one oh yeah yeah it's a drama. You don't expect sheer anarchy like that, but anyway it was cool it was very very cool just like this is very very cool so i'm looking forward to seeing uh what happens to earth uh it, I, it's like you get the pre- the impression that maybe the editors aren't looking at the at your story very uh very thoroughly <laughs> here where That's we can enough. destroy planets and no one even notices it reminds me of a certain run of the legion of superheroes <laughs> uh, oh my god the multiple <laughs> tombs of runs of the legion of superheroes <laughs> It's true. I, I have de- I have decided as someone who like I used to love continuity, man. Like it meant a lot to me, even after sure. Crisis when they did a little bit of a relaunch. You know what I mean? I was okay with all of that, you know, because basically they were settling in, they were taking parts of continuity, but at least they took the time to explain stuff away. They didn't throw it on you. Yeah. And but I mean, just everything that goes on right now. Like I don't even know what the Legion of Superheroes is right now. I don't know if you've read any of those issues, but man, they are so far away from the beaten path. It's it's not it's not my Legion. I'll tell you that. I was going to say, I, I have a few of them. I haven't even opened them. Uh, since it's a Bendis book, I'm assuming that they it opens up with 57 legionnaires sitting around a table eating uh, intergalactic Chinese food. You got um, it. That's exactly – it's like a little, you know, friend, friend, buddy, buddy type thing who are living and living off their past idols. And it's – oh, man, it's – sorry. I wish I had better <laughs> news for Legion fans, but that thing is, that thing is a trudge a to get dull. through. Yep. <laughs> and, and you know, with all the promises of how the Legion might come back and uh, how the Justice Society might come back, but uh, 
you know, Jeff Johns kind of, you know, screwed the dog on that and, and decided that comics weren't his priority anymore. So left it to other people to relaunch these properties. And uh, it, it feels like one of those things where it's, you know, be careful what you ask for, because uh, I think so many people wanted the Legion and the JSA back. And now we've got them back. And it's like, well, this isn't what we wanted. What is no, this? no. Listen, the entire part of nostalgia and rebranding these things, people want what they had back. Okay. They want the most times they want the classic version or the altered most popular version of the character back with the full continuity or at least a sense of continuity. Sure. They, we didn't get that at all with this. These are brand new characters, you know, sure. They're based technically on the old Legion, but that's not what we want. Names. Yeah. I want lightning lad. I want cosmic boy, Saturn girl, like, or, or at least older versions of them and then introduce some new people but don't have them as i don't know so i'm I'm too mad to talk i'm too upset (laughs) i'm too mad with the current situation and now legion i don't know it's the world has gone crazy it has and it reminds me of uh something that they did when they brought the uh, titans back under uh, devin grayson back in uh, 1997 1998 like the first maybe six or seven issues was kind of like a greatest hits you know it's like yep. you know the band is out of retirement and they're playing all their greatest hits and it's like oh that's cool you know we're getting yes. re, uh, reunited with these characters but then you realize that that she really had nothing more to say and uh and then like titans would get canceled and relaunched again with the same like six issues of hey remember the past remember how great it was and then it's like <laughs> there's still nothing else new to say and uh it, it, just the law of diminishing returns on that sort of thing i, I just wish there were uh, writers capable and uh and willing enough to actually stick the landing on something like that but uh that just doesn't happen anymore does it it's a real shame and and i guess i don't know well obviously they're clearly not catering to us which no. basically are still the people <laughs> who are buying comics by the way the only people <laughs> yeah so they've they've tried to cater to a younger audience which are not for the most part purchasing the new books sure. or stealing them or finding new convenient ways to find them yes. but uh listen i mean it just doesn't make sense i i just don't know i think someone would really really win a fan base over if they just when they reset a deck, they brought it back to its roots, man, like actual legit roots. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. guess we'll never see that in 2020, man. We're too far yeah. off the beaten track right oh, now to ever return. Yeah, that's that's a pipe dream. Our, our buddy uh, Dave uh, Schultz, he he always uh, has this idea where you know keep doing the crap you're doing now with the with the comics. You know, if you want to do no continuity, do it, whatever the hell you want. But then do like the second line that's on newsprint, you know, cheap newsprint. Absolutely. That just it, it it is in continuity. It has all the old baggage. If if the new kids who don't like the the crappy paper don't want to buy it, then screw them. <laughs> they don't have to. But all of us people who uh, who who love the you know the the pre crisis, the post crisis, the pre flashpoint, the uh, the pre secret wars, uh, the second, third, whatever the hell secret was, 2015. For all of us who like that stuff. Let us have it. <laughs> you know? Well, you think about it. Look how easy it is to physically do that. Think about those dollar mm-hmm. editions that come out today. Oh yeah. Guess what? Absolutely. Those are those are not bad. I don't open those and go, oh, look at this crappy paper. Look at this crappy color. I don't. Mm-hmm. They look great. They they got a, you know, they're not deluxe format. They don't have this bonded they steel. They don't have to be. Re- no, they yeah. don't have to be, Chris. Good God. Yeah. Just put out a put out a gosh darn comic and be done with it. God's <laughs> sake. And some of those are like the only things worth buying these days anymore. <laughs> I know. So I feel difference. like I feel like giving Jim Shooter a machine gun and tell him to go seize Marvel. <laughs> Just 
go take it, but liberate that, liberate that company. <laughs> Let's go find that team of horses that drug him out of the building in the first place and <laughs> let him stampede back in. First thing, uh, first thing he does, he steps into his office and he sits down. He goes, "Okay, we're gonna start over again with Star Brand number six. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Star Brand forever." Started. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, I think we I think we got a, an actual comic book to talk about. Here. We do. Strikeforce. We actually do. Uh, an issue of Strike Force Moratorium, in fact, the the sixteenth issue, in fact, uh, with a, a cover date of March nineteen eighty eight. Our story is called Grudge Match, written by Peter B. Gillis with pencils by Will Spritazio. <laughs> it's true. Uh, inks by Scott Williams, lead is Phil Felix, colors Max Scheel, edits Carl Potts, who we're going to learn a whole lot much uh, more about later on this episode. Uh, yes, the Mr. Big Potts, be ready. <laughs> yes, Mr. Potts is going to be on blast of some sort. Uh, the cheese is Tom DeFalco. Cover Hello. price, $1 US, $1.25 can, and 40p uck. Can, uh, as in, we can charge those people an extra 25 cents. That's what yeah. they're basically saying there. Yeah, we can. <laughs> Meanwhile, the the 40p people are going, uck. (laughs) You know, going to like arcades uh, back in the 90s and stuff, and uh, you'd go to like the uh, the change machine where you'd put a dollar in and you'd get quarters. Yep. Every once in a while, or actually pretty often uh, growing up in New York, uh, you'd get Canadian coins back. And (laughs) nobody, they they had no value. Nobody (laughs) wanted them. The the uh, only way you'd get a, get rid of them is if you like tried to sneak them into like a roll of quarters, you know, like like one of those wrapped paper roll of quarters. That's the only way you could get rid of them because if you gave them to someone at a store, they're like, I don't want this. Like, oh. Our poor currency, our poor diminished currency. What a shame. <laughs> it is. Now uh, this issue uh, hit the stands on November third, nineteen eighty seven. That comes to us from Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. Um, now our cover. Stinks. It's another stinker. Um, on it, a hordesman punches another hordesman. I literally had to look to see if this ever even really happened inside the book itself. I I, I didn't recall it. So when, when you talked about the cover and how bad it was, I said, man, I got to go back and take a look at this. And I was like, I don't recall this being in a comic. And I actually had to thumb <laughs> through and sure enough, it actually happened sort of somewhat sort of, <laughs> in, yeah. in a couple panels. Yeah. But yeah, this is a, this is a really rough cover. Like there's picture this. There's like, of course, you got two people fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a ton of unused space. It's weird. Yep. They have this weird font that flows down on the spine that says divided. Now, it looks like someone ended up getting like word or paint for the first time and like went on a font party. Like we went on. They were like, <laughs> how does this look in New Times Roman? No, wait. Why don't we try Ariel Black? Wait, no. This calls for Rockwell Extra Bold. <laughs> wingdings. Yes, wingdings. Yes. <laughs> But instead, we end up with wide Latin in italics, in italics or whatever, because, well, you know, we can impress the reader with these brave new fonts. I don't know. We, yes. I guess it was the time. You know what I mean? And the lack of the background. I mean, this just stinks of someone getting a new Macintosh computer for the first time. It's just like it's like, my God, we don't have to draw a back room. We can just do gradient blue. And they'll Green never know. Effects. Look. <laughs> terrible. You can see that the only thing that was literally drawn on this cover were the two hordesmen. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. Everything, everything else, everything else, they're like trying to show off their crazy new things that they can do digitally. Well, it sorry, it falls on his face here, man. Man, and, and if people are following along with us episode by episode here, we usually make like a like a fake cover for every episode here. 
And in order to manipulate this cover into something that we could use for like album art, we had to flip the word divided on its side. Because it, like you said here, it goes down like the left hand portion, the left hand side of the cover. It says divided, you know, from top to bottom. So we had to flip it, put it under the two Hordians fighting because it's the only thing that would work. And uh, <laughs> now with it on its side in that weird, you know, wide Latin italics, um, it looks like something that like the little guy from Twin Peaks would say. It looks like it says, you know, the Horde. <laughs> <I-D-O-I-A."> <laughs> it actually does. It's hilarious. <laughs> it does. So, uh, yeah, that's a. Uh, not a good cover, and uh, just another in a run of pretty lackluster covers for this comic book, unfortunately. Um, now we do have a solicitation for this issue, and it says, "Where would you expect to find a showdown between Moraturi and their alien foes, the Horde? Would you believe an old West ghost town?" Now I was trying to figure out the motivation for this, but this whole Wild West theme, but. You know, I think the creative team are not very subtle about their influences when it comes to making this comic. So I think somebody in the office that particular week actually saw a Clint Eastwood marathon or something. Because there's <laughs> definitely some several nods to the man with no name in this one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, there's and, and we get to see a little few uh, a few sneak peeks at some of the things they throw in the background of some of their inspirations. And they're, sure. they're pretty uh, they're pretty open about it. We'll talk about that a little bit later on as we go through. Absolutely. Now, the issue itself opens. Now, stop us if you heard this one before. Uh, it's, it opens with a, a scene of the Morituri using their powers in tandem. What a great idea. Now we can finally wow. understand what each person does. It's true. It's true. Uh, now, this time, uh, they're facing the dire threat of... Oh, don't oh, bear, break, brace everybody. Uh, we Go hope ahead, you're all me. sitting down uh, for this. Uh, they are facing the threat of preparing breakfast. <sighs> <laughs> Now, Pilar, she has super speed, right? So she's beating eggs with her super speed. Um, and she's beating them too fast, so she's told to slow down. Ruthie, uh, she uses her powers to de- detoxify onions. Um, I-, I didn't know that onions were toxic, but uh, she is eating the onions to, like, make some sort of a tear repellent i don't know it's very very bad well, well um, think about think about this at least they included ruth and polar this, this time, time. They, yeah. yeah so even though they're beating eggs and detoxifying onions but mm-hmm. i digress <laughs> our main man sheer uh instead of you know slicing hearts he's actually slicing a loaf of bread um brava <laughs> discovers that all the donuts were eaten the night before and dumps scaredy cat on her head for eating all those donuts uh, hard case, the prankster that he is, he hardens all the sliced bread. <laughs> oh, oh my God, the Tom Fuller Mad cat. Uh, <laughs> backhand, he uh, deflects power for some reason, and it, it, he winds up shattering a light bulb, which I'm assuming is like one last parting shot at our dearly departed radium. Uh, you know, it's like take oh, that I, light bulb. I uh, didn't see that. You're exactly right. And, wow. Uh, you know, we, we usually give Gillis credit for these very contrived scenes. Like, we said it was like a writer's workshop for him where he has to find this really, really clever way to make their powers work together in an organic fashion. This just proves he can't win them all. Oh, man, you're not kidding. This is hot garbage. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you. Think about it. I mean, every single they – they show off their individual powers every single issue, yeah. but – this whole playful food fight is something like almost from a Saved by the Bell, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, cue the laugh track here, people. 
This would have worked, I think, if they were humanizing the moratorium in public, say if they were doing like a humorous media clip or something like that. But nope, this was for real. This is what they do in their spare time. This was the real life here. And, uh, you know, we mentioned Louie a minute ago, but we got to we got to stress it here. Nobody seems all that torn up about how Sheer just murdered Louie. <laughs> Man, like he murdered team, him. This team gets over things like super fast. I mean. <laughs> I think what's really happening here, I think we're finally seeing like the fragmentation of the creative teams, obviously, because continuity mm. is going out the window. I think my guess are like these books are like piecemealed. Like we always get to see, you know, let's say they send Portacio in to do a script while Anderson works on the next issue. And then they call Bagley and tell him, oh, by the way, you're doing issue 27. Can you bang <laughs> that one out? And nobody ever decides to fill in the blanks or let anyone know what the other person did in the other issue. So I think yeah. we're getting a lot of that happening here where the creative teams are not being communicated to. And we're getting like stuff that seems completely out of sequence because if your friend died, you know, you don't want to make a hysterical breakfast the next morning. So, you know, I consider this the great <laughs> breakfast moratorium debacle of 88. I guarantee you. It's Horrendous. <laughs> Terrible. No, before this all escalates into a full blown, you know, say by the bell style food fight here, uh, they are all stopped in their tracks by a psychic projection from the douche, uh, William Deguchi. Now, he's called them into the dorms because he has to show them something rather troubling. You see, Aileen went AWOL. Ooh. She's gone. She melted her way out of the, he the headquarters and vanished into the night. Seriously, can you blame her? I mean, be no, honest, honestly, screw these people. They're not her friends. She's no. obviously an outsider here. You got generations two and three that seem to have some sort of bond that like generation one and two didn't. I don't know. They seem to be gelling a lot better out of nowhere. Yeah. Like there was there wasn't even a real transition period. It just sort of happened. And especially at the cost of the death of one of their friends or supposed colleagues. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, especially one of them's literally a cold blooded murderer, yet he's here just, you know, high jinxily cutting a loaf of bread with his powers. <laughs> I mean, come on, people. Let's <laughs> let's let's get better than this. For sure, for sure. Now, Pilar, she worries about both Aileen and her baby, but Deguchi stops her before she actually says baby. So maybe he thinks the walls have ears and he doesn't want people to, you know, the, the higher ups in the Padilla ranks to know that uh, Aileen is with child. Yep, big brother and Julie Chen is always watching. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> now, we shift to uh, Commander Yuri's office, and he's watching a video transmission of Dr. Tulima. Now, on the screen, the doc is talking about the risks that go with trying to improve the moratory formula. And he even goes as far as to warn that, you know, this one-year death sentence, that might be the least of the subject's worries if they tinker with the formula. Mm. And uh, Yuri takes this all in, and in a weird and, you know, humanizing bit, he almost seems to be a little conflicted. Um, when he does show a little bit of hesitation, his commanders like kind of give him like the uh, the reality checks up. Well, are you still with us or what? And he tells him, yeah, I'm going to do whatever you tell me. You know, yeah. I'm not going to argue. I am. You know, what, what does he say? He's like, he's like, as a Russian, I will come. I will just follow orders blindly or something <laughs> like that. And uh, which is a sign of the times. But uh, he uh, he's he ensures them that he will not question their commands and he will do whatever they tell him to do. Yeah, like he's definitely no Beth Neon, I'll tell you that. Yuri no is his, Yuri is his own man. He, you know, he doesn't have the emotional investment in the kids either like like Beth Neon did because Beth seemed to really really care about this entire team and took like a personal investment. He is just literally cashing a check on Thursday, you know what yeah. I mean? 
He's mm-hmm. a company guy. He's not going to buck the system. He's not going to do anything over and above. He's like he's like, like John Laurinaitis to Beth Neon's Vince Russo. That's how I would kind of <laughs> compare them. So, you know, glad they came back to the upper brasses movement on, like, the moratory developments because that yeah. seemed to be, like, a little bit of a gaping plot hole for the idea, you know, making an army. Remember they were plotting to make an army of adepts. Yes. You know what I mean? Analyzers. But they seem to have forgotten that entire plot point. You know, it's a, it's a huge one that even spawned like Louis's whole betrayal and mm-hmm. caused like a wake of death along the way. So just to drop it out of nowhere seemed suspect, but it seems like they're getting back on track. But they're sort of easing off the whole army of adepts thing. It seems like they're just building a new army of moratory, but not being specific about what they're doing. Yes, for sure. Now, from here, we head into space and we check in with the Horde. Uh, we see the big bad Thundercrush. He is uh, pre- presented with a bunch of Earth loot in the uh, the form of uh, Clint Eastwood movies, porno mags, and ham. You know, <laughs> three good tastes that go good together, right? <laughs> so it's, fit- it's funny how timely it is with the whole ham thing. They actually note that it's the actual Smithfield company yes. who's, you know, the company who basically has the world's biggest pork production, you know, in the, in the entire world that's mm-hmm. all over the news in current times. But, you know, it yes. just hit me sort of weird. I won't get into that right now. But it's also the tip of the hat and the giveaway uh, that, you know, someone in Marvel's creative is like a, a Western or a Clint Eastwood fan. Yes. And now, as as for as for Playboy being porn, I think they're VHS tapes because they seem to be volumes. Yes. He's got a, like, vol- like volume 20 okay. on upwards. Right. So I guess he's trying to give, you know, Mr. Thunderfist or Thunder Dick or whatever to call them, <laughs> you know, tr- trying to keep him occupied for a while with these dirty VHS tapes. But man. <laughs> Just wait till they discover real porn. You're never going to see the horde again. All those tentacles be popping out of their bellies, hard as a rock, I tell you. You know, they'll be like, hey, what's this last copy table for? People stuck to the wall the whole nine. They're going to go all rock and roll express on them. That's what I'll tell you. Ricky and Robert had a passion for glass copy tables. You may want to look that up. Oh, or don't. Or don't. Just just picture whatever's going on with Robert Gibson standing in the corner with no pants on with his crooked eye. That's all I'll tell you. <laughs> well, Ricky Morton takes care of business that day and sells out the place. And uh, and don't use Hacksaw Jim Duggan's blender to make your protein shake. <laughs> oh, no. Um, <clears throat> uh, it may now, be compromised. <laughs> Thundercrush here, he calls for the gentle inquirer to be put before him. Now, you see, uh, old TC here is uh, really ticked off about how things went down last issue. And uh, he's fully prepared to take it out of the Inquirer's hide. Now, G.I. arrives and has read the riot act. Old Thundercrush has, he, he claims that he had his opportunity for vengeance against the moratory robbed from him in exchange for sharing, you know, fake propaganda with the overall worthless Louis. Boy, there you're not kidding. They go out of the way to like sort of sidestep this whole Louis storyline. It it's seems true. like they want to get on with this. It seems like it's inconvenient to have to write about it, so they just want to quickly move on for some reason. It's really strange. It is. It's very out of sight, out of mind here. You know, don't you know, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain sort of stuff. <laughs> I don't know why it's being pushed aside so quickly. Maybe it'll become more clear to us as we continue. But uh, I, th- I think it's the fragmentation of the creative team. It's, it's almost got to be. I think that they really didn't know what one person was doing. So they sort of had to lightly sidestep it without directly addressing the details of it. I think that's what's happening here. hundred percent, hundred percent, especially since, I mean, this issue, we, we saw that issue 16 here was a. Uh, 
was mistakenly a part of a blurb like two or three episodes ago uh, in the, uh, in the Marvel, uh, the mighty Marvel checklist here. So this was probably in the can long before 15 was even done. So I'm, I'm guessing Wills and uh, even Gillis at the time maybe weren't sure exactly what was going on. Um, now, the Inquirer here, he promises he's going to make everything right. He's like, hey, don't worry about it. I got this. Next stop. A seemingly ordinary plastic pipework factory in Arizona. Hmm, Arizona, you say? It's hmm. true. It's, I can see them from my house. Um, <laughs> now, the folks inside, at first blush, seem to be at least Padilla adjacent. You see, they do know about the Muratori and they do know about Dr. Tulima, but we don't know exactly what their connection is just yet, though we will by the end of the issue. Now, suddenly, their radar picks up on a horde, on the horde approaching, and they absolutely lose their minds freaking out. They're they're dropping bay doors, they're slamming windows, they're going <laughs> nuts here, trying to uh, evade, you know, deduct, deduction by the horde. Um, now, cooler heads eventually prevail, and they go back to business as usual, because it's like, hey, you know, maybe if we don't react, maybe the horde will just pass us by. Um, but... It's too late. Uh, even though these geeks didn't go out of their way to make it obvious what they actually do here, the Horde was able to sense a rather large electromagnetic reading emanating from this tiny and nondescript factory. Yeah, the veil is off these guys. It's pretty clear that they're running like a secret moratory-making plant, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the it's basically the Amazon Fulfillment Center for moratory. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I just hope these guys actually have the proper PPE for their colleagues, but we'll move on from that. <laughs> anyway, makes me wonder how many of these secret institutions that actually exist all over the world. Do you think about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that we never even know about. We got secret movie sets that pop up. We got fake chemical weapons plants that are hidden away we never know existed. You know, on top of everything else, the rotten underbelly with, you know, human trafficking, drugs and commodities. I mean, you know, funny, it's funny, but I mean, they're everywhere. And of course, you know, this is wartime. So you got to keep this, this sort of stuff like top secret. So, but by the looks of it, the enemy is on their game and they're on to this little uh, cunning ruse that the, uh, the moratory uh, officials have, have planned here. So this little hidden factory has been exposed and the more than the horde are up on their game on this one. Absolutely. Now, three days pass, and then we rejoin Commander Yuri, who's being briefed by the Padilla. He's given orders and uh, inquires as to why he can't share the full scope of this latest mission with the team. You know, they're they're saying, that, you know, you got to get to this factory, but don't tell the recruits, you know, why. Um, now, he's told that he can't do this because the second Jenners, which is, you know, Pilar, Ruth and Deguchi, they still maintain contact with Dr. Tulima. So they still check in with him from now every now and again. And it's best for everyone to keep the moratory in the dark over this. Uh, Yuri, again, kind of gives pause. He seems a little conflicted, but, you know, being the uh, company man that he is, he does not argue. He heads into the next room and informs the team that they've got a mission to go on, and uh, they're actually rather excited for it. Now, think about last issue. Again, we got like another tonal shift completely here, because last week the team were like downtrodden and completely disengaged. And, you know, I even commented that, you know, just the joy of being a moratory, you know, hero was seemed to be snuffed out. But this book starts out of the gate almost like a TGIF sitcom where, you know, (laughs) the gang find out they're, you know, of what hijinks they're going to get into at the mall or the secrets found in the school newspaper. You know what I mean? It's just this what weird... What happens when Will Deguchi doesn't follow up on the chain letter he got? <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> Either way, as a reader, I'm glad they're excited again. Don't get me wrong. I don't like the whole disengaged team. It's always good to see that they're excited to get out in combat because you can really mm-hmm. feel that, you know what I mean? But sure. boy, Louis' death is just like scraped into the garbage with leftovers from dinner here. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, usually you think about every death that they had in this series. So usually after every death story, the next issue is traditionally you see the team mourning where they're coming to grips with the loss of their friend, right? Not this time. Nope. It's breakfast time at the waffle house with the Keaton family. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> now, do you think, I mean, we, it's like, I'd love to check in with some of the creative team here and see if this was written like the Marvel way, you know? Where all, like, all Will Spatasio got was, like, a brief outline. He did all the pencils and then sent it back to Gillis to script here. Because, I mean, it, this is a very, very different book tonally, this issue. Um, the darkness isn't there where it really should be. Um, with I mean, we've had Louie with us for a year and a half at this point, just about. And it's and now he's gone and nobody seems to care in the slightest. So Not at all. I, just, I wonder if this was done the Marvel way or if this was done from full script um, from all appearances here. It looks like it definitely looks like the Marvel method at play here. But uh, <laughs> I think I think that the creative teams were alerted. They just said, hey, check the blurb in the Mighty Marvel checklist. That's <laughs> that's your story. Go <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> all I know is the number. OK. <laughs> Now, uh, we learn here that the plastics factory in Arizona has had a horde craft hovering over it for over 48 hours at this point. And anybody who dared approach or exit the location was incinerated from on high. Also, it looks like the horde has set up a whole lot of cameras all over the place, hoping to A, lure the moratory, and B, kill them on film. Hmm. So uh, rubbing some salt in the wounds here and uh, maybe putting a little bit more of the fright into the uh, common Earthian here, you know. Um, hard case, uh, you know, who we don't know a whole lot about at this point. Uh, we, we find out he's he was a West Point cadet here and uh, he gives a little bit of a scowl upon getting this. And he's like, I'm not really sure about this mission. And Yuri is he inquires as to why he's like, what's 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 the problem with it? Hard case says that, uh, hey, you know. First of all, this isn't a game. Second of all, the last time we ran in with the Super Hordians, it didn't end so well for us. Exactly. These guys are on the front lines, like, battling the Hordians, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You got Yuri, who's basically, you know, he's isolating at home. He's painting pictures on windows and doing celebrity <laughs> concerts. You know, he's doing all this stuff while all these kids are after getting murdered, basically, yep. by the Horde. But he's like, hey, you know, what's the problem here? Just go out and fight the Super Hordes. Come on. Sure. Sure, they got they they got all the tentacles. It's great. Um, now, uh, they, hard case pulsating, pulsating purple oh, tentacles, oh, throbbing. Oh. <laughs> uh, now, hard case demands to know what's so important about this plastics factory, but Yuri is um, he's mum. He's like, nope, I'm not telling you, can't do it. Sheer gets all ticked up, ticked off, and starts clapping back. Yuri still seems a little bit conflicted, but he just gives them the uh, the old, you know, orders is orders, you know, treatment. Don't don't question your superiors. You do what you're told. That's part of your deal. You know, um, it's not yours to wonder why. It's just yours to do and die. Yep. Um, collect collect your paycheck. People get the work. That's it. Uh, our man Deguchi, of all people, is the one who finally steps up and says, "Screw it, we're going on this mission. We're gonna we're gonna grind their bones to dust. You know, we're gonna do this." And uh, we're soon going to find out why he's so gung-ho. Well, well, actually, we'll find out why right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you remember how Deguchi's powers of projection were acting a little weird last issue here? He was yep. able to sense things as well as transmit things here. So that projection power isn't the only card he's got up his sleeve here. He can phys- he can also psychically sense things, like he did with uh, Sheer holding onto the uh, the runaway train last issue. Um, he's hoping to be able to use his sensational sensing powers in order to suss out what's going on at this plastics plant. He's hoping to be able to pick up maybe some some rogue thoughts, you know, to figure out yes, if they exactly. can put the puzzle pieces together. I actually love this. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you've been listening to the show, I've been skewering Deguchi, you know, every <laughs> every single week, you know, but just how his powers are developing is a real surprise for me. So, you know, sure. with this new augmentation to his power set, you know, it's very cool to learn that he's actually very useful to the team, you know, where his mm-hmm. power seemed to be a detriment, you know, was wildly out of control. He couldn't control it. It was random, you know, it was almost dangerous to have him around. But I yeah. think that the Pidea are realizing that this guy is a probably trouble to be keeping around. I wonder if they're aware of this, you know, new power mutation that he has. And, you know, will this happen to others? Like, think about it. If mm-hmm. he if his powers are starting to trans, you know starting to morph and change and all that stuff over time. And he's able to augment his powers or do different things. You know, are the people who are creating these moratories, are they prepared or even have the understanding that when these characters or these heroes go out in battle, that their powers could mutate and they could become more powerful. They can, you know, extend their abilities and all this stuff. They don't really know the full strength of their abilities. So this is pretty interesting, but seems it like is. Deguchi has slipped into a real, real powerful power. That's going to be of use very soon. It's true. It's true. It reminds me of uh, when Grant Morrison took over the X-Men and started introducing the concept of the secondary mutation. And uh, yes, exactly. It, it, it was so cool to to be able to see that sort of thing happen. They, they blamed that on like a boom in the mutant population, which I, I don't know how that makes sense, but we'll let it because it's comics. <laughs> but uh, I, I do like the idea here. And you wonder uh, not only about the characters we have with us still, but like, I mean, what if what if Jaylene didn't die and her powers mutated into something? And and we look at like someone like Silencer, whose powers suck. What yeah, happens that, if that, her powers? That augment? has to go somewhere else. You can't keep someone with dampening powers. Oh, you know, my. something else has to happen with that woman. Or I just, you know, I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop with her. It's true. It's true. Now we rejoin the team and they're in their jet heading toward Arizona here. And uh, Scaredy Cat, you know, uh, Pilar, she decides to test. Will Deguchi's uh, sensing skill by looking at him, making some weird eyes toward him, and thinking of something very, very, very dirty. Oh, God. I can only <laughs> thank the Lord that my mind is not on display for the general public. Because some shit goes through this guy's head, is all I'll tell you. But anyway, I think the douche has a thing for Scaredy Cat. And I think it's kind of oh. cool. You know, let's think about it. With the exception of Aileen, no one really screws in this book, let's be it's honest. True. <laughs> is that weird? Like, you think about it, are, like, are the men given, like, saltpeter to control themselves around the ladies? <laughs> I don't know. Outside of, like, the, you know, the relationship between Robert and Jaylene, which was, like, oh, gosh, type of relationship. You know, they almost had, like, a brother-sister relationship. It was, like, a complete, but the book is, like, completely devoid of sex, you know? It's not, like, a, not, like, a wild 80s, like, ass slap or a grope there's nothing here like there's absolutely nothing it's on display like these people like live with each other they don't think you know they don't have any evil thoughts so i was surprised to see the douche actually hit mentally on the ladies you know what i mean it was it was kind of cool uh you know 
I always felt like he was he was uh, may have been like a flag raver at the front of a pride parade, but I guess I'm wrong here. <laughs> Who knows? He really likes the ladies, which is uh, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But what an awkward power! Imagine having like full control of your powers. And remember, he broadcasts his powers randomly at first, yep. but he seems like so. If he was getting like say for example he was getting sprung, would that not be on broadcast? <laughs> would not the entire team all of a sudden have those feelings? You know what I'm saying, baby? <laughs> I am feeling a little naughty. <laughs> anyway, I just gotta to, sit yeah. down. Yes. So they actually have this. They have this sort of sort of power set, like translated to a show that's on TV right now. It's called. Uh, and don't judge me for watching this. I've seen like six episodes so far. It's called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Oh. Now the whole idea. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Don't ask, don't ask why I watch it. But she can understand, she gets to feel or understand everyone's genuine emotions, but it's through a song and a playlist on her mind, and it makes for some really bizarre, uncomfortable situations. So just take my word for it and just watch one episode. That's all you need to watch, by the way. <laughs> but it's, it's similar to what the douche is doing here, so. Oh, man, I I was just uh, revisiting an old issue of, uh, now back to Grant Morrison, an issue of his Doom Patrol, where uh, oh, yeah. they, were, they were telling the uh, secret origin of Flex Mentalo and uh, how he was, uh, like, he flexes to, you know, be able to make things happen. That's his right. whole thing, is that he flexes and psychically things change here. And uh, he was trying to figure out a, he was trying to recover a lost memory about something that he had seen in the Pentagon. And uh, so he's flexing, he's flexing, he's flexing, he's flexing for like months. And all he's able to do is cause uh, his neighbors to uh, come to orgasm. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well so, done. It was like an old couple, like laying on the floor and their dog laying on the floor. <laughs> so it's uh, that, that, that reminded me of, uh, of Mr. Deguchi's powers here. Um, uh, worth noting here, you know, we have a, uh, we have Pilar, you know, thinking of something very dirty to turn uh, Deguchi on. And the face he gives her when she's, you know, psychically flirting is horrifying. Oh, uh, this guy is no Brant Anderson. You're not, no. not going to get that super panel of emotion that you get in every single issue that Brent usually does. But uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Wetworks himself here can't seem to generate that. I mean, Pilar's face when she finds out about, like, douchey's intentions <laughs> are, I mean, it's just strange. I mean, the girl is, whether she's into it or not, like, was Will mentally seduced her to think this way? Who knows? It's pretty messed up. But, but you know what Pilar's face looks like in a weird way? Hmm. Almost looks. Do you know how like I, I tell you one artist that I found find his women are extremely strange, and that's Carmine Infantino. Have you ever oh, seen? Oh no, especially yes, especially in the eighties. Yeah. Oh my God. So mm-hmm. Infantino used to draw women almost fish-like. They would have these <laughs> separated thin eyes. They would have like this slack jaw and like this pencil thin mouth that went from one edge of their face to the other and they look like almost fish like creatures i don't know how to describe it now as a kid i dug that i mean i i you know infantino was on star um on star wars comic he was in the flash and all that stuff and he did you know i didn't think anything weird about his uh his work back then but the other day i was going through an issue of i think it was dial h for hero and i think he did some work with that i believe if i'm not mistaken yes but i mean his yeah, and some of the stuff that's in that was trash. These people almost looked alien. I don't know, but anyway, they do, because like uh, when because he was you know he was in, on the Flash during the whole you know five year long trial of the Flash epic, and uh, for a part of that he had this uh, lawyer who I think we were supposed to think was like this drop dead gorgeous bombshell of a woman, 
and uh, like she was very <laughs> high fashion. She wore funny hats, but I think that was, she was supposed to be, you know, like very, very attractive. And like you said, she looked like a fish. <laughs> Terrible. It's oh, just weird. Enough. I don't know. It's something that you know. It's comic art, so I'm not gonna I'm not going to begrudge it or nothing. But uh, it's definitely some weird stuff there. And just check out. If you're interested in weird-looking women, just check out how he draws Princess Leia in Star Wars back in the old Marvel days. It is bizarro world. <laughs> now, back to our story here. Uh, we have our team arriving in Arizona, and uh, we find out that the Horde is setting up camp in a nearby ghost town, just like the solicit Ooh. promised. Now, uh, we... Yes. Now, we also pop back to the plastics plant to find out that one of their, quote, subjects is showing some very disturbing readings on their screens. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Now we jump to the ghost town, and the moratory are confronted by the Super Horde, and they're just as gross as ever. And what do they got these? They got, like, the Ultimate Warrior boots on with, like, the large frills. <laughs> the tassel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was one of their trophies. That was one of their – that was a piece of flair they took. Oh, that would have um, been awesome to steal the Warrior's boots. Oh, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Hogan's crucifix. And uh, with Flair's the, robe. Maybe, yeah. maybe the Ultimate Warrior should have been like a moratory recruit with his destrucity. Oh, that would, that that would <laughs> that's his secondary mutation. Um, now, to begin the battle here, um, Will Deguchi, of all people, makes himself useful here. He projects not just an emotion, but a memory, which we didn't know he could do. He projects a memory of surviving a huge, tremendous earthquake in Missouri. And this causes everybody there to believe the ground is shaking. So they all hit the ground. So totally gives the moratory the early advantage, and they all leap into action on this horde that thinks the earth is shaking. Uh, Sheer, he goes to his only trick, Cutting, heart shearing. Um, he puts his hand on a hordian chest and carves his heart. It doesn't work this time. It's un, it's ineffective. Uh, the super, the super, <laughs> the super hordian's heart keeps repairing itself just as quickly as he tears it in two. Poor Seth uh, Rollins. It's true. Now, a uh, foe Harold deflects powers back at the baddies, but get this, that doesn't work either. Now. Silencer tries to uh, take a page out of Shear's book by silencing the Hordian's heart. Oh, what wow. the hell? <laughs> like, if if the heart doesn't make sound, does that mean it's not beating? <laughs> How uh, stupid. That is the dumbest thing. And uh, <laughs> believe it or not, that doesn't work either. What a effing shock. Come on. <laughs> Silence their hearts. I mean, if there is no war, do we turn the TV off? You know, is it, do do things disappear if you shut everything down and don't hear it? No, absolutely not. This is what a ridiculous power. I may I, I may change my mind down the road, but as of right now, she sucks. It's it's not great. It's uh, there's like a like in child development, there's like the theory of permanence where like if you put something under a, under a towel, like does the child think it's still there? Or do they think it disappeared? You know, and, and that's what I'm feeling with this year. It's like she made their heart stop making sound. But did it, it? I don't think she stopped it from actually beating and pumping blood. You know, I, I, this is so dumb. Um, now Brava, the, the, you know, the, the big bruiser here, she punches one of the super Hordians in their tentacly gut, uh, only to find herself nearly being sucked into the hole she makes in it. 
Yeah, this is this is a really frightening scene, actually, because, yeah. I mean, these, you know, they're going at the uh, the horde, but it's a horde that they've never seen before. So they're not fighting them on the terms that they did before. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, when you hit somebody and your hand disappears in and all of a sudden you're intertwined in them, this adds a whole new element. You know, you don't even know what you're Horror. fighting here all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Now, hard case, he flips out. He's just losing his mind here because as this whole horrendous scene plays out before him, like hundreds of cameras start floating into the picture, you know, like snapping pictures, rolling film. And he's like, crap, everybody's seeing this happen right now. And we're, you know, we're getting it handed to us. <laughs> and uh, but before, you know, anything can happen here, we jump back to the plastics plant here and uh, we find out that the, one of their subjects is stirring. And uh, this is a brand new character who has undergone a more experimental version of the moratory process. And when he is revealed to us, he looks more or less like a melted pile of flesh. Um, This is a moratory monster, if you will, who uh, lets out a scream. Now, this is one hell of a scream that causes a bolt of lightning to emit from his person. That finds its way all the way into the ghost town and absolutely fries every member of the super horde. <laughs> that was weird. Right? Listen, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell you, this is like, if I was thinking of the way, you know, how are they going to defeat defeat the super horde? Would it be like a pile of flesh from another? Like, I wouldn't even think of that as a resolution to this whole thing. <laughs> right. This, this was like, uh, I don't know what to do with this. Why don't we just get someone to uh, scream from a mile away and they'll send a lightning bolt and kill them? There you go. Brutal. Horrible. (laughs) Now, we wrap up our issue with our heroes wondering just what in the hell just happened. And uh, tell you what, they ain't the only ones. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, we're on board with that 100% if that was the goal. Now, next, the sleep of reason hyphen hyphen breeds monsters. The next generation colon monster moratory. Listen, I, I think overall there's there's some good in this issue. It's not a terrible issue per se. It's not the cat's issue. No, no, it's definitely not that. But there are a lot of huge gaping wounds and holes. There's, it's just you can tell it's a filler issue, and they they sort of went off track. There's a massive tonal it's a transition. shift. Yeah. yeah, there's no mourning of Louis after his death, which really really uh, needed to happen. The mm-hmm. breakfast scene was probably the weakest attempt at showcasing the team's powers. If this, you listen, if this had been in like three issues from now, it wouldn't have been so bad because you know at least you would have dealt with the major death, and you know mm-hmm. it would have been more acceptable. But this just looked completely out of place. It looked like it should have been issue 18 or 19, not issue 16 after the big death. So I don't know. There was a lot of stuff that. That should never have gone down in this issue, and it felt out of place and disjointed. But I think overall, if I was rating it a 10, I'd probably give it a 6, 6, 5, but uh, lots, of, lots of bad in this one as well. It's I would say it's the second weakest issue we've read so far. Uh, the Cats one, I mean, that's that's the king for the moment. Oh, that, but, uh, that is the gold standard of crap. <laughs> that is the golden turd. That, but, that, uh, that, that is Strike Force Moratory in the Mad Dog Ward. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> this one is definitely uh the silver medalist here um yeah this is uh you know and and i'm gonna reflect on another book again here um you know what like you said here there was no mourning for louis which sucks it reminded me of when havoc died at the end of x factor and it took like three years for his brother uh cyclops to even like mention that oh yeah my brother died a while ago <laughs> Like, yeah, that well, you think about it. I mean, X Men is probably the the most guilty 
and oh, of yeah. like every single Marvel franchise of doing this, you talk about a disjointed series. Mm-hmm. Like they were, if you read especially the like the gap between Claremont to Claremont, which of course you may have uh, you may have heard of that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I might have. Yeah, you might have read a couple of those issues, <laughs> but that was just plagued with filling issues all over the place. Like you'd have an arc going on. Lots of stories, and then you'd have like this issue that just focused on a single character, just yeah. occupy time, and it just it just went right off the rails. But it's exactly what we see here with like different creative teams taking mm-hmm. breaks, people dropping in, dropping out. It's just a mess sometimes. Yeah, and another thing that didn't get any follow up was Aileen. She vanished, and and like they mentioned it in like two panels. It's like, oh yeah, she's gone. Oops, she has a baby too. Well, okay, that's it. Nobody mentioned her ever again. So th- that this actually makes this issue the first issue without anybody from Gen 1 showing up. Yep, just a mention. That's literally it. They only mention yeah. – well, well, they do They do mention four of them. So they don't they talk about – no, they don't. They only mention two. They talk about Louis in passing, in brief Very passing. passing, yeah. Yeah, and Aileen just literally leaving, you know, just leaving the headquarters and making the run for the hills. But nobody mm-hmm. follows up. Nobody goes to chase her down, wonder where she is. This person has molecular bonding destruction powers. Like, she's yep. able to melt molecular bonds, and she's on the loose. This would be a reason for concern if I was the Paidea. For sure. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, there's that nebulous quality that I think that we, you know, highfalutin comics analysts uh, attribute to books that we we call heart. And uh, this issue doesn't have it. This issue is procedural. This issue is it's it's a means to an end. It fills the slot on the schedule. I think that's about it. Um, (laughs) Not, you know, and it's. It's really, and I, I don't want to use like unforgivable, but it's like they really should have commemorated the passing of Louis. They really should have done something for that. For all we know, it's been so long since we've read this. Next issue could be like the Louis, you know, morning special. <laughs> but uh, I don't think it is. A six-part limited series, The Death yes. of Louis. <laughs> That's what Electric Undertow is. It's the <laughs> Louis retrospective in in five prestige formats. But uh, yeah, this was a uh, not not not. I don't want to say bad, um, but it was a uh, definitely a step down from what we've had over the past several weeks. Um, a disappointment. I, I think that's probably definitely. a safe way to put it. But uh, that's our story. But uh, it ain't the end of the book because uh, believe it or not, this book came with a letters page. What? Hmm. What's it called? What's the name of the the letters page? It's like strike mail or something. Yeah, I think it is. Mail strike. strike. Mail strike. Mail. That's it. Which is which is pretty which is pretty timely. It's pretty yeah. cool. And yeah. uh, we're gonna just read little little bits here. We're not gonna read every letter. We're just gonna read basically the. We're gonna sum up the main theme from a few of the letters here. Now, now, now fir- when before before we get in there, mm-hmm. why don't we remind the, remind our listeners now that this is going to be the first. Is it the? It's actually the. Is it first or second letters page we've had? This is the second or third, maybe. Second or third, yeah. Okay, second second or third letters page. Now, just take a look at how we begin our letters page. Now, if you're if you're struggling <laughs> to get letters and you want to promote this book and you really want to get the fan base off to a running start, hit them with the letter number one, Chris. Oh boy, now these these letters are covering. Uh, Strike Force Moratory issues like six through ten ish, kinda sorta. Uh, from the references they make, there is no hard and fast. This is regard- regarding this book, this issue, this month, because I I think these might have been the only letters they've gotten in the past several months. But our first one comes from Kevin, and he right off the bat says he's bored of the series routine. 
Oh, great. That's a way to start the letters column. That, that's a ringing endorsement. He's like, he's like, this is the same story every month. I don't like it. It's boring. And then he wonders why Jaylene wasn't able to use her own analytical powers to discover a cure for the military process herself. <laughs> I mean, Kevin's got a point there. Let's be he quite does. honest. She he could does. have like, she could, she could have an understanding of what was actually killing her and at least tried to stop it or tell somebody, you know. Instead, <laughs> she let herself. I think basically what it was, she let herself go after the death of her friend Robert, and I actually feel that is the actual reason because mm-hmm. they did have that bond. Uh, Robert went down swinging as he always did, you know, marathon, uh, really, really, uh, you know, they had a real bond. And when she, when he died, they didn't get into it and they should have, you know, they should have made a point of, of giving a reason why she's just given up. It wasn't, you know, she just lost the will to live. Yeah. yeah. But they should have attributed it to something, you know, could have been the death of her friend and all that stuff. And she had no need to go on. I don't know. It was just weird, but that's, that's what I took from it. Yeah. But I, and I love this idea though, cause this could have been a bubbling subplot where, like, maybe Jaylene was trying to figure out a cure. Like, oh, I think I have an idea. But she dies before she finishes. Yeah. That would have been such a tragic thing to see happen. And if they ever go back to Jaylene's recordings, do you remember that Raylene – or uh, Raylene uh, – uh, Jaylene actually, <laughs> actually downloaded a whole bunch of Hordian dialogue. So yep. she took, like, basically all their secrets and downloaded it into her memories or downloaded into – what did she download it into? It was like this that vid disc or vid or like no, a little like machine like, of some sort, right? Yeah, it was like I don't know. She brought in I don't know if it was like shells or something, and they recorded. That's right. Them. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, the Epstia said they couldn't analyze them or something. They were too far yeah, out of their range. But they but they still have that information, so that should bubble up somewhere down the road. Or that's a wasted plot point. Like why did you kill her? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now our second letter comes from Bruce. And another ringing endorsement. He hates the lettering used for the horde. Jesus. <laughs> what, a, what a start to this letters page. We hate this book. It stinks. The lettering. And it's boring. My God. Man, it, someone's got some mad hate for this book. But, you know, it's funny because the Hordian lettering actually changes from issue to issue. It just seems like they, they do it and then they lighten it up a little bit so it's more legible and then they just drop it all together. It's like uh, like some issues they don't even bother. It's really weird. The scene between Thundercrush and the Inquirer, it it comes and goes during that one scene, this issue. That's what I mean. There are balloons that look normal from, from a Hordian. It's weird. I think even the letterer just gave up. He's like, who cares? No one's this reading this stinks. book. Yeah. Yeah, this. <laughs> uh, our third letter comes from Chad, and his main his main you know purpose of writing is to tell us that he loves Robert and Jaylene. Well, we did too, Chad. It's, you know, mm-hmm. probably the best relationship in the entire series, probably. Yeah. You know, it's multi-layered too. I mean, it's a are they the sort of a couple? You know, they're a couple in faith or they're mm-hmm. just a couple in just colleagues, you know, who build sure. trust in each other. And they're, you know, they're like a brother and sister who protect one another. So it it's probably the best relationship we've had in this entire book. And as you know, nobody screws in this book anyway, so it's that's true. that's as good as it gets. <laughs> now, we'll skip the fourth letter cuz there's really nothing important in there. But we'll go to the fifth letter from Gary and he wonders if the cats chapter which we all love so so much um might be (laughs) might be some sort of a reference to alf 
I actually take offense to that. Elf should <laughs> never be tied to that cat's issue. I loved Elf as a kid. I grew up loving it. Sure. Hey, and, and, and I've already told you that I actually was – I played you were Elf. Elf. Yes, yeah. I was literally Elf, so I have investment in this. So <laughs> I love Elf. I think it's actually good. Now, the cat's issue, it just blows. But I'll tell you what. If Gordon Shumway was in this issue, it, made, it would have made it much better. <laughs> Think about it, like the horde is known for collecting all these trinkets and collections and VHS tapes and whatever, you know what I mean? It would have been awesome to see him like have like as a throwaway gag have like elf in a cage in the background somewhere. It would have been awesome. Didn't didn't one of them have an elf pin? Oh, it may have. But it would have been cool to have at least a Mel Actually the living Mel Mackian, yes. <laughs> Maybe it would no. have been Skip or Rhonda. <laughs> That's his wife, right? Or girlfriend. Yeah, his girlfriend, yep. Yeah. Awesome. Now, letter six comes from Duncan. And again, these are referring to old issues here. And he makes quite a uh, prescient suggestion. He says, uh, what might happen if the Moritori became pregnant? <laughs> I think that Peter Gellis actually stole this from Duncan. He's like, I don't know what to write about. He's like, I don't know what to write about. Comic-Con is canceled. I've given up my will to live. <laughs> What can I write about? Hey, I know. Duncan says that, hey, what about a moratorium that became pregnant? We'll go with that. <laughs> Keep on reading, good old Duncan. You're going to get your wish, brother. Yes. Um, and we wrap this up with, uh, we like the the Make Mine Marvel little endings here. Uh, we, I don't know if we like them so much, but we like sharing them because they're, uh, they're dumb. Um, we don't get one here. We only get one sort of. Do you want to, do you want to give it to them? It's, it's sure. very half-hearted. Oh, it's profound. Ready for this? Brace, listeners. Until it ends, make mine moratory. <laughs> That's lame. <laughs> Wasn't even trying. That has to be the worst mail page in the history of mail pages. <laughs> Might be. If you and are sadly, in, those are the only letters they got. If you are intent on bearing your book, these are the these are the letters letters you publish right there. Oh, it's funny. We uh, like we got some junk mail this week from a local pizza place and on it, it was like a little like plastic, very thick plastic paper sort of thing where it had like quotes from their reviews on Yelp and stuff. And uh, and like the, the first one that they had on this list was the food is decent. <laughs> That's how they All advertised right. it. The food well, check, is decent. Check this out. So in Canada, you know, what's your what's your biggest automotive? place that sells tires and different things in the, in the United States. What, what would you uh, say it is? Maybe like Firestone or Goodyear. Yeah, Firestone. Or, yeah. or Goodyear or something like that, right? So we have Canadian Tire, which is obviously Canadian Tire, you know, makes sense. But we sure. also have OK Tire. <laughs> <laughs> they're just OK, Chris. All right. Yeah come, yeah, come over here. We've got, uh, they're not the best, they're just OK. But we have them here for you. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I always Lord thought it. that was just horrible. What a horrible name for a company. <laughs> It's like mediocre tire. Come get your <laughs> partially filled tires. Yes. <laughs> Truth in uh, advertising, people. It's true. You you gotta you gotta hand it to them for that. Um, next up, we have our bullpen bull, 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 bullpen bulletins page. Easy for me to say. One of our favorite portions of the uh, program here. Uh, as always, it starts with a quote of the month. You wanna you wanna hit us with that awesome quote. The quote of the month one. Uh, let me see here. The quote of the month. The very least you could have done was offer me a cup of coffee before you tried to kill me. And this was from Hawkeye in Solo <laughs> Avengers number five. What do you think of Solo Avengers? I mean, <laughs> let's let's be quite honest. Avengers was not the burning hot property that it was, you know, in 2020. Let's be honest. Sure. 
Absolutely. Solo, yeah. solo Avengers. I mean, they had, they had the teams broken up. They were fragmented. They had new, new team members that didn't make sense all the time. You had your mm-hmm. Dr. Druids coming in and out. You had, you know, inhumans coming and going. Gilgamesh. It was just, yeah. Yeah, oh, Gilgamesh, the forgotten one who I forgot all about until you just mentioned. There you so go. <laughs> Truth and advertising. I, mean, I thought that solo Avengers was reasonably a great concept. I mean, you know, I, I like their spotlights on Hawkeye and different things like that, but it could have been super well done, but it just seemed like the stories were at a continuity and they often conflicted what other books were doing. And sure. it was just, a, just a sign that shooters at the office because there was, you know, they were going way off the track and sort of some books were doing their own thing and didn't have a place, you know, yeah. Sign of the times. Definitely, definitely. I think, uh, like, anytime I look at solo Avengers, it's like, I, I keep thinking that Marvel just didn't have faith in running a Hawkeye ongoing series. That's exactly it's, what it was. It's like, oh, we have, you know, the Avengers is a property. Uh, it was, you know, a little bit weak then, but uh, we'll we'll just put that name on there and it'll it'll work. I, I don't even remember who was writing the Avengers at this point. Uh, I don't know. Was, uh, yeah, because I think, was Englehart still on West Coast? Maybe? I, I don't know. I think so at this point in 88 possibly okay um but yeah that's a that that was our quote of the month which goes to show that uh there were not very many good quotes this month um <laughs> uh and onto the news we have our first item jack kirby turns 70 ah. so, uh, look at marvel celebrating the life of jack kirby I, you know it makes me anxious i wonder what they'll do for his centennial birthday <laughs> oh, boy, we can wait. Yeah, exactly <laughs> it's funny listen jack kirby is one of those characters and i know sometimes that i i crap on his current day work but i mean <laughs> you gotta you gotta give him credit kirby and lee literally built the comic universe that we live in right now let's be quite honest sure. with you there's no ifs ands or buts about it these guys built the foundation and everything else flowed from there i mean strike force moratory itself could have easily been a Lee Kirby book. It had mm-hmm. all the all the classic elements, you know, the humanistic elements, mm-hmm. the you know, the super team and the bombastic horde, and it's got all the elements. So I think a you know, a, yeah, yes. Oh, just can you imagine Jack Kirby drawing Hordian Tech? Oh, for sure. It would have sure. been it would have been amazing. Now the, the you know the women would have looked like crap as they normally <laughs> do, but, <laughs> but it wouldn't be any worse than Will Sportacio or Mark Bagley. I'll tell That's you that. True. <laughs> you know, actually a Kirby, you know, a Kirby Strike Force Moratory would have been actually interesting in this book. Anyway, at this time, you think about it, we're in 1988, okay? Kirby was persona non grata at this point, which which surprised me that they even took a look at his life or even discussed he was 70 years old. Because, I mean, think about it, the last real big comic thing that he did in the industry was Superpowers back in 86 with DC, the you know, the esteemed competition. As far as I remember, would that not be true? Do you remember anything in 88 with Kirby? In I don't know direct- what year it was, but he did that Hunger Dogs, uh, that, that Fourth World thing for DC. I don't remember what year was, that was, though. Was, was Fourth World 85? Or was um, it? I don't remember. Maybe? I don't know. I thought, yeah, the I Fourth thought World it, evades me, eludes me. We'll have to take a look at that after. Yeah. But anyway, either, either way, he was persona non grata. I, you know, I read some books about you know Marvel at the time, and, you know... He was not doing a hell of a lot at this thing, and he was sort of like the butt of jokes in the Marvel office and being dismissed, and like nobody, you know, they thought of his work as just being antiquated and outdated. Mm-hmm. And you know, when he finished up with with superpowers with DC or or you know with the Hunger, what is it? What was Hunger he did? Dogs? Yeah. yeah, Hunger Dogs for the New God stuff, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't think he did a hell of a lot after that, like mainstream work, until you know, until Tops came around and he started, you know, farming out some of his brands there in the nineties. But uh, you know. 
Stan Lee and himself were almost in the same boat, to be quite honest with you, because Stan Lee was a little bit of an outcast at this point as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the joke was that he was in Hollywood, you know, hunting Making down movies, yeah. yeah, hunting down movie deals. But really, he was, you know, not on the outs with the company, but he was t- sort of taking a step back and he was just a sort of a ceremonial role at this point. Yeah, and Ditko, the emeritus. Yeah, the chairman yeah. emeritus. Yeah. Yes, and same with Ditko. He was sort of a casualty as well. Now they had him doing like some speedball stuff and things of that nature, but mm-hmm. they really didn't let him touch anything canon whatsoever. So it seems like a kick in the pants to the you know the people who brought the creative teams where they were to this point. It's true. And and here they are with just a throwaway line. You know, Jack Kirby turned seventy. I feel like smacking someone in the face for that. <laughs> You know, what was it? I guess his hundredth birthday would have been in 2018, so a couple yes. of years ago. Yep. And I remember comparing uh, what Marvel did for it and what DC did for it, and it, it just it just really annoyed me that all Marvel did was put out some dollar comics. It's like, oh, oh here's some reprints. Um, yep. Where where DC actually commissioned new work from from creators to you know show homage to to Kirby. You know, they brought. I'm sure they did all of this stuff at a loss. I mean, they were putting out $5 issues about Manhunter and the, the Newsboy <laughs> Legion and, uh, and uh, what, the yeah, Black I'm, Racer. I'm serious, and, man. Like, like, you cannot spit on a guy like Jack Kirby. Let's face no. it. I mean, you can talk about, you, you know, everybody has their preference when it comes to art. Everybody sure. loves a certain style. Everybody loves a certain era. But when it comes to who literally started this whole, not started the genre, but, you know, made it mainstream and made it what it is, Jack Mm -hmm. Kirby is a founding father. And, I mean, Marvel dismissing him and just outcasting him like that is one of the the worst parts about Marvel 80s, I guarantee you, that that disgusts me to a point. And and it feels here like if you remember um the uh, the Fantastic Four anniversary issue where it had like just like a hundred characters on this cover I think John Byrne drew it and famously he drew Stanley and Jack Kirby in the corner but Jim Shooter who was like in the middle of a lawsuit with Kirby at the time had yes. him remove Kirby and this like became uh. this became like the big like ah oh, Shooter's a, you know Shooter's a jerk he hates Kirby he's not gonna help Kirby's when, you know, failing to take into account that Kirby was suing Marvel, you know. Yes, and, uh, yes. It what do you do? It's like, okay, so Kirby is staking claim to these characters here. Are we really going to draw him into a cover as a creator of all these characters? That's that, that that's evidence one. That's evidence A. It's like, well, why did you draw him in here if he doesn't own the characters? Yeah, you should have you should have avoided the whole project at all if you couldn't exactly. do it. Exactly. You know I mean? So it was but very strategic from 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 a shooter standpoint to remove him from the cover, just in a, at a litigation sense. And, and shooter went on record. Marvel's assets. He, yeah, Jim Shooter went on record. He doesn't dislike Jack Kirby. No, not at all, not at all. And I think he actually went out of his way to try to get him his originals back or Absolutely. some of his originals. Um, so this feels kind of pointed. The fact that they are bring, giving Kirby a little bit of credence here. I don't know if this is just a way to show, you know, the the everyman, the every fan that it's like, okay, well, this is the DeFalco era, and uh, we're not going to dismiss Kirby the way Shooter did. <laughs> Boo! You keep your era, Turkey. <laughs> that's just, I mean, that's just me talking out my ass, but that just feels like kind of, it feels very, the timing is very weird. Um, yeah. Our next news item: more editor editorial turnover and turmoil. Ooh. Uh, Yes, we learned that assistant editor Rosemary McCormick, who this is the first time I've ever heard of her, uh, she has quit comics in order to become a school teacher. Ooh. Yeah. Bye, okay. bye, Rosemary. See ya. 
Um, <laughs> now, she was the assistant to previous profile all-star Bob Budiansky, and uh, she will be replaced by the incoming Dwayne McDuffie. There you go. Yeah. Hmm. News item, Mark Gruenwald gets a little bit of mainstream attention. Now, Ooh. his... Yes, his controversial Captain America storyline is mentioned in the Washington Post magazine and is discussed on NPR's All Things Considered, uh, the radio program. And I think that that is a sure sign that absolutely nothing else was going on on the planet Earth. <laughs> there was no current situation to talk about then. Nothing. No, instead nothing. we had uh, Mark Grunewald stories. Nothing, nothing <laughs> pops a rating like Mark Grunewald stories. I will tell you that, sir. It's like... Captain America quit quit being Captain America again. <laughs> Great. It's like the only it's the only tool in their uh, their tool belt is to take to take Captain America's suit away from Captain America. Yeah, it's like uh, do, well, do we like the people in political power now? No. Okay, let's get Captain America out of there. Um, <laughs> our final news item is that there is no room for a mighty Marvel checklist this month. Not oh. that anybody in the bullpen seems to care in the first place. But, nope. Uh, no, no checklist for us to go through. No, uh, no massive, you know, strike force moratory blurb to uh, discuss. No, we got um, something much better. We do, we do. Uh, but first, our profile on Carl Potts. Now, what does Carl Potts do? Well, he is the editor on Alpha Flight, Power Pack, Strange Tales, Captain Justice, and Strike Force Moratory. So uh, I'm thinking he's uh, the one we blame for a lack of moratory blurb every single month. Yes, but you'd think if he was, you know, was the editor on one of these books, would would you not think that he would at least try to tout his own work? And that's that's a very interesting point because do and I I, I mean I'm using the word ownership here as as more of a prideful thing than an actual you know uh, owning thing here. Wouldn't you figure an editor would have like ownership, like not not intellectual ownership, but just like an ownership in pride in the success of their books that they would want to maybe entice a reader to maybe buy them? Imagine what a right? what a theory, what a thought. But it's like uh, we've been reading Strike Force Moratory now for 16 issues, and I think they had like three blurbs. Oh, man. And That's... one of them was wrong. <laughs> 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 yeah, man, he's to blame for this. There's no, there's literally no excuse. No. Now, uh, Mr. Uh, Potts's past freelance work include writing and/or penciling and/or inking Last of the Dragons and Epic Illustrated, Doctor Strange number sixty-three, Moon Knight, and the Marvel Fanfare Portfolio. Oh my God. I mean, we're always talking about, you know, why we create content. Content sometimes when, you know, there's very few people read listening or you know <laughs> nobody may listen or read well with that list of books that pot has i think he knows exactly how we feel because <laughs> that's some crap right there no his current freelance work includes alien legion the strange tales number nine cover the shadow masters limited series the spellbound limited series and a spider-man story that appeared in marvel fanfare wow listen those are some seriously obscure titles, I'll totally. tell you that. I I feel that I own Shadow Masters, or some okay. of them anyway. I, I, I know that I definitely haven't read any of them, but I feel <laughs> that I remember that. And I think that, as for Marvel Fanfare, you know, the best thing about Marvel Fanfare in the mm-hmm. current situation is that if I run out of toilet paper, it's, you know, as soon as uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man and the Mad Dog World, or World uh, <laughs> comes to an end, then I still have, you know, issues of Marvel Fanfare to go through as well. So I'm not out of the woods. 
We will be able to wipe our bottoms. (laughs) (laughs) Carl's hobbies include marine aquariums, martial arts, skirmish paint games, and sleeping in awkward positions. Uh, Perhaps uh, the back of a Volkswagen? I don't know. I'm I'm really worried about people who have fish. And you know Mm. what I'm talking about, too. You have folks who, you know, just have that random goldfish in a bowl, you know, for the kids, and they drop a few flakes in them. But then you got these morons who spend like, literally bags of money on that rare fish that happens to die in two minutes. I just, I don't understand the people. I don't understand the hobby. You people are strange. It's true. Um, by the way, uh, skirmish. He plays skirmish games. That, that we know that better today as paintball. Yeah, so. that's pretty cool. He's actually those that. That list of hobbies outside of his uh, his fish his, fetish, uh, his fish fetish is uh, not too weird at all. Pretty good. No, no, he's a normal dude. I don't know why he sleeps in awkward positions as a hobby. I mean, I guess we all have our our things. <laughs> um, the thing that he is most proud of, he says, "Nah, man, it's too tough to call." He loves all his kids the same. Ah, uh, yeah. Would you be proud of those that list of books? Would you lay claim to any of those? Not me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> his pet peeves include unprofessional people. Uh-oh. Smokers in enclosed public places and Uh-oh. delayed flights. Hmm. So who do you think he might be talking about here? Who's unprofessional? One hundred percent, Big Jimmy Shooter. I guarantee you. <laughs> just think about think about Shooter. He looks like he's a smoker and a cola drinker. You know, he just got that face about him. I don't know what it is. You know, he looks like he's puffing up by the door. You know what I mean? He's standing outside the office doors. You know, just making sure that people aren't on break, yelling at him to get back to work, smacking the ladies on the ass on the way in, <laughs> making inappropriate comments. I might be off base, but I just got that vibe. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh boy now uh he he does not like people who smoke in enclosed places do you have any sort of strong feelings about that and listen ban that crap <laughs> how many messages or how many photos of, of people dying do you have to have before you stop smoking i just can't <laughs> i just can't fathom it's just dirty <laughs> it stinks it's terrible it makes people infinitely more ugly i mean seriously if you saw a person they instantly move from a potential score out of 10 if they got that smoke in their hand, it drops to a six without me even knowing them. Just, just my opinion. So listen, here's here's my advice to all the folks out there: don't smoke, kids, or get tattoos, or grow those Ayatollah type beards. You know, it's all it's all crap. Time to grow up, okay? <laughs> the only thing worse, in my opinion, is like posting these comic flipping videos and being a general ass and posting like, you know, my five dollar pickup comic posts on Twitter. That's that's not, that's not aimed at anyone, by the way. Move on. It's funny. Um, out here, uh, they it was probably oh boy, maybe like twelve, thirteen years ago. They actually put the smoking ban on the ballot, uh, so we could vote on it. And uh, without thinking twice, I voted for it. And uh, one of my, you know, I, I don't talk about politics very much. I, I like I like things. I like to have autonomy. Is is basically my entire yes, I, stance. I agree. I don't want I don't want the government involved in what I do, basically, yep. which isn't unique by any stretch of the imagination. And so I was talking to a buddy of mine about, uh, you know, we were talking about the election back then. And uh, and he asked me about that. And I'm like, yeah, I voted for the ban. And he's like, he's like, I thought you didn't want government involvement. I'm like, well, damn, <laughs> <You got me." laughs> maybe I do. <laughs> it, and, and it totally it totally changed my mind about um well, it didn't change my mind. I still feel that way, but I, I, it, it made me feel like a hypocrite. And I had to admit that it's like, wow, you know, I, I voted not for the betterment of society, even though there are health, you know, health benefits. But I voted, you know, with my gut 
which I, I thought I was more um, even headed than that. And it uh, turns out I wasn't and I probably still am not. But uh, <laughs> it definitely changed. Uh, it made me think uh, a bit, which uh, and, and it shook me a little bit. So but uh, I agree. I don't I don't uh, I, I'm OK uh, like going into a restaurant and not smelling cigarettes. You know, I'm, I'm cool Me with too. that. Uh, we have places out here, and I'm sure they're everywhere, where even though the smoking bans have been in effect for like, you know, a decade plus, you walk in there and you still smell the old smoke. It's built into the place. Like, it's, it's in, in the, the fabric. Walls. It's in the seat. Yeah. The walls, it's seeping out. Oh, it is man. rough. Terrible. Now, our, our man Carl Potts was born in Oakland, California. Yeah, we're not going to hold that against him, I guess. Yeah. Uh, his greatest achievement outside of comics is keeping a mated pair of amph- amph- Amphiprion Ocellaris alive. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's douche speak for clownfish, uh, like the one in the movie. See, I'm completely right about this weirdo, Chris. I told you. <laughs> He's like, I, I know this word, and it's going to throw people off. They're going to have to Google this in 30 years. And I did. Um <laughs> His oddest habit is taking Ralph Macchio seriously. Oh! Drop. Unbelievable. <laughs> what a guy. Uh, uh, who would play Carl Potts in a movie about his life? Robin Hood himself, Kevin Costner. Hmm, I'm actually not not bad with that. I mean, think about it. Mr. Waterworld himself, was he was huge at this time. Sure. I was a fan. I'll, I'll freely admit I was a fan of Kevin Costner. I like Robin Hood. I like Dances with Wolves. Waterworld, I even enjoyed that at the time. So, I mean, you know, he was even really good lately. I mean, you think about it. He's he's one of these one of these eternal people you see on the screen. Like, you know, he never he never goes away. I mean, most recently I've seen him in like Man of Steel, the movie. He played Jonathan yeah. Kent. He's just he got like this calm seriousness about him. And I take him serious in no matter what role he does. And I like the guy. No problem there. Very cool. Uh, why did he pick comics? Well, he loved them since he was knee high to a grasshopper. Oh, yeah. knee oh. high to a knee slapper. I don't know. Um, <laughs> people in high school thought he was an Indian. Oh, I'm not touching that one. Move on. Me either. His favorite performers, and this is quite a list. Um, they include Jane Syberry, Sandy Shaw, Kirsty McCall, Sandy and the Sunsets, Naz, The Hollies, The Beatles, Colin Wilkinson, Francis Raffelli, Sonny Chiba, and Toshiro Mifune. Okay, guess what? I, I, I won't be stealing this guy's uh, collection anytime soon. <laughs> That's a lot of names he named there. And, uh, Man. You, usually when they when they list a couple people, we'll like try to find some anecdotes about them, but this is too many people. And, uh, <laughs> That's trash. Yeah, we're not gonna. I, I don't. I don't care who Sandy and the Sunsets are. No, but I will um, tell you something about the Beatles, though. Sure. I'm not. I'm not a Paul McCartney fan. I don't like Mr. Googly Woogly. I don't like him and his. Uh, <laughs> you know, everything has got to be. You know, certainly like this and Googly Woogly and Flipty Dingle and Save the Whale. Shut your mouth. Get out of my face, Paul McCartney. <laughs> go give your wife another leg or something. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> there you go. I went. Oh. I, uh, when uh, when WrestleMania was out here in Arizona, um, it was uh, 2010, and uh, it was held at uh, the stadium out here, the Cardinal Stadium. Right next door to the Cardinal Stadium is the arena where the uh, Coyotes play hockey. And uh, that night that WrestleMania was on, where we had you know 60, 70 thousand people to see WrestleMania, right next door, Paul McCartney was playing. So there was like no way. To get to these uh, to these uh, arenas, uh, we had to take a bus to a place where we could walk 
for a couple miles to get to the arena. It uh, it was uh, pretty wow. annoying. Yeah, listen, he's one of those guys. I mean, um, the last song that I even remotely liked from Paul McCartney was probably, I think it was from Thriller, Say, 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 with Michael Jackson. It's probably the last <laughs> song that I've ever thought like, I enjoyed by Paul McCartney. He's just one of these guys who was just... I just don't want to listen to him. His music, his voice grates me. His whole political I stance can, I grates feel me. I Man. Feel now, uh, the last good book that Karl Potts didn't read was Fishes of Sri Lanka, Maldive Islands, and Mombasa by Dr. <laughs> Doctors Warren E. Burgess and Herbert R. Axelrod. So uh, he's really into fish, folks. That's what he's trying to tell you. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he actually does own this book, and it probably looks really nice on his shelf. That's about it, too. Does your wife have, like, books that she just displays? I think everybody's wife does, yeah. <laughs> I've got these books on Africa that I think I'll uh, that I'll think I'll think crack open just to see if there's any <laughs> actual words in them. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. We have, uh, you know, like, half-price books. They'll sell you um, – they'll sell you books by the foot. What? Uh, where, like, if you want to, like, like on TV, if you go to, like, the lawyer's office on TV and they have, like, the wall full of the, you know, the impressive looking tomes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Half Price Books actually sells books by the by the yard or something like that, where you could just buy books that you're never going to read, but they look cool on your shelves. And, hmm. uh, yeah, so we're feeding the, the, the habit here, I guess. But uh, Interesting. Yeah, another book that he mentions that he read was Wild Cards which is by various science fiction authors. And uh, I'm guessing maybe he probably did actually read that. Yeah, we'll give him that one. Yeah, this is a uh, George R.R. R. Martin thing and uh, never read it myself. The only thing I actually know about it was uh, I was researching for uh, an episode about uh, Neil Gaiman. And uh, I learned that he uh, offered to contribute the character that we would know better as Sandman to George R.R. R. Martin for this, you know, wild cards line of books and uh, was turned down. Whoa. Yeah. So really? There's a miss, huh? Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, now, the last good movie that Carl Potts saw was not Superman 4. Oh, Carl Potts, you can kiss my asshole <laughs> right in the middle. Listen, I'm not going to have anyone, anyone disgrace on Christopher Reeve. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Listen, I watched this movie, Superman 4, in theater. I know it's not the best, but you know what? This one means something to me. My dad brought me to this movie. We sat into in an almost empty theater for this tragedy of a movie. But you know what? Every time someone brings up Superman 4, it's just like, you know what? Just give this one a pass, will you? <laughs> I had some of the best moments of my life here with my dad sharing popcorn and having a good time watching the screen. And, you know, the content was not important, but just the memory of it. So, Carl Potts, you can do exactly what I just told you. Right on the rim, brother. <laughs> right on the rim. <laughs> no, his biggest influences were, of course, Stanley, uh, Steve Ditko, <laughs> and Akira Kurosawa. Ah. You're not allowed, not really allowed to mention Kirby, except for one little blur. But you know, Ditko was still allowed to be discussed somewhat. He was still kind of lounging around the office. Was he? Yeah. He was busy speedballing and squirrel girling at this point. <laughs> I think that was like a personal favor. I think he was pretty well out of the industry at that point. He had done some work with Rom, but I That's think that right. was 
Yeah, but then they they brought him back as like a personal favor. I don't know if it was to DeFalco or who it was, but somebody brought him back and gave him that speedball thing. But I don't think they had, like Strikeforce Moratory, they had no intention of keeping Steve Ditko around the office. And not only that, he made an ass of himself anyway. He was the type of guy who would never show up. You know, he'd come out of nowhere and drop off like a stack of like completed artwork. It didn't matter. You know what I mean? So, you know, both both ends were not doing doing themselves any favors, but... uh, it's a real shame. Anyway, Steve Ditko gets a mention. That, that's that's a good thing all the time. There you go. There you go. Carl uh, Potts's greatest unfulfilled ambition is to write and draw a regular series for a sustained run. Well, the trick to that is stop getting these duds. None of these that, <laughs> that he even had had a survival chance out of the gate. Come on. I mean, the only chance he had was Solo Avengers. Let's be quite mm-hmm. honest. <laughs> Now, the worst part of his job is late freelancers. Ah, any, interesting. Any guesses who he might be talking about? No idea. But mm, maybe, maybe every single one of them since Jim Shooter left? Maybe? <laughs> that is the definitely Ding dong, the, the witch is dead, but yep. we ain't getting scripts anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that you're dead on. <laughs> when nobody's looking, Carl Potts cracks his back. <laughs> I can help you with that, brother, for making fun of Christopher Reeves. <laughs> and uh, what the people ought to know about him is that he considers himself, self, 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 to be the luckiest man, man, man on the face of the <laughs> earth for being where he is. So uh, one, one thing about these questions, they're so dumb. I couldn't imagine anybody asking anybody these questions. <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine. Like if you were like talking to like, say, nine different people, like over the course of like 10 hours would you ever ask them these <laughs> stupid questions? Definitely not. I mean, what never. a bad idea that would be. That, that would never a, be a that thing. Is, that is death. Uh, you know, a Claremont to Claremont episode two is coming soon uh, on a different note altogether. You'd never put that in there, oh, would you? No, no, never. That is, these are silly questions. That's <laughs> Nobody's interested in this. Um, now, Mighty Marvel checklist, of course, there isn't one. But instead, we have the real origin of the Wolf Pack written by Anna Senti. Oh, yes. Do we care? <laughs> nope. No, <laughs> we don't. Um, we did actually read this. And in fairness, she actually spends a couple hundred words saying absolutely nothing. <laughs> like, shock. if you had to distill this into a sentence, you couldn't because there's nothing here. <laughs> yeah. poor, poor Anne. Yeah, it's not good. Um, now, we also have a little ad at the bottom here telling us to look for the spectacular new Spider-Man balloon and the mighty, mighty Marvel Universe float in this year's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Boy, you're really, you're, you're really reaching for content here if this is what you put in your, your, uh, your, your bullpen bulletins page. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of Wolverine there for some reason. Yeah, with Arthur Adams Wolverine, which is yeah. amazing, by the way. Yeah, it's like, I don't think there's going to be a Wolverine float, but uh, or maybe there's going to be a dude in a Wolverine costume on that float. we gotta, we got to see if we can dig up the footage. Uh, I know there are some Thanksgiving parades on, on YouTube. We'll maybe see if we can find it. Um, but that's our bullpen bulletins, and uh, all we have left are our ads. And uh, the first one is for the TSR Marvel role-playing games. Uh, any Any memories of these? Well, I didn't actually get the Marvel ones. Now, I've mm-hmm. seen them around, and I've seen them around quite recently, actually, in different uh, different states of distress, we'll say. But here's sure. the ones that I did have. So, obviously, I had Batman the role-playing game. 
Mm-hmm. I had Robotech, the role-playing game, and I had, of course, Dungeons and & Dragons. And the only problem that I had was actually finding someone to play with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I actually I actually managed to get a couple people to actually play uh, okay. Batman and D&D with me a couple times. I almost even joined a and d society back in my university days, but of course my university came to an end and poof. Well, well, that saved me from a lot of trouble anyway, because when I looked at these bunch of rejects that were in that room anyway, <laughs> I feared for my life that one of these uh, clerics, that 10th class cleric was going to come after me and cast a spell on my ass and turn me into a frog. I don't know. Anyway, they were they were some uh, dredges of the earth, those folks were. But uh, actually finding people to play with these things were hard. And when I played Batman, I gave up right away because the person I was playing with did not have a clue about comics. They were mm-hmm. making up these stupid storylines. And you basically got to be the dungeon master, you know, to guide your okay. characters through a storyline, basically. That's what it is. So they give you a storyline and you guide your characters through the misadventures. So if they enter a hallway, you describe what's in the hallway and what okay. they're encountering and all that type of stuff. And these people were deadpan. It was like, mm-hmm. say, for example, Batman met the Joker. Okay. So they, they would go, I throw my batarang at the Joker and kill him dead. You're like, no, you you can't do that. <laughs> you know, you actually have to have a battle. We have to you roll win. the dice. Yeah, game we over. have to roll the dice. You're like, well, that's stupid. I'm like, well, that's the game. Well, I don't want to play. You're like, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Forget it. Joker's dead. <laughs> yes, you win. Game over. Oh, man. Great detectiving. I would sometimes grab these from the library when I saw them growing up. Yeah, um, cool. Basically, just to look at the pictures uh, and to see what they were about. I never played them. Never had, uh, you know, anybody who would want to play with me. Never really could sit still long enough to figure out how to play it. Um, but I do remember just grabbing them out of the library because they were like the only comics things that I could find uh, that weren't, you know, Garfield books. And yeah, uh, Oh, Garfield books. Love them, love them, love them. Oh, Garfield, yeah. Garfield at large and all those. I lived mm-hmm. up those for my sto- uh, school book orders. But oh, yeah, sure. you're right. But some of these role-playing games, they actually had a lot of knowledge or little background on power sets, uh, oh, origins. Absolutely. And, you know, they had a lot of stuff that you would never commonly find inside the pages of a comic. You'd have to go to a who's who or like a Marvel Universe book to even find out some of this stuff. But they added some extra detail to characters mm-hmm. you didn't even know exist. Sometimes they just went off on their own and just created stuff. Yeah. But, uh, no, I thought they were really cool. All these books were cool. Yeah, and in recent years, I've been actually picking them up anytime I see them at a used bookstore because they're usually, like you mentioned, in in, in various forms of distress and use yes. and just way, way, way used. And uh, so, like, the, the their dog-eared the covers hanging on by a thread. So, like, they're always thrown in the boxes for, like, a buck each. So it's like, well, yeah, I'll grab that. Why not? Absolutely. It's just neat to have and uh, neat to refer to and uh, – yeah, like you said, they they will give you a, like a power set. It's the only place you could find out what Terry Long's power set is. You know, <laughs> how, much, how many hit points he had, and how many right? special abilities, and what his will was, and all this stuff. Kind of cool. crazy. Yeah, it's like you could you could get the Teen Titans uh, source book and find out Terry Long's power set. Ugh, nowhere else you could find that. Um, <laughs> Why anyone else would want it, I don't know, but it's still good true. to have. It is. It is. Uh, our next ad features the Sega Master System. Uh, so uh, did you own one of these or even know anyone who did? So I am a Nintendo kid. I was born <laughs> as a Nintendo kid. Actually, I was born as an Atari kid. Sure. But uh, after that went down, I hesitated when these new systems came out because, you know, I was still wanted to buy Atari. I didn't want to transition over to these 8-bit monsters, even though they were <laughs> 10 times better. You know what I mean? I, I went and bought the Atari 5200 just to try to stay current. But, you know, <laughs> I, got, I got overwhelmed. Anyway, I did not have 
the Sega Master System. Mm-hmm. I actually had a Nintendo, just a basic Nintendo. Sure. Uh, but I knew my friend. So my friend, who I mentioned before, his name was Kaiman, who was published in the uh, the Archie in comics Archie? and all. Yeah. yeah. He's the guy whose mother paid for everything, and of course, the bottom, the Sega instead of the Nintendo. <laughs> to me, okay. to me and my friends, the Sega was always that system that your parents got you when you couldn't afford the Nintendo, right? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was not cool club in my area to have a Sega, you know what I mean? You were like the outcast. Hey, you want to come over and play some Nintendo? I only have a Sega. Oh, man. <laughs> that sucks. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Do you need money for your family? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I was biased for no reason at all because, man, it was definitely comparable. Uh, It actually better in certain ways, to be quite honest with you. In a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah, but it didn't really grow an identity as a publisher in regards to mainstream popularity until Genesis. So Genesis really became Nintendo's competitor, you know what I mean? Nintendo had its core characters. They had, you know, the Mario, the Luigi, the Lynx, Mega Man, Simon Belmont, and all that stuff. Sega just had games. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were more arcadey. Yeah. I mean, they had, had like, Alex Kidd. um, They had Wonder Boy, who was, you know, who they used as, like, well, they used the whole, like, level system for Adventure Island on the Nintendo. It's a real, you know, weird, weird story. But, uh... I, I had a guy down the block, a buddy of mine named Albert, who had uh, the Sega. And uh, at the time, I believe I only had the Atari 2600. I didn't even have the Nintendo yet. And uh, he invited me over to play it. And the one thing that really stuck out to me, and this is this just tells you that I was like a weirdo even back in the day, uh, was the fact that they came, the games came in these like plastic clamshells, you know? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they looked really cool on a bookshelf. Um, where, you know, if you had the Atari, what you had was a box of cartridges. If you had a Nintendo, what you had was a box full of cartridges. But if you had the Sega Master System, you had something that looked so cool on a bookshelf. Man, they did. They did. They had the basic, they almost had like a, like a white case and it had like a, like a computer grid. grid. Yeah, like a grid, blue grid background in the background. Then he would have, so if it was like, for example, Outrun, for example, it would have like the car driving into the sunset. You know what I mean? But they were always cool. They did. They looked great for display. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the front covers looked ridiculous. I mean, there's a wrestling game where like the guy, it's like a headless man (laughs) giving a headlock to himself. (laughs) Oh, some of some of them you question the artists and you oh know. totally yeah what drugs they were on or, or if they were only paid like in in pennies or pesos or something it's it's really bad but uh but I love the way they looked on the shelves and that's what always stuck out to me and but uh, think about think about this when when Nintendo launched they didn't go out of their way to do a lot of like detailed art in their covers so they presented the pixel characters on yes. some of their core items you like know what i mean core, Super- core dozen yeah. games yeah yeah i mean think about like pro wrestling the cover of that they had pixelated wrestlers on there mm-hmm. like mario was pixelated all these things were pixelated it wasn't until like legend of zelda came out and they had like the gold case with the shield yep. and all the different things but the original games were very basic they had the name on there like kung fu they would just have a pixelated oh, character yeah yeah you know what i mean really basic so when you saw the sega games and they're in these white clamshells with like detailed cover art man you're like man i'm missing out here i feel yeah Yeah. well i didn't want to admit it at the time because i had my (laughs) nintendo okay you could keep your welfare sega sir despite (laughs) it being better in certain ways yeah and i never actually owned a master system even to today i have like because you know you go to you go to old record stores or bookstores or used places or thrift stores and 
like there'll be like Sega games complete in the clamshell, sometimes with the wrap, like the plastic still on them for like oh, yeah. you know, three for a dollar. It's like, okay, I have no use for this. I'll never play it because I don't have the system to play it on, but I can't leave that behind. You know, so, <laughs> I agree. So, like they're vintage now, like they're yeah. just a piece of history and you got to have it for sure. For sure. Any, uh, any other like Sega memories in general? So the first game I ever played for Sega, which is funny because it's also the first game I ever played for Nintendo. So the first time I ever played Nintendo was actually in a Woolco in Canada in Ontario. So it was on okay. display and I played NES Pro Wrestling. And okay. the first time I ever played Sega was at my friend's house and he had the Pro Wrestling game for Sega. So that was the first time I ever played it. And it was pretty fun. Like, you know, two of us could play against each other. And there was, you know, just to be able to play wrestling that didn't look like two you know, square Blocks. boxes with, yeah. yeah, like, like, do you remember Atari boxing? Do you ever oh, remember that? Oh boy, with like the big crane arms. Yeah. Yes. From so like, basically, it was like a top view down, right? Yes. Picture a square with a head that had an extended arm with like a square on the end and you hit each other. Yep. <laughs> it was extremely basic. So, I mean, you know, a lot of these games were basic, but it was a lot of fun because you could do different things. You could go to the top rope, you can go to the outside. Yeah. You had movement, and for the first time, that was so fascinating. I loved it. And a lot of the games that I played, I don't know what you thought, but, you know, Pro Wrestling, you had OutRun, which was basically, you know, their answer to Rad Racer. You had Space Harrier, and there were all lots of fun games, but they also had a light gun with it, you know what I mean? And it always seemed, now, (laughs) quote me if I'm wrong, but it always seemed to work better than... Nintendo Safari or Nintendo's version with Duck Hunt. Mm. So they had uh, Safari Hunt. They had like Gangster Town. Both of these games were really, really fun, man. But they <laughs> seemed to be more interactive, like easier to use. They were more in tune with the screen for some reason. I may be wrong. People might laugh at me and say, you know, it was complete garbage. But that's how I felt as a kid. And when you're talking about games, Fantasy Star, if you ever okay. played Fantasy Star, oh, my God. So everyone talks about The Legend of Zelda and how, you know, unbelievable that was and how definitive it was back in the day for nes fantasy star was like an anime rpg for sega but it was amazing and it had like you know cutscenes with anime graphics and it was Mm -hmm. it was just just unbelievable so with those games i I always felt in the back of my mind and though i'd never admit it i always felt man i'm really missing out on this master system yeah fantasy star um i like the uh the second through the fourth the first one always um because the dungeons are first person in that. Yes, that's correct. And oh man, you you had to draw a map. You couldn't oh, definitely. get through oh, it. Oh yeah. Oh no no no. Without it, um, I tried playing it when they re-released it like on the Game Boy Advance, uh, probably <laughs> like 2002, 2003. And oh man, I, I got to the first dungeon, walked around for a bit, and I was like, nope, done. Yep, Can't I'm done. Do yep. It. But back in the day, you didn't have anything to compare it against. It's you true. Know what I mean, it's true. I compared and, it and against. It looked by, great. Yep. Yeah, I had I had Indiana Jones for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark for Atari, which was basically oh, a blob on the screen running around in like and squares in the holes and oh, oh just man. trash. So then Garbage. you get Fantasy Star with like anime cutscenes and different sure. things. And you're like, what is this? Amazing, no, it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous here. And, and you uh, think of, think about Sega. So when they moved on, they actually transitioned probably better than Nintendo, to be quite honest with you, because I still feel. That despite how really, really good and how much we love the Super Nintendo, I think the Genesis was actually better. It was a hmm. it was a it was a game changer, man. Like Genesis debuted Sonic. I yep. mean, it, that was game changer. I remember seeing that on the screen for the first time and like oh, it was wild. 
oh, it was just so good and it was so fast. It just felt more, you know what I mean? Even though I didn't ever bought that at the time, I ended up getting a Genesis later on down the line. But I always felt in the back of my mind, oh my God, am I missing out here? And, you know, <laughs> some people, it wasn't a shame to put your head down and said you had a Sega with the Genesis. No, you know what not I mean? with the Genesis. And it's funny because uh, when I graduated from elementary school in sixth grade, uh, I was offered, you know, we'll give, we'll buy you a Genesis now, or you can wait until Christmas for the Super Nintendo because it wasn't out yet. Yeah, yeah. Being an impatient little idiot, I said I want the Genesis <laughs> right now, and uh, and it came with Altered Beast, which uh, oh, oh, I love that, which was a port of the arcade game that I beat in about a half hour, <laughs> and then I sat because I beat my only Genesis game. Oh. Um, and uh, that was it. <laughs> wow. A few months later, my friends were getting their uh, the Super Nintendo with Super Mario World. And uh, Ooh, how good was that? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And uh, I'm sitting there with my altered beast that I beat <laughs> every day. And it didn't matter. And uh, <laughs> I do remember the first commercial I saw for Sonic the Hedgehog. And I went to uh, the local video store to rent it. And uh, it was Mr. Video on Montauk highway or Montauk Avenue, whatever the hell they called it, Montauk Highway, I think it was. And uh, the person behind the counter goes to the back and asks if they had Cosmic the Hedgehog, that I was looking for Cosmic <laughs> the Hedgehog. And, just and of course, they brand name at that point. No, no. And they and they did not have it. It was already rented out. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I did eventually get Sonic and I eventually got a Super Nintendo and never looked at my Genesis again. But because uh, that, that's where all I mean, the RPGs were all there. And oh, yeah. God, yes. But think about it. You talk about the deluge of Genesis games that you can get. I mean, there is a staggering amount of Genesis oh, games that you can buy. Yeah. And a lot of them are like you know, third party connected. A lot of the, a lot of what the super Nintendo did was a lot of, you know, in-house stuff that they had, you know what I mean? They didn't really go outside. So when you consider sports games and different things like that, mm-hmm. Genesis had the adult market, but there was, when yeah. you're serving, when you're servicing kids who are our age, obviously super Nintendo was not to be touched. Let's be clear. Oh yeah. Right? Even like, uh, like their mortal Kombat version had the blood on the Genesis. The Super had Nintendo one. Oh my God! They had these like gray, uh, gray gelatinous blobs that would come out yep. of the characters. There was Sweat. no blood. I loved it. I was so good at that game, or I felt I was. <laughs> now, what about uh, what about the uh, some of the follow-ups to uh, the Genesis here? The uh, the Saturn, the Dreamcast. Uh, how'd oh, you feel man. about those? So the Dreamcast. So Saturn. I played the Saturn and I played Virtua Fighter. Uh, now, okay. I never ever bothered to buy any of the follow-ups at all. I never had no desire to. But the Saturn Virtua Fighter, I could not believe it. But it seemed mm-hmm. to just be, seemed that they just walked away from it really early. They like it, yeah. They gave up on it. They aborted it. Like uh, It was more expensive in my hometown to buy one, and it just seemed to just peter off. Like It had a very small section in the showcases when you go into stores, and like you could tell right away that it was inferior. You know? Or yeah. mar- market-wise, it was inferior, I mean. Well, yeah, because like the Dreamcast was like a like a, 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 a was competition to the PlayStation 2, which yeah, good luck. You weren't going to touch that. No. no, 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 no. But the thing with the Dreamcast is, and I remember this vividly because I was a loss prevention officer with a large retailer, mm-hmm. and uh, all of a sudden there was a spike in Dreamcast sales. Now they had dropped the console price like way, way, way down. So you know it was it was officially affordable. You could buy one at literally dirt cheap. Yeah. But why people were buying those? Because you could pirate it. 
you could pirate games onto a CD, put it yep. in, and it would work. You didn't have to tinker. Like, you could play pirated games on the original PlayStation, but, man, sure. you had to do some work. You had, you had to, to have the, the hoops. Yeah. You had to have the lid popped up and, you know, spin it a certain way, take a disc out, put another one in. Put there it was upside like a, down. And it's yeah, head, it was yeah. A, it was like a lot of crazy stuff you had to do to get it to work. But this thing, you just literally downloaded a game, put it to a disc, pop it. it in your yeah. machine, and it worked. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. I, you know, I don't have a whole lot of appreciation for a lot of, like, the the main, like, Sega lines, like, you know, Golden Axe and Streets of Rage. Nope. Like, they're fun to play occasionally. But uh, for some reason, for the PlayStation 2, 3, and 4, I've bought the Sega Genesis collections over and over and over again. Don't go. have a whole lot of interest in playing any of them, but I need to have them for some reason. I, I don't exactly know why. And, it's just uh, memories, man, memories. Yes. Uh, like, it's like it's like every time I get psyched to play Kid Chameleon, and then I play five seconds of Kid Chameleon and go, wow, this sucks. But then you're and, good, though. You're good. Like, <laughs> you get it out of your system, yep. <laughs> and the last like Sega thing I think I did, I, I bought uh, Shenmue 1 and 2. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, I remember playing Shenmue back in the day, and thinking it was like novel but boring and uh and so i bought it again in high definition thinking oh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna play it this time i'm gonna gonna beat the game i'm gonna get through it and it's uh it's still boring (laughs) oh man that's too bad and you know what i tell you what a lot of the nintendo games hold water a lot better than the sega ones too because i can i can play the nintendo classic and the super nintendo classic and i can spend two or three hours in front of the screen before Mm -hmm. i bail you know what i mean it's just a lot of nostalgia but then i'm good for another Two or three months, you know what I mean? Yeah, you get it it. Just, yeah it's fun. Because yeah, uh, on the on the Switch, if you uh, if you sign up for the online program, oh, on the Nintendo so Switch, good, so you good. You get the the classics and stuff. That's a lot of fun. If only they supported it a little bit better. I, I'd like to get some some you know more frequent updates, but what do you want to do? Uh, we have another ad, one for the new universe. It's like Whoa. trying to bring the new universe back to relevance here. Uh, it looks not unlike our uh, Mutant Registration Act uh, ad from a few weeks ago where, you know, it's like it's 1987. Do you know what your kid is? This one is a uh, it's a picture of four characters saying one of these paranormals is going to kill a million people. And uh, those paranormals include Starbrand, DP7, Force, and Justice. A.K.A. the only titles not canceled at that That's time. True. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah, this Mark is Hazard this, merch. <laughs> this is exactly right. The um, it's a complete ripoff of the other ad. No, no Doesn't ifs, ands, or buts about it. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's not inspired. It's exactly the same. Now the artwork is really odd. Everybody's face looks really different and gumpy. Like the jaw lines on these people are weird, and their eyes are strange. Who who drew this? You know, the star brand almost looks like a uh, Ramita Jr. Ah, there you go. Sure. That's an explanation for you. Yeah. But you I know think what? It looks like Justice. It says it looks like it says Bog in the cor- bottom corner of his little panel oh, there. It might be John Bogdanov. Bogdan- yeah. Uh, no, you know what? I bet you that's exact. No, that's Bogdanov who drew that whole thing. Guarantee oh, it. Okay. I'm not a fan of. That's where the square jaws and all that stuff come gotcha. in. A- AKA Superman, which. I could anyway. I don't want to talk about John Bogdanov. It makes me upset as a person. <laughs> anyway, at least I'll give him one thing. Uh, it's very strange to see this because this is a shooter property, but this is about as much uh, emphasis as they're ever going to put on a new universe <laughs> in the foreseeable future. Yeah. This right here, yep. They're going to do a one shot sure. called The Pit. They'll mm-hmm. follow it up with The War, and then this thing is rudding off to its grave. Dunsky, yeah. 
And our final ad features Marvel pins. Ah. So it's these little enamel pins here, and they're $6 each. Jeez, this is scandalous. I mean, holy ding dong. <laughs> think about this. I, the only thing that I think about think about when I think about this is that they're the only people, pinners, are the only people that are like one step crazier than the fish people or bronies. <laughs> <laughs> or who? Or the bronies. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, they're weirdos. Anyway, I don't mean to discriminate, but, you know, I will. <laughs> you people are weirdos. And no, I'm not going to trade my pin to you, so get away from me because I'm going to call the cops, all right? <laughs> there you go. You know who I think cut this ad out and sent in for all these pins? <laughs> uh, probably that one kid who was giving out the licorice on Degrassi Junior High. Oh, yes. <laughs> the kid who got beat up by his dad and brought the licorice <laughs> into school. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Hilarious. <laughs> But I, I think uh, I think we've uh, covered this book as well as uh, we could, and uh, sure. we uh, we will uh, I think we'll call it a day right here. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to uh, say or plug or or all that good stuff? No, but I'm feeling like having a profile on myself, like the Carl Potts one. I don't know. I'm I'm really digging these questions. I uh, I think if, I, I think I might like that to happen. You got any idea how we can make that happen? If, if you can find someone dumb enough to ask you those questions. <laughs> More power to you. Um, I'm I'm gonna search the interwebs to see if someone <laughs> can actually do my profile, okay? And I'll let you know exactly who I find. Oh, good, good, good. Yes, uh, I think I think we'll probably know like the first week of May if there was an idiot dumb enough to ask people those questions over and over yeah. again. I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking yeah, that's a good time frame to get those questions asked. I believe you're yeah. right. I think so. But <laughs> anyway, no, all I got is number one, thank you for listening. Everybody out there, stay safe. And you can find me if you want to have a chat or just discuss anything we've talked about here on Moratory Mondays. Hit me up on the Twitter at Charlton underscore hero. And you can also find me here on, on this particular podcast. And sometimes if wrestling ever come back over <laughs> on the W2M network with the Podsman. But uh, who knows? We got money in the bank coming up where everybody has to uh, climb, climb to, to the, the top, top of, of the building. building. Yep. yep. To, uh, <laughs> to get something. <laughs> I don't know what that may be, but uh, by the looks of it, it's a it's a uh, guaranteed contract that says you're not fired. But, you know, I digress. Hopefully. <laughs> yes. No but anyway, that, that's it for me, Mr. Sheehan. What you got? Oh, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm all the places I usually am uh, over at Chris's on Infinite Earth. Still doing it every day. Uh, also, Chris and Reggie dot com. Nineties X Men dot com. Find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. There's also the Nineties X Men Twitter, which uh, I think I've used twice. Um, <laughs> I'm just not very good at uh, social media. I apologize. I, I need a uh, I need an intern or a uh, or just someone to slap me upside the head so I'm better at it. Um but yeah, you can find me at all those places if you want to check in. And uh, that's probably all we got for you this week. We'll let you go on with the rest of your day. We thank you so, so much for joining us. And uh, we will talk to you again real soon. See ya!
about to die. Salute you. Front recruits, it is episode 17 of Moratory Mondays. We are firmly in the second half of the run of the uh, classic and undervalued Strike Force Moratory run from Marvel Comics. Chris and Chris here to break down the 17th issue with a cover date of April 1988. But first, we got a finale. Something will end today. It's not Strike Force Moratory, but something is going to end today. And, uh, you want to jump right into that? It certainly is, Chris. So just for some context, if you're just joining, if this is your first episode, we've actually had some of our listeners join up as recruits, and we've tailored a little storyline that we add to the beginning of every episode, and uh, we follow their antics and hijinks through the world of moratorium. <laughs> now, our team uh, is left off, and this is the grand finale, so we're going to jump right in. So... As we left our recruits, the standoff in the garden is at a standstill, and the Moratory looked on the verge of a major victory over the Horde. Now, as the Hordian army has fallen all around them, the newly revived Hordian commander known as Thunderfist has brought the war to a grinding halt. Literally in his hands, he has a detonator, and he stands on top of his literally his fallen comrades' bodies, holding this thing threateningly to our heroes now our heroes pause they look at each other almost like in toy story toy story 3 when they're going into the fire and they know that something bad is about to happen they're afraid to make a move Lockshot actually takes advantage and he fires a random psionic eye shot blast which is actually intercepted by fake herald who is redirects it right into the garden's laser targeting system it literally disarms the grid of security weapons which is unfortunate for our heroes now splinter red who struggles to get to his feet stands behind Harold, grabbing him by the back of the head, sticking the cannon at the base of his skull, and he finishes off phony Hordian, <laughs> the phony Hordian imposter by blasting his skull into fragments. Now, his lifeless body flops to the floor. Now, his cloaking mechanism that was making him appear as Harold finally goes away, and we get to see the tentacle-filled, disgusting body of a mutated super Hordian, one of these people that we've seen in, you know, some of the issues in the past here. Mm-hmm. Now he turns his attention to the commander. Forcefield jumps in place. He shields Red to protect him, but also stops his ability to fire on the commander. So he can't blast through the shield, but he just protects his friends. The Moratory are backed into a corner as the Hordian commander uh, holds the detonator high and clicks the button. The men mm-hmm. turn away from the Hordian commander, closing their eyes. Just at least they don't have to witness, you know, the end of their last few minutes of life. Yet nothing happens. Lockshot turns towards his enemy who is standing with his eyes wide. All of a sudden, his hand is empty where the detonator once resided. Materializing behind him is Flash Forward, one of our recruits who appeared to have died earlier. He grins with a sneer. He said, he says to his friends, what did you expect you all to let me die? I'm a time traveler. Do the math, people. Well, mm-hmm. stop wasting time and take this bad boy down. Dreamscape opens up a final portal door. 
and Lockshot levels the massive Hordean with a searing blast, driving him back towards the portal. As Dreamscape shuts it close, uh, shuts it quick, um, taking the villain completely out of the scene. Now they've actually defeated the Hordean commander. Suddenly, a buzzer goes off. The lights in the room come up, and the PA announcement says, "Your virtual session has ended." Here at Moratory Studios, we hope you have enjoyed the experience. All of a sudden, we pan back, and the viewers see the room is merely an empty room and not a garden at all. There are no Hordian corpses. There are no Moratory. Merely five men in virtual reality headsets and sensory suits. As the men take off their headsets, among they start talking among themselves. The door slides open, and a man with a clipboard enters. Thanks for attending the Moratory Simulator, gentlemen. Please place your headsets in the bin to your left. The man who's seemingly in charge of the show listens with a grin as the men chatter amongst themselves, and they're saying, oh, this was much better than the last time. They added a whole bunch more garden effects. Another one says, next time I got dids on the splinter headset, that med character sucks. I can't believe <laughs> that real people signed up. This had They had to be stupid to do this. Another one says, ah, give me a break, Randy. This is my hundredth time. It's getting pretty old. The moratorium are dead as an attraction. Let's go to some dinner. I'm dying for a beer after all that. And the man running the show, you know, he watches as uh, as the four men slide out and they're sliding out of their goggles and suits. And one man is still rec- still removing his suit and he starts to make small talk with the man who's waiting patiently um, for the show to end. And the patron actually says, you look like that med guy from the game, just a little bit older. Anyone tell you that, buddy? That guy's still alive. I know they found a cure and all and they all disappeared. Seriously, but who signs up for a job just to die in a year? Man, there's no way that stuff was real. Just some social media hokum. I say, you know, pretty funny, huh? The old man tur- the old man's smile turns into a look of disappointment. Almost sadness, really. He says, yeah, I've been told that a time or two I look like med, but let me be, ke- let me be clear, young man. The characters in this game were actually real people, and those situations that you went through were all very real happenings. Those folks that you play in the games, they gave life to this planet so the planet could remain intact. So folks like you and your buddies can enjoy these little freedoms like your games. Have with some respect, huh? Now, if you don't mind, sir, we close at 9. I would like to make it home for supper on time this evening. The customer actually looks a little bit upset. Settle down, old man. You wouldn't know if you fought the war by yourself. Why don't you tell your boss to get someone who has, you know, customer service skills? No tip for you, you crooked bastard. The man with the clipboard just takes a deep breath, pushing his gangly gray hair out of his weathered face. He clips on a name badge that he was holding off wearing due to due to some self-consciousness issues. He clips it to his shirt. The name badge actually says Med. He sighs, looking at pictures on the wall as he waits for the man to leave. Of all the three generations of moratory who lost their lives with the process. And then his own fifth generation of moratory. A class of actual survivors, at least physically anyways. He smiles when he sees the photos of his friends. First is Lockshot, who went on with his life outside of the moratory process. After they found a cure, he went on to become a farmer and live off the land with his wife of 40 years. He had visited Lockshot and his family pretty faithfully the first years after the moratory uh, project ended, up to 10 years, and discover after the discovery of the cure in a dumpster not so many long ago. He remembers how happy they were first when they had kids. He had twins to be exact, two kids of which they were named, uh, he got named the godparent of. He had named them Robert and Jaylene. They had become religious and they had deep faith, that they were happy and had a zest for life. He wished he stayed more in touch with Lockshot, 
but he knew the less reminders of, you know, his time as moratory was best as Lockshot suffered from PTSD, which had crippled him for a while until he met his wife, Eileen. He was very happy for his friend, almost envious he had that peace. He smiles as he sees Flash Forward's pitcher, whose time traveling abilities actually had years made him a player on the stock market when he left the moratory process. Him and his family had become wealthy with cash before he died of cancer not long after the process. Um, and it somehow seems a little bit better than dying to some government death sentence. You know, who would have known that investing in the cruise industry and household cleaners would have just been the thing to get people quintillions in Pidea credits? Who would have known? <laughs> he would have given he would have given a he was given a lifelong pass for the flash cruise lines, but he never, ever availed of it. The group had always felt guilt ridden for what they had done, left his friend to die, despite not being force field and understanding that flash forwards powers were his ability to flash forward several minutes and alter the past. He had given himself a warning that he was about to die and actually prevented his own death. Hence his name flash forward, I guess. And he had the solace that his friend did not die that particular day. Then he walks past Forcefield's picture. Well, he was the one guy who made being moratorial living. He never left the Pidea, see? He still works doing something with the government, despite his old age, which he is proud of, you know. Most of his work, he doesn't talk about these days. He's more of a ceremonial figure, an ambassador of sorts, really. Uh, the government had all but buried the moratorium program and went out of their way to dial back on the public face of the battle with the aliens. It's almost like they didn't want to make it seem like it ever happened. Five years after, uh, five years after they burned the memories of those who had lived during that time, he still talks about Force Field on their class anniversary every year. It's almost like an obligation, but he still appreciates the video call every single year. He even received a slab copy of the Last Stand of the Red Watch comic that details their own class's adventure, which he got home as a gift. He doesn't look at it, but he's still proud it exists. He walks by a picture of Dreamscape, who after the moratorium experiment decided to build a virtual reality business, which actually pays Med's bills to this very day. Red actually went back to Russia, and he hadn't heard much from him since the last time they had a, they had a Strike Force moratorium convention about 15 years ago. He is sad that he is sad that the public cares so much about the real people who actually sacrificed their lives. He wished his retirement was actually different and still enjoys the moment when someone recognizes him. As he looks around his plan to watch the next group of virtual reality simulator customers in the morning, he's glad that the day is finally over. He doesn't have to worry about tomorrow. He begins to feel a little bit tired, especially after all day, and decides to sit down at his desk. His tiredness begins to turn into burning and aching of his joints. He actually drops his clipboard. His hands actually begin to glow. This time, he actually smiles. He takes one last look at his friends in the photos, and he rubs his hands together. And he almost seems like he's washing his hands, successfully stopping the glow. Even years after, after the cure was found, he still gets flares, but they are more or less a reminder now to him. After two minutes, he is fine again. He gets up from his chair, walks towards the exit, of the mock virtual lab, which is full of Hordian props and animatronics designed for the experience, including the looming Thunderfist animatronic. He marvels at how accurate it actually is. He smiles to it and repeats the same line that he does every evening before close. See you on the battlefield again tomorrow, old boy. And grins as the machine, deathly still and cold, just looks on. Just the way he likes it. He walks to the door, initiates the alarm, takes one more look around, Turns the lights off. The end.
Very, very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Almost, thank you. Almost brought a tear to my eye. That was uh, <laughs> very touch. I was more touching than I was I was expecting. And uh, and I made sure not to peek at it. So uh, this was all fresh to me. Very, very go, good. Brother. Good. Very, very good. I love it. Um, I, I I hope the fans, uh, the listeners don't mind, uh, you know, the swerve. But uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it uh, actually no, happened. That's it the all thing. actually happened. So that's it. All uh, actually happened. So it's not a virtual reality uh, thing where they're, uh, you know, you wake up and Bobby Ewing is in the shower. We don't get this. <laughs> no, no, very, very good, very, very good stuff. Love it, love it. Um, but we do have a, uh, you know, the other story to get into today, and that is Strike Force Moratorium number seventeen. Oh, we're that. still in 1988. This is April 1988 cover date. The story is called Dot 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 Breeds Monsters. Written by Peter B. Gillis with art by Scott Williams. Hell yes, hmm. man. This guy did a great job in this oh, issue. Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about more as we go through. Absolutely. I was gonna I was gonna heighten the suspense a little bit. Uh, he, oh, we sorry. saw him last. <laughs> what I meant to say was I wonder how Scott wonder. Williams makes out on this hmm. issue. <laughs> <laughs> we last saw him as I believe uh, Will Spertasio's inker. Um, but now he gets the the whole you know the whole shebang of the uh, of the design job here, and uh, yes he he does a very very good job. Um, letters Phil Felix, colors Max Scheel, edits Carl Potts, chief Tom DeFalco. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Cover price one dollar US, one two five can, and forty p's in the UK. Uh, on sale date December 1, 1987. Now we have a solicitation, and it uh, really doesn't spoil anything, so we probably don't have to worry about saving it to the end here. It reads Is the government betraying the moratory heroes they created? Strike Force Moratory discovers that the truth behind the government's stonewalling, stonewalling is even more devastating. Not only is the government secretly creating a new moratory base, they plan to populate it with a new generation of moratory warriors. Trouble is, this new moratory-making process, quote, breeds monsters. Mm, boy, do it, uh, boy, does it ever in this issue. Can't wait. Absolutely. Yes, we uh, we met one of those monsters uh, last issue uh, at the very, very end. Uh, sent that bolt of lightning, you know, that made it seem like, uh, what's his face, Deguchi. Yes. Uh, fried the super hordians. So we will. Uh, we're actually going to get the nitty gritty on all of them here. All of the monsters. There will be more. Um, now the cover. I, I think this is one that we don't agree on. I don't like it very much. Uh, I don't care for it. Uh, it's basically the team stood before a glowing door, and in the doorway are some sort of globby looking monsters. Yeah, you know what? It looks like a. Uh, it reminds me of like a VHS movie cover from back in the eighties. You know, when you always had the glowing door. You know, what is behind the door was always like a a huge selling point, especially in horror at the time. Sure. Uh, one of the things to note on this cover, and I I usually inspect the covers in pretty good pretty good detail. And of note is the cover box. The cover. Oh, the, the corner. Literally yeah. the corner box. Yeah. So up in the corner. You get to see Pilar, she's flying, and you get to see the floating heads of, you know, some of the cast around her, okay? Which is which is pretty normal, until you see that Louie's head is still there despite having <laughs> died two issues ago. Like, seriously, bro, who edits this? <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that it's still there, don't get me wrong. I, I, I've got affinity for my uh, my version of Moratory, so. For now, sure. what I like about the cover is that the Moratory are actually drawn pretty well, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, this, like they, I they are. This is Potasio, too. 
Oh, really? Well, he did. A, he passed you a cover. Yeah. Yeah, he did a good job on this, actually. And oh, it's, no, no, it is Scott Williams. I'm sorry. Yes, okay. it is Scott Williams. Yes. I was going to say, like, Brava looks really good. You got to see Deguchi. He looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I will point out, and I <laughs> and I love this, and especially in old comic book ads, always loved when things were miscolored. You know what yes. I mean? Like, especially old Star Wars action figure ads. You know, you'd have Han Solo, and all of a sudden he's got a blue vest on and half mm. blonde hair. And you know what I mean? It was just <laughs> crazy stuff that was going on. But anyway, we get to see Sheer here who's front and center and he's actually got nice light brown hair not yeah. a not a flicker of black hair his white streak is completely gone like did they run out of black or something or <laughs> is this is this from like I, I tried to justify it i said okay maybe it's the light shining from the door and it's just brightened him and his clothing or whatever the case might be but i think i was giving him too much credit to be honest with you yeah yeah the, the no prize is in the mail because this is they did they just messed it up <laughs> yeah they, they screwed it up they don't even have a clue that that was even sheer I would imagine. But anyway, <laughs> the bottom of the page seems to have a words and it's in this white text box and it says the next generation. It's got this really, really stupid exclamation point. Now, Giant expl- exclamation yes. point. And yeah. I mean, as you saw from the last couple issues, they've been definitely someone definitely had a Macintosh computer and they were toying around with font. <laughs> There was no doubt. Now they didn't use the the gradient filter this time, which I was which I was happy that they didn't use yes. last time. But uh, you know the cover itself is okay. But the next generation tagline, which is um, which is interesting at the time because this actually came out in what 1987, you say December 1st? Yes. Well, guess what was just hit the airwaves at this time? Hmm. I wonder. Star Trek <laughs> The Next Generation had just debuted in September 28, 1987, so okay. the, the words The Next Generation was all the buzz at this time. Hmm. I, I thought maybe Degrassi The Next Generation started. Oh, well, that too. I guess not. No, <laughs> that, that was far, far later. Yeah, that was, that was, that was like closer to the 90s, bro, I think. But that was like 2002 or something, yeah. Oh, The Next Generation? No, yeah. I was thinking new general. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know what you're. Yeah, talking. the with the where where Snake and uh, what's her what's his face, uh, Spike or you know getting married or whatever and <laughs> all that silly stuff there. Uh, we Man. finally got to see Joey and Caitlin together for five minutes where they weren't fighting. It was good well, times. We so got to do a Degrassi podcast, but anyway, I, I digress. Yes, we do moratory, <laughs> we moratory, do. <laughs> stay focused. <laughs> <clears throat> moratory time. Okay, yes. Now, as mentioned, last issue. Uh, some stuff went down with a monster and a lightning bolt, and we pick up right after that. We're still in the same ghost town, where it appears as though Will Gucci was able to wipe out all of the Super Hordians by his lonesome. And a part about this that I love is that uh, the rest of the team is like, like instead of being celebratory that, that you know, they think Will took out the, te- the, the baddies here, they figure like, uh-oh, he just flared up. He just had a power surge, which means the process is probably catching up to him. Yep, exactly. Which I love that as a reaction because it's it goes totally against the nor the ordinary knee jerk reaction. It's like great success actually means something different to the moratory recruits. It's like, uh oh, <laughs> he did yeah, too no good. No, oh yeah, no good point. You think yeah, as soon as someone like flares up and gets mega powered, you're like, uh oh, here comes yep. the end of days for you, brother. Exactly. Uh, now, Deguchi assures them that this wasn't his power at all. He doesn't know how it happened. He's not sure of any of this, but uh, he thinks it probably would behoove them to find out exactly what actually went down. Exactly. So uh, he, I think Deguchi is a little bit unlike 
someone like Radian who would take full advantage of this particular thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just took down those horde myself. Thank you for asking. <laughs> He's like blowing on his fingernails like, yep, yep got this one. <laughs> I took them out. Thank you. Uh, anyway, I like to focus on Deguchi here, actually. Yeah. And, and we've done our share of trash and the douche, I guarantee you, in this uh, in these episodes. But uh, they finally focused on him almost in a leadership role. And we're the voice of reason here, which is interesting, to say the least. I'm glad he actually took the time to explain the events of last issue because, you know, it's, I remember saying that it was a little odd that the issue ended during the course of battle from a scream that happened from miles away in a laboratory. You know what I mean? I thought it was a bit of a cop-out. Yeah, but when, sure. they, when they used it to say that, you know, they thought it was Deguchi who actually did it, I thought that was a pretty cool out on that. You know, it came from, a you know, the moratory lab where they were building moratory recruits in a in a secret laboratory. And one of these moratory monsters, which we'll get to meet a little bit later, actually sent that bolt of shock out and mentally fried the Hordian. So, you know, you got the old douche uh, was about to take credit for it, but he owned up to it really, really quick. So it's kind of cool. But it's it also one thing that it does. And I always like to pick on plot threads. Mm-hmm. And especially this one. So many issues ago, they had conversations where, you know, moratory process leader, you know, Dr. Tulima uh, was told by head up of the moratory officials that he was to stop everything, all his research and everything, shut it down and build a full army of adepts, which are basically analyzer moratories who can, you know, read Hordian tech, who can analyze power, strengths. Uh, you know, everything or everything around them. So they were they were basically going to build an army of analyzers. It seems that they've gone another direction, because if they're building people with mental abilities similar to Will Deguchi, then there's something else. They're not just building analyzers. They're definitely working on some different powers here, whether it works or not. For sure. For sure. Yeah, it's very uh, it, it feels like it's getting darker every single time here where <laughs> they're yeah, getting no doubt. Yeah, the, the Padilla, the Padilla are getting like more and more depraved and uh, and like hungry for these very very specified powers it's it's very interesting stuff um which you know Deguchi has picked up on because he feels like the Padilla have been maybe a little too sketchy for a little too long and yep. uh maybe it's time for them to go find out what's going on at that plastic pipe plant that uh <laughs> wink, that is wink. nearby yes uh hard case you know he we you know we learned last time that he was a west point cadet he's uh not really all that keen on going against orders. And he makes sure that the team knows that he's like, Hey, you know, I don't feel comfortable going against orders. Uh, this might not be the best course of action. Uh, you know, scaredy cat Pilar steps up and, uh, backs up Will Deguchi's notion. He, she's like, she's like, no, Will's right. We need to, we need to figure out what's going on here before we, before we make another move. And then Brava, <laughs> the jackass Brava go, she, she's like, settle down little one to, to scaredy cat. It's like, Come on, you're bra- You've been a moratory for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's like it's it's like telling your significant other to calm down. That stuff never works. Settle down, yeah. <laughs> yeah settle down. That never that never works. But I tell you what, I like the I like the tension between the two generations, like the yes. second and third gen here. I think the difference between the last two generations, when Generation One started, and Generation Two came in, there was like an uneasy vibe. The two, you know, there was a cautious relationship. Yeah. However. The difference here is that Generation 2 and Generation 3 are almost combative and almost disrespectful to each other, which we yeah. didn't get to see with the first two generations. So, you know, it's it's like the the third, ver, you know, the third incarnation of the Moratoria, more or less, you know, we're, we're better, bigger, better, badder creations, and we don't have to listen to, you know, the, the past recruits. So when we see Brava disrespecting Pilar here, and then you see Sheer, who shows outright, outright disrespect, 
uh, disrespect, I should say, to the other generation too. You know, you got a you got a bit of a melting pot going on here, man. For sure. Some fireworks and I mean, in, in amongst the, the the brass. Yeah, and I mean, and Sheer killed Louis. <laughs> Shared his heart. Yep, literally. <laughs> I Ouch. mean, yeah. The the uh, the second generation to the first generation was like an awe and respect and uh, and almost a fear. If you remember when we when they first met each other on that uh, on that like aircraft carrier, uh, they were scared to come over and even introduce themselves. They're just like, oh, those yep. are the heroes, and we're just we're just nothing. We're new characters here. So they were. Boy, yeah, Gen Gen three don't certainly feel that way though. Do not. They they, came, they Gen three came in, kicked in the door, tipped over the furniture, and <laughs> is making this their own. It's uh it's pretty interesting. Um, the uh the dichotomy between the uh, generations here. Now, uh, Brava. You know, after telling uh, Scaredy Cat to settle down, turns to backhand and they start laughing, uh, not about Scaredy Cat, but about how they thought this was going to be so much more glamorous to be a moratory warrior. And they find out that it's uh, it's even worse than real life because of all the politics involved. Yes, it's like and we just talked about this, you know. Generation two were curiosity seekers. They were into yeah. like the media's propaganda. Generation three, however, they're they're on to the whole con, you know, mm-hmm. which which begs it begs the question if they know all about this and they know what the media has been doing and twisting and, you know, uh, turning things. Why did they sign up in the beginning? Let's be quite honest. It's true. Yeah. If if the if the fix in it is in and the spin is, you know, known among them, then there's really no intrinsic reason why they would ever. You sacrifice their lives for this. It's uh, right, yeah, it, you know, you, you, you fool one generation of people into signing up for this big experiment, but when you see things go bad and it's out in the media, you know, by the time Generation Three rolls around, these people are on to the con, man. So fool mm, them three times, the joke's on them or something. Right? <laughs> uh, now, now realizing that they're just as at odds with their superiors on the Padilla as they are with the actual horde. The group ultimately does come around to the idea that maybe we should check into this pipe plant, you know. Um, as they run off, uh, the moratory appear to be subtly infected with, like, these odd tiny little spores yep. that have sprung from the, the, the corpses of the super horde that, uh, that were shocked at the end of last, ep- last issue. And this is a detail that I actually missed uh, the first time I read this. Uh, you asked me about... What I thought about the spores, and I was like, what spores? I didn't even notice it. That's how subtle this is. Yeah, so so I read digitally mostly on this stuff. So every single panel is usually enhanced, you know what I mean? So I get okay. to see the raw panel. So if I'm flipping through just a comic book page, this is some of the stuff that I would miss. But I'm getting to see these things, you know, literally lit up on their boots and sticking to their legs and different things like that. And I'm like, what are these spore things? And I love the explanation that you gave because, because you know, I thought it was just going to be a throwaway plot point that they were going to get to or not get to. But you said they could be trackers of sorts, which makes all all the sense in the world when you think about it. We haven't yeah. even seen this in past issues. I mean, no. it seems... Seems like the hordes, you know, they continue to mutate in their abilities, but uh, you know, they're experimenting on themselves now, which is you know even a more interesting spin. So it seems like they're having a little bit more luck than Earth scientists, though, because they're actually making stuff work here. Yeah, and, and they're out in the open about it. <laughs> they're yep, not they hiding are, yes. things in, no. in, in fake factories. Uh, <laughs> no. Here you, here you, gentle inquirer, get in this machine. We're gonna try this out. Again. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Yes. <laughs> Take my backhand. Um, now, uh, we shift scenes to the moratory super train. Where, yes! Uh, <laughs> do you ever hear of the uh, the old TV show, Super Train? No, I haven't. Sounds good, though. 
it was uh, I guess it was like a show that almost bankrupted NBC uh, oh. back in like the late 70s, early 80s. I want to say it was sort of like a train version of the love boat. Oh, and uh, yeah, the entire show would take place on this super train and like stars would show up. It was it was very similar to Love Boat, but it was on a train. And uh, and I guess <laughs> I guess they wanted to like profit off of the whatever sort of notoriety Love Boat had, and uh, I think it only ran a handful of episodes because they couldn't afford to keep making it. Oh, you might call it a train wreck. <laughs> oh, a super train wreck. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, hey, listen, if- man. So, I, so I've been thinking about this, and I love the whole idea of. Um, of the super train. But anyway, Commander Yuri's doing something. What's he up to? Oh, he is uh he's watching some news reports about everything that has unfolded since the team, you know, headed west to the ghost town. So he's basically getting caught up and like the whole time he's sitting there he's like, "Oh man, my phone's about to ring." <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a lot of time on my hands and one thing that I was thinking about is what a Strike Force Moratory toy line would have actually looked like back in 1988. Mm-hmm. Just imagine Imagine sitting back, you're a kid, you're in the 80s, you're right at the heights of toy buying chaos, and you open up the Sears Wish Book, and inside you see a full page dedicated to Strike Force Moratory and how cool this would be. Just oh, imagine yeah. just imagine making like the Moratory Super Train set. I would be all over that, man. <laughs> yes. Like, what pieces would you think would make an essential Moratory toy line? Like, is there anything that comes off your off the top of your head I've, I've included a few things here in the notes but is there anything that you would you would personally put in here um you know let's go through yours here because i i wanted to be surprised by your suggestion okay. so I, right. I don't want to repeat anything that you're saying <laughs> <laughs> so as a gi joe fan i'm a i'm a huge vehicle person okay so mm-hmm. these guys got to have a super cool vehicle so yes. i wanted to start with the moratory striker hypersonic jet now this thing would have jet sounds it would have launching missiles and of course it always got to come with a wicked figure. So it comes with like a variant Robert Pilot type oh. of action figure, right? And you know what this has to come with? It has to come with one of those like spring-loaded things, like a, like a little thing you can – like almost like a like a trebuchet or a catapult. Yes, so you yes. Can put, you could put Harold on the catapult, hold it down, and then have him launch himself toward toward the jet like they do in the, in the company. Oh, you all have to jump into the, into, the, into the jet. <laughs> they got to do the leap. That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> all figures should have spring-loaded legs with leaping ability. <laughs> At least Gen 1, anyway. Yes. Uh, the other thing I thought of was like a moratory lab. Now, th- this is more kiddish. So if you're if you're dumbing it down for uh, for kids of a certain age, this I wanted to do the low stuff. Yes, yeah. I wanted to do the moratory labs Play-Doh set where you can actually make new moratory Moratory recruits in like those little mold things. What do you think of that? Love it. Love it. Yes. Now for the action <laughs> figures, you cannot go without having like action play sets. So yes. if you're doing Generation One, which would be the first line, I would always think of like the Hordian Chocolate Factory attack play set. <laughs> now this thing would come with like a Hordian soldier, the whole exploding wall thing that you put back together every time it's spring loaded when like a bomb goes off or something. So I was thinking oh, about that. Yeah. Of course. And there's got to be, there's actually got to be some, we got to have a bunch of doors that you can open that just just open to like a sticker of the horde that you put in there because the horde are hiding behind every single door. Perfect. I hope someone's (laughs) listening to this. We got to make this. Then you got to do the Hordian Battlecruiser playset. So this got to be like the the big bad guy playset, okay? Comes Mm -hmm. with a Hordian commander and, of course, a special good guy figure. So it comes with another Robert figure in in a silver battle armor. 
Okay. Uh, so, you know, like a bigger one. But it also has a special process glow ability. So he actually dies, too. <laughs> oh, so you put him, you, you like, you hold him up to the light bulb. Yep. And, and then charges. you turn the light out and and he glows. Yes, it's perfect. <laughs> and of course, if you buy all those things, then you can mail away with two proofs of purchase to get the Beth Neon mail away figure. <laughs> oh boy, like the Emperor in, uh, from Star Wars. Yes. Uh, and she can come with like a pack of seeds that you could uh, you could plant in your garden. <laughs> I love it. Now the action figure, which is the the actual base of this entire thing, because I'm an action figure guy, sure. and I was doing some uh, some dumpster diving in my basement here today, and I uncovered some great stuff. I found a whole <laughs> jacked up box of vintage figures that I was that I intend to fully sift through, and I'll actually post some of that stuff on Twitter a little bit later, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man, did I find some stuff in there. I found some G.I. <laughs> Joe, some Star Wars, Ghostbusters. Uh, my God, what else? Uh, X-Men figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, you name it. There was a ton of stuff that I found in there and tons of stuff to share. So anyway, what a Strike Force moratory toy line would look like. The action figures, of course, would start with Harold, which includes mm-hmm. like a kicking action. That's what okay. I thought of. But his accessory is also <laughs> the last stand of the Black Watch comic book. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, – oh, boy. Those um... – you know those dolls that like the girls would have where like like their hair would grow and like you'd yeah. in order to like make their hair grow you'd like put the arm up and down and it would like almost crank <laughs> the hair out of their head. Yes. We do that for Harold for that weird little front thing he had going on. Oh yes. Where it just where you crank the arm and like the hair just comes out the front of his head. The so front braid. That would be yes, perfect. For sure. <laughs> that would be excellent. Then you move on. We have Radian. Now, he's got glowing lights on his hands and, of course, a video comm device so he can talk to the Horde and reveal their secrets. (laughs) (laughs) You you pull the lever on his back and he drops to his knees because he's he's always just given up. He's always (laughs) submitting all the time. (laughs) Then you've got Snapdragon. Now, her her whole powers is she shoots plasma blasts, so she has little projectiles that fit in her wrist. So she has a little wrist device, little things you press. You press a button on her hand and it shoots plasma blasts. Perfect. That's Perfect. Snapdragon. Uh, Blackthorn has magnetic hands and has power. And as soon as she attaches to something, you hear the molecular bond melting sound. Like very cool. Love it. Kind of cool. You get adept. Her Does eyes. Does she come glow. with a baby? Does she come with like a, a baby belly? Oh, that is perfect. We got to do it <laughs> with complete with baby accessory. <laughs> Bastard child. No I'm kidding. <laughs> You get uh, you get a depth. Now her eyes glow when she touches things, so she analyzes. So you get the analyzation sound, and she mm-hmm. also comes with her favorite accessory, the Bible. <laughs> yes, she needs nothing. It. Nothing wrong with that. Now you may have to alter it because you know you don't want people getting sensitive in the market and dropping these figures. So it could be That's her true. religious reference guide. We'll call it. Maybe, yeah, it's just a spiritual uh, pamphlet, yeah. a spiritual yeah. guidebook. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. And then you get <laughs> Marathon. Of course, he has punching action similar mm-hmm. to uh, a superpowers figure so you press die press his legs like that uh so you showed me uh when we we're on twitter today you found a wolverine figure and you die yes. press his legs and he sort of flexes like hulk hogan mm-hmm. it's really <laughs> weird i was thinking for marathon you have him like the uh, the first line of x-men toys had that colossus that that his he was useless he would he had his hands <laughs> held down like with his hands facing up and you gave him like a giant weight, and he basically did curls. That was his I, whole thing. I, he lifted. Do, I do actually own Colossus. So in another oh, box, too, yeah. somewhere yeah. I have Colossus. Yeah, he does. He's got those open hands, and I guess it was for that big uh, barbell thing you had. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's all he did. So we could do that for Robert. And uh, I think like to let the kids do a little bit of cosplay, we put like a giant M face <laughs> tattoo. 
that they can like lick on and stick on over their face. Let it sit there for like five minutes, pull it off, and they are Robert. That is perfect. <laughs> and of course, of course, you already got the commander because he came he came only with the Hordian battle cruiser. So you also got to have a couple of different henchmen. So you got two Hordian foot soldiers with different weapon accessories and laser blasting accessories. So they're different. And of course, they'll be repainted and changed around and called something else about seven or eight different times. So those two. <laughs> Hordian figures will be repainted and resold as as different hordes. So there you go. That's my version, and I hope somebody's listening who creates toys because that would make an amazing Strike Force Moratory Generation one mm-hmm. playset. There you go. Oh, for sure, I love, love it. it. Oh, that is love that it. Is awesome stuff here. It it reminds me of like the only scene from V that I remember, which is the kids playing with the V toys. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I remember seeing that on screen and going, "Oh my God, I got to find these toys." And yes. of course, they never appeared they in didn't exist. in uh, North America that, anyway. That's right. They came out. Uh, what was it? Brazil. Brazil. Germany. Okay. I think it was. I think it might. Be, now, don't quote me, but it was definitely overseas, mm-hmm. and they had, but they weren't fully articulated. So I think okay. they could they could move their arms, but there was definitely extreme limits to the figures. I don't know if wow. they were similar to a Star Wars figure where you could just mm-hmm. move the move the legs and move the Up arms only. Yeah. yeah, I think that might be it. But anyway, I digress. Interesting. I think Interesting. that's a bit of fun. For sure, for sure. Yeah, well, that that would be that would be really fun to see uh, a Strike Force Moratory uh, action figure set. If only anybody was like clear on who had the rights to it. Eh? <laughs> Every time they try <laughs> to make something about it, people are arguing who owns it. But uh. <laughs> Whatever the case, back to the story, we are on board the Super Train with Yuri, and uh, as we mentioned, he's afraid he's going to get a phone call, and he is not mistaken. Uh, He assures the Padilla bigwigs that he hasn't told the Moritori anything, uh, but he warns that uh, those those recruits, they're neither robot nor soldier, so uh, it's kind of to say that they they are human with curiosities that are likely going to get the better of them. Uh, and, you know, they're not going to just fall in line. And he prays, even though he's not a praying man, that Dr. Tulima doesn't get wind of any of what's about to happen. We haven't seen Tulima in a little while. Was he in the past couple issues? I think we just saw a video call from him. Oh, yes. Uh, right. Or yes, a recording right. of a video call. So we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen him in a while. But what we did hear was that uh, the Generation 2 uh, cadets uh, actually still keep some sort of regular contact with them. We just haven't been privy to it. Uh, from here, we jump into space and uh, we jump into the Hordian Expeditionary Fleet. And that's where we see our main man, Thundercrush, where he has assembled the VIPs of the organization to watch the defeat of Strike Force Moratori. And uh, you might imagine after the results of last issue, he's been left with quite a bit of egg on his face because yes, sir. his super Hordians were crushed. And uh, we learn here that those uh, testicles that doth hang from the Hordian <laughs> chins might actually be grosser than actual testicles. They are uh, actually throat sacks. Ah, mm-hmm. man. But just the word sacks. There's just something filthy about that word. It's, I don't know yeah. what it is. It's, it's, it's yeah. It's, it's, it's that one feature about the Horde that is just absolutely disturbing. I mean, mm. you have these these odd-shaped pear-like heads, and then they have these two giant bowling ball-sized testicles for chins. It is really odd. But what's they're funny veiny. About, they're oh, veiny. They're yeah. veiny. <laughs> it's like they're they're in full throb mode or something. They but anyway. are. Yeah, they, he's got blue chins. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... Uh, well, and what's interesting, it seems like the higher up in the ranks you go, the bigger your testicles get. Not even a joke. No, seriously, seriously, you're right. 
You are yeah. right. <laughs> it's yeah. rich, really. I don't know how they uh, they play it out. I don't know how they measure that, but and their look, <laughs> their their look has morphed a million times from issue to issue. It's like there's yeah. not a consistency issue, but I think that it's intentional. So you know, from issue to issue, they got you know by God grosser. You need to make them more like give them a little bit more sack. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. It, it it is there is definitely something going on visually with them for sure it's uh and it is not pleasant to look at especially when you notice the veins it's oh. mm. <clears throat> not a veiny guy oh no no nothing to you know, look at the vascularity of those chins <laughs> uh now the uh the man thunder crush he rises from his seat and he basically is walking around this uh this room looking for someone to hit <laughs> He just wants to hit somebody. He's like, he's like, why I ordering everybody? Um, the gentle inquirer, he stands up and he decides he'll take one for the team. And he allows himself to get slapped silly for a little bit. And uh, after Thundercrush is, you know, satisfied with slapping him around, he walks away and we see the gentle inquirer uh, smiling. Uh, he seems very happy that he took this beating, which makes us feel like he might have some sort of a plan. Yeah, hmm. just listen, there's nothing more liberating than having a plan, man. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever had a backup plan, but I, I remember like in real life, mm-hmm. you know, one of my workplaces, it was like, it was starting to get a little bit miserable about here because, you know, there were some corporate changes, some scheduling differences, new tasks and mm-hmm. just new, new ways of doing things. And it just wasn't fun. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I went ahead and after several years, I went and got myself a new job. Oh. And brother, I tell you, but the thing was that job didn't start for another two months. So I sort of had to still infiltrate my current company and just hang tight till my <laughs> other job started. Sure. But I will tell you what, those two months that I stayed with that company, I took zero shit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I left on time. I was happy to the point that people thought I was mental. It was perfect workplace bliss. I mean, literally five o'clock would come. I w- didn't matter what I was doing. It was drop it all, zip up the coat and out the door. And people were like, what just happened? <laughs> and I would come. I would come and I wouldn't even make an excuse for it the next day. Hey, how you doing, Chris? Great. And I grabbed my clipboard and head right to the floor again. The, uh, the lame duck portion, yes, where you're it's just riding out the clock. Um, <laughs> so good. As for real life, um, I was working on a government contract uh, about about ten ten or so years ago, and uh, it was a huge project where uh, we were dependent on a very archaic sort of a sort of a computerized system here, or very maybe not so much archaic, but a system that uh, not everybody was comfortable with, and so. As we worked, I kept physical backups of everything um, because I don't trust – I didn't trust – every every backup plan I've ever come up with is basically because I'm cynical and uh, distrusting of everything. Listen, so you, can't, I, you cannot be too uh, too trustworthy in 2020, sir. You got to – that was a good – that was a good point. It's true. So I, I kept physical uh, copies of everything. And uh, so like my, my little you know office space was uh, just full of data and – you know, people are like, oh, why, why are you holding on to this stuff? I'm like, ah, just, just, you know, just holding on to it. No big deal. And then uh, for a weekend, the uh, we had a monsoon. Uh, out here in Arizona, we have monsoons for, you know, a little bit of the summer, uh, which are big storms that Arizona is never prepared for. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we had this uh, monsoon, killed the power, uh, right in the middle of a backup. So all of the data that was being, you know, processed and sent was lost. Oh. And uh, 
Yes, uh, which really would have hurt our quality rating on this project had I not kept physical copies of everything. And uh, Bam, so bingo. Yes. So like that that Monday I came in and uh, they're like, oh, we, we lost all the data for the past two weeks. I'm like, no, we didn't. I got it. They're like, well, no, 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 we don't have it. I'm like, no, I have it right here. It's it's I everything here is physical. All we have to do is reenter. And uh, and I and, and I think that might be the closest I've ever been to getting kissed by a man. So that was. You don't uh, want to be too good, Chris. We're, we're depending. <laughs> Listen, that's all good, brother. <laughs> Whatever. But uh, that was uh, that was my, one of my backup plans that actually worked. And then all of a sudden, everybody started keeping physical backups of everything. So worked out really well. Worked Look out really at you, well. the super planner. Mm-hmm. Uh, if only I was on the super train, it would be all good. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, back to the story. We're in Monument Valley, which uh, I guess is right outside that ghost town where that plastic piping plant is. And uh, Pilar and Silencer, they're, they're staking out the plant in silence. <laughs> Ooh, yay. Um, moments later, they're joined by the rest of the team, which begs the question, why did they bother to split up in the first place? We got a case of the writing blues here, man. There probably was a lunch break or a week <laughs> off. And you know what it is when you're when you're writing an epic blog post or something and you just forget where you left off or you, or you just leave it for a while and you come back to it. And all of a sudden, <laughs> probably, you know, yeah. yeah, if you didn't refresh yourself on where you were and just pick up where you think you were. Chances are you're writing the same stuff over again. And I've done that a million times where I've started and stopped a blog post and I just pick up and start typing, you know what I mean, without rereading what I had done previously. And all of a sudden I've got the same content in like three different paragraphs because of my start <laughs> and stop. You're like, oh, God. Now, I'm not a super editor, but I guarantee you that's probably what happened here. Could be for sure. Um, now, they, they put this plan together, right? Now, now, stop us if you heard this one before, but they have a plan in which they can use their powers in tandem. Shut your mouth. <laughs> that almost never happens in this book. Ever. Now, we, we do shift inside the plant where the geeks inside, are, they get an alert that, that there are some, you know, there are something, there's something approaching. Initially, they fear that it's the Horde, but find out it's something far worse. It's actually Strikeforce Moratori coming for them. Now, the commander inside this plastic piping plant is uh, kind of beside himself. But deep down, he knows that whatever punishment they're about to get, they deserve. It's amazing how easy the moratory actually get into this compound. I mean, <laughs> you think about issues one and two where we saw like the moratory headquarters. I mean, they had to isolate a full team of like rookie recruits from, you know, yeah. from getting out. Now, they did manage to escape, but with great difficulty. But yet this compound where they're building top secret moratory is, you know, easily breached. I mean, you get literally these guys just break in without any failure. And it's, you know, it's just it's just super. It's not even funny how quick they get in. It doesn't even make sense. It's true. It's true here because, uh, you know, as the team approaches the base, uh, the, the building's defenses activate. Right. So it's like. You know, the little laser pistols and all this stuff just comes out of the building. And uh, remember, our team is acting in tandem, so they make very short work of the incoming ballistics and whatnot here. Uh, some examples, backhand deflects the bless. It's kind of what he does. Uh, Sheer cuts through a fence. Okay. So we have a big hole in the fence. Brava then drops a boulder in the gap in the fence. Doesn't that seem what? counterproductive? I don't know what she was going for there. But anyway. Like, like did she think the fence was going to heal itself? <laughs> like do fences do that i mean all it did was put an obstacle in their way now they have to climb over a stupid boulder instead of a fence um, oh, I, want you, I want you to think about something they, they had two lasers and a fence 
did. <laughs> well done. <laughs> now, Sheer and Brava then work together to uh, cut and bash their way into the base. Uh, all the while, Silencer uh, keeps them silent. I always tried to figure out when we first talked about this character and her da- silent, you know, her um, her audio dampening abilities. I always thought it was, you know, the worst power. But this is the first time where the light bulb went off with me and I was like, mm. OK, it finally makes sense. So if they're trying to sneak into a place, she can, you know, dampen all their all their movements and all their sounds. Sure. So that's kind of good. She can stop alarms, the sound of alarms from going off. She can stop, you know, disabling noise. So, you know, if you're in a, uh, you know, how they try to flush people out with loud music and different things like that. She's got the ability to shut all that down. Now, I know it's a stretch, but finally, for once, she actually has a use, (laughs) which, you know, and by issues in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She'll be doing more for sure. But it's like it is the first time that we've seen her use her power where it's not an instant eye roll. It's like (laughs) it's like, okay, make that corner of the room silent. Got it. It's like. Well, great. Thank you. Wonderful. But we uh, see there's a, there's a whole lot more to the silencer at the end of this is. issue. So that's good. Absolutely. Now, once inside, Toxin, if you remember Ruth, she actually is still part of this team and she is with us on this mission. Uh, not that you would know it from any other scene, but this one. Uh, she she spits into each of her teammates' hands. And uh, so basically, if they're confronted by anybody, it's, you know, this toxic nasty loogies in their hands they can slap the people and put them to sleep for a bit yeah i I thought it was pretty genius at the beginning but then i was like wouldn't this just this dissolve into people and just blood poison them or something i don't know just saying and like they'd be walking with like one hand like colossus's action figure just like an open (laughs) palm it's like so it doesn't is that spit in your hand? Is that spit or are you just happy to see me? Yes. <laughs> Will DeGucci is uh, kind of our point man here. He's got his sensory power, so he's leading them to whatever it has, whatever it is that's been, you know, calling out to him. Whatever thing he is sensing, he is leading the way. And uh, they arrive in front of some of the workers of the plant, and they are pretty much uh, frozen in place, scared stupid. They didn't even have to be slapped with the uh, toxic spit. Nope. Um, now, the team does notice that the technology that, are there, that is being used and employed at this plant is very familiar to them. So uh, maybe the jig's just about up. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Will guides the team to a giant door. Uh, fake Harold attempts to overwhelm its electric defenses with his powers, but gets shocked so hard he gets dropped to his bottom. Uh, Brava decides she doesn't have time for any such finesse and just muscles the thing up. Just to think about think about these new recruits for a second. You know, they're essentially just replacements for the people who died. You know what I mean? More or less, huh? Yeah. So you got Brava, you know, the strong one. I mean, she basically replaces Marathon, who has like the big strength. So then you got like Backhand, who is literally Harold slash Viking. A hundred percent. Like he's literally that character. Mm-hmm. Same powers. He actually looks like him, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Then you got Silencer, who's our adept, or, you know, I don't want to use the term token black character, but you know what I mean. She's the sure. she's the uh, African-American character with the, with unusual powers, you know what I mean? And yeah. not unusual and non, non-traditional powers, I will say. So, or, or almost like a, like passive power. Or, or yes. What's, what's the... Uh, What's pacifist powers? Yes, that's exactly what it is. And then you got Sheer. Well, I haven't figured him out. Sheer is just well, <laughs> just Sheer. <laughs> but what about Wildcard? Uh, <laughs> oh, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> we will. Now, inside, you know, the door is up. Okay, so inside and behind this door, this is the first door that opens where it's not the horde behind it. 
this is actually where they see a, per, a, a peculiar looking group of moratory monsters. And, but it still uh, goes with the trend that there's still monsters behind the door. So they haven't broken the yes. broken their own rule. Yes, there's just an asterisk there. It's just it's all good. Um, now we actually get, and this is a break in format for uh, for this title. Uh, we get two full page spreads of this reveal, and this is amazingly well done here. The first spread focuses on the monsters, so we're seeing these monsters who just look like they are in such misery and pain. The next page is like from the monsters' point of view, seeing our moratory team. And the looks of shock on their face. Yep. And uh, and while while this you know this is Scott Williams who did an, a wonderful wonderful job. I, I part of me still wishes uh, we had Brenda Anderson on this one. Yeah, I got to say, but I tell you what, Scott actually manages to pull this off. You know, For Brent sure. Anderson in this series always had that one page where he captures epic emotion and just has this mm-hmm. amazing panel where you're, it's it just jumps off the page as lifelike. Now, Williams here, his artwork is intentionally grotesque. You know, it's sympathetic, if we'll say. You get to feel the pain of these monsters. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, if we can't have Anderson, I'll gladly take Williams. Uh, his, char- his characters are a little bit different, though. He goes for a more uh, basic superheroic look, you know what I mean? A more traditional sense. Like Brent Anderson always went for like a very defined, unusual face. He didn't go for like the chiseled jaw of a Superman, you know what I mean? He put someone with a big nose. He gave someone like weird eyes and weird hair, you know what I mean? He wasn't mm-hmm. afraid to go unconventional with his character drawings. But it seems like Williams actually takes these characters and gives them a basic superhero look. So he sort of brings a more mainstream and look. I mean, take a look at um, Sheer, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. Sheer Sheer loses his Seth Rollins big nose thing, and he just sure. sort of looks like like a superhero dude, Sheer. Yeah, yeah. with floppy hair, yeah. Yeah, you got Pilar's. Like, Pilar usually has this weird cat look. She, like, she has the big cat-like yes. hair and yep. the eyes. And, I mean, even Hardcase, who I always said looked like a pedo, you know, he sort of looks like more, <laughs> more of a hero here. You know, it, it's a fun look, and I and I actually I really do like it. But you know, I still prefer the unusual charactery style of Anderson. But uh, no real complaints, man. This book feels like comfort food to me with Williams drawing it. No problem. Yeah, it definitely would take Williams every day over Wills Pertasio for sure. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now, uh, back to the story here. Deguchi approaches one of these uh, monsters here and reads its thoughts, and it begs for death. It's like, please kill me. Please yeah, kill I, me. I thought that, that's rough, man. I, I don't like yeah. seeing seeing that. But anyway, it really it really hits you. It does. It knocks you over like like a brick. Um, the, the, the team deduces that this is the sort of thing that's going to happen when the Padilla try and make moratories without Dr. Tulema's involvement. This is, uh, you know, Tulema as, you know, a mad scientist and mangly as he was, he still had a, a care for his subjects where i mean it, it's almost like even if you look at it from the the aspect of the location here dr talima worked like in a like almost like a, a physician's sort of environment yes these monsters are grown in labs you know with, where with no with no care for the for the person or just, the human being yeah, yeah. They're, they're just experiments. subjects they're just experiments a hundred percent here and uh another one of the monsters who can actually speak begs the moratory to kill them (laughs) now now, now are these laboratory created monsters or these genetically altered humans 
I believe they're humans who underwent this like experimental version of the process and it just messed with their makeup. Jesus. Yeah, that's that's kind of the impression that we're getting here because, you know, like we said, Tolima had a care for them and wanted wanted the result that comes out the other end to be something he could uh, maybe not so much be proud of, but something he can maybe sort of sleep at night with where these are just assembly line monsters, assembly line moratory. And uh, it's a uh, it's really a like a wrenching scene to see. Um, it is. Because we've we've been just so invested not only in the team but in the process now, and now we see like how it could be how something so perverted as it is could be even more perverted and dark. So very awesome scene here. Um, but the scene is interrupted because the horde alarm goes off here, and uh, it turns out the baddies are on their way. And uh, this is where I got the thought that maybe those spores uh, that that attached themselves to the moratory were kind of a kind of a way where the horde could keep track of them and like maybe follow those spores to to you know trick out where they're at i think they should have they should have at least alluded to that anyway you know what mm. i mean how did how did they find us and just show like a shot of their cap or something with a spore cut in it you know what i mean yeah. that would have been cool but anyway i think i think you're right on the money with that i think that's exactly what that was it could be it could be um now the gang heads out to the main room of the facility and our man Deguchi here, no longer a douche, <laughs> he, he confronts the commander. Uh, <laughs> and the commander ain't speaking, but he reads the commander's thoughts and he learns that uh, they feel like what they were doing was right. They're at the, the pipe plant here. Uh, you know, they created these monsters. And if they were given the opportunity to do it over again, they would. And mm. uh, upon learning that, we'll just. Beats the crap out of this son of a bitch. Yes, sir. <laughs> he he just, does. He just loses it. Heads up, demanded. The Gucci is on fire here, man. He is Love indeed. Uh, Faux Harold says, like, okay, so what's the plan now? And Gucci, he like just like slumps his shoulders and he says, now we die. This just isn't worth it anymore. It's time for us, the horde, the Padilla. Everyone just needs to die. And Yikes. it's a uh, it's pretty dark stuff here, and uh, another another page that uh, that Williams knocks out of the park, because like Deguchi, we're not used to seeing him. We're used to seeing him in various moods, but not just this sullen and just given up sort of a feel. He's um, never he's never been given a serious serious outlook. He's always no. had you know the bumbling fumbling. Sort of coolly, uh, yeah. Yeah, the guy who really didn't know how to use his powers properly, and all of a sudden he's got a full grasp of his powers. Yeah, he's in full command. He's actually taking a little bit of a leadership edge here, but man, he's uh, he's really down on himself here in this whole thing. For sure, and uh, it's Silencer who uh, actually is able to get everyone back on the same page, uh, basically by keeping everyone quiet. You know, because people <laughs> are. She's like, she's like, no, no, we need to get stuff together, and then like Sheer starts saying something, and she like snaps her fingers and's like, nope, you're quiet now. <laughs> Man, that what off. useful power that would have to be in the household. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> you have someone who's uh I'm not saying your wife now. I would never suggest such a thing. Never. But just imagine having silencing powers and someone's someone's, you know, making balls at you or something like that. You just go, Well, you're silenced. You're quiet. Yep. Bye. So, <laughs> so so silencer is basically shutting down the whole team here. It's like, nope, you don't talk now. Nope, you don't talk now. We need to get together here. We need to be you know, we just need to take care of what's going on here. And uh Right after this, everyone's sort of back on the same page. The horde bursts in, and uh, the battle is on here. Um, 
Well, actually, first, before this happens, uh, the silence here that that silencer has evoked invoked on everybody, it's broken by Will picking up some thoughts from those moratory monsters, you know, yes. uh, and these thoughts are basically a message saying, you know what, we'll help you fight the horde, we'll help you beat the horde that are coming, only, you know, if and only if the moratory promise to put us out of our misery when all said and done. And uh, which is, you know, a pretty loaded uh, proposition. Um, and uh, it turns out that these moratory monsters are true to their word here. Uh, Will and Sheer, they get into the doorway, that big doorway where the monsters were uh, locked behind here. And they channel the full power of these moratory monsters into the fake Harold. Ah. So he could uh, turn in turn deflect the full brunt of these moratory monster powers toward the horde which puts them out of commission before they could do like anything but break the door. They, they... I, tell you, I tell you, man, this new team seems to have the numbers, you know, the hordes number. I guarantee it's almost like it's not even fair. They yeah. got their stuff together as a team, like they do. better than any other generation. It's like they're working in tandem a lot better. And mm-hmm. even, but I'll tell you what, these, uh, these new moratory, they are, they're loaded for, uh, for power, man. They're not fooling around. Yeah. The monsters are just, just, totally killing it here uh the battle is won and all we're left with is uh is the moratory keeping that promise they made and uh we get two very very heavy pages to wrap this one up here uh silencer yeah she walks up to the moratory monsters she places her hand on their chests and silences their hearts and uh we wrap up with this being maybe a little bit too much to bear for silencer and she screams about what she was just forced to do. So interesting here. And uh, I've got to respect the silencer character because this is the first time they've given her any bit of legit development. So Mm -hmm. not only does she silence noise, but now she can actually stop hearts. She tried that last time, but it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of, you know, at a left field here. I know they tried it before, but this is the first time it's actually worked. For sure. And, this is a very serious ability, very dangerous, actually. So, you know, this particular moratory member just went up a couple notches in the scheme of things, man. This is some serious power she's got here. Yeah, she's definitely following in Jaylene's footsteps here and us kind of dismissing her at first and uh, yep. maybe being the most uh, valuable asset for the team here. But, I mean, this and I love the juxtaposition between the character silencer who can silence sound letting out a tremendous scream yes it was I mean, beautiful just, it was beautiful oh, man God, well written totally. well you written. get chills you get chills it's just so damn good and uh that's that's where we leave off here and uh if if we would have said and this is something we say every every week if you would have said it with issue 17 we'd still be loving this i'd have said nope <laughs> well, we I, did. Are. <laughs> I did i did i was fully engaged i loved Absolutely. every ounce of this issue i, I mean uh, is it the best issue? I, uh, you know what? It's it's not it's not terrible. It's it's definitely no, it's a top good. ten, yeah. man. It was really for good, sure. for sure. And uh, just so many, uh, you know. And, and we're going to get into the letters page in a little bit here, where they, oh. where where somebody somebody's going to question the characterization in this book. But I mean, is there, is, <laughs> oh is my there, god, is there any stronger element to this book than the characterization? This is the heartbeat of this entire book, man. The oh, uh, yeah. the. The characters you just get so wrapped up in them, and that is what just what this separates this book from anything released in the 80s, man. This is really something. Yeah, I mean, even the characters that we don't 
tremendously care for here. I mean, Sheer, looking at Sheer, I want to throw up, but he's got, he he actually is is forming a character here. Uh, Hard case, he said like four words, but still, he he has his position on the team here. We're, We're seeing some depth to him where... He is the guy who's going against orders against his will because he's he's come up in a culture where you just follow orders. It's uh, we're really just seeing a lot of layers of depth piled onto these characters, where you know it's it's hard to put into words because they have so much trauma within them with this you know the year the the year death sentence here, and to have all of this uh, all this experience and all of this conflict dropped on them after the fact it almost seems unfair but it's just so damn enjoyable to experience along with them oh totally agree such a just a breath of fresh air man in the comic book world this is i'm, I'm glad that we're looking back at this because yeah. uh you know i don't have that air of disappointment that i get with you know some of the books that i read these days this is For just sure. this is just fun times every i look forward to every monday man absolutely absolutely and uh this is uh, the second issue where, and, and you know what, this might be the first issue where no one from the first generation is even mentioned. Oh, yeah, really? I mean, you got literally the only one left is Blackthorn, yep. Aileen, who's on the run, didn't even get a mention this issue. Yeah, because last issue she wasn't in it, but she did get a mention. This time, I don't yep. even think she got that. So it's uh, it feels like we're, we're moving on. And uh Speaking of mentions, this letter page should be titled oh. uh, Strike Force Moratory Sabotage because I have oh, never seen a more relentless, destructive letters page in the history of comic books than this. Yeah, this is one of those, like, like uh, what is that thing as a manager when you give a review? You give, like, the compliment sandwich, you know? Yeah, where, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like one good thing, then you fit it's in your, all the it's, bad it's your, stuff. It's your strength, weaknesses, and opportunities. There you go. There it is here. And that's basically what all the letters are here. And we're not going to read them line by line. We're just going to pull out the main thoughts here. Uh, The first one comes from Chris in Santa Cruz, and he says that he loved issue 14, which involved that Hordian carjacker. And uh, we loved that one as well. That was a that was a that was a very, very strong scene, probably one of the strongest in the entire run. But he hates the new team, which is the third Jenners. I think I actually wrote this letter. Maybe I'm the Chris and I lived in Santa <laughs> Cruz. I didn't even know it. Uh, but I believe, you know, hating the third genders, I think that's the point because yeah. I think uh, how they introduce people is is fairly genius. So mm-hmm. uh, I know you and I do some work on wrestling podcasts and all that stuff. And one of the worst things that happens when you're developing a character in the wrestling world is to give somebody what's called a face push to try to get them over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, To be, to be over with the fans. You know what I mean? They got a guy called Roman Reigns who, Mm -hmm. uh, for better or for worse, you know, the company tried to push as their, you know, their big good. Yeah. They're, they're good guy. And the fans rejected it because it didn't seem like it was authentic. It wasn't genuine. They didn't give you a chance to feel good about this character. They just said, okay, now he's a bad, he was a bad guy. He's good. You got to love him. And they yep. didn't have that separation of storyline to really explain it. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. So you got a generation of uh, of newcomers coming in that are, you know, antagonistic in the beginning. Yep. But all of a sudden, you get to like them over time because they're giving you reasons. You get to see their abilities. You get to see how they interact with the team. They still have these crappy aspects of them, but it's starting to override and you're getting to like them. And I think that is a genius way to push somebody. It gives, the, it gives the audience... The ability to push them, not forced on you. That's perfect. 
Exactly, exactly. So yes, we we definitely agree with uh, Santa Cruz Chris here that uh, yeah, the third geners they 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 stunk the first time. They were uh, they yep. were there to kick in the doors and take over, and uh, we weren't about to let that happen. And uh, and now here we are, where we are finding out that they have some value. Yep. Uh, now letter two comes from Douglas from Parts Unknown. Uh, he has some suggestions. You ready oh. for some suggestions from All Douglas right. in Parts Unknown? What, what do you think is, is a great suggestion for this book, All Doug? Right. I wonder. Now, Doug says that there needs to be more characterization. <laughs> <laughs> right on, Dougie. Yeah, I mean, have you been reading this book, Doug? I mean, <laughs> well, this is... Let's give uh, the guy a break. The The editor himself sometimes doesn't even read this book. <laughs> I guess we'll have to give Doug a little pass on this one. <laughs> the editor gets paid to read it, and he doesn't do it. Um, <laughs> he also wants more Padilla intrigue. Oh, okay. That's like the page. That's like the like the, the couple of pages in every issue that I, I would rather just glaze over. Yep, um, that's the first. That's the first thing that gets the old swipe. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he wants he wants to know more about the horde culture. Now. Listen, I think I'd be if you had a double size issue. Remember the last double size issue where they sort of did a throwaway. They had the little comedic part in the back, and then they yeah. had Hordian tech profiled. I think yeah. I'd like a profile on the Hordian world to get to see their, you know, their collections that they have because they like they're collectors basically. They're mm-hmm. they're they're gold. They're you know they're gold hunters. They go around and they collect stuff on different worlds and bring it back. And they also have this tent structure, this hierarchy that they build. So you know, just seeing what that's all about would kind of be cool. So. You know, horde culture is probably not the most interesting topic, but if you're going to do it, that's how I would do it. Because the, the last time we had a deep dive on the horde culture, it was called cats. <laughs> oh, whoa. You're right. Forget it. I don't want to hear anything <laughs> about the horde culture. What was I thinking? <laughs> no, letter three uh-huh. comes from Jim in Minnesota. And uh, he loved, just like we did, the merciful sparing of that family in the carjacking scene. Well, oh boy. I mean, it's one of the most emotional scenes we've had in the entire series. Seriously. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it shows a development to the enemy, which is probably the best thing of the entire thing. So you think about it when we're at, say, if you're at war with another race or another culture or something, uh, you know, just because we're at war with these people doesn't instantly, you know, make make them monsters you know yeah. if, we're, if you're fighting someone it doesn't mean that the other guy's wrong in his opinion or his attitude it's just different you know what i mean it's really good to see that point of view and you got to sympathize with a horde soldier which was yeah. awesome exactly you know that was very 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 great scene um our fourth letter comes from greg with uh, three g's uh in massachusetts <laughs> and he is said that wild card died in his first appearance. <laughs> He's a haberdasher for Christ's sakes. <laughs> well, listen, I agree. I agree. I wish he lasted at least a couple issues to get to know him. But uh, listen, if there was anyone who uh, who was going to be the red shirt of this entire theme, I'm, I'm glad it was the fashion icon himself, wild card. So <laughs> see ya. <laughs> see ya, Ollie Queen. Um <laughs> Oh boy, he was he he was he was fun to look at because <laughs> he I looked wonder, so much I like wonder, I wonder, was it a direct shot at Ali Queen just to dispatch him so quickly? I wonder. It could have been. It could have you, been. If, if you're making like um, Strike Force Moratory to represent like other superhero groups who you know everything was about deconstruction back in the yeah. late '80s. You know, when we all were deconstructing the superhero with Watchmen and Alan Moore was so prolific in doing that. You know what I mean? I wonder with some of these new characters that were just easily dispatched, was that just like 
a statement on like crappy characters. <laughs> I'm just wondering it loud. You know what I mean? Anyway. Our, our fifth letter comes from Bob in Green Bay, and he is worried, oh so worried, that this book will be canceled. Whoa. <laughs> And uh, I think he might be about to learn that there are worse fates for a book than cancellation. (laughs) We're all about to learn that. Yeah, well, I I guess, Bobby, uh, you were right as rain, my friend. (laughs) Pass, go, collect $200. uh, (laughs) You figured it out, my friend. Um, Those were the only letters. Uh, So you would figure, like, nothing really over the top, like, excited. It, It was... I, you know, we'll we'll give it to them for being, you know, uh, transparent, I guess, with the uh, the way things are, uh, with the reception to the title to the book. Um, I mean, right now on a different program, we're looking at letters pages from the first few issues of X Force, and uh, these letters are coming across as so sycophantic, saying that oh, this yeah. art should be hung in museums. <laughs> hung somewhere. <laughs> if a museum is the appropriate place. Bathroom stall, maybe. <laughs> where, whereas this one, it, there is an earnestness, there is an honesty, where it's like, oh, we'll, 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 give, you, we'll give you the letters we get, warts and all. Um, <laughs> but it, it doesn't bode well. It doesn't bode well. Nay, nay, sir. Oh, boy. But uh, another one of our favorite parts of the book is the bullpen bulletins page. Or maybe it's one of our favorites to hate. Um, yes, it is. Now the quote of the month. How uh, you want? You want to? You want to hit the hit the folks with the quote of the month? Sure. The Marvel bullpen actually says, "Happy holidays, you guys." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buy our crappy books. Because <laughs> this did come out December first, so yes, this is uh, the holiday season. Uh, we do have news items. Oh, these are so bad. Um, oh. I, I see the I see what's happening here. I'll I'll, I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. After. yeah. Okay. We, go we ahead. Will, we will decompress the Marvel bullpen pretty soon. Yes. Um. First item: Jumbo Jim Novak leaves the Marvel production department to go back to freelance lettering. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Listen, we don't need you in our production studio. Can you just go back to like drawing words? <laughs> Please. Uh, now Virginia Ramita will take over his role. Ramita, interesting. Yeah, we, we we don't want to say that there was any uh, the the fix was in or anything, but uh, no. But listen, you got you got another guy leaving. We saw this a couple issues ago where people like Larry Hama was mm-hmm. demote. Uh, I'm not more, you know, he moved to another area of expertise, mm-hmm. I should say. Yeah, but you know, you know what happens here at Marvel? Nobody ever leaves Fight Club. You know, they're forced to leave Larry Hama style. You know what <laughs> I mean? Wonder how IDW is treating them these days. Not that I care, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> On a similar note, yes. Eriodite Adam Blaustein leaves his role as assistant editor on special projects. So you get someone from the production department, mm-hmm. then you get an assistant editor. Yeah, and, and this fella, he's going to go to become a, quote, production man. He, he's going to be the liaison to the chemical color studio. Ah, here's some crayons and a pay cut, buddy. <laughs> Hit the bricks, <laughs> Junior. Man, you know what's going on here? I'll tell you what's actually happening here. And it's, <laughs> quote me if I'm wrong, but this feels like Jim Shooter just went out the door only a few months ago. And it mm. seems like they're completely dismantling the Shooter regime here. Yeah. Not so subtly. You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, so, Blaustein's think, role, yeah. He, it will be taken over by diligent David Wall. Ooh. So, I diligent. don't know. Yeah, he is diligent. He is not erudite, <laughs> but he is diligent. I don't know who he is. Um, granted it's an assistant editor on special projects. I don't know if we're supposed to know who that is. Wow. Um, 
the rest of this news, uh, the news segment here is all about the Marvel staffers changing and trading offices. Who oh. cares? Who yeah. gives a rat's ass? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Who's reading th- Who's reading these issues? It's literally eight to thirteen year olds who were reading yeah. at this time, right? That's Do that's I your. Do you care what window Bob Harris is looking out? No. Did Did any of those kids actually read these profiles? Just us. <laughs> yeah, I, I. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> and I, it's like it's just so. We're when we get through the profile. We're going to get to the, uh, you know, the mighty Marvel checklist. There is so little room for the checklist that they, that none of the ongoing titles have blurbs. OK, that's a spoiler alert for five minutes down the show. Why did we get three paragraphs about, you know, Louise Simonson's changing to this office? Who cares? I, I, I guess to make you know what? It seems like more not for the reader, but more as a message to the people who work there. Maybe is like is like is there a comic version of Dave Meltzer reading this? Like I, I just heard that Louise Simonson's in Office Three. This this is this is the dirty memo that you want passed around the office. That's what this is. It's got to be, huh? Yeah, it's almost yep. got to be. But uh, yeah, yeah. So that that's all the news items are about people getting canned and people changing offices. So mm. there you go. Let's jump into the profile and we'll meet Bob Harris. Uh, He's a, a fellow who we were, we were getting very familiar with on a different program. Um, now, his gig, he is the editor on X-Factor, The Incredible Hulk, all of the G.I. Joe, Ooh. Spellbound, and the Inhumans graphic novel. Well, I, so you got some good stuff here, number mm-hmm. one. Sure. Uh, the one thing that sticks out to me was G.I. Joe. Man, G.I. Joe, that comic book, the real American hero back in 88, was amazing. Firing on all firing on all cylinders. To be quite honest, I loved it. So, you know, you got some good stuff here, Bob Harris. Yeah, and you know, uh, Hulk was. Uh, I think Peter David was popping in around now. Uh, X yep. Factor was uh, pretty strong. So Harris has himself uh, some uh, some good uh, some good titles under his belt here. Yes, sir. Now we jump to his freelance credits from the past. They include Iron Man, Thor. Avengers, Thing, and the RoboCop movie adaptation. Ah, so I was a I was a big fan of the Thing series. I don't know what you mm-hmm. thought of it. Did you like the Thing? I always wanted to read it. I think I have a bunch of them. I just never sat down to do it. Oh, this is after Chris. this is after like where, where he was left on like Battle World. At, um, yes, from Secret Wars. Yeah. So if so if you like World War Hulk, that's basically mm-hmm. what the Thing morphed into. It, okay. It's a really good series. So his solo series is definitely worth a read, man. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just popcorn fun, and it's really cool. really fun. So I would recommend that to anybody. But I bought the uh, the RoboCop adaptation, actually. Mm-hmm. So I bought that right off the shelf, and I loved it. And one of the things that they did great was they're adapting this for kids. So they're taking an R-rated movie, and I guarantee you RoboCop was an R-rated movie. <laughs> it was full of guns and tits and blood, and, I mean, this <laughs> thing was uh, wow. But anyway, they, they, you know, they still gave a good feel in that adaptation. You didn't feel like you were cheated. So, you know, Not great that. job to Mr. Harass. Yes. Yeah, now uh, his current freelance credits include the Shield limited series. Oh, okay. I didn't, not familiar with it. Yeah, I mean there were a bunch, so he was one of them. Um, mm-hmm. His hobbies. Uh, okay, Bob Harris in his free time likes to go spelunking, hang yep, gliding. I, I like spelunking too with Paul mm-hmm. Abdul. <laughs> Cliff diving in Acapulco, uh, mount, mountain climbing in the Himalayas, and breaking hearts. <laughs> Yes, sir. 
Yeah, a, a bull, bull danky there, right? It's <laughs> yes, a, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, the work he is most proud of include his work on Thor number 365 and Rom number 50. I don't know, have any idea what's significant about ROM 365. Any idea? No. No, so I, it I, sounds I, like it might be like the Microsoft subscription program, like Thor 365, but uh, that's all <laughs> I can think of. I, I can't think of exactly what might have happened in it. I think that uh, calling something Thor would be a good use, a good good uh, a good name for a piece of software. Hey, did you <laughs> download Thor 365? Absolutely. But, but anyway, 1999 a year. Yeah. I I did manage to get ROM number 50, and I bought. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't buy every single issue of ROM, but I certainly bought a good chunk of it. If I saw it there and I had the extra cash, I always bought ROM, and I have number 150. And ask, actually, when you think about storyline, so ROM is all about a you know a silver armored space knight hunting down aliens. So you mm-hmm. know similar to what Strike Force Moratori is doing, except in this issue, ROM and his girlfriend Starshine take on the Skrulls. And guess okay. what? They find out about the Skrulls. They actually get hmm. a. They actually turn the skulls into sympathetic characters, almost exactly what they're doing here with the horde. And I plus, I think that. I think if I'm not mistaken, it was double sized too. So, yeah, you listen. If you like, if you like Rom, you're not going to go wrong with issue 50. Good one. Yeah, that, that was one that I I got like the entire run in a 25 cent bin at a half price oh, books. It's yeah. it's 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 half decent stuff. There, there's there's some bad stuff there. Uh, some of the Ditko stuff that uh, people like to praise. I don't think is particularly strong, but uh, there's there's some good stuff. Now I, I just looked up uh, Thor 365 here, and Bob Harris's name is nowhere on it. So uh, it's a uh, it's the one with the Thor frog, you know. Oh uh, no! Yeah. Hot garbage. That <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't see Bob Harris's name here on on, yeah, on here anywhere. He's so proud he didn't even put his own credit in there. There you go. Now his pet peeves. <sighs> Munchkins, especially those from the Lollipop Guild. Ugh. Why why are they even bothering with this idiot? Munchkins are disturbing. Move on. I you know I I like them at Dunkin' Donuts. Um, oh oh yes hell yes yeah those are good. Um, his greatest accomplishment outside of comics is something so stupid we're not going to mention it here. Um, <laughs> his his oddest habit is sitting in strange positions. In wasn't the, in it back, wasn't it the, the guy who who did we who did we cover last week? I think that was Carl Potts who sleeps in strange positions. Do you think that Carl? No, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Moving on. Um, <laughs> Al Pacino would play him in a movie about his life. Oh yeah. Is yes. he the Huaha guy? <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. That's okay, who that is, guy is. Scarface. Okay, is he Huaha as well? Who the hell is Huaha? Like that movie was Huaha. Is that him? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh okay. I didn't know if that hoo-ha, was the, yeah, the, the Nero. I always get them mixed up. Um, <laughs> now. Why did Bob Harris pick comics? He says it's because he never wanted to grow up, which is a Uh-oh. finally a good answer from this guy. Uh, me neither, man. Me neither. Hundred <laughs> percent, there, Bob. Now, people in high school thought he was an asshole. No, no, they didn't think he was an asshole. Uh, they thought he was sardonic. So, oh, basically an asshole. <laughs> yes. A S S H O L E. Everybody. <laughs> Some Dennis Leary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that Dennis Leary? It is, yes. Okay, he uses okay. public toilets and he pisses on the seat. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I love it. Now, his favorite performers include Bruce Springsteen and Mark Gruenwald. Hmm. Mark, how does Mark Gruenwald get in here? 
here. <laughs> he seems to get like as soon as Shooter went out the door, it seems like this is the like the the Grunewald welcoming appreciation. Yes, was he like tied onto a desk in a corner in a locked cabinet before Shooter <laughs> left, or what? I don't I, get it. I gotta wonder if Bob Harris was wit- bore witness to the butt diving. <laughs> Nobody should be bore witness to the buck diving. (laughs) Now, the last good book he did or didn't read is uh, Waiting for Childhood by Summerlock Elliott. Oh, my God. What a a beautiful book. I'm sure he didn't read it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure he didn't as well. Uh, The last good movie he saw was Fatal Attraction. Ah, this was back when Glenn Close was hot. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she was. I'm afraid. Anyway, this this also had Michael Douglas in here. Now, if you're thinking the 80s, Michael Douglas, man, he was he was the man back there back in the day. OK, the ladies loved him. He was one of these, uh, you know, prolific actors and all that stuff. Now, what I find funny about today's Michael Douglas is that obviously he had some health issues and then I just took a, took a look at some of his health issues. So he actually had, or had the start of throat cancer. Okay. okay. Now you might say, okay, that's, that's pretty tragic until you figure out how he got throat cancer. Uh Oh, guess who blamed his wife for giving him throat cancer? How, how hmm, did, did, did she, uh, does she so, like spew out cordian spores into she, a storm? Uh, so the the virus HPV, which is uh, contracted with mm-hmm. uh, with sexual relations okay. in a certain certain area, uh-huh. um, can provide throat cancer. Uh oh. So he blamed his wife for his uh, sexual antics for providing his throat with uh, mm. with uh, throat cancer. Ooh. <laughs> So, so Miss uh, Miss Zeta Jones apparently has some uh, some of the a little bit of the bubbly going on downtown. We need the uh, yeah we we need the, uh, the 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 dentine guy to to tell us to chew on that. Um, oh Jesus! That, 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 um, that, yes, I don't think that's something that you blame your wife for, brother. I'm just saying. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, moving uh, on, brother. So, so that so that was the movie that. that now, that was the movie with the boy, the boiled bunny, right? You got it, sir. Okay, got cool. So we'll bring it back here. Uh, now, <laughs> uh, Bob Harris's biggest in- influences here are uh, Ralph Macchio, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, the other Ralph Macchio, Jane Austen, William Shakespeare, Joe Biden, and Donald Trump. I literally, I thought that someone like a double had, take. I literally thought someone had edited my digital copy. I thought literally this was this was put in there now. Uh, yes, now. I thought yeah. someone had had compromised it, but this is legit. This is actually an issue. They talk about Trump and Biden right now. Not only that, That's Jim and sense. Tammy Faye Baker. Whoa. Oh boy. But yeah. think about this. So Trump and Biden, obviously, they're presidential candidates for 2020, correct? Yep. But guess what? Guess what Jim Baker is doing? What is he doing? So during the current situation, and I won't be mentioning what the current situation is, this particular televangelist has gone on with his new girlfriend, who is certainly not dead Tammy, uh, and tried <laughs> to sell a cure. No. Through his, yes, and he's in the news for uh, for uh, defrauding people to, for providing a cure to the current situation. Wow. So you have That's three people. You've got, you got, you got Jim Baker, Trump, and Biden, who are all top players in the news right now. 
Wow. We we just got to like uh, like Ralph Macchio's got to like rob a he's got to like go rob a gas station or something. <laughs> got to get his name back in the city, man. Yeah. We got to at least have a, uh, a a third season of Cobra Kai or something to get his yeah. name back in the. Back William Shakespeare's got a William Shakespeare's got an overdose or something to get back in the news. <laughs> um, now, yeah, so 2020 uh, presidential election here. We know one guy who's going to be very excited for it. He might be the only one. Um, <laughs> now, also, no Stan Lee. Ah, and like I said last time, remember, Stan Lee was not exactly in the good graces of Marvel at this time. I don't think mm-hmm. there was super animosity, but. Wasn't he doing Stanley Productions or involved with that whole production company that that seemed was, to come and go throughout the years? I, I yeah, couldn't tell so, you. Yeah. So a bit of that was happening, and his whole you know developing projects in Hollywood was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of distance between Stan Lee, Marvel's known ambassador, Excelsior himself, and the company. So just to see him not mentioned here is a very very curious statement. How quickly exactly. Stanley's name dropped off after Shooterville left. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bob Harris is he's he's not going to get Larry Hammett out. He's going to still nope. be here for like another decade plus. Yes, sir. Um, and, and even take the reins. He will be the editor in chief before uh, before the end of the uh, century. I like um, how the new new term for demotion is uh, Hammett out. Hammett out. Yep. <laughs> Got to hammer that out. So the next time the next time you let somebody go from your place of employment and say sorry, man, you're getting hammered out. Um, <laughs> Now, Bob Harris's greatest unfulfilled ambition is to get his freelance work in on time. Uh, And, I mean, our man Jim Shooter isn't there to force that issue anymore, so I guess there's really no pressing urgency to do so. Good luck with that, brother. Mm -hmm. Worst part of his job, listening to Chris Claremont read his fan mail out loud. I liken Chris Claremont to, let me see. Tom King. I bet Mr. Tom King stands in his room, and he's Tom King of Batman fame, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, who reads his fan mail aloud and only reads the positive messages because he can't take any negative messages and can't <laughs> understand why people did not give him a 10 out of a 10 ranking on his uh, worthless, I mean, his incredible work on Batman. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, nerd Geek Fanboy Reviews gave me a 10 out of 10 and that I'm brilliant because I used a word they saw in the first chapter of their psychology textbook. <laughs> mm, Bingo. Yes. Bingo. Brother. Yes. Now, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, Tommy. Yeah, right. Uh, now, uh, a little message of hope for Mr. Bob Harris here. You've only got three more years of Chris Claremont left because you will run him off pretty soon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. I don't know if that's a good thing, but anyway. Well, it, it did spawn a certain podcast. Well, I... <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that a little later. Who knows? Uh, now, when nobody's looking, Bob looks at himself. <laughs> I figure he's he's probably admiring his uh, very well manicured half beard. <laughs> when I think about you, I look at myself. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> no. One thing that uh, he would like the world to know about him is that he never wears bow ties. Ah, I once wore a spaghetti tie. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that says about me. But I never <laughs> did get to the bow tie deal. You know what I mean? It was a little bit, a little bit too Pee Wee Herman for my liking. I don't know. Now I want to be clear here. I like Pee Wee Herman. Okay, so don't get me wrong. You know, I, I just don't want to look like the guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So bow ties are out for the Bailey Meister. I think I only wore one for my wedding. That might have been the only time I ever wore a bow tie. And you're still but, uh... married. Uh, so yeah, it, it was it, it was part worked. of the uh, contract. It, it was part worked. of the contract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, onto the uh, mighty Marvel checklist. 
Strike Force Moratorium number 17 gets no blurb. So uh, <laughs> why, just, the, why the hell would it at this point? <laughs> right. Um, but, you here. know, in fairness, none of them do, because we had to learn that, uh, you know, uh, Blaustein is, is, you know, now staring at, you know, Fifth Avenue instead of whatever avenue uh, out his window. But uh, so, yeah, none of the ongoing monthly comics get a blurb. Uh, only a few things do, uh, including The Pit. Uh, now, The Pit <laughs> is a prestige format little book here that states that the future of the new universe is changed forever. Okay. Okay. It's pop quiz time, Christopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'm, you probably did you read much New Universe at all? Very little. Okay. Have you read The Pit? I have The Pit, but no, okay. I've not read The Pit. <laughs> okay. Do you know what The Pit is about? Ah, uh, it, is it so? Is it? I it's know a, they destroy Pittsburgh. St- Yes, right. So it's a it's a Star Brand related book. Okay. It spins off of Star Brand, and it's all about you know basically Star Brand going Nova and destroying his hometown of Pittsburgh. Now, mm-hmm. what is also interesting about Pittsburgh? Hmm, I think a certain guy was from there. Yes. Now, which guy who <laughs> shall shall may or may not remain nameless, and who may have been the editor in chief at the time of Marvel, who lives in Pittsburgh? Who would that be, Christopher? I, I'm thinking of someone who is very, very valiant, sometimes very defiant, um, <laughs> has, has, a, has super, super good skin. Um, who is it? Who is it? It's our good friend, Mr. Jimmy Shooter. And if you there haven't picked up on these letters pages and these subtle jabs, well, what would be the only reason for pushing the only issue in the thing here, the pit? Well, mm-hmm. it's very clear that... This whole thing was about getting rid of Shooter's whole, his whole regime that helped him out build Marvel. They're all fired, gone, demoted. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that they put up is when they blow up Jim Shooter's hometown. This is just a paintbrush and Andre the Giant style on uh, on good yep. old Jim Shooter. It's a shame. Sure. Really. Very, sure. very petty. Very petty. Yeah, very petty, very small. And uh, even the solicit they give here, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, isn't the future fluid? How does the future change? You know, no, <laughs> exactly. That's just me being pedantic. I apologize, yep. but uh, yes, that is the bar, the the bull, the bar pen bulletin. No, the bullpen bull, <laughs> bull, 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 whatever the hell page this is with Bob Harris's stupid half beard caricature. Um, but we also have ads. We have uh, one that all I remember from it is the uh, theme song. Three, Three two, two, one, one. contact. Contact. Yep. That's all I know about it. Um. It was a PBS show. Uh, the ad has a half dozen children of various sizes carrying a giant snake. And uh, one of them looks like uh, Justine Bateman. Is that Justine she Bateman? She does. She looks just like Justine Bateman, man. It's not. It's not I don't think so. Hmm. But uh, I've seen Three to One Contact, and it's, you know, it's an educational show. So, you know, they're talking about different things with uh, science and nature mm-hmm. and different things. So everything you see here, and they'll do, like, interesting things on, like, how to work a computer. And, you know, yeah. it was it was a fun show. It was, it was very engaging for me as a kid, so I liked it. I remember liking it, too. I just couldn't tell you a single bit about it. Um, is it one of those that would have, like... Like they would have like the of course they would have the bits where like they teach you a little bit about technology, maybe a little yes. bit about science. Yeah. But then would they do like a dramatic thing like like an Encyclopedia Brown or like a Bloodhound Gang or something like that? I, I that... don't recall. I always know that it was sort of like uh, done in little skits to be like, hey, Bobby, what okay. you doing? Oh, hi, Megan. I'm using my computer. A computer? What's that? <laughs> 
You know what I mean? And then they would go into how to work a computer and they would go through all the different things. Right. So it was all like little skit based things. But okay. it, was, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. And, and it is a uh, children's television workshop thing. So it is, yeah. uh, you know, in the in the Sesame Street family for uh, for the bigger kids, I guess. And uh, absolutely. And it had a cool theme song. So it did. It did. Contact. Yeah, it was cool. And this isn't the one that had the Spider-Man thing on it, right? That was something in the '70s. That was the electric. Oh, that was company. the that was the electric company. Yeah. Okay. Is that is that any is that similar to this? Uh, similar, except this one. Well, the electric company was sort of like uh, a part of its time, so it didn't have. Sure. Like, but it was all educational based. So yeah, basically gotcha. it's the same thing. Edge the electric company used like a almost like a Sesame Street style theme. So you know, someone would appear in just this okay. blank set with a puppet and start talking. Okay, hey, Oscar, you know, what do you think about trash collecting and recycling? No, but not recycling back then, but you know what I mean. That was <laughs> yes. the whole gist of it, you know what I mean? So What do you what do you think about the fuel shortage? What? <laughs> <laughs> How about that toilet paper? No, <laughs> A disco. Um <laughs> Now, uh, another another ad we have here, and this is like from one of those mishmash pages of just like put your ad here sort of thing. Yeah. We have Comics on Video. Where you can get interviews with Stan Lee, Perez, Truman, Aragonis, uh, and more. A half hour of your favorite writers and artists on beta or VHS. So as wrestling fans, you know that they have Mm -hmm. this thing called shoot videos. Now what shoot videos are, are people when they step outside of the company that they work for. Traditionally, they'll go on a little rant or a tirade, and they'll film themselves being asked questions. So basically it's a question and answer session, put the film. And I think that's exactly what this is. And now I didn't have any of these things, but just, you know, industry, it was basically a comics industry shoot video type of thing. I think pretty well what this was. But I'll tell you what. I don't know how how big these things were, but for someone to have Stan Lee, Perez, Truman, Aragones all interviewed, they, I mean, they were top play talent at the time, especially sure. Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. So to have such a small ad, <laughs> yeah. it, it, worry, it worries me. Did these guys even know they were being interviewed, or are they tied <laughs> up in a basement getting the you know the uh, the one light bulb over their head type of deal happening here, or what? I don't know. <laughs> they got like a they have a, just a little like handy little tape recorder that and they're like they have him cornered in the bathroom stall or something it's like stan what do you think of steve ditko i'm trying to go to the bathroom he's a good guy <laughs> he's a good guy i love stan i created <laughs> spider-man what who what oh <laughs> i did the costume it's all me um <laughs> that guy smells like onions um <laughs> Well, yes, this is Comic Vision, and uh, I looked to see if any of these were up on YouTube. I couldn't find them, but uh, hopefully one of these days we'll find something. Maybe I didn't see, check. They're they're, yeah. they're they're somewhere in someone's VHS collection. They like, gotta I'm, be. They're one of these ones with like BASF written on the spine. Yes. It's done, it's done in SLP mode. In SLP. Eight <laughs> hours worth of it. <laughs> it's all on one tape. Every yeah, it's, got, it's, it's got the one. It's got the one interview for ten minutes at the front, and then it's like a collection of these uh, really <laughs> bizarre. Like yeah. it's who's the boss episode. <laughs> <laughs> It's, oh, it's who's okay. the boss and bad Ronald. Uh, that's what's on the end of the tape. But uh, no, it's like uh, I forgot to check archive.org. Have you have you have you done any kind of dives on archive.org? I have. You know what? Recently, I've done a couple after Ooh. you brought it up to me. I was just yeah. doing some stuff. It's fun. There is so much interesting stuff on there. I saw a uh, somebody who either worked for Kmart or just had access to someone who did got all of their music really so, oh that's dude. hilarious and it's like and it's just you know real bad knockoffs of contemporary music at yes. the time 
but it's interrupted with uh, messages. It's like, attention, Kmart shoppers. It is the weirdest, most boring, but interesting thing to listen to. Uh, if you just have it on in, like, in the background. It's like the it's like the generic cover band who covers like a popular song, removes yeah. all the filth and slander, and then and just random, yeah. then random, randomly inserts like a uh, like an, a PA announcement in there. Yes, yes, it's like a, it's like it's like a powdered donuts now now fresh at the bake. It's it's so interesting to listen <laughs> to that crap. And uh, there was a woman who I think just passed away, but um, what she did from like the moment she got a uh, a VCR back in the late 70s, she always had a tape in the deck. So she taped like everything. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so like she taped stuff every single day. And that's, and they're, they're in the process of digitizing that and putting it up on archive.org. I don't remember the name of the collection, but uh, I'm sure if you Google some keywords, you know, like a woman's VHS collection, television, whatever, it'll probably pop up. But Oh, wow. that Put that is, in the show links if you can. That's, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll dig that up and throw it in the links because it's it's very interesting stuff. It's it's you know it, it's funny because like we'll talk about like how every comic book is collected in trade now, which makes trades less special. But with media like television, so little of it was collected back in the day. So actually getting the opportunity to see this and and you know some of it's like old news reports, some of it's just a flock of old commercials. Um, the most interesting stuff is, uh, the pilots that were only shown once. Oh, I love that stuff. Yes, dude. dude. Oh, they are. It's so interesting to see some of the stuff that was just never, ever repeated again. Um, I saw like a, like a 1983 pilot starring Paul Reiser, uh, last week. And it's just like the weirdest thing in the world. What's, what's cool see. what's cool about a lot of these TV pilots sometimes they went on to be different shows and popular sure. shows you know what I mean but mm-hmm. the TV pilots whether they were rejected or approved uh, are just amazing because they're so different and characters are yeah. doing different things and you know some characters who are not lead characters in the show are lead characters in the pilot and different things oh, it's yeah. just so fascinating to look at yeah like the I think the most famous one is uh is the the full house pilot where it's oh, not it's it. not oh, it's not Bob Saget uh, playing Danny, what? it's a different. It's a different fella who plays Danny, and the whole first episode was shot with this other dude playing Danny Tanner. You could find it online very easily. Weird, but it, it is so bizarre to watch. Uh, you know, seeing everybody else is the same. You know, like uh, John Stamos is there, uh, Dave Coulier is there, but it's just this other dude uh, playing <laughs> Danny, and they do <laughs> that- the. In- entire first episode it's nuts that would be awesome you know what to digitally put somebody else in that role and just repeat the entire series that would be excellent <laughs> i'd watch it and yeah and another one that uh that uh, that we found uh probably a year and a half ago was the save by the bell or the good morning miss bliss pilot oh yeah god yes i've seen that a hundred times with uh with jaleel white yep. and uh brian austin green and so weird so weird but uh good yeah stuff. Yeah, that's uh, you know, that's our archive.org tangent. <laughs> definitely <laughs> something to look into if you have. Oh, a lot of us have free time at the moment, so you could you could definitely lose a couple of afternoons in there. Um, yeah. then the next one we have is uh, secrets of mind reading revealed. <laughs> Call me now. 
I love the whole psychic thing, man. That's so oh, yeah. hilarious. Mind reading and all that stuff. I mean, how to me, it's so easy to see how this stuff works. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if you know, like, how are you in what, when you're dealing with people in the public? Like, I deal with hundreds of people every single day. Half of the people that I've met throughout the years, especially in my job, I don't know their last names or their family sure. or what they do. But when some of these people approach you, they remember you. They remember you. Hey, Chris, how's it going? How's everything going? Blah, 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 blah. And you have no idea who you're looking at. You know what I mean? No <laughs> clue who's in front you of you at this point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you're like, hey, no, everything's going great. How's everything with you? And, you know, you sort of take some information out. Are you still working at, and you'll just cut it off, and they'll go, hey, yeah, still work at the Walmart. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, how's Walmart going? Blah, 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 blah. And how's your, oh, my dad's doing great, man, since yep. the surgery. You're like, oh, yeah, so you're flying, right? And that's basically that's basically how these psychics work, too. So they sure. feed up, you know, either it's interviews or information that a customer would give them when they sign up, or when they're having conversations, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling a lady and she's got long blonde hair and she's saying something about, uh, you know, cookies. Oh, my God, it's my Aunt Susan and she used to make chocolate chip cookies. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? You're just like, oh, shut up. <laughs> he just pulled that out of you. He doesn't have a clue who your Aunt Susan is. He's not reading your mind. It's no, a bunch of crap. It's funny, though. I, I like it as entertainment. I like it oh, when you sure. get Sure. When, when you get when you get people who can allegedly read minds and all that stuff, you know, it's uh, you know, it's a whole different ball of wax. But I mean, some people make a living out of it and God bless them because they're great at it. Mm-hmm. Yes, because uh, what, what is it that Dion Warwick always says about friends? Oh, the psychic freak, psychic friends network. <laughs> That's what was what it? Friends are for. There it is. What was uh, Madam Cleo was like yeah. actually sued. <laughs> Like uh, she had to pay like millions of dollars for, for well, people, people were, yeah. people were believing this stuff, man. Like they, they took do. that to the bank. No, people are people. You got to figure when people go that aren't going for entertainment value, they're going because they are desperate for answers. Yes. And uh, they are very easy people to exploit. Um, I, I remember probably, oh boy, probably like turn of the century. Um, you know, you and I are wrestling fans. I remember Bret Hart went to uh, a guy to talk to his brother Owen. Oh no! Yeah, and it was reported in the uh, in the Observer, the Wrestling Observer, and uh, I remember just thinking like that is the saddest thing, you know, oh, that they're taking no. advantage of this poor guy, and he's a celebrity, so they're you know they're they're profiting off of his name and his appearance, and and all they're doing is feeding him you know crap. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah maybe your, your, your brother Owen saying he loves you. Oh, that's uh, that's great. I uh, really uh, really care about my brother Owen yeah. there. And uh... <laughs> at, the, at the summer at the SummerSlam at the at the SummerSlam when we had our match there, I really liked the uh, the Owen and Brett matches there, right? And oh, just oh, just terrible. But poor <laughs> Bret Hart. I mean, come yeah. on, don't screw Bret Hart. He lost his brother. What what? This is ridiculous. Canadian mm-hmm. hero, Canadian icon, Bret Hart. Everybody. It's true. It's true. Man, what else we got? We have one final piece here, and it's one that always kind of mystifies. Timeline. Yes. (laughs) High school. American high school has helped adults finish high school at home. Spare time for over 80 years. Diploma awarded. Info free. No salesman. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's leery when they say no salesman, uh, info free, and then on the bottom it says no finance charges. That means this thing costs you a lot of cash, people. A lot of money up front. No payments. But but what's cool is that high school from home and how – 
you know, how relevant is that when a lot of kids are potentially going to be homeschooled over the next year? It's uh, an interesting thought. So this this theory that they were <laughs> robbing people out of money may actually <laughs> become a may actually become a reality. And the, the the joy of these whole ads is I wonder what would happen. And I might do this just for fun one time or even call <laughs> one of these numbers. But some of these 800 numbers and zip codes and all that stuff, I wonder if these things actually still exist. I wonder. I'm going to do my homework. I'm actually going to track some of these down and make a phone call and see what happens. Oh, I'm, man, that's something I we, we got to record that for sure. I am going to do it and see what happens. But, you know, so. we, we know that this is probably legit because it's called American School. Yeah, I mean, that, it doesn't get much, much more legit than that. Uh, well, I, ca- I can't call it because it's in the U.S. Oh, man. Let me see. Uh, let me dial it up here. Oh, okay, I'm cool. Just, I'm just going to do it right here live on oh. the air. I am just going to hit this bad boy up. Okay, 1-800. We're going to get our two, diplomas two, today. Eight. <laughs> here we go, everybody. You're welcome. Okay, <laughs> we'll put this bad boy on speakerphone. One moment. Okay, here we go. You ready? Can you hear it? Yeah, I do. I wonder if we're going to get singles in our area. <laughs> Let's see. It's ringing. It is. Uh-oh. Doesn't look like they're going to answer, Chris. Maybe I'm not going to get I'm, I'm not going to get my high school diploma. <sighs> Come on, answering machine. American school from Chi-Town. <laughs> Uh, they're going to let us down. We are going to be are. destitute. I would like to get my education. <laughs> no answer at the high school, Chris. <sighs> we'll have to, we'll have to find other other places to call throughout the... Uh, throughout <laughs> sadness. The, sadness. <laughs> sadness. Epic fail. Epic fail. <laughs> Man, now what are we going to do with our lives? I don't know. Okay, well, it was it was a valiant effort. Uh, we do we do highly value education here. Um, <laughs> I say that uh, going into one of my uh, one of my grad school finals next uh, final exams next week. So well, good luck, there sir. We go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a uh, it's funny. Uh, just just the eight hundred number sort of a gimmick or the nine hundred number gimmick, especially. I was watching a video uh, from the Oddity Archive. If anybody's ever heard of that show, it's a it's a, it's a fella, a real funny show where he just talks about old technology and some obscure and uh, basically obsolete technology and cultural bits and pieces. So one of his episodes was about 900 numbers, and he was talking about like the Santa hotline, you know, the Santa oh, yeah. 900 number, and and the number came up on the screen, and and you know for for ease of uh, of memory, just say it was like one nine hundred one 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 one, you know, all ones. And then he shows one like a couple minutes later, and it's a a porno hotline one eight hundred one 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 one. It was the same no. phone number in the non Christmas time of year. Was a oh. porn line. No, so just imagine if they got the streams crossed. It'd be like, hey, you got Santa Claus here. He's got giant balls in his sack. He's got giant balls in in his Santa sack there. Yeah, you're gonna love him. It's like if you're if you're a kid and you remember calling Santa in December, and it's like, oh, I wonder what Santa's up to in in April or May. (laughs) And you call. Oh my. Yep, and it's him and Mrs. Santa in the throes of passion. (laughs) True. Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Mm -hmm. But uh, that. Our friends is uh, Strike Force Moratorium number 17, cover to cover. Just about every little bit and piece that we can include here. But uh, 
I think that's all the time that we'll take up from you this week. Uh, you want to throw it to some plug-in? Well, certainly, kind sir. You can find me over at Charlton underscore hero on the Twitter. And I got lots of stuff going on on the Twitter these days. I'm just doing some profiles on different uh, different toy lines that I've forgotten about in the 80s, just some different junk. So if you're interested in retro stuff, by all means, jump on my Twitter and you could find some stuff that you might recall from your childhood. And I've also, this week, I'm actually on holiday, so I'm going to be doing some bin diving in my basement. Ooh. So keep an eye out for some uh, retro toys to be put on display in, in various forms and fashions and, uh, and conditions because I think I, I found a, pad, a Padme figure this morning that was a little bit uh, distressed, shall we say. But mm-hmm. with the with the benefits of, uh, of Crazy Glue, she's back in action. So there's oh, lots to see it. coming this week on Charlton Heroes Holidays. <laughs> the oh, holiday okay. special with Charlton Hero. There you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, you could find me over at Chris's on Infinite Earth, still every day doing a different DC comic book. Um, this week, uh, this weekend, actually, uh, four or five days from when you hear this show, uh, the next episode of From Claremont to Claremont will hit. And it's looking to be another biggie. So that'll be here for you. Um, you can also check out the website for that show. That's 90s X-Men. Uh, also check out chrisandreggie.com so you can find out everything. That, uh, that we've ever talked about on this channel. All the archives in the order you'd want to listen to them and uh, everything, uh, you know, you, everybody's got a lot of free time, uh, assumedly. Uh, and uh, well, how better to fill that time than listening to us talk about things that don't matter. Um, <laughs> but I think that is all we got for you. We want to thank you so, so much for hanging out with us today. And uh, we will talk to you all again real soon. See ya! How's it going, everybody? This is Chris and Chris, and it is Moratory Monday, episode 18, where we're going to be discussing, well, Strike Force Moratory number 18. How are you doing this week, uh, Chris? I am doing wonderful, sir. I'm in the middle 
of a little project here in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. It is I am part of the the the, the great hero basement purge. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> basically during my holidays, my wife has tasked me with the uh, inevitable, <laughs> inevitable task of uh, cleaning up our storage room. Now, there's lots of fun to be had there because I'm uncovering a whole bunch of stuff that I never knew. Number one, that a I owned mm-hmm. uh, things that I've never read before in my life, comic books that I've never seen before that uh, I may possibly have stolen. I don't even know. (laughs) And of course, toys, all the wonderful toys that I'm uncovering. And last night I found Thundercats, Supernaturals, and what else did I find here? And Karate Fighters. So this episode officially is sponsored by Karate Fighters. Oh, we we need to have a holiday tournament with uh, those Karate (laughs) Fighters. Oh, they're so much fun. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm having a, a very similar thing here, and uh, it's also spurred on by the better half. Uh, she's just like really, really annoyed of having to step over piles of comics to like do anything. So. Oh no, you got to keep that stuff clean. That's the only way oh, it stays in the house, bro. It's true. It's true. And uh, I, I started with like one room full, and uh, she was, you know, patient and uh, kind <laughs> and beneficent. Is that a word? Enough to uh, allow me to you know monopolize an entire room with the comics and then uh that dripped into two and now it's a uh, it's it's getting close to being a complete three i i've almost overtaken the the living room uh so that's uh i mean we could actually use the stacks of comics as furniture right now in the living room so listen bro it, it if uh when the time comes when your wife sits on a copy of spider-man in the mad dog ward it's time to clean that stuff up bro just no so, just letting you know no doubt it's uh it's just all the uh it, it's so strange it's all the projects that uh that we work on it's everything just goes somewhere and uh it never goes back to where it originally came from unfortunately so just just leave her something really good to read around like don't have crap that's the thing so so if she goes to pick it up and all of a sudden she's like hey what's this elf quest then all of a sudden she's three pages in and then she's finished the first quest then she's like on the siege on the mountain and the whole nine yards (laughs) (laughs) then you got her bro then you got her so I uh, definitely leave the uh, the the Super Pro and uh, all that stuff somewhere else. Right? <laughs> Don't leave uh, US One and Team America around. <laughs> well, Team America is a little endearing, right? Team America is fantastic. <laughs> all that stuff is is yes. a wonderful 80 schlock. I'd love it. Absolutely. But uh, we are here to uh, discuss more Tory stuff here and. Since last time out, we wrapped up our uh, recruit mission, our recruit uh, storyline scenario. We've got something new. We've got the oh. yeah, we've got something new here. We're uh, you know, we love this series so much, um, and it is so uh, so. I wouldn't say unloved, but it's just so under the radar. You know, um, people don't really talk about this, and when they do. The first thing they say is, wow, that should be a TV show. And they, they don't really think about anything below that. It's all very surface level stuff here. So we figure, hey, you know what? This should be a TV show and uh, might be a little bit cheaper, maybe a little bit more cost effective to rather than hire all the, you know, the fabulous actors and movie stars out there. Maybe we do it. Uh, we do it old school here. We, 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 uh, we pitch something animated. Yeah. Absolutely. So I call this segment, and it's not the recruit segment, I call these segments that are coming forward Pitch Force Moratory. And the entire mm-hmm. thing is to pitch the world of Strike Force Moratory in areas where you would not think. And we're going to start with Strike Force Moratory, the animated series. That's mm-hmm. right. 
the animated <laughs> series. So just picture this. So it's the uh, the year is 1988-86, just before the comic arrived. Um, and we're going to start out with a Saturday morning cartoon. Now, this mm-hmm. is the... I always dreamed of this from uh, from the company FHE, Family Home Entertainment, which you've seen on many uh, VHS video cassettes back in the day. And sure. I felt it was going to be packaged as like a six-episode uh, season or anything like that, something that fit nice and neat on one VHS tape. So, gotcha. so if this would this would later be bundled as uh, Strike Force Moratory, the animated series from um, FHE called the Fall Yearbook. So. There you go. So you ready to jump in? And I'll I give am, you my. We'll so share with the. Is, yeah. Yeah. What is uh? What is FHE? Is that like? Is that like where like the the, the letters FHE would be like drawn in like lowercase and it would be like the wow wow sound? You got it. Those they are a uh, VHS or a video distribution service that uh, sponsored mostly Canadian uh, not Canadian shows. My God. Uh, well, children's they, they, shows. Children's shows. Absolutely. So, I, I uh, you remember know. that. Yeah, I just didn't know because, I mean, growing up, like anytime you'd go to the video store, you'd pick up a new, you know, kids tape or something. And they all had these different distributors and they all had like the weird and we've talked about the the like the, the scary logos before. Oh, they all had like that weird sort of ethereal sort of sound and, and just a very uncanny feeling to them. But uh, I, I just wasn't sure if I if I had the right one here because I. My first, my my mind initially goes to Deke always when it's uh, oh, this absolutely. kind of a thing, which is so, also kind of horrifying. So <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> so FHE, just for some background, if you've ever watched a GI Joe tape in the '80s yes. or a Transformers mask pole position, any of that stuff, it's all by FHE. So those videos were packaged by those. So I grew up on that stuff, but. Uh, I usually, I even thought of how to place this show. So I thought of what season it would air, what's what, you know, Saturday morning lineup. So I did, I did a little bit of research. So I see this airing in 85, 86 and as before okay. the comic, of course, Certainly. and it airs on CBS during their Saturday morning lineup, which, uh, I'm going to air it between nine 30 and 10 AM. Now it's going to be wedged sandwiched in between Muppet babies and Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's what some of my favorite blocks back in the day. And, uh, <laughs> It's actually going to replace the short-lived Muppet Baby spin-off. I bet you didn't know Muppet Babies had a spin-off, did you? No. It was called, very short-lived, called Little Muppet Monsters. You're kidding. No, sir. It exists. There is footage. And not only that. Little Muppet Monsters. Little Muppet Monsters. Yep. CBS Saturday morning. So we're canceling that, and we're going to go with six episodes of Strike Force Moratory. So here's the general pitch. Mm Mm-hmm. So the story is about six teens who are attending the Moratory Academy. So now, kid, now this is a kid show. So we're gonna, there's some stuff that's gonna be reined in. We're taking the rated R out of this, folks. So <laughs> the 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 academy offers kids with extraordinary abilities. That sounds a little bit familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only a select few get into this secret school. Now there's two teachers. One is Beth Neon. The other one is Yuri Pensakovich. I've, I've just shortened his name, so it's similar. To, it's easier to, <laughs> to pronounce. And they lead two very separate groups in training for a threat that's about to come to Earth. Now, they have one year to train these special kids before the horde reaches Earth. So we've done a little bit of tidying up. So we've, uh, we've cleaned it up. So the one-year thing is all about... A horde, in, an impending horde invasion, mm-hmm. and what's to come. So they have one year to get ready before the uh, literal Saturday morning poop hits the fan. Why don't you tell them about uh, Professor Beth? Certainly, certainly. Now she is the academy science teacher, 
And uh, Neon, is, she's the kid's biggest confidant, and uh, she knows for a fact that she has a very special group of exceptional students in her class. Between herself and Dr. Tolima, they train the kids secretly in a hidden laboratory and uh, also a training center known as the Garden. Ooh. Now, now, Beth does, just like in the comic, have powers of her own, but she, like in the comic, keeps them from Dr. Tolima, and only the students know her secret. Now, speaking of the students, we have Viking, which is the erstwhile teen Harold Everson. Now, his powers are deflection and mind reading. He is also heavily interested in becoming the moratory leader of his group, but he struggles with the disapproval of his parents. But does he still have the one comic book? <laughs> we, we might give him a collection. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a limited series, a Marvel limited series. He one has, through four. He has one Atari 2600 cartridge, the uh, the last stand of the Black Watch that he just loves. And he's yes, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Snap. Uh, we know her as Snapdragon in the comic. This is Lorna, and uh, she is Harold's love interest and classmate. But she's got eyes for Big Robert, who we'll meet Ooh. in just a bit. Now, she can create plasma energy, but she also has the ability to shape it into, inanimate, into animated objects with a snap similar to Green Lanterns. Now, uh, Lorna is the top recruit of her group, and she's really, really into fitness. And this leaves Robert and Viking left, uh, you know, trying their damnedest to catch up. <laughs> now, speaking of Big Robert, he was known as Marathon in the comics. So they mm. sort of change it up here in the uh, in the cartoon like they, they were known to do. So he's known as Fort, and he's the jock with the mysterious past. He's got like a, he's got like self-consciousness issues in private. He's this big hulking guy, you know, out in public. But, you know, when he's by himself, he's got like serious self-conscious issues. So he's got a zest for fighting the horde, though. He can't wait to get started. He can't wait to get through his training. And he has the ability to grow bigger whenever he needs. So it's a little bit of a change in the little, uh, in how the comic handles him, where mm -hmm. he's just growing exponentially. He has the ability to grow bigger at will, basically. Now it comes in handy when fighting the horde, of course, but his powers are not yet refined as of right now. So he starts out with like a little bit of like a monster inside him, almost like a Hulk type deal where he has to try to keep it hidden. And he's learning how to control his monster and only a depth knows Robert's issues and tries to keep him under control. And they create that special bond around that. Mm -hmm. We've got Aileen, you know, Blackthorn. Now she's the bookworm of the group. She's also the ugly duckling of the group, or so she thinks. Now she spends most of her time studying and dreaming about Harold. Uh, she can melt things with her bare hands and she likes to build things in her spare time. She's obsessed with watching classic movies, and uh, she quotes famous li movie lines much to the dismay of her teammates. <laughs> then we move on to Jaylene, adept. She's the problem solver of the group, and she can solve mysteries with forensic pre precision. She's able to use her mind to see what happened in particular scenes, so it's really, really a useful a useful power right here. Uh, she's able to read people's minds in other languages, which is also cool. And we've done away with the, the entire Christian spin. It's not, mm. not entirely. So she has her moral values, but she's going to be the one who presents the moral side to this. So she's the one to grow on character. You know yeah. what I mean? Who, who always teaches the team the moral lesson. Very cool. We have a, uh, Oh, this is weird. We have a uh, Mikhail. This is splinter. A Russian foreign exchange student who has the ability to make things appear as they are not. Now, this is he basically splinters reality. Uh, this is an ability that he uses to conceal himself. He's an outsider who really doesn't gel well with the rest of the team, especially Big Robert. 
now a spy in the class who works with another house on campus to report the secrets of Neon and Talima's moratorium experiment to another group. Uh, he uses Aileen's insecurities in order to win her over, and uh, and she sticks with him. Mm. And like every great 80s cartoon, we always have the comedy relief. So mm-hmm. I gave the team a mechanical cat named Weebo. Now, they, Weebo protects the kids from harm and solves problems in the background. So, you know, when the kids think they're one step ahead, we got Weebo working in the background helping them out. Now, the cat has heightened X-ray eyes, scent abilities, and can get into anywhere at any time. So the cat is basically comic relief for the team, but it's actually Harold's cat who's secretly owned by the Eversons, his parents, <laughs> to keep a watch on his son while away from home. What was the name of the uh, of the Critter and Kid video that they introduced halfway through? Oh, uh, Toolbot. There you go. There you go. That's that's what yes. this reminded me of. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. I'm telling you right now, every single show that lasted always had a comedy relief character, whether it was mm-hmm. Scrappy-Doo or Orko, Robbie the Robot, yeah. Orko, all good stuff. Now, we hop to the other end of the campus here, and we meet another professor. This is Yuri Porg... Yuri. It's, it's yeah. Professor Yuri. <laughs> professor uh, Yuri. Now, He's working on behalf of the Padilla, and uh, he has his own team of trainees working toward the same one-year goal, which is unbeknownst to the other house on campus. Uh, nobody knows that Yuri's son is Splinter, who is, you know, secretly infiltrating Team Neon, as we'd mentioned. Now, his uh, one of his top members, we got Radian, Louis Armanetti. Uh, he's got he's the, working. He's working for the bad guys here. Yeah, he's on the other side of the fence here. Now he's got the ability to create bright lights and also pyro attacks, uh, probably like uh, Jubilee in the X Men cartoon with the uh, with the little poof poof poof, you know. Um, <laughs> now Louis is a conflicted recruit, and he's got feelings for Aileen over on Team Neon, and uh, he stumbles on the Horde secret invasion, but. He keeps that knowledge to himself, you know, because he doesn't know what the other team is secretly preparing either. Uh, Louis is is Hispanic, but he doesn't have his mustache. Um, He is overall a very likable kid, but he does wear a heavy conscience. He is uh, very, very conflicted. Then we move to his other team members. One is Brava. She's like a big, buxom, almost She-Hulk type strong girl. She's a hard-nosed leader of Team Yuri, and she's no fan of Harold Everson or his crew. <laughs> she's a super competitive personality who hates to lose and constantly berates the guys on her team to work harder and, you know, like literally do more. And she's nicknamed Dom. Now, we <laughs> also see Sheer, which is Walter Fezik, I don't know how to, how to pronounce his last name. Crazy Glue. Walter Crazy Glue. Walter Crazy Glue. His nickname is Fez. And uh, his powers include the ability to cut or shear things precisely. So he's the snobbish recluse, and I made him a vegan and also a CrossFit enthusiast. Now, mm-hmm. that was a little bit before our time, but he was, you know, he's... Uh, Whatever the he's 88 a, appro- 85 approximation yes. for CrossFit. Yeah. So maybe, maybe he was like... a Jane Fonda workout guy. There, <laughs> sweating to the oldies, I don't jazzerciser. know. Jazzerciser. <laughs> he's definitely a jazzerciser. <laughs> now, he can, he can slice veggies faster than anyone before him, but he's got a, like a passion for gardening, believe it or not. <laughs> and he keeps his room filled with plants that he carefully curates. So he's, you know, he's a little anal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now... Uh, it includes one Hordian plant that he unknowingly has intercepted that will come to pass in future episodes, and the team calls him Fez. Because mm-hmm, they cannot uh, they cannot pronounce Crazy Glue. Um, <laughs> now we have Silencer. This is Akia 
Bender and Nike. Yes. Uh, Akia. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. uh, <laughs> Makes things uh, quite quite as well the uh, the ability to turn the volume up as well as to rock and to shake things. So she's basically a human volume button. Now she's <laughs> Chinese in this iteration and she's very intelligent. Uh, she's the uh, yin to Aileen's yang, if you pardon the pun. Now she's equally uh, equally brilliant and aggressive. Uh, she's big in spelling competitions and also other school academic challenges. Uh, they call her Bandy. Uh, we got. Oh boy, we got wild card. Johnny <laughs> Cronella. Little Johnny. He is the fashion plate of the team. He keeps the team sharply dressed while having the ability to steal anyone's power who is nearby. Uh, he may, This makes him the team's most proficient student uh, as he can you know, more or less match anyone's intelligence or power just by being in proximity. Now, he's nicknamed Dash because he is a haberdasher, for goodness sake. (laughs) Indeed he is. He keeps those people in line here and dressed well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then, finally, we have Hardcase, which is Burke O'Halloran, which he's the straight-laced Academy recruit. Now, he's a strict rule follower. He doesn't like to break rules, and he's, you know, by the book in this school. Mm -hmm. And he has hardening abilities. Now, he's a staunch student. He's a staunch student who doesn't let his guard down, so he's, you know, strictly to the books and strictly to the rules. But he secretly struggles to get good grades. He has a learning disability, something new we've inputted here, and he doesn't want to shame his team by not being able to compete academically. So there you go. So that's our that's our little roster our of characters. Yes. Yeah. And now we have six episodes, so we're actually going to break down what just a very brief synopsis of, you know, what each episode would look like. So episode one is called Sports Day, and it's Team Neon versus Team Yuri, and the Academy's uh, annual trophy is on the line. The team trades wins back and forth as tensions rise. The school trophy all of a sudden goes missing as Aileen and Weibo go to find the missing trophy, and they find it in Harold's room. Hmm. Hmm. But we find out that Splinter put it there to frame our hero. Now, Aileen and Weibo get it back to the case before anyone knows it's missing. Like a little, you know, Scooby-Doo type mystery going on in the background. Now, Team Yuri wins the competition with cheating. And uh, Beth gives the team a little pep talk about being good losers. And what's important, that you, you do your best and have fun. But the school overturns the result and the team celebrates with Aileen. Weebo, however, is suspicious of the Splinter Kid. Hmm. We jump into the second episode, which is the spelling competition. Aileen takes on Ayaka, Bandy, in the uh, Padilla spelling competition. Ayaka gets a stomach bug, and Burke, that's hard case, has to fill in despite his insecurities regarding his learning disability. Now, Silencer helps Burke win... But a hard case refuses to cheat to win, and he tells the judges after the fact that he didn't win this competition fairly, and so it's overturned and Aileen is declared the winner. Now, Weebo finds a secret about Splinter, but everyone feels that he's just being silly because that's kind of what he does. Now, the Horde sends a student into the school to observe and report back as they plan their arrival, you know, within a year on Earth. Mm, so they're scouting out the kids. They're seeing what they're mm-hmm. uh, what they're up against. Sure. So episode three, it's called the new kids. So new kids in the class are Ruth, Pilar, and William, and they show up. Now Brava, of course, likes to bully any new kids, and she starts in bullying on William, and uh-huh. he wants to quit school right away. And as a result, um, you know, 
despite his teammates trying to help him out. He just he just wants to leave. He doesn't want any part of this big bully Brava. Now Brava, however, learns a lesson when Williams uh, William actually helps scare away a creepy intruder with his scatterbrain powers. Lorna, however, on the other side with the other recruits, she creates a plasma car and the team sneaks out on the town, landing them in big trouble. Now, Splinter, while he's out around, steals a soda in a store, but he blames it on Harold, of course. Hmm. Harold and Robert began arguing over stealing because it got him in trouble. And Lorna causes them to be bad friends. But they find out that despite the trouble, they need each other and they need each other's help. Mm-hmm. Episode four, Detention Blues. Now the kids, they all spend a week in detention because they had that night on the town last episode. Conflicts arise between Harold and Splinter. It starts bubbling to the surface. Robert and Jaylene confide in each other as Robert's concerned about his powers getting more and more out of control. Now Jaylene teaches him about having some non-denominational faith in himself. Aileen and Weebo discover proof regarding Splinter. Mm. Mm, it's here that Splinter is revealed to be Yuri's son, much to the dismay of his team. He's dismissed from Team Neon, and he returns to Team Yuri in disgrace. Lorna is expelled from the school, as uh, and the kids have to deal with this loss. Robert is particularly troubled, but again consoled by Jaylene. Radian, who is disgusted by his own team's efforts, remember he's on Team Yuri, he decides to leave that group and join Team Neon. Ah. Yes. Now, uh, during his first night there, he sees a mysterious transmission coming from one of the team members' computers, and he begins to speak to the mysterious voice emanating from the other end. Ooh. See how we're incorporating all the plot lines here mm-hmm. while well, still keeping it Saturday morning? Shall I love yes. it. All right. Episode five. This is called The Trouble with Parents. Now, Harold's parents show up after the big ordeal out on the town, <laughs> and they're ready to bring Harold home. And as he gets and he prepares to leave. Now, the, the team starts to feel dejected as they say goodbye to yet another friend. Now, Team Yuri, they debut their brand new expensive uniforms, and they're created by Wildcard, a good old Johnny, which gets the attention of the school newspaper and makes our heroes jealous. Now, Beth teaches the kids the importance of earning things, so the team begin a fundraiser to get proper uniforms, and the team break up into groups to make money. Meanwhile, Harold says goodbye to his friends, sadly, and, uh, you know, he says goodbye to everyone except Robert, who is having none of it, and he walks away in disgust that his friend is leaving. Now, Jaylene and Aileen and Weebo, they start a tutoring service, to which their first call, to their surprise, is Hard Case from Team Yuri, Mm. who's who's secretly struggling with the yearning, with learning. Um, the team bonds with him right away. Now, Ruth, Pilar, and William raise money selling cookies door to door. Now, Robert, who was supposed to be teamed with Harold, uh, is now trying to work in an animal shelter to make money, and he's washing dogs. Now, just as he is about to give up, Harold shows up, and he's staying. He's not going home. He's decided against it. He's not having none of it. So he wants to stay, and both he and Robert share a big laugh. Bathing a dog in the bathtub leaves the boys covered in water. Now, the team, they show up a little bit later in the lunchroom. Now, a few things that are going on here. You see the team, and they're trying to get everything ready for for their costumes. So they're playfully using their powers in tandem, like you see in the comic books, and they're discussing uh, that they are $1,000 short of the costume fund. Beth interrupts and tells the team that a donation has come in anonymously, and the team now has a full host of costumes being made as they speak, and they're excited as we see the new teams for the uniforms. Now, we see Robert 
in front of, yeah, we see um, Louie in front of the computer screen again, and he discovers that the aliens are indeed on their way now and not in one mm. year. So it's within one year. Hmm. Now, episode six, unwanted visitors, and uh, here is where the horde arrives. Now, uh, Louie tries to warn the others in the house that the horde are coming, but, you know, when he when he's asked to show proof, guess what? The computer ain't showing that message anymore. So it's his word against whatever. Now, he begs Beth Neon to heed his warning, but guess what? It's spring break. and Our heroes are all oh. spending the day at the beach. Now, Jaylene, Aileen, and Weebo, are, they're still studying diligently. That's sort of their gig. And the rest of them, they're out there going swimming. Uh, Weebo intercepts an emergency beacon at this point. Robert and Harold are out hiking in the mountains, and a tree falls on Harold, uh, caused by a cloaked alien scout ship descending upon the Earth. Robert is forced to use his powers to free Harold, who is stunned in seeing his uh, teammate's aggressive transformation. Now, as Robert comes down from his transformation, he, you know, hulks down a bit, uh, he explains to Harold about what's exactly going on. Uh, this conversation is interrupted by an alarm on Harold's vidcom. Now, our heroes arrive at the Moratory Academy and are and uh, are introduced to Dr. Talima, who reveals to the team exactly what's going on. They also are presented with their new costumes here, much to their relation. Yep, and the warning sound uh, strikes out through the hall, so we get to see Tulima sending the recruits to the secret hangar bay, which appears hidden in a chamber below the facility, and up rises a large white jet uh, to the amazement of the team. Now, Tulima announces that it's the SF-87. It's a hypersonic jet, and the team cheers as we see them leap aboard. Now, Robert, of course, he demands control of the jet because he is the pilot of the uh, of the group. Uh, mm-hmm. Overhead, we see another blimp-like vehicle soaring over the compound. It's Team Yuri. And Brava, who sits at the controls, waves sarcastically to the hero. So they beat him to the punch, and they're also ready for the invasion. And uh, they're already on the job and sails right on by. Now, the strike force launches into battle, and we get a shot of a swarm of Hordian cruisers above Earth. And we finally meet a Hordian commander, Thundercrush, and the Gentle Inquirer. And the Hordians, they have a little bit of a different look uh, from their comic book likenesses, mm-hmm. as their testicle chins have now been replaced with, like, tentacle-like things. I and Crush... Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, no, no testes on Saturday morning, <laughs> folks. And Crush speaks. He said, Earth is ours. Commence the invasion. Now Earth will feel the full wrath of the Hordian people. The end of season one. There you go. There's yeah, your there's yeah. your pitch. There you go. We got to get CBS on this. Or is FHE still in business? I mean, <laughs> oh, I I don't know. That that's a good uh, that's a good call out there. I don't know. I I, I would hope they are because they did so much for my childhood. So mm-hmm. tell us, listen, folks, tell us what you think of uh, of our pitch. Do you think it would work? Is there anything we can improve on? We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And some ideas for season two, if there ever was one. I mean, so many of these, I mean, I just looked up the little Muppet monsters. It only ran three episodes. There so, you go. So they needed a, uh, they needed a mid season fill in right quick. They did. <laughs> they did. And uh, we've got one that comes fully equipped with a cliffhanger and hopefully that'll be answered. But to the other side of the thing here, we got the comic that we're going to discuss today, which is of course, strike force moratory issue number 18. This had a May 1988 cover date. 
It's called Will. I wonder if that's named after anybody. Hmm. Uh, it's written by Peter <laughs> B. Gillis. Uh, Brent Anderson is back on the pencils. This time he's inked by Scott Williams, who uh, did the whole issue last time by himself. Uh, letters, Phil Felix. Colors, Max Scheel. Edits, Carl Potts. The cheese is still DeFalco. Yes, because he stinks, just like cheese. It's true. It's true. <laughs> now, cover price, $1 USD, one twenty-five can, and <gasps> price hike in the UK. Price hike in the UK. Ooh. Ooh, boy, they used to have to pay 40 Ps. Now it's 50 Ps. So wow. That's a lot that of sounds, Ps to carry around. That, that sounds like a lot. It does. It does. I don't know what a P looks like or how much it weighs, but carrying 50 has got to take its toll. Now, uh, <laughs> this had a release date of January 5th, 1988. So now both our release and cover dates are firmly in the year 1988. Now, starting off with the solicitation here, we got, It's one thing to know your superpowers will kill you someday, but as Moratori's scatterbrain learns, it's another thing entirely to have death stare you in the face. Maybe this not. is this is this is actually a good solicit because it actually yeah. it doesn't give too much away, but doesn't yet it describes what's going on in the book. Perfect. Exactly. exactly. Uh, now cover another another good thing here. I, I really like this cover here. Oh, uh, me too. Yeah, it's a bright yellow cover, so it does jump <laughs> right off into your eyes here. We've got like a giant Will Deguchi head here, and he's sending his <laughs> powers. Uh, in the form of these like reddish pink lightning bolts uh, toward the rest of the team. And they're, they they all look like they've got like splitting headaches. They're all just like overcome by his, you know, by his mental transmission here. I, I like I like yellow covers, man. They really stick sure. out on a, on a shelf. You know what I mean? When I see something that has a bright yellow cover, you think about Silver Age and like Bronze Age books. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of those books were captured with like bright, you know, bright backed covers and all that type sure. of thing. So even Golden Age, a lot of Golden Age were splashy red covers and different things, you know, bold logos. And uh, this one really sticks out to me. So really, really good job on the cover here. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about like uh, even like post crisis. You had uh, the John Burns Superman number one had the bright yellow cover. Uh, Loved it. Flash number one had a bright yellow cover. It's uh, it's interesting because I, I this one of those things I never thought about and until I started blogging and I if you've ever visited my blog it's it's orange you know the the, the background <laughs> is orange and I was just shocked to see how many orange and yellow covers that, of books that I was discussing it just, it, it's so weird it's something I never thought about before that and uh, and, and orange and it's very orange orange doesn't seem like a common color I, I'm surprised right? by that actually yeah, yeah. very very weird. But uh, yes, this is a great cover here. Really, uh, really gives you an idea of what might just happen here. Um, but we open the cover up and we look inside, and uh, we get a first page, which is an introduction to the team. So uh, I wonder if this means we're going to avoid that contrived powers in tandem scene this time out. Oh my God, this is an interesting page because again. <laughs> for the second page, as soon as you flip past the cover, you get another giant Will's head, and they, yep. like you get to see the team sort of floating around them with their name and description of their powers, but seemingly to make a little bit of an error here, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but they say mm-hmm. sheer breaker of molecular bonds. That's how they describe his powers. Does he all of a sudden become a lean, or what is the story here? I always thought when they introduced him, he was had the ability to shear items. They didn't describe molecular bonds at all, so this comes a little bit of a surprise to me. I was going to say, I think this is the first time it's been described this way. Um, we could probably argue that 
it's exactly what he does, but it's never been described in, in these words before. And uh, anytime we do see something regarding molecular bonds, it's always alien based uh, in this book. So it is uh, definitely a different way to describe him. And uh, they also call hard case a petrifier. Ooh. <laughs> I don't like that. Um, now, now, much of this issue will be told in the form of Will DeGucci's narration boxes. Uh, and he is, uh, and this is a really good scene. Here. I mean, this is, this is a good issue. We'll spoil it for you. It's a good issue. Um, yep. But this scene is really cool here. He, he like recalls the team having a discussion that maybe happened, maybe didn't happen, but we'll get into that as we go. Now he has every character and uh, yeah, cause he's reintroducing everybody. He's basically saying, you know, here's sheer, this is his powers and he's dying. Here's, you know, Pilar. She does this. I mean, I mean, here's a uh, toxin. She does this and she's dying. So we're getting the, uh, we're getting the whole, the moratory process is going to happen thing without actually having to go through a couple of pages of, Hey guys, remember you're going to die within a year, which is pretty yeah. efficient use of, uh, of space. I don't know what this says about the book, but uh, missing from the picture is Pilar, which mm-hmm. is, uh, which is Will's own romantic interest somewhat. And, you know, uh, he seemingly leaves her out of his thoughts, which is, which is kind of weird. And what about Blackthorn? I mean, Aileen disappeared Ooh. like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she she literally disappeared. She escaped two issues ago and hasn't been brought up since. And like yeah. nobody even gives her a second thought that we got this moratory recruit with molecular bond yeah. melting powers on the run. It's crazy. Easy. Now, Will is in a darkened room here. And at first blush, I assumed he was in some sort of like mental or behavioral facility because it's mm. like there's no furniture. He's it looks like he's wearing a hospital gown. That's it's true. Just, it just looks like that's what I was expecting from this issue at first blush. Um, adding to that, the fact that he is still struggling with something the moratory monster did to him. Because once he made contact, Will has been unable to stop seeing and hearing certain things. And these are things that scare him all the way to his core. This is uh, some pretty heavy stuff that we'll be getting it into is. with Will. Now, he recalls reactions that his teammates had to the recent events in the desert. And this is... The conversation we were alluding to before, I don't know if this conversation actually happened or not, but we'll get yeah. there. Yeah, now, it is. Yeah, it's, it's it's an odd setup here, but I agree. It, is, it yep. is. Now, Backhand is shocked that the process has been perverted in such a way as to make monsters. Hardcase, who, if you recall, is the West Point graduate, very, um, you know, very hard to break rank with his superiors. He actually gives the Padilla the benefit of the doubt, and he suggests that the monsters were all born out of a, quote, accident, and not because of the Padilla doing anything particularly nefarious. Hmm. Mm. Now, Toxin doesn't agree. Now, to- Toxin, she speaks her mind here. She is just so angry that the Padilla went behind Dr. Tulima's back. If you remember, the Gen 2 characters they're tight with Talima. They were allowed to meet with him, and they still, as as of last issue, they still have regular contact with him. Uh, Silencer, you know, the Gen 3, she backs up Hardcase, and she brings up the point that, you know, we're in a war, and we need as many powered recruits as possible because, hey, we're not going to live forever. They need to replace us. So yeah. maybe not the right way of doing it, but she's on board with them actually doing it 
And man, they're not giving us many reasons at all to like dig G3 whatsoever. Oh. I mean, Generation 3, they're like, they support the Padilla and they're not open to the idea of corruption. Like, they are 100% on the side of, you know, the, polit- the politics, politic world, you know what I mean? So yeah. it makes them feel like they're outsiders to the reader still. So they're they're not mm-hmm. trying to make them endearing at this point, which should be interesting a little bit down the road, see how that pans out. Yeah, they're not they're not rocking the boat at all. They just they they're like, okay, well these are what the boss has told us, so that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, we jump we jump over to Brava, who wonders a lot about Dr. Talima. She says that he's being viewed as a problem by the Padilla, and she's actually got a little bug under her skin here. She's wondering and she's annoyed that the third genders have been kept so far away from him. They they don't get to they never got to meet him, even though he is, you know, in a way their father, you know? Yeah, that's strange because it's interesting that they keep that they've kept G three away from Talima. I you know I don't really understand it. And there's a, there's a little thing that happens a little bit later on that we'll get into, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, as he's the guy who runs the moratory engineering plant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He basically creates moratory, or he did. He was in the process, but they're backing up every single thing that uh, you know the Padilla spits at him. And yeah. there's a whole lot happening behind the scenes that they're not aware of. But uh, man, I can't wait to see when they finally when they finally get the reveal of exactly what's happening behind the scenes and will they still support the Padilla? It's going to be interesting. Yeah, because because uh, Brava here actually she's showing like some signs of skepticism. She. She continues thinking out loud here, and she's wondering if maybe Louis was right. You know, when when he mm. when he set, you know, when he you know faced off with the Padilla and called them on the carpet, she's like maybe he was right. Uh, now Sheer, you know, the guy who killed, murdered Louis. God. He basically he's standing there like a petulant child yelling, "He was a traitor! He was well, a traitor!" <laughs> well, Louis was a traitor. It's he was, very simple. He was. <laughs> Still, something seems off with the Louis story. I mean, you know, I, something just don't sit right with me. He was simply released from horde capture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he gets to reveal that there is no cure, but there's there's just something not right with that picture. I, I can't see it just leaving that plot line exactly how it ended. There's it feels some, unfinished. Yeah, yeah, seems like there's something else to come down the road about that. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so, because it does feel very, very undone. Um, now, Will is recounting this event, interjecting his own thoughts with every line spoken, spoken here, and it's very powerful stuff. It has this very unearthly, ethereal sort of a feel here. Um, just uh, the use of, like, you know, stark blacks rather than detailed backgrounds here really make this work, um, which it also makes it unclear whether or not these conversations actually happened or these things were actually said out loud exactly. or maybe maybe i mean will has his power his psychic powers maybe these are just things he knows because he was able to read them um whatever mm. the case this is really good stuff here because they're not speaking like it's a very disjointed conversation which lends itself to the possibility that will was just reading minds and it's like, okay, well, she feels doubtful. He feels angry. He's okay with it. You know, just a lot of that kind of stuff. And, it, and it's really cool here. Um, it is worth noting that uh, Will, he's wearing a foot and leg brace uh, early in the scene here. <laughs> and uh, it goes away. It goes away during the scene. So I'm not sure if that's something we're supposed to read into or if it's maybe just a, a, a gaffe in the art. 
Don't well, know. I think if I think if we had an editor in chief worth his salt, <laughs> that this would have been picked up on. But you, you know think? what? I think I think there's something to your to your idea that this could all be in Will's head. Like, is he yeah. just you know having random thoughts and putting himself in different positions in his own mind? And is this actually happening? We don't really know that answer at this point. But that's uh, true. I think he sort of his concentration gets broken very very it quickly does. here. <laughs> it does. From it gets broken by the arrival of Scaredy Cat. And she runs in and calls him Honey Buns um, and <laughs> shoves him down on the bed. Uh, Will's head, however, is definitely otherwise engaged. He's still, you know, he's still lost in thought here. He's got all these these feelings and uh, memories and just everything's bubbling to the surface inside his head here. And he tells her, he confides in her, he's unable to stop the visions he's having and... Uh, Again, that he might have been supercharged by the moratory monsters. He might, it's just he's been affected by the recent events here. And here, as she's trying to make time with him, he drops a rather heavy bombshell on her. He looks her in the eye and he says uh, he's seen some stuff. He knows he knows when people are going to die. And uh, Pilar, you are going to be the next moratory to die. Jeez, nothing, uh, nothing ends a a, a romantic night like that. <laughs> you think, God. yeah. Good lord, <laughs> what a cock blocker there. But anyway, <laughs> the G two cast don't even seem like they've been around long enough to you know be next to die, but I guess they have been. I mean, I think freshman, the freshman issue was issue eight or yep. something maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's ten issues at this point, which is probably longer than most of the originals lasted. To be quite honest no doubt. with you. No doubt. But, uh, you know, reading this first, I took it, you know, as Deguchi wasn't interested in, you know, the wiles of the woman. <laughs> but uh, but he turns it on afterwards. So it's sad we didn't get to see more of the Pilar Deguchi relationship early on because I, re- I really dig it, man. No, they work very well together. I, I enjoy them, too. They're I mean, as um, as the freshmen here, we, we kind of gave them a bunch of crap. But uh, absolutely. But I mean, they, they have like this odd innocence to them. And uh uh, you know, we we are dealing with young people here, but none of them have really been treated like children. Um, I mean, Harold, he had his comic book, but I mean, he was, we still looked at him as a young adult. With absolutely with Deguchi and Pilar here, they always seemed they always seemed like you know junior high. You know, they always seem like kids, and it's uh it's very endearing to to see them you know gravitate toward one another. Um, now he, after after he drops his bombshell saying, "Hey, you're about to die." She's okay with it. Um, she's like, cool, mm-hmm. okay. Just, that's what we signed up for. If it's coming, it's coming. Whatever. And uh, they make out for a little bit. So <laughs> good, Will is good on you, night, douche. Evening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Will Will is uh, Will's status in the group has uh, has moved up significantly for me. <laughs> it's true. Now he's the ladies' man. <laughs> he is. I it, I mean, we mentioned earlier that only Aileen had sex in this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, he, he she probably will remain the only one to as well if you keep using those lines. Well, <laughs> hey, baby, you're gonna be next to die. You know that that that, that doesn't equal sack time. Yeah, it'd be funny if she comes in and she's like, tell me I'm going to die. Tell me I'm going to die. I apologize. Uh, Now, meanwhile, in South Africa, we have a horde cruiser flying over Cape Town, and they happen across a yacht. Now, before blowing the thing to bits, they notice a familiar form on board, and it's Hammersmith. Now, this is the Hordian who was assumed dead from a few issues ago, and Thundercrush's BFF. The Horde retrieves him, gets him on board, and then destroys the yacht. With with the humans still with on board. With the humans board, still on it. Yep. <laughs> they basically slaughtered him. Now, we haven't seen 
much of the hordes, you know, the vile aggression that they've been showcasing in like the early issues because they've been basically neutered yeah. by the moratorium in recent battles. I mean, they've been really, really set back. I mean, the moratorium on every single front has been just wiping them out in like, you know, just a couple pages. So mm-hmm. I think they're uh, they're showing uh, their aggression here now and taking it out on these poor folks on a yacht. Now, is this the same yacht? That Radian brought the, the brought the group on and had Harold's parents on the whole nine yards. Is that the same one? I you know I don't know. Maybe maybe Harold's parents just died. <laughs> we didn't realize. That. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. The one that they were out in the ocean because they took the Eversons with them in that uh, in that ship. Mm, so maybe yeah maybe I because wonder, the, yeah. Because uh, th- the uh, what's his name Thunder Crush is yeah. that who was on there or or oh, Hammersmith. No, uh, Hammersmith. Hammer, yeah. Yeah. So was Hammersmith the one on 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 that uh, yacht, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to go back and check it, take a look at that because yeah, yeah, I really want to see that. And and like you mentioned here, that we don't we haven't seen this sort of horde versus humanity in a while. It's only been horde versus moratory. Yep. So this is kind of a shock back to normalcy or back to what, what how we came into this. You know, back in the day where they were you know throwing humans into orbit to make them pop into uh, <laughs> into shooting stars or whatever. Um, and it's here, you know, we have Hammersmith on board, and we learn that all's not well with the Horde. Uh, Thundercrush, his leadership has been called into question by the Gentle Inquirer, mm. and so his authority has been challenged. Now, we look inside, like, the Horde Citadel, and it's, like, been set up in this ritualistic sort of a situation here. We have both Hordians, Thundercrush, and the Gentle Inquirer. They're sitting on like a stage in, within these ceremonial circles facing one another. And they've got like they've got like little sticks that they're holding. It's it's very, very interesting looking uh, ritual here. Uh, we're not exactly sure what it includes, but it looks pretty impressive. Now, the Inquirer posits that Thundercrush is not fit to rule. And he claims that he is too emotionally damaged by the loss of his BFF Hammersmith to effectively lead the Horde to victory against the Earth and Strike Force Moratory. Now, one comment here, and it's it sort of sticks out to me. Have we ever seen Hordian women? Oh boy, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Have we? I don't think so either, because, I mean, you got these relationships, you know what I mean, between these, you got Thundercrush and Hammersmith and, you know, there were BFFs and one is like emotionally ravaged because the other one is gone. I mean, are yeah. they suggesting like, like almost like homosexuality amongst the Horde? Is that what's or happening just here? Un- maybe like a unisexuality, like there's only, it, wow, you know, hmm. so that you know, is great. I never noticed that there weren't any women. I, I don't recall any, maybe. Someone no, can, I think uh, you're right. So this is basically a Hordian sausage fest. <laughs> That's what's going on. <laughs> but I, I don't know if anyone's ever asked that question because, you know, I, w- what I do like about this whole scene is that we're seeing a little bit more about Hordian culture. So not only do we not see Hordian women, but we also see the Hordian court system. So this yep. basically looks like a trial and it looks like how they deal with things is to have two Hordians face off in battle. Now, we never get to see the actual battle or the confrontation because it's cut short, but... You know, we yeah. see two two very very interesting questions on Hordian culture right here. So that guy that asked the question in the uh, in the letters column there yeah. a couple issues ago, I think we're starting to see little pieces of that being answered right here. No doubt, no doubt. As you mentioned here, the proceedings here they are interrupted because Hammersmith arrives, and he saunters on up to the stage and he punches the Inquirer in the face. Uh, now this is taken as a counter challenge. And so this ritual will be pr- briefly postponed in order to include this alteration here. So 
Where there was two, there is now going to be three, but we will get there. First, we jump back to the New Haven Institute and we catch up with Dr. Tolimo, who's been kind of AWOL for the past few issues. Now, it's clear that he has found out all about the perversion of his process and, you know, how the Padilla went behind his back and created those monsters. He is uh, pretty ravaged here. He's pretty shaken. Um, His thoughts are interrupted by the arrival of the next crew of recruits. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Back up the truck. Hold Mm -hmm. the phone here. So Tolima is at this point is supposed to be removed from the process. They basically neutered his ability to create new recruits. So they're going to do it on their own. The Paidea is going to make their own set of moratorium and all that type of stuff. And he's Tolima is intentionally being kept away from the G3 recruits. Mm -hmm. Yet he's being given a fourth generation to train like such mixed, you know, mixed messages here on this. I don't know what to think. Yeah, it's like I, we don't we don't get to meet these new recruits yet because Talim is not in the right headspace to deal with any of this. So he just sends everybody. He's like, not not now. Another time. We'll do this another time. So it's like I'm wondering, like, is this like a lame duck team? Is this just like is this just something to keep Talima busy so he doesn't pay attention to the Padilla? <laughs> Are they just trying to, like, keep him working so he doesn't have time to investigate? It's like the yeah. saved by the bell the college years. It's just not the same. It's true. It's true because, I mean, we're gonna we're, as we go deeper into this issue here, uh, Talima is going to he's going to investigate further, and uh, this all might be a subterfuge. You know, it's like keep keep you know hitting him with new recruits, keep giving him students, keep giving him uh, mentees here, so he's busy and away from the computer consoles. Keep him working. So I, maybe that's what it is, but it is very very weird to see after. I mean, it's been probably a half year's worth of issues at this point that we've seen him do anything effective. That's true. And, uh, and here we are. I mean, the last thing he did was watch Beth Neon die. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's true. Uh, now, we hop from here. We hop aboard the Super Train to catch yes, up with Yuri. Sir. So I'm loving the Super Train concept. And I did check out that YouTube video he sent me. Of, uh, <laughs> that was amazing. Like, what a yep. great idea. Like, love boat on a Super on Train. A train. That's, fan- yep. that's fantastic. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm just wondering, and it's just another one of these questions, just like the Horde one. Why do they, where are they going and what necessitates a train? Isn't it better to have, like, a hidden base? Like, <laughs> where's their jet? Is it inside the train? Like, where does know, the train yeah. does the train stop? Does it drive itself? You know, <laughs> I mean, think about it. You're on a train. You're more likely, in my opinion, to be picked off by the horde because you're out in the open. Would you not agree? I, I, especially since I, I'm guessing that this train just runs in a circle. You know, it, <laughs> it, it, where does where does it go? Right. It doesn't it's, make it's, sense. Like, where are yeah. they? Are, like, are they going to their next destination? Are they just on a train? Which is okay to me. I don't need any exp- any further sure. explanation to be on a super train. But uh, uh, I think just, it just goes around the Christmas tree. That's it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. <laughs> I love it. Now, Yuri here is um, he's showing some like rare, you know, uh, dissension here. He's he's standing up for himself here. He. He's on the line with the Padilla, and he demands that they give the Moratoria another mission because, you know, the natives are kind of getting restless. You know, uh, they're not they're not cool with what's going on here. At the very least, they have questions. That's the problem. Um, now, the Padilla's argument against this is that uh, they feel the Moratoria have grown too unstable, yes. which uh, ah, that might be another reason why we have a Gen 4 coming up. Uh, they, the Padilla might see our current heroes as a problem needing to be solved 
Um, now, Yuri, as we mentioned, in a rare show of defiance, he really presses the issue here. It's funny, because if the Padilla honestly doesn't trust the, the moratory, but yet they have ties to G3, which is sort of a... Yeah. Coinc- you know, it's a coincidence, don't you think? Like, speaking out of both sides of their ass here for some totally. reason. Totally, yeah. It's like, it, it's almost like, you know, the uh, the, you know, the jig is up, you know, and they they maybe they think that G3 knows too much and they're not as dumb as they thought they were. They're not just the tools that they wanted them to be. And, uh, hmm. and you know, we do have a little bit of dissension here. And it's, uh, they, they think they want to just cut their losses at this point. Now, uh, Yuri, he informs his superiors that there is some dissension in the ranks of the Horde, and he figures this might be the most advantageous time to take the fight directly to their citadel in Cape Town. I haven't the foggiest idea how Yuri knows anything about this, right? <laughs> nope. Um, all the stuff going on in South Africa, I have no idea, but we'll, we'll let it go. We'll let it go. Maybe that'll be answered later. Maybe it Especially won't. Especially when you're on a train circling the Christmas tree. You, right? You, know, you, you tend to know less. <laughs> you do. You do. You know, all you know is which lights went out, is which uh, you know, bulbs burnt out. Um, <laughs> now, the Badia ultimately agree, and they give Yuri the big thumbs up. It's like, okay, go to Cape Town, take advantage of this situation, do your thing. And before we know it, we are on the Moratory jet headed for Cape Town. The entire team is there, and along for the ride is commander yuri himself <laughs> i like the fact how they stick yuri on this jet and he's not ready so he's got this giant suit to yep. help him fly you know what i mean and uh you know he's already getting motion sickness he's not used to mm-hmm. any of this stuff now the moratory they've got special power so they're used to being on a hypersonic jet and sure. just launching out of nowhere but poor yuri he's overweight probably got high blood pressure <laughs> you know you know what i mean he, he's being launched like a dart into the air and he you know he, he's not ready this is a disaster for him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now as the jet nears its destination we go back to will de gucci and he is still lost in thought now the thing is he's becoming more and more curious you know his his love interest is going to die very soon he wants to know what happens to the mind when it's on the brink of death and even into death Yikes. and yeah and he's really really getting he's really getting into this thought here and he actually sends his consciousness out to a hospital. He wants to uh, he wants to feel death. He wants to see what death is, and he comes across a man in a coma at the Zane's Guard Hospital, and he infiltrates this fella's brain, and immediately realizes that coma and death are two different things. Now I think this is key to like the how the book actually ends, and I won't spoil it right here, but you know if someone can be locked away in their own mind, like like in a coma, and not mm-hmm. technically die, but yet someone who's in a coma is basically safe. You know they don't have the they don't have the worries of the world around them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they're in their own head, so they're okay, which I think is key foreshadowing here. Very very true. Now will. Despite this, he knows that he can experience death, but he is going to have to push his powers a whole lot harder to do so here. Uh, We jump over to the Horde, and this ceremony has reconvened, and it now consists of three circles with, you know, Hammersmith, uh, Thundercrush, and the Inquirer. However, before this can kick off, they sense the arrival of their enemy, the Strike Force Moratori. Boy, this and, court system is sort of like on Family Guy when like Kool-Aid Man kept crashing through the wall. It was crazy. <laughs> it's, it's a snake bit ceremony. For sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Moratori jet hurdles towards Horde HQ. And, and this is a really cool scene here because they're barreling towards the Horde. And they're like, 
it looks like they're going to take the horde out just by crashing into them. But then they harden, courtesy of hard case, they harden the jet, they hit a hard left, and they plow directly through the wall of the Hordian armory. I love this. It's like some. It's yeah. like two cars on the road, and one just decides to like wheel over and slam the other one off the road. It's perfect. The more they show the usefulness of the powers, like I dig Hardcase's powers, man. Like what yeah. else can he harden? Can he harden himself to be invulnerable for for the attack? You know, sure. His his powers are not called hardening, so they they actually called it petrification on the opening page, and alludes to you know, turning things into like hard statue almost type things. So mm-hmm. uh, it's an interesting power moving forward, how they're going to play with this. But I really, really thought it was great to harden the ship temporarily just to slam it to the compound. Oh, Genius yeah. use of power, man. For sure. And it protects the jet. It's just a really good thing. Um, now, they all disboard here or deboard. And Deguchi senses that the hordes, they're approaching. They're going to be here very, very soon. And it's in this scene where Brava actually says the tagline of the series. She turns to Sheer and says, we were about to die. So how about that? I thought that was interesting. I mean, you finally get the uh, the tagline that you've seen on the top of this book the whole time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we've been saying it the entire while, you know what I mean, with our introduction and the yep. basis of our show, but it's the first time that someone's actually said it. It's, that, it's almost like that cringy line that you see in the movie, you know, when, when, they, they, say, the title. when, when yeah. they say the title, but it, it was cool. I liked it. Yeah, yeah, especially since it took them 18 months to do it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just as uh, Deguchi has promised, the Horde arrives in no time flat. Now, Brava fastball specials Toxin and Scaredy Cat into the baddies. You know, she just tosses them both here, just hurls them over her shoulders. Uh, um, and in a very cute bit here, Pilar, you know, the junior high girl, she starts chasing after one of the Hordians, who looks like it's running <laughs> away like a scalded dog yelling, Scaredy Cat, Scaredy Cat! <laughs> that was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. Now, as the battle rages, uh, you know, the moratory, they're squaring off with the horde here. All Will Deguchi can do is look on. I mean, he's still so preoccupied here. Then he sees his chance, what he wanted to do this whole trip. He sees a Hordian just about to die. And he decides to send his consciousness into it. And he learns all about death. Uh, he learns that death equals pain, too much pain, so much that he cannot bear to stand it. Now, this sensation is so powerful that he can't help but to project it. Now, interesting note about his power. When he started, he couldn't. He always projected his power no matter yes, what he does. So he couldn't control we, it. Yeah. yeah, we've seen a progression with his power, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah, it's definitely had a maturation to it. But at this at this point, this was way, way, way too much for him to bottle down. So he's projecting death into this armory and everybody in it, human and Hordian alike, feels death and they hit the floor and it is wild. Now, this somber and sobering scene is interrupted by big fat commander Yuri, who, uh, (laughs) He comes bounding out of the jet, and he's he's annoyed to see his soldiers laying down on the job. He's like, hey, we got stuff to do. Now, how come he wasn't? That's what I'm wondering. Will's projection isn't affecting him. Was it because he was in, like, the hardened jet that he was concealed from it? Or Who knows? Did it not transmit? Because, because when Yuri comes out, we still see the waves of emotion. So mm. it's very weird. I wonder if there's more to Yuri. I mean, Yuri, he seemed to know that the Horde was in disarray. Here, he's not affected by uh, 
by uh, Will's power. Um, unless these are just really, really, really staggering editorial gaffes, th- this might be something. I, I don't I, remember, but it might. I be. think I think you're onto something. I think there's more to Yuri than we've seen, which is going to be mm-hmm. cool. Hopefully, they yeah. do reveal that. But uh, Will's control of his powers and his understanding, obviously, you're coming to the forefront finally. Yes. And instead of in, indiscriminately affecting everybody, he can he well with this situation he's affecting he's everybody. But yeah, but he's learned that he can transmit it only you know in, internally or project it on somebody else or dive into somebody else. Will is becoming a lethal weapon, man. No doubt, no doubt. Now he looks at his teammates and he can see them like sort of like mentally broken down to their component parts, which might be like maybe giving him an idea of what they'll be feeling, thinking, and seeing at the moment of their own deaths. Maybe. We might be thinking a little too hard about this, but he turns to Brava, and she is frozen in fear. I mean, big, you know, hulking, super strong Brava is frozen like a child. Toxin starts choking on her own toxic saliva. Uh, Backhand instinctively raises a shield to, to protect himself. Hard case, our West Point grad, Stands there and accepts it. Interesting. He just stands mm. there. He's like, this is my fate. Here we go. Uh, silencer curls up inside. We jump to Sheer, however, who gets all sorts of ticked off here. He is stomping mad. He wants a fight. And uh, at the brink of death, he will be very violent, apparently. Um, also, he doesn't want to look second best to their fat Russian commander. <laughs> so <laughs> he hops into this battle. He just starts killing Hordians left and right, including Hammersmith. Uh-oh. Now, yeah, he, he and he finally gets his shearing hands on the leader of the Horde, Thundercrush, who's still in his ceremonial garb. And he kills him, too. Oh, man. Sheer is kicking ass and taking names here. Like, his yep. his powers of heart shearing have become incredibly useful. Good mm-hmm. Lord, I thought he was only breaking down molecular bonds. No, he's shredding hearts, brother. He's taking he people out. And he just took out the Hordian leader without any fight. He With just, no he fight. just And his BFF, which is, yes. uh, which is problematic, but probably great for the Gentle Inquirer, because now two of the spokes in his wheel are out of his way. Exactly, exactly. Two hurdles have been leveled here. Now, Yuri, he's like, hey, we just took out a a horde leader. Let's get while the getting's good. (laughs) Good (laughs) idea. And he calls everybody to reboard the jet. Deguchi, however, he isn't quite done here. He tries to get a read. And this is where I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit questioned here. He's either getting a read on Thundercrush or Hammersmith. I can't tell. Uh, even though they look very different, I'm not still not sure of the scene, how the scene's playing out here. Now, what he gets at this read isn't pain. You know, the, the immense and uncontrollable pain of death isn't there. And it's really not anything bad. All he can sense from this dying Hordian is love. Love for his fellow Hordesmen who mm. had just passed away. It's almost like he's... I mean, he's not only dying of a severed heart, but he's dying of a broken heart, which is interesting. It's just, it's just another, it's like another interesting spin on the Hordian animals, you know what I mean? Yeah. These big invaders. They're not the saddest that we believed them to be first when they arrived. I mean, they have emotions and feelings, and we've seen it yeah. in in different uh, different issues, especially the one with the, the carjacking and all yeah. that type of stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot more to the to this Cordian culture than we know, and it's not all pure evil. So I'm really yeah. digging how they're unfolding this slowly. 
No, no, the depth that they're that they're interjecting here is really it's it's so much food for thought because even though they have different goals and different outlooks than the humans here, it's like you know the the they what's that 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 old tired cliche saying like you know people the the worst people never see themselves as villains you know they're just doing what they're doing because it's what they do so it's it's very interesting to see here that uh, you know the horde they are capable of love they are capable of caring of sympathy of empathy and uh, all we've been told and in almost it's almost like we're part of the story here and have been taken in by the Padilla propaganda. Which exactly. is just a whole other layer to this that that makes this series just so special, but uh, very very cool stuff here. Love this scene, but uh, we we do wrap up the issue here. We've got Pilar trying to drag Will back on the jet because he is just like he's as dumbstruck as we are. He he wasn't expecting to see love, um, and then we see the gentle inquirer watching this all unfold, and he's like, hey, that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's he just punched his own ticket. He knows what he's doing next. Um, we, uh, we do like a double scene here. Part of it's going to take place in New Haven. The rest of it's going to take place in this armory. But first in New Haven, we've got Dr. Talima sitting before his computer console and he feels like he's been pushed just as far as he could push, be pushed. And he, uh, purges the moratory database. He deletes it from the system. So I guess they never mm-hmm. backed up, but, uh, they, uh, he has just purged all of his information, all of his data, all of his research from the Padilla console. Interesting. Now the ending scene with Pilar and Will, we've got uh, Will standing there and uh, maybe you can explain it a little bit better than I can. Well, if I'm making sense out of the scene, it looks like that Will has mentally shut down. So he's so overwhelmed by grief and the fear of death, he's no longer sending that out to the world. So he's shutting his feelings off, almost like a tap uh, from the big scary world of, you know, like the moratory and the horde invaders. And he's locking himself in the only place that he feels safe, which is his own head. Yeah. Which is probably the only place where he claims that he actually feels alive, which is powerful, man. This is a powerful mm-hmm. scene. And probably one of the most powerful ones in the book for a long time. Now you get to see Pilar; she's trying to wrap, you know, wrap her arms around him, trying to console Will, and he's standing there, and he's like completely vacant. He is Blank. no longer there whatsoever. So for Will, for all intents and purposes, could basically be dead in a manner of speaking. But they haven't, they haven't gone there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did this smartly, contrasting Will shutting down with Talima wiping out the moratory database. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's perfect. What a comparison! But Anderson, again, hits a home run with his facials, man. I mean, Will's vacant look is just a brilliant way to end this issue. It looks real. It looks legit. And you can just, you don't even have to have words on the page. You just see that and you know what's happening. Yeah, it's it's wild stuff here. Uh, Just uh, another home run of an issue here. Oh, 100%. It's really, really great here. We got all these new questions um, we really don't get much in the way of answers, but we don't need them yet. You know, sometimes finding out the answer kind of ruins the question. And, uh, I'm happy that we're still, we're still learning, but we're not getting everything we want, you know, uh, because once we do, it's over, but this was, uh, so well done here. Um, will becoming like the point of view character never oh, saw that coming. 
I love it too. And I mean, yeah. wow. I mean, I, I look back at the, you know, the couple issues when he started and we just blasted him. Oh yeah. But my God, you talk about winning the, winning the reading, reading audience over. I mean, they've mm-hmm. done, they've done so much great work with these characters and I mean, it's fantastic. And you know, the power of the readers or the power of the writers here is, is incredible. They've done a fantastic job. Art totally. and read and, and writing is fantastic on this book. Oh. Totally. This is uh, one of the higher quality books you're going to find uh, of any era, I think. Uh, it's yep. just, oh man, it just keeps building on itself. And I mean, it shows no sign of slowing down. Unfortunately, we know it will, but uh, it looks yep. like it's, uh, it's going <laughs> to just keep this up forever. Man, this is good stuff. And uh, more than anything, we're left with just so much that we'll have to uh, learn next time. Um what what's gonna because it's been uh, it's been years since either of us have read these so what does happen to will is he going to be for all intents and purposes you know trapped in his own brain from this point on or is he going to or is is this just him bottling up emotions to the point where he doesn't feel pain anymore we don't know the beauty Um, part of it is i don't know and i can't wait to find out exactly (laughs) exactly we have the gentle inquirer here who's going to make his power play probably we got yuri showing that not only can he survive being launched in this uh, you know, supersonic jet, he can. He also doesn't feel the effects of moratory powers, maybe, and also he seems to know things. Um, could he be the infiltrator that we thought Beth Neon might be back in the day? I mean, who knows? This is a uh, all these awesome questions, but we will get to those as we continue our our journey through this uh, this wonderful little series. Uh, time for some back matter. Um, letters page. Yet. No, nope, nope. There's one letter. Oh There's wait, one wait. letter. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you know, you this know, they did something with the text in this book. They made it very, very small because they, they they tried to cram some stuff here. So maybe you can see it better than I I've, can. I've magnified it. It says, "Dear Marvel." Okay, it says, "Whatever happened to predictability? The Milkman, mm-hmm. the Paperboy, Evening TV. How did I get to living here? Somebody tell me, please. This old world is confusing me. The clouds, as mean as you've ever seen." Ain't a bird who knows your tune. Then a little voice inside you whispers, Kid, don't sell your dreams so soon. By the way, rehire Jim Shooter. Thanks, Uncle oh. Jimmy. I mean, Jesse. Have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that Jimmy guy keeps writing in. I don't know what's happening here. Yeah, I think he's, Jimmy. he's shooting at something. He might be. He might be. He's shooting, brother. Um... <laughs> But we do, as always, have bullpen bulletins. Uh, do you want to you wanna break off the quote of the month? Oh, yes. Please. If you've hurt one hair on her head, I'll use judo on you. I'm just the guy to do it, too. I was in Korea. <laughs> Stands to reason. Now, the, the person speaking, this is Dagger's stepfather speaking to the Punisher in Strange Tales number 14. <laughs> He'll wow. use judo on you. There you go. That's mm-hmm. a threat. It is. If if you hurt one hair on her head, I will use judo on you. He's gonna throw you. He's actually gonna throw you. <laughs> that's. I think that's all the judo I know. So maybe. <laughs> now on to our news. First things first. A bunch of Marvel books just suffered a price hike. <laughs> yes, Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, all the Spider-Man, Avengers, X-Men, X-Factor, New Mutants, all the mutants. Punisher and Silver Surfer all jumped one quarter in price, quote, with no change in format, contents, or page count. Oh. Now, uh, 
Yeah, the cheese himself justifies this higher with you know higher paper. All the stuff we always hear every time they give us a price hike. Oh, paper's expensive. Oh, whatever. <laughs> now he does he does uh, rationalize this. He says, hey, it was either raising the price of the most popular books a quarter or raising the price of every Marvel book, the uh, you know, newsstand ones, to ninety cents from seventy five. So everything across the board would go up 15 cents or only the most popular ones would go up 25 cents. <laughs> I didn't need to know the justification. I mean, I, uh, I, that feels, it feels like when you explain something, it's like when you, when, like when you see somebody tell a lie and they're very, very specific about it. It's yeah. like, it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was there. It was Wednesday. It was 10 33 PM. And, uh, yeah. And I, and I smelled onions. I remember smelling onions and the walls were green. And, uh, there was a lady with a shopping bag and there was a canned ham in it. It's like, okay, you're full of crap. Yeah. And Steve Ditko was there. I don't know. Well, yes, that, that goes without saying. <laughs> But think about this. They're raising the prices on these books. So now they've gone in Canada, I think, to a dollar fifty. Is that where we're at right now? Because they went um, a buck twenty five. Oh, 20, maybe okay. a buck fifty for for these, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're a buck fifty on the key books. So yet in twenty twenty, those same books that were released are now on better paper with better color are actually a buck. So yep, they're actually the cheaper. Books. They're actually mm-hmm. cheaper in 1988. Something's something's rotten in Cleveland, Jesse. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny here, and and you know it's something that usually I will uh, I'll credit a, a company when they when they're out you know when they're upfront about their price hikes, and uh, I, I know like DC's done it a bunch of times. Marvel they they're not as forthcoming these days. They just keep raising prices. But uh, it, it, I was always kind of cool with that. It's like, hey, okay, they're, well, they're explaining, you know, hey, the, the cost of doing business is, a, is the cost of doing business. Boy. Here it just it just feels so sketchy, though. It's like, uh, it's like well, we're, we're, we're doing this for you guys. You know, it was either this or this. Okay. So, so they jacked up the price on those, and then they take a yet another step. Tell them all about it. Yes, our next item here, Marvel's direct books, the all direct books, which include the NAM and whatever is left of the new universe. Uh, <laughs> those will all also be undergoing changes, they say, in price and format. So I don't understand. I mean, you're limiting distributions on books with already horrific sales. You know yeah. what I mean? These are the bottom bottom of the barrel, the birdcage liners for Marvel. And yet they're going to increase the price. They're going to take them. Out of, you know, mainstream circulation, they're going to stick them in a comic shop and they expect those to do better. What yeah, is, t- tell me what that's about. Like, take a book away from the grocery store, or convenience store in 1980 was absolute suicide, man, in my opinion. It's weird because uh, this is something that um, I haven't really tracked uh, the, the price hikes so much. I, I I get my books by mail a month after they're out, and I don't really pay attention to the the Bleeding Cools and the CBRs. You could tell me right now that Bleeding Cool doesn't exist anymore, and I'd believe you. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't ever go to that garbage. But uh, back in the day, I would follow the news. I would pay attention to the news. And I remember – like the suffering books would always get the price hike, like uh, Christopher Priest's Black Panther. Like everything was like two and a quarter or two dollars and twenty five cents, and like oh well, in order not to cancel this one, we need to raise it to two seventy five. It's like that just sounds counterproductive. Oh yeah, it hell yeah. It sounds exploitative because all you're doing is exploiting the people who are who are supporting the book, and uh, or, or it's the judging rest- them. Or it's the WrestleMania theory from this year. So you you basically do a hell of a lot less, mm-hmm. but 
you charge more money for it. Yeah. And it and it evens out. So you might sell less books, but you're getting more you're for, the, for the for the, the individuals. Money. Yeah. Exactly. So. And it always seemed like a very sketchy way to do things here. And it almost feels like the fulfillment of a contract, like where it's like, well, we already solicited these three issues. We might as well get a couple extra bucks for them. And yep. uh, then we'll just cancel the book outright at that point. It, it's sketchy. It's it's it stinks. But uh you know the nom here and uh, the whatever is remaining of the of the destroyed and decimated new universe. Um, they're going to be going the epic route insofar as paper quality, and the price on all of them will be up to a dollar twenty-five. Well, they could have they could have friggin' printed the NAM on gold bars and sold it for a dollar twenty-five at that time, and still nobody would have bought that crap. Sadly, <laughs> it was in a bad, bad way at that point. I mean, the quality of the book had disintegrated, the writing had gone down. I mean, people, I know we have faithful, uh, faithful NAM readers and all that stuff, but sure. man, I'm telling you, the drop-off was horrific in that book for me. That's one I never, I never actually got into it. So I'll, I'll take, I'll definitely take your word for it. It seems like. It seems like it was an afterthought at this point, for sure, for sure. Um, now, the next and last news item is um, some Marvel staffers just had children. <laughs> so we're just hoping that they weren't friends of old Shooter. Otherwise, they're going to be booted on their ass before long, and those poor babies will starve. <laughs> Anyone needing a job? Hammer needs help photocopying in the basement. You need someone. You need someone to run the copies across the street and up ten flights of stairs. You know, so I, I'm sure they're not above using child labor to do that. So uh, you know, it probably helps out poor Larry and the rest of the Shooterverse. And, they keep it off in, the books. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. in Marvel Siberia over there. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have the profile. Oh, this is a yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a Michael Higgins. First, uh, the caricature. Um, this is that Marvel staffer who's always drawn in the Grateful Dead t-shirt. You might have seen him a time or two if you've read Marvel comics of the late 80s and into the 90s. Uh, he's always drawn with the Grateful Dead t-shirt. Um, also, this dude writes a lot for every yep. single question. So much so that they had to shrink the damned text. <laughs> I, I'm nearsighted. Can, can, cancel the entire uh, roster of books that were supposed to come out that month. They yes. didn't even get a mention. It doesn't fit on the page. Oh, God. I, I mean, I'm nearsighted, and I had to take my glasses off to see this. I, I, I blame Michael Higgins for my needing bifocals after this. This was just the, – the text was so tiny, so unfunny. I, I, this is not good. Um, now, we get into his gig, what he does. He edits on Silver Surfer, Submariner, and Marvel's first weekly comic, which would eventually become the bi-weekly Marvel Comics Presents. <laughs> well, you know what? I've got a lot of love for Marvel Comics Presents. I mean, the anthology concept overall mm -hmm. is something that I like, and there's so much opportunity, especially when you got the vast roster that Marvel had there of characters to use. But it just baffles me, like, so many backups were were just trash. I mean, none oh, yeah. of it had any real consequence to what happened in the uh, in the Marvel universe in general. I mean, mm -hmm. was there any first appearances or consequence that happened? I mean, they had Wolverine's origin, so I'll give yeah. them that much. So they put Wolverine's origin in there, but was there anything else that came out of Marvel Comics Presents? Am I being um, wrong? Uh, I guess uh, if your cyber mileage varies, uh, Cyber, the Wolverine villain, he made his first appearance there. Um, how much? How much is that worth? Oh boy, you know, tons of money, tons of money. Um, I'm trying to think here. It uh, it did feature Joe Maguire's first professional work. Um, 
but uh yeah i mean it was it was a tryout book um it was it's, yeah it's that's one thing about anthologies uh, you know outside of the the golden and silver age and even the bronze age the the, the anthology books were basically just uh like uh like funnels like sieves to uh to try out new characters, try out, you know, maybe some unpopular char- or less popular characters. I should oh, say. And, boy. boy, they found and, those. Oh, it's true. It's true. Yeah, we, we love Shamrock, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, and just some new creators, you know. Well, it had you think about it. I mean, a lot of the the backups were like Doctor Strange. They even had Vengeance in there. They brought in Sunspot. I mean, everybody wanted a Sunspot issue. Yeah. They they teamed Sergeant Fury up with Dracula. Oh boy. <laughs> yes, sir. In issue sixty five, they had Star Fox. Now, the reason I brought that out was because Peter Gillis himself wrote that one. Hey. <laughs> they had Comet Man. Rick Jones. Now, they started out great. They had, uh, or in my opinion, I thought they would with uh, Man-Thing and Shang-Chi. So that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Then they moved into, they tried it without Wolverine for a little while with uh, with mixed results because they had Colossus as the main feature. And that yep. was trash. Not and Man-Thing was still in the book. And boy, did that have worn out its welcome at that time. But they had Ant-Man, which is kind of cool. I mean, you know, that's what this whole thing is for, trying out different characters who don't get spotlight. Mm-hmm. But they had... And I think they were reaching too far into the woodshed here. They had slag from the Wolfpack. <laughs> oh, that's that's money right there, brother. Anything Wolfpack related is uh, is guaranteed cash in Marvel in 1988, right there. I, I do remember they uh, they started like putting some of the X Men into solo scenarios uh, early on. Like Havoc had his own serial, Cyclops yes. had his own serial. Like you mentioned, Colossus. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting stuff. From a uh, meta, not maybe not meta, but a just a production standpoint, I guess. Because like just the think thinking of thinking of the idea of having like a Cyclops series, you know. But in an execution, yeah, it was. I know uh, it was trash. It was lackluster. Yeah, for it sure. It was like so many so many ways you could have done that series, and I don't know. Yeah, maybe, that's maybe something. Oh, maybe that's something that we're. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, maybe they weren't allowed to bend continuity, you know what I mean? Like, It feels like it. Yeah, so they were probably stuck with these storylines that wouldn't affect anything that was happening in the main Marvel Universe. So they had to be light in tone. They couldn't do anything with massive consequence or repercussions. So that's why you ended up with Star Fox and Slag yeah. from Wolfpack. <laughs> yeah, everything, almost everything in it feels like it would be a backup story in an annual or just something that they found like in Larry Hammer's desk as they were cleaning it out. Just, uh, nothing, nothing all that great. Uh, you know, we have Weapon X, of course, which, you know, defined Wolverine, but everything else kind of, yeah, I mean, that's, we actually have a segment on From Claremont to Claremont where we look at Marvel Comics Presents, and, I mean, we had like a Spitfire backup, and we're not talking about the new universe. We were talking about, I think, a Golden Age character that they brought back for a minute. Yikes. Um, Volcana had a had a story. Uh, Solo had a story. It's <laughs> oh, very... Solo oh, hated that character. Yeah, not nah, not great. So yeah, um, the, as a concept, super cool. Just like Action Comics Weekly, just uh, giving giving some characters and some creators the opportunity to shine. But unfortunately, that's a lot more interesting in concept than it is in execution most of the time. But uh, back to What's this guy? Michael Higgins. Back to his story here. He also works on Conan, The Nam, and, quote, others. So, I mean, and and he answers his questions in, like, full paragraphs. So we're going to just distill this dude down. We're not going to (laughs) be reading all of his 
amusing anecdotes and uh, attempts at humor. Uh, his past freelance work includes that he worked on like all the books, but ask him if, <laughs> but ask him again in a few years on the unemployment line. Um, his current freelance work, he recently plotted a Hulk story with her. Is it Herb Trimp or Herb Trimpy? I, I never know. I'm, well, I guarantee you, whatever it was, Trimp or Trimpy, I guarantee you that good old Herb took full credit for that. I guarantee <laughs> you. <laughs> no, his hobbies include comics, painting, and the Grateful Dead. Go figure. Now, most proud of, he says, there ain't no such thing as something I'm most proud of. And yet he does drone on about this concept for very for several sentences. <laughs> Pet peeves, millions of things, but mostly lying. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I bet he also read Infinite Jest and Dune, of course. <laughs> I think he wrote lies. both of those. He wrote both of those. <laughs> Perfect. Um, he was born in Brooklyn, New York. Actually, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York. I'm actually surprised he doesn't actually go into addresses here because he is very, very detailed. Um, his greatest accomplishment outside comics is a Bee Gees song, Staying Alive. <laughs> Man, this is like pulling teeth there. Oh. Or maybe it's, this is what it was like in like the post-shooter Marvel office, you know what I mean? Keep on moving or I'm next. So <laughs> when they say you're featured in bullpen bulletins, you know, it must be like they must cringe thinking it's like almost like an obituary with a poster <laughs> demotion or a termination. You know, he got lucky. You know, this his straw actually said profile while the other three got killed with a hatchet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to change offices. I don't want to die. Uh, his oddest habit is staying up all night. For no reason. <laughs> it's because he's worried for his job and his life and basically pacing the floors and biting his nails all the time. That's mm. where we were at Marvel's at this time. Who would play him in a movie? Dead, John Belushi, alive, Howie Mandel. Because oh. those two guys look alike. <sighs> Was Howie Mandel ever cool? Let's be honest. No. The, o- the only thing that I can think of was you know in the 80s especially was his stand up with his bobby impression which was basically a small oh. child you know what i mean like this kind of crap you know what i mean and it came off more like a pedophile or <laughs> mentally unwell man than funny it was really uncomfortable it's like when uncle sal wants you to sit on his lap get up here now boy come on <laughs> sit on uncle sal's lap here you know what i mean it's disturbing and he even made a friggin um bobby's world cartoon oh and it sucked it was trash mandel voiced it and everything it was tragic hmm I mean, I'm thinking we have him pretending to be a young child and then putting a condom over his head and blowing it up with his nose. That's that's basically <laughs> what Howie Mandel did. And, uh, so bad. And he was uh, he was Gizmo in Gremlins. What? Yeah, he was the voice of Gizmo, who like said like one line. He no, was, that he was wasn't. Howie Mandel. Yeah. Oh, childhood ruined. I, I'm sorry. Oh. I, had to, I had to I had to snuff it out. I'm gonna um, go break my VHS. <laughs> and the last the last thing I think of with Howie Mandel was like he guest starred in uh, an episode of Superstore a couple of years ago. Oh, and, that's good. And, and he's just sitting there like a creep eating a bag of baby carrots, and it's like, Ugh, <laughs> what is this guy? Oh, they played up on his creepiness, did they? He is. You know, I don't know how you can't. He's <laughs> he's an odd duck. Um, he is. Now, why did Mr. Higgins choose comics? Because he loves comics, and he wanted to work somewhere fun. Oh, uh, he didn't know that his good buddy old Jimmy Shooter was going to get white vanned. <laughs> <laughs> and he was probably next, just a matter of time when. Trust no one at Marvel, I tell you. No one. DTA. Now, uh, people in high school thought that Michael was weird, and they were right. <laughs> good call on that. His favorite performers, 
guess what? It's the Grateful Dead. Oh, um, bag of yeah. weed, anyone? <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I, I remember hearing a joke like, what do, what do people at a Grateful Dead concert say when they run out of pot? <laughs> what? This music sucks. <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> it's also, uh, he likes John Lennon. And maybe you can help me with this one. He likes Jorma, Kalkanon, and Melanie. Oh, that there's no, I don't have no idea what that is. I don't you can, either. you can have those as your favorite performers, brother. I ain't fighting you. I, I was going to say that could be animal, vegetable, mineral. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> the last good book he didn't read, uh, German old by Emil Zola. Nope. <laughs> and the complete Van Gogh by Jan Hulkser. Oh, of course, Van Gogh. I mean, let's face it. That Van Gogh was like a, almost like a picture book, like a coffee table book. So. Sure. It could be entirely possible that he probably skimmed it or something, but I don't think he's read any of that stuff. And nothing like a nice, phony, pretentious coffee table book. You know, you ever you ever see that? You ever go to somebody's house and they've got this one book and you know that not only that they haven't read it, they probably don't have the intellectual capacity to read the book that's <laughs> even on their coffee table. But it's just for show. It's just don't, for show. You don't see it much anymore. I used to see it a lot. You know what I mean? A few of my friends, they would have this one well-placed book on the coffee table. And... <laughs> it's like uh, when you watch a... Uh... Like when you see someone doing like a video on, on YouTube or something and they always make sure to have like that one like really – they don't draw attention to it. But there will be like one pretentious book on their on their shelf because they're hoping that someone in the comments will be like, oh, you read that. Oh, you, I, I couldn't help but notice you have infinite jest on your on your uh, bookshelf there. <laughs> oh, and, they uh, would think they would think that my uh, my bookshelf is crap with ElfQuest, Bone and Green Lantern. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, this good movie this fellow saw was The Mission. Yeah, I, I probably no should have researched to see what that was, but I didn't. Um, his biggest influence include Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, Jack Kirby, Don Heck, Steve Ditko, Neil Adams, Barry Smith, P. Craig Russell, and a zillion more. Oh, you know, after that list that DeFalco and the boys are up in the offices and they're cursing and swearing, he checked all the boxes. We can't fire him this month. <laughs> And he also continues to give the, quote, pretentious answer, which he says is the pretentious answer, heaven forbid. He says, uh, the Impressionists, including Van Gogh. Oh, how precious is this? Zowie, wowie, look at me, I like Van Gogh. <laughs> Go out and help Hammer do something, for Christ's sakes. This is horrible. <laughs> it's funny, because, like, Van Gogh is the one we all know, you know? <laughs> give me it a name that we yes. have to actually Google. Oh, boy. Now, his greatest unfulfilled ambition is to create an entire comic book all by his lonesome. Uh, now, I don't know if he's going to be around when good old Todd, you know, the Todd father and uh, and good old Robbie Liefeld are going to hit because, uh, you know, they hit the big time. So they, I think he was shit out of luck and he missed out on all that <laughs> Malibu money, you know, unless he wants to work on something like the ferret or something, which was probably perfect for him. Probably. Probably. The, the ferret. How many issues of the ferret do you own, Chris? I own the one that's shaped like the ferret's head. Oh, you got this. You got the special edition. That's the only one I have. Yeah. yeah. Cause it, and I only have it because it's shaped like the ferret's head. <laughs> I bought uh, it too. It's awesome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I could, that, that might be the only issue of the ferret they ever put out. Um, <laughs> I have six issues of uh, of different ferret uh, appearances, <laughs> including the protectors. Nice. <laughs> now, uh, the uh, the worst part of his job is going into the office every day. So uh, I, I guess it's a good thing that Jim Shooter's gone because probably nobody notices this dude sh- showed up or not. <laughs> you know, maybe the I don't know. I, I don't. Maybe the Grateful Deadiness is just not in the office on certain days. Who knows? <laughs> um. 
when nobody's looking, Michael doesn't look either. Yeah, I think when nobody's looking, he hands it resumes. <laughs> He's cursing himself. Damn it. Pacific and continuity are closed down. I wonder, will now comics hire me to do Terminator or Rust? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> now, what the people need to know. Here he writes like two paragraphs that say nothing. Um, it's just so many words that don't say anything. Um, oh. And thankfully, we're done with this one. Man. You know, these... These profiles started off really fun. <laughs> uh, not, not, think, this isn't, yeah. They're, they're running out of people. They're, they're running out of profile people, yep. It'd yeah, be interesting is, to see where it goes. Oh, boy. Maybe maybe we can do like a Tom DeFalco redo. You know, we can, he's like, <laughs> since you've been promoted, did you change the answers to your questions? You know, yes, I have new inspirations. Let's do it. Um, Love it. Now, the Mighty Marvel Checklist, Strike Force Moratorium number 18, has no blurb. Again, no blurbs at all. Shucker. Who's running the place here? I mean, Gee, they're really trying to sell this list. book, man. Man, they're yeah. doing everything in their power to push this book. It's just not selling, Chris. I don't oh. understand it. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm looking at this checklist here, and uh, there are – it's just a list of books that you wouldn't know what was happening in any of them. Um Man. Yeah, really counterproductive, I think. Why even bother including it? It's, uh, yeah. What do you end up? I don't know, man. But that is the entirety of the Bullpen Bulletins page, warts and all, or warts is all, maybe. Um, <laughs> but we do have some ads, and uh, the theme of this month is, I guess it's like free offers, because almost every single ad we're going to discuss has free offers. It's, it's um, like it's like a free offer of, hey, come in the back of my van, little girl. I got candy. It's like, this is what these, this is what these free offers are like. <laughs> very sketchy. Very, very sketchy. sketchy. Rough stuff. Now, the first one is Konami wall posters, which is uh, basically box art for your wall. Man, I'm all in for this. I love Konami games. I don't know about you. I mean, mm. some of my favorites were like Castlevania 2, Contra, Track and Field 2. I mean, those were those were games I grew up on, man. I, that I, you know, sitting in my <laughs> sitting in the the depths of despair in my uh, my own little room there, I played the crap out of those games. But man, those posters were fairly big too. You see the size on those things? Yeah, pretty big. Pretty man, big. It, it's amazing. I didn't know anybody who had these. I would have no, died. No, I never for, even like, knew those existed. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm sure I've seen this ad contra- a bunch of times, but never, never saw it. Never saw them in real life. I know. I would have loved the contra poster. I mean, geez. And for some reason, it's not even pictured here for some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. We have it in a little coupon. Contra is listed as one of the, of the offers here. And it's, uh, it's funny. You get, you get a free one. You put a dollar in the mail for postage and they'll send you a poster. But if you send $7 and 50 cents, they'll send you all 10. God, <laughs> that's a great deal. Holy it cow. Is. It is. It is. I, I wonder if it's if these things are on toilet paper, but I've <laughs> never seen anybody who owned them. So uh, there you go. That's hilarious. We have an ad for Star Games, which has like the like the the the, the derpiest looking alien on it. It, oh, it just looks. Boy. It looks like a like we have a pug, and like when he yawns, he makes like a very like derpy face. This looks like a pug yawning. It's funny. Um, now this one, you get. Free. There's a free offer. You get a hundred pre-drawn dungeons usable oh, for any RPG. Shit. Hmm. Well, think think about this. What is the most outside of blogging? What is the most <laughs> unrewarding hobby in the world? What do you think? Mm, drawing dungeons. You got it. Dungeon <laughs> make. 
Think about it, spending hours and hours making a dungeon on paper, filling mm-hmm. it up. You got special items, you got traps, and you know, you build in stories, stories yeah. and all that stuff. And when someone enters a room and it's like, you know, you're you're playing the game and all that stuff, and it's like, what the frig, bro? You know, go left and oh god, and not only that, it's it's generic. Like people could mm-hmm. literally miss your entire dungeon. You spend all this time and they could choose another room and never go in there, you know what I mean? <laughs> and plus it's generic, so it can go with any other role-playing game. I can see me now using my, like, Batman role-playing game and chasing the Joker through, like, the dungeons of Gotham City and trying to incorporate that into play. <laughs> Come on. There's a treasure chest in the middle oh. of this room. <laughs> and I've, I've seen some of these dungeon maker people. I mean, they're, they're, some of these people are scary individuals, and that's not, that's not typecasting people, but uh, there's, you're a special breed of asshole when you're a dungeon maker. <laughs> Oh, boy, can you imagine just getting a stack of 100 of them here? That's, <laughs> that's wild. Um, now, something you don't get for free is the Marvel Colossal Conflict trading cards. Ooh. This is a 90-card set from Comics Images, and uh, if you want it, you need to pay $14.95 plus a buck seventy-five for shipping. Well, I mean, you get the entire set at once, which is kind of cool. You, you collected the original Marvel trading cards, correct? Not these, but yeah, like the Marvel Universe series, uh, one, two, three, four, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't have the Colossal Conflict cards, but I did have the original Marvel trading cards, you know, volume Mm -hmm. one, you know what I mean? Sure. And they were all the rage, man. First one they launched, my friends were headhunting these bad boys. They bought pack after pack, just accumulating like stacks of like the same card over and over again. Sure. And mostly I was like, I was strictly, strictly a comic guy, so I didn't really take the bait up front. But I happened to go on a camping trip to the big city with my parents one time, and uh, we went into a comic shop, and I bought some great stuff. All number ones, by the way. I bought, you know, the new Legion of Superheroes number one. I bought Am- Son of Ambush Bug number one. And I even, one guy tried to sell me Watchmen number one, and mm-hmm. I turned it down because I wanted Sonic Disruptors number one. <laughs> oh, you poor fool. <laughs> because it was cheaper, see? Oh, <laughs> what, a, what a guy. But anyway, in amongst of all this, I I asked him, did he sell Marvel trading cards? Yeah, he said, I got the whole set here for 16 bucks. I'm like, what do you mean the whole set? He said, no, I've got every card here. And he passed me oh, a wow. bundle. And it was all of them, every single card in the set for 16 bucks. Did it include the, the were, there, were there holograms in the first set? Uh, I don't think it, I think it was the base cards and two specialties. I think okay. that's what they were. But uh, it, I had the whole set. So I go home and I'm just like, Oh, I, I got them all, guys. And my friends are like, what do you mean you got them all? There's no way you got them all. And they started going through them. They're like, oh, my God, he's got every one of them. And it was like the most underwhelming collection I've ever got. I got the whole thing, like, in one drop. <laughs> Here my friends are, like, going from store to store every week, cleaning out boxes. And I just get them in, like, one little set. <laughs> yeah, it's like, which is the better option there? I mean, because there is a lot of fun in digging and Because, I, I mean, I've told these stories before where, like, you had the playground rules to buying cards and stuff and like it's like okay well if the box has you know four po- you know four stacks of decks or of packs you know you go to the top left corner you dig four down and that's where the special card's going to be and you had all these like weird urban legends about like how to buy cards uh, to the point where like the stores would actually mix up the cards to you know bust up the the you know the the scam you know yep, and uh, and i mean there was so much fun in that and I, I like you have uh, have done both. I mean, I've I've bought packs and I've also bought sets. 
and buying the set is is kind of just like paying a bill. It's like it is, man. It's cheating. Yeah, it's, it's like you just you, you you fork over the money, you get the set, and then you're like, okay, now, well now what do I do for the next six months? I look at them. I mean, I, I it's and, not like I'm buying them or finding them or hunting them down. And they weren't they weren't even like factory packed. You know what I mean? Which was which was even yeah. worse. They were wrapped in saran wrap, and they oh, had like the, they had a price tag. And he had yeah. a little checklist of every card that was in it. Now he it was true he had every card in there, mm-hmm. but man, talk about underwhelming. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll, Speaking I'll of take a, underwhelming, I'll take a, I'll take a okay. photo of them after. I, I've just oh, recently good. found those. Yeah, very cool. Uh, speaking of this of 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 underwhelming here, uh, Sonic Disrupt is number one. Do you have any memories of that? <laughs> yes. Outside oh of the God. horror of passing, passing up Watchmen number one for Sonic Disruptors number one. I didn't know what Watchmen was at the time. Sure. Who did? It yeah. It didn't feature any characters, and I had seen Sonic Disruptors advertised in comics. The so, United States of Rock. Yes, baby. And it was everything that I thought I wanted, and I didn't oh. want any of it by the time I read that thing. It was crap. Oh, man, it was the, like the worst satire um, solicited as a 12 issue series canceled after <laughs> seven on a cliffhanger. Garbage. <laughs> Thank God. Oh, I don't, so bad. I don't I don't think there's any Sonic Disruptors podcast out there. Just saying. <laughs> now there is. You just put you just put it into the atmosphere. Um, now, another uh, ad we have here. It's more free stuff. Uh, Adventures oh. by mail. Now, oh, uh, man. Yes, a sketchy little ad that promises two turns of a play-by-mail game. It says, no strings attached, send no money. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Man, I don't know about this. This is shady as fuck. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's like one of these, uh, try this, you know, you get two turns, then you pay type of thing. I'm sure that's what it was. But just think, think about this. Imagine how long two turns would take. When each game takes four to six weeks for delivery, you'd right? be a you'd be a minimum of three months to play just two turns. <laughs> I think this is one of those things where they're they're going to get your address and all of a sudden you're stolen in the middle of the night <laughs> in a white van. You know, you wake up in a hotel room with no hair, one kidney, and no testicles, <laughs> no strings attached. They use <laughs> you know you know why there's no strings attached because they're using cable ties. That's why. <laughs> no, this is creepy, man. There's something really off with this whoa yeah yeah it's like they're definitely building like a like a uh an address base or something here they're you're, you're gonna be your address will be sold to uh to to mail spam you know it's a uh, weird it's like when you see like the like the the villain in a movie or something or in a tv show and they've got like the chess by mail and yeah. they have like a chessboard set up in the middle of their parlor and and like every so often they'll walk over, they'll open an envelope and they'll move a piece or something. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, don't you, have you the never, attention span for that. You never know what you're getting when you go through these little ads, man. Oh, true, true. Uh, now our final one here, another freebie, a free offer with two exclamation points. This is for Script City. You can get a giant catalog of movie and television scripts. Hmm. That's really hmm. odd. You know what I mean? Have you ever ordered anything that where you got to get the catalog? Because I've only I've only done it once. Hmm. But man, what you get in the mail is is uh, is suspect to say the least. It, it it's like somebody typed it up on a typewriter. There's no yes. like no graphics or font, and it's just basically what it is and the price. There's almost hmm. no explanation of anything. So it could say like 
Star Wars Episode One script, five bucks. And that's all it would say on the page, you know what I mean? Yep. And then in the back, it just says, send $9 million here for this script. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're really, totally. really weird. So one of the ads I used to see in a uh, in a comic book was, make your own hovercraft now. Send, yes. send, uh, send money for detailed instructions. Mm-hmm. So I did. <laughs> and man, so it was a series of photocopied pages. Okay. From an instruction manual in Chinese. No. Yes. Now the the, wow. di- the diagrams were. It's almost like someone wrote it in marker on the side in English of what to do. Insert A into B. You need these items, and someone had it like written in handwriting, photocopied wow. on the other side of the Chinese. It was brutal. Now I, I think I only spent a. I don't know what it was. Was it 75 cents or a buck to get that little? Probably. Info? Yeah, it wasn't very much, but boy, you didn't get very much for your money. And I'm sure this uh, this Script City thing is much the same. And I I ordered um, back in the uh, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, magazine. There was like a How to Become a Pro Wrestler book that they were no. selling. Uh, awesome. Some shady some shady dude had uh, taken out an ad, a very very small ad, just like these. Where it's like, you know, find out, you know, the secrets of becoming a professional wrestler. Send, I think it was like $5. It was probably eh, early, mid-90s. I was a teenager. And, you know, I sent this thing off and was psyched to find out, you know, the secrets to how to become a professional wrestler. And, uh, <laughs> dude, it took like six months. And uh, and what I got was like, like take two pieces of um, of like typing paper or like printer paper. Fold them in half, like like you were making a little booklet out of them, with basically handwritten addresses to like Larry Sharp's Monster Factory or, or, or like this like here's some phone numbers to call so you could start you know paying someone to train you to be a wrestler. Oh my God, are you serious? Uh, yeah, I, I probably still have it somewhere in the garage, but I mean <laughs> oh, you... it was garbage and it was like I was so psyched and uh, you know. The rug was just yanked from under me. It was uh, so such a such a disappointment. Oh man, if you find that you have to post it, I can't wait. Oh, totally, totally. I gotta <laughs> I gotta do some digging because that was, and it's like you get it and you're just so embarrassed that you fell for it. <laughs> like that was like the main my main takeaway was like, wow, I'm a sucker. This is <laughs> they, they saw me coming and I sent them money. <laughs> But anyone can still do that, you know what I mean? You can you could literally do something up and I mean with computers this day and age you can do graphics just as good as I mean you could honestly do oh, yeah. better than this Star Games ad, I guarantee you that. Oh oh yeah, goodness, yeah. Absolutely. So I mean but, uh, you can make you can make your product look professional with just like basic templates for free. Sure. Oh, 100%. 100%. Right? Yeah. I think I think we're wasting our time here on this podcast. We can be out sending little uh, little insert ads in in books. I think we need to do that. I, I know they still produce uh, the Grit magazine that's full of these sort of things. Uh, we could, uh, oh, we, could yeah. get, uh, we could put some ads in Grit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. No strings attached. We just no. need your address and your email address. Sit in this bathtub. <laughs> I'm going to go get the ice. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that's, uh, oh, that is Strike Force Moratory issue number 18, cover to cover. Um we loved the story. Everything else, maybe not so much, but uh, but it, it is the story we're paying for, and it is the story that is uh, keeping us uh, going along for the ride, and uh, we still love it. So that's a good thing. Indeed, my brother. It was literally, 
I'm surprised that we're this far in and it's still so great. So exactly. It, 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 it makes showing up on Mondays fantastic. So still loving it, brother. Yes, sir. Absolutely. But, uh, before we go, uh, you got any, uh, any, any plugs or, or, you know, drops? Well, my God, if you checked out over on the, um, over on the Claire from Claremont to Claremont podcast, you could hear mm. myself and Chris discussing the uh, the last days of Todd McFarlane over on uh, on X Force, and he combines his uh, adjectiveless Spider Man book in a uh, two part crossover, which is done sideways yeah, <laughs> with good old Rob Liefeld. Yep, cash and bags of money, and uh, we go into <laughs> great gory detail about the the entire book and how deep of a storyline that it actually is. Oh, oh boy. boy. Yep, so check that out. It's from Claremont to Claremont. Episode 2 just dropped yesterday, and it's a good one, sir. And you might hear more of those little profiles, so uh, you never know who who might appear on those. But I guarantee you, it's infinitely more interesting than the one we had today. <laughs> 100%, 100, 100%. You can also check me out on the, uh, the good old Twitter. I'm at Charlton underscore hero, and uh, that is me. And we'll see you next Monday. Certainly, certainly. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Ace Comics. Also on all the programs uh, from Claremont to Claremont did drop this weekend. It was 12 hours long. So if you have 12 hours to spare, definitely consider giving us a listen. Uh, It's a good time. We had a a great time uh, chatting and putting everything together. There are 10 of us involved. Uh, Not all at once, so don't worry about having 10 people talk over one another. It's a one-on-one every single time for every single segment. But, uh, that is there waiting for you if you do decide to check it out. Um, also, daily at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com, I'm in Marvel May because right now I hate DC. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you got the burnout. You you covered every book from its beginnings to its end right now. So I might. It feels like I have. Uh, ever <laughs> since I read that uh, that flash forward miniseries from earlier this year, I have Killed just you. not. Oh boy, it it put what it hammered the last nail into my uh, into my contemporary DC fandom, <laughs> and it's gotten to the point where I could review books that I love back from you know the yesteryear of DC Comics, but every single time I write a piece about it, I'm always comparing it to what's happening today, and I I feel like that's doing everybody a disservice, including myself, because I'm not having a good time writing that. So <laughs> figured it was uh, maybe the best. Best cause, best case of action to maybe take a break from DC and just do uh, do some of my favorite Marvel stuff. And it's been a few days so far, and I'm having – it's like a, a rebirth of sorts. I'm having a good time revisiting some of these books that I haven't read in uh, well over a decade. So good time there. So if you're interested in my thoughts on Marvel comics uh, other than Strike Force Moratory and uh, the 90s X-Men, definitely check out Chris's on InfiniteEarth.com. But uh, – uh, we also have chrisandreggie.com, 90sxmen.com, uh, all the places where you can, you know, find stuff uh, by us. Uh, but I think that's probably all the time we'll take up for you today. I uh, want to thank you so, so much for hanging out with us today, and uh, we will talk to you again real soon. See ya!